welcome to a very special bonus episode, a very special bonus episode of Into the Aether. My name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. I like how mischievous you were with that. Yeah, I mean, this up. is, I mean, this is a conspicuous uh, runtime, I think, this episode, mm-hmm. right? This, this is going to have, um, I mean, this is just the beginning of our recording, but Steve and I have already planned on recording multiple times for this episode, and I imagine the final runtime is probably, uh, maybe problematic. Uh, yeah, we'll unedited uh, Willow length, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> uh-huh. George Lucas's famous fantasy feature. Underrated? Maybe, but regardless of Willow, this will probably be a long one. Uh, so we'll see, though. I feel like uh, with the bonus episodes, we talked about how they've ranged from our Fire Emblem one, which was like four hours and one minute, I think, which is insane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just like the game, whenever we talk about Fire Emblem, time passes differently. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. other games, it takes me like a lot. Like, I feel like I'm playing it a lot and it will be like 20 hours. And like that game, I've put in over 100 and has flown by. Yeah, and I feel like right. it's not come in the way of my life same with talking about it it's like it just flies by um yeah but this episode we're very excited we are doing our games of the decade 2010 yes. to 2018 we're not doing 2019 uh, depending on when this comes out we either have already done our game of the year episode or most likely um this will come out before um, yeah yeah not not really sure um but either way we are withholding the 2019 games from this episode yeah. because we will have our own entire episode just devoted to that and, and not to say not to say that our our uh goatee episode will be like best games of the decade but like you know it's there's enough of an intersection where either we've already done it or we have yet to do it so we're leaving that year off of this list yeah, yeah um, exactly uh, before we get started, just want to uh, give a shout out to our patrons who yes. make these bonus episodes possible. So thank you so much to Akira, Alex, Andrew, Bede, Benjamin D, Benjamin W, Bolt, Brett, Catherine, Christopher, David, Hilton, Inez, Jason, Jeff, Josh, Cameron, Kim, Kyle, Mark, Marcel, Melly Muffin Pie, Micah, Min, No Name, Pablo, Philip Scout, and Spencer. Thank you all so much for donating to the show. Uh, if you would like to donate to the show, uh, head over to patreon.com slash into the cast. Um, our whole thing since we started this was we will have a bonus episode just because anybody donates at all. Um, yeah. And it'll be available to everyone. So now we're doing bonus episodes every month. Again, not all of them will be this kind of behemoth. Uh, but, you know, it's the end yeah. of a decade and it just felt monumental in a way that I think we wanted to celebrate. Oh, for sure. This is the fourth one. Uh, first one was Fire Emblem back in, what was that, September? Uh, October was Bloodborne uh, for the holiday. And Stardew Valley was November for kind of a Thanksgiving harvest season. And here we are, end of the decade, mm-hmm. looking back and celebrating. We have a, a very fancy Google Sheet that Brendan and I have been, it was tough. This was a very tough decade to chronicle. Um, yeah. I, we went in being like, we, we initially wanted to cover games that like one, we personally really loved and two, that had a big impact in some way. And there's certainly still both of those elements, but we veered towards making it more personal because of just the numbers required. Yeah. Uh, we wanted it to be 100. Uh, we basically <laughs> floated around 115 for a while. Yeah. Um, yeah. There, there but, were, I think as soon as you and I both put the list together, there were about 130 and then it was like 115 and then it was like, okay, how are we going to cut 15 games from this list? Um, <laughs> right. And it was really difficult. Do we want to, do we want to mention the ones that we cut? Yeah, sure. Just These like to run through were, them. 
I absolutely. These are these are the honorable mentions. Do you want me to yeah. do them all, or do you want to switch off? Uh, I just just go through all of them. I think okay, I think cool. it's a good I think it's a good exemplifier of like what we're not talking about versus what we are talking about. Actually, yeah. This one needs so to these go. are the games that were on the list that for whatever reason we took off. Yeah. Just cause two. This hurt me. Um, <laughs> I think Just Cause Two is like the best example of dumb fun. Um, oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I took it off because I realized that I actually just had the demo, which lets you play the game for forty minutes. But boy, did I play that demo! Yeah, and like uh, for context, that game gives you infinite parachutes and like a grappling hook that could put things together. It is the silliest game. Yeah, and it's a great time. The whole yeah. series is is kind of overlooked. I feel like, uh, but it is just that. It is just like if Michael Bay decided to be as silly as possible. That series is so Cause. overlooked that the Just Cause Four billboard that was in Times Square was left up for about four extra months than it was supposed to. <laughs> it was like coming soon in November, and then it was up until like March or April of the next year. <laughs> just Cause is like the only game and the only piece of media I know that flaunts being like in already, a bargain barrel. Already, we are talking too much about a game that is on our honorable mentions list <laughs> okay well now you see so just because two uh next one i'm so i'm so sorry to just de- i guess not derail the train to bring the train back if anything tracks, needs but- some of a spotlight in this in this like bargain bin of games we took off it's just because two are you sure uh, because okay just keep going i'm not sure next up we've got call of duty black ops uh <laughs> which is seems like the antithesis of our brand I wanted to put one Call of Duty that I actually enjoyed, and this to me was sort of the swan song of like what I liked from the series. Yeah, and the me first too. Modern Warfare and Black Ops, I think, were both like what the series has done well and like what has carried it as long as it has been being carried for. Yeah. Black Ops um, was the beginning of Call of Duty going annual. That was when they were switching off between Infinity Ward and Triarch, making the games yeah. back and forth. Uh, and Black Ops was, I think, the first Triarch one in that thing. Triarch had made other Call of Duty games before, but none in, in the yearly thing. And Black Ops, like, really fucking worked. Uh, and then I think the the whole franchise just kind of, like, disappeared yeah. since then. Um, Red Dead Redemption 1 we got here. Um <laughs> I think I think it was definitely at the time my favorite Rockstar game, but is not on the same level as what has made the list. And again, this is a very it, it was a very tough one hundred to yeah. to limit. Oh, yeah. So uh, Infamous Two. Um, this is a series that has kind of came and went. I feel like uh, I I haven't heard much buzz about the more recent entries. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Maybe they're great. But um, Infamous One came out at a time where the moral choice system was a very big selling point for games. Um, and one did it to very various degrees of success infamous 2 i feel like was a great sequel and like i found myself really invested in that story and those characters and it was a really fun game that i remember i played with a lot of my housemates in college and we all like did a different moral path it was a fun time yeah. I, I would recommend checking that game out i didn't like those games yeah i mean it's fair i played like, all of them i played all second son that was the one that everybody was like oh my god you have to play this that was like a ps4 launch title did not really enjoy uh first light which was like the dlc for that also or like the i guess uncharted lost legacy kind of expansion kind of thing they just never really worked for me i really wish they did um infamous one i felt like was a cool idea but not really executed super well because like a lot of it would be like hmm i could save everyone or i could kill them it's like this is not like a tough decision to make but infamous (laughs) two actually gave you a bit more moral pause and i think the story played out well regardless of your choices yeah um i feel like that game is much better if you play as a good character and mm-hmm. i enjoyed the development of those characters in that in that standalone entry um yeah. anyway starcraft 2 um i oddly 
like StarCraft a lot. I have never gotten to the point where like, that's a game that if you are not competitive, there's a drop off point. Like there's a point where everyone who is playing it for fun has stopped playing it and it's only the pros that remain. Yeah. Uh, that's where we are with StarCraft 2. But when that came out, that was a fun game that a bunch of my friends and I played. I like the Zerg. I, uh, I, my strategy was to hide an overlord behind an enemy's base and make the weird Nexus worm that would spit out speedlings and just win. Um, I don't know what any of that means, but it sounds great. No one does. Moving on. Uh, Pokemon Black and White. Strong entry in the series. I really love the setting. I really love a lot of the Pokemon they added, but I don't think it made as big of a splash as the ones that we put on the list. Yeah. Uh, First Pokemon next, game I didn't finish. Next up, we got Greece is one. This is also hurt. Um, I love this game. It was one of my favorite games of 2018. Um, beautiful indie game. One of the best. One of the best senses of of design and art direction I've had in a game. It just you know it, it came down to an executive decision and and I left it off. But I would yeah. highly recommend checking that game out. It's on Switch and PC. It's wonderful. Witcher Three Wild Hunt. Undeniable splash. Uh, in yeah. terms of influence and like incredible writing, incredible game. I just think I didn't, you didn't really like it much and I didn't like it as much as other people did. So yeah. I feel like this was more on the list because of the impact and less for personal reasons. That's why I took it off. Yeah. Next up, we got Scott Pilgrim, the game. We both like this a lot. It was a fun time. Great game. A- great soundtrack. Definitely played all of it. Unlocked everything. I just remember sitting with my roommate in like in, in college and just like literally 100%ing the whole game. But you know, is it, it, is it best games of the decade material? I don't know. I don't yeah, know. yeah. I I think it's definitely worth checking out. All, all these games are worth checking out. By the way, these that didn't make the list, these are right. all honorable mentions. So I yeah. don't want to be like negative here. Um, ridiculous fishing. Yeah. Did you play this? Do you know this? I do not. I okay. do not. Uh, this this uh, will be the first time that I mentioned Zach Age on this list. Uh, Zach Age, great developer. Um, recently made Card of Darkness with Pendleton Ward on Apple Arcade, which we talked about um, on our Apple Arcade episode. Uh, yeah, Ridiculous Fishing was a collaboration between him and Vlambeer, the developers that made Nuclear Throne and Loop Throusers and uh, Super Crate Box and a bunch of like other just incredible games. Um, it is just a brilliant, brilliant uh, design for a game on an iPhone where it's using the accelerometer really well. And like maybe the only good use of a smartphone accelerometer in a game that I can think of <laughs> off the top of my head. Um, just an incredible loop. Uh, feels like a roguelike, but isn't great game. Highly recommend it. Awesome. I don't think it's been uh, updated in years, so I don't know if it works well on like the current modern iPhones or if it even works at all. But if you can find it and <laughs> it is playable, definitely do it. Uh, next up, we got GTA Five. Did not enjoy something. Yeah, I, I, don't I put it on the list. list. I was, I think, I was the one that put it on the list. But you I did. Yeah, I also removed it from the list. I didn't like this game. <laughs> <laughs> GTA Five. I feel like is just a game that like couldn't exist out of the exact year it came out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And take that for what you will. Um, I think that there's a lot of ambition there, but yeah, I just. I never really liked the series. I did not own this game. I I watched some friends play it and like the series has always made me ask the question. I'm like, is this a commentary or is this unconscious celebration? You know what yeah, I mean? Right, right, right. Um, we'll leave it at that. But I think that's why it was taken off. Um, yeah, the that's reason the I added game. it to the list is worth mentioning is like this game is still sixty dollars. It still brings in millions and millions of dollars a month oh, yeah. somehow for Rockstar because of GTA Online, which is still a gigantic, gigantic community of people who are playing that game. And I think like. You can't overstate the importance of that, both in terms of like creating a games as service model that worked for Rockstar, um, but also just in terms of uh, like kind of shaping the future of that company, I think. 
anyway let's move on uh jazz punk is a uh wonderful indie game um so so funny um i think it's available on mac and pc it is like just a straight up comedy game which i feel like is so few and far between it is all visual gags you play as a spy in like a kind of 1940s 1950s art deco uh, world that is so fucking ridiculous like every single thing that happens in that game makes me laugh um and i just <laughs> wanted to mention it because it you know this is our best of the decade um, yeah so it's worth shouting out at least um, there are a few funny games it's, it's it's a hard medium to pull comedy off in i feel like yeah um and i think there are a couple on our actual list now that i'm just looking at it but yeah anyway uh jazz punk really cool game uh should not be overlooked but you know was um <laughs> after that uh mountain like arguably not even a game something that i just love uh it is <laughs> it is a picture of a mountain it's just cool have you seen it i haven't okay mountain is, is, is literally it opens up and it says you are mountain and that's it and it's just a big 3D mountain that spins around and you just kind of watch it spin around. You can't even really interact with it outside of spinning it more. Um, absolutely mesmerizing. And it just changes over time and is a wild thing um, and kind of like pushes the boundaries of like what is a game and what is interactivity and what is not um, really cool. I forget what that developer went on to make. Oh, everything. The game everything. Oh, wow. Okay. I heard um, that about that. What yeah. was the next game after that, which is still a game I haven't played, but really want to. Um, For sure. Octodad. Did you play that? I did play Octodad. I love Octodad. That's another very funny game. Uh, yeah. For those who are unfamiliar, you are an actual octopus who has somehow convinced a group of humans he is their father and husband. And the goal is just to not be caught that you're actually an octopus. So, mm -hmm. like, it kind of has, like, a co-op sensibility where it's yeah. like you know purposely really rough controls and your tasks are like pour a cup of coffee or something like very mundane that's like impossible for an octopus to do yeah um really charming really funny i think emblematic of uh i think we, i'm looking at this list now and i feel like 2014 had a lot of indie games kind of like this yeah. uh or at least i don't know if it was exactly 2014 but like that that, that era, group yeah. of that that era had a 2013 lot of 2013 like, to 2015 now that i'm looking at the list is like yeah solidly like would, filled with that kind of stuff i'll put surgeon simulator in the same boat as that and like yeah. a few other games totally. that had like Goat the simulator. comedy was yeah. that the the concept was so silly and the controls were so purposely bad. Yeah. Um, Threes is the next game I have on this list. Uh, a mobile game that like can't really be overstated in terms of uh, the impact it had, I think, on the industry. In that, it was ripped off immediately right before it came out. Um, another developer made a, a extremely similar game called 2048 based on the trailers for threes 2048 went on to become like the smash hit and threes absolutely did not um, oh wow and was just like kind of a wild thing to watch just like to see somebody get ripped off and not be able to do anything about it uh threes is a meticulously designed game it is so beautiful it is so good i highly recommend buying it uh a to just give money to that developer because of what happened uh but b because it is a really 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 fun game um that went on to influence one of my favorite games of last year twinfold um, which I still talk about and play almost daily. Um, speaking of games I play almost daily, Domino Drop. It was a free game at Starbucks once a couple of years ago. This is just for me. Uh, I love this game so much. Um, 
it has it has like a uh, big band and smooth jazz soundtrack to it mm. um just like some of the best visual and audio design i've ever seen in an iphone game um i l- cannot recommend domino drop enough i love this game to death and i literally play it every day when you open up my games folder it is the first game in there so good and that's um, a testament too to like the quality of this list you know what i mean like yes these are did make the cusp so what did is gonna be you know exemplary yeah um Um, one more yeah one more is a space plan which is a game that made me like literally actually angry when it came out because this was an idea i've wanted to make for so long which is just like what if you took like an idle clicker game and overlaid like a really interesting story on top of it so it is a it is a clicker game that'll take you maybe two or three days to beat total you know it's an idle game so like it'll just play itself in the background and stuff and you just check in with it but it is a full and complete narrative um that when it's done is fascinating and really interesting um i don't want to say too much about it because i think it's worth playing and the narrative is very cool and explores some interesting ideas um but it is very literally just like a press buttons and watch numbers go up game um that has a really cool story attached to it uh the reason i removed it from the list is because there's another game like that that came out in 2017 that we are going to talk about um But anyway, that's our that's our list of games that we're not going to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> I, honestly, though, I'm glad you you incentivize us going through it because I'm glad we did. I, yeah. I think this is a cool honorable mentions. And there's a full range here between games we thought deserved like attention for their impact. Yeah. Versus games that we like too subjectively liked. Mm-hmm. Um, so now we're going to get into it. In addition to the list, we have uh, 2010 and 2018 here. In addition to the games we have listed for each year, we have also highlighted five, uh, not one per year, just in total for the decade, mm-hmm. five of our like absolute favorites. Yeah. Um, so sprinkle throughout our, our bolded games. Um, so expect some of those uh, throughout this recording. Yeah. So I guess we can just get started with 2010, right? Are you ready to start? Yeah, let's do it. 2010 starting before off we do that strong. i have a bit Ooh. more on just cause too so uh, the th- <laughs> yeah, i i laugh i kid but i do uh just cause too get the demo for your xbox 360 have the fucking time of your life yeah i uh really did play a lot of that game just that cause. demo specifically yeah yeah i love it i know i know it's just cause but like just cause is the perfect title oh yeah it's uh, incredible Anyway, 2010. This is a really interesting year for me uh, regarding video games, because I think I've mentioned on the show how, I mean, video games have been a big part of my life since birth. My sister had a Nintendo, she, my, my older sister. She was five, I was zero. Um, that's a weird way of saying she's five years older. But anyway, <laughs> like, born with Nintendo, we had Super Nintendo together, we had 64 together, and then, like, uh... Um, when my parents split, my dad had PlayStation, my mom had Nintendo. Mm-hmm. So like I, I grew up without an option of like not, and th- I know that's like a, a very privileged statement, but like it just was there the minute I arrived into this world. I did not have a choice. And uh, I thought sometime in like high school, I think like I really liked the Wii. I liked Twilight Princess a lot, but it was around like 2007, 2008 when I was at my most angsty, 18-year-old Steven. Uh, liked at the drive-in a lot. Um, and I was like, I don't know if I'm going to ever feel the same way I did when I was little about like an Ocarina of Time or Final Fantasy VII. Like, I don't know if, the, if that is that feeling 
just nostalgia or is is it just that games have not been as effective lately 2010 came and i played mass effect 2 which if you don't mind i want to start this list off with yeah please um this is a bolded game for me this is one of my favorite games of all time and easily my game of the year for 2010 i put mass effect 2 and like it was like a magic switch went off and i was like oh shit the feeling i had as a nine-year-old playing ff7 for the first time exists and still can exist and now it's happening again Mm -hmm. um and it really it really triggered a lot of love for me i mean i played this game after i played skyrim which i also really loved but skyrim is a game where you play a lot of it and it feels like you just ate a lot of food (laughs) like you kind of have this (laughs) sense you feel a little bloated and detached after a while Uh and i mean that as a compliment but that's kind of the vibe is like you just get so lost in this world yeah but mass effect was like such a purposeful plot driven game where i really i went in expecting a skyrim and i walked out like truly having fallen in love with the characters and i went in uh there are two moral alignments in mass effect there's paragon and renegade both it's not as simple as good and evil there are some decisions that are just straight up evil with renegade but renegade is more of an ends justify the means uh you know like impulsive uh dark side and paragon is like we have to think about the end result we have to think about all parties kind of uh star trek cats and picard style thinking yeah or maybe less captain picard and more just like star trek as an as a series um because picard has his own renegade-ness when it comes to like the borg and you can just tell how nerdy i am with the sentiment <laughs> anyway uh so um mass effect 2 just like i remember the last mission and i brought this up in an early episode because you mentioned you'd play a lot of it i'm like but you have to play the last mission because the whole game is you are commander shepherd you have finished the events of the first game where you basically save the galaxy you die in the beginning quote unquote Shepard is killed and you are brought back to life by this really sketchy human supremacist group called Cerberus led by the elusive man who is Martin Sheen, who gives a great vocal performance. So good. This this character. And this is like the visual design of where the elusive man hangs out is so like etched into my brain. Like the, the, the burning sun reflected on the floor and the ceiling, like so cool. Yeah, it feels so is, much like uh like a like a Ridley Scott set mm-hmm. design. It's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. It's so effective. And it immediately establishes itself as like, oh, this is like this sci-fi series of Mass Effect is not only just an homage to Star Trek and Star Wars and every sci-fi series, but it's it's its own thing. It's it's right up there with all of those, in my opinion. And the whole game is you kind of having this uneasy alliance with Cerberus, and uh, the elusive man has a dossier on a group of companions he wants you to recruit, and basically the threat is that there are a group of aliens called the Collectors who are wiping out uh, human colonies. So he's like, hey, you want to save the world, right? Well, help save humanity by assembling this team I put together for you. Uh, A lot of new allies, a lot of old allies. You've got Tali from Mass Effect 1, who's one of my favorite characters in a video game. Uh, You've got Garrus, who is my favorite character in a video game. Uh, I mean, maybe not, but like up there for sure. And it's just such a good ensemble of characters. And then the final mission, which is called from the very beginning, the suicide mission, is this against all odds 
mission that you as a player, your actions investing in your crew are put to the test. And depending on your actions, people live or die in that mission, like cinematically. It's so powerful. I was on the edge of my seat and like, I just felt so, thankfully I lost no one. Everyone survived. (laughs) And the ending of that game, like I like Mass Effect 1, I like Mass Effect 3. They both have amazing moments and they both have their respective strengths. But start to finish, Mass Effect 2 is like just a pinnacle experience in that type of RPG. It is so good. Uh, and I, I feel like when I finished it, like I, I remember a a friend of mine, Chris, uh, he, the one Final Fantasy he played was Final Fantasy 10. And he said, once I beat it, I felt like I lost a friend. And I feel like that's a sign of a good RPG when it's like, you feel like you actually got to know someone. Um, and that's how I felt with Mass Effect. I, I genuinely loved and cared about people like Garrus and Tali and, and everyone really, but can't sing this game's praises enough. I love this trilogy so much. Yeah, yeah, Mass Effect 2 is uh, the one that I played. I had an incredible time with it. I, I don't remember why I stopped playing. It might have literally just been like other games popped up sure. here and there. Yeah. Um, but I also remember I didn't play it in 2010. I played it like way after because I think it was on a Steam sale or something and I picked it up. Um, but sure. I was I was blown away by it because I had just finished watching all of Star Trek The Next Generation. And then uh-huh. I think somebody, maybe it was you even way back in the day, pitched it to me mm-hmm. as Star Trek The Next Generation, but a video game. And I was like, OK, great. That's actually exactly what I need um, and played just a, a ridiculous amount of it. But I guess not all of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it can't can't overstate uh, how wildly good that game is i would love a remaster of that franchise Me too. so That's like much why i want to get a scarlet is like to have the ability just to play the original games again but if they ever did a remaster i would be i would love that so much yeah um especially uh, for the first game because the first game is honestly like brutal to play through i have played old ass archaic final fantasies and the first mass effect is like borderline unplayable sometimes (laughs) it is brutal uh but it's a shame because like there's a lot of cool stuff going on in the first game too but it's just rough uh yeah the best experience is playing one beating it and uploading your save file into two because all your choices carry over and like the breath of fresh the breath of fresh air starting two is like oh my god this plays so much better <laughs> it play, it like it's night and day in terms of gameplay it's so much better it's a pretty decent shooter like uh, for those unfamiliar it's like a third person cover based shooter not unlike gears of war oddly enough but like you have sort of uh you have tech and biotics which are the space version of magic basically yeah so good i love it i was in i was a vanguard which are it's combat mixed with biotics uh it's a really cool class yeah yeah cool anyway. game mass effect cool 2 game. Can't wait mass to talk about two. Mass Effect Andromeda on this show once I play that. <laughs> Honestly, I'm willing to check it out as well. I've I've heard like now that the hype has waned down, I feel like people are a little bit kinder to it. And I think it's I think it seems like it's worth investing the like ten dollars it costs now in it. Yeah. So willing to check it out. Yeah. Um it was a whole new team of writers, so like it's a hard act to follow, to follow that trilogy. Like even with the mixed reaction to three, like that trilogy is like peak game writing for sure. Yeah, totally. Um, which is the most Mountain Dew phrase I'll say on the show. Anyway, moving <laughs> on. Do you want to do one of yours next? Um, uh, sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So I guess I guess the beginning of my list for 2010 was uh, Infinity Blade, which was a pretty much a tech demo that Epic Games made for the iPhone 4 
release, um, which is like wild. But it was a game that was like purely made, I think, to show off. I think that was the beginning of uh, Metal, which was like um, the iPhone and and, and Apple's uh, way of just like integrating a really strong graphics chip into the iPhone. Um, and, and Infinity Blade was like the, the big premiere, like standout for that, because Epic had just I think they were in the process of making all of the Gears of War games. I forget how many in we had been at that point. Um, but Infinity Blade came out was a game where you are a like silent protagonist knight in this like kind of horrific Dark Souls ask like pre Dark Souls one uh, world where you are just going up against bosses over and over and over again. And the controls were so simple. You're just swiping in certain directions, depending on like what weak points exist, but also swiping depending on which way the enemy was swiping or, or was attacking you to parry against it and ended up being this like really, really, really like hardcore sword based combat game for the iphone 4 in 2010 and it was like (laughs) graphically way too impressive like it was wild that that thing was running on the iphone 4 like even i was looking at screenshots of it now just to like see how it compares i was like i remember being blown the fuck away by this game when they showed it off in the in the apple announcement and it still holds up it is still like wild looking i don't even think you can get it anymore but that to me was the beginning of of my brain accepting the iPhone as not just a place to play games because it was already that because there were so many just like fun like arcadey things on there but this was the beginning of me accepting the iPhone as like a really strong platform to play like triple A shit like this this was yeah. me thinking to myself oh my god you could have like a full like PS3 Xbox 360 era experience on this little tiny device that's in my pocket um, and there are so many games that we are going to talk about through the rest of this list that will be echoes of what I first saw in Infinity Blade um that's awesome beyond that like that game just fucking rules it was so good they made three of them all three of them were awesome um and yeah infinity blade it's all it's so good i I love i love that game and that franchise and i kind of wish it came back but now they make a game called fortnite uh so i don't think we're gonna get another (laughs) infinity blade ever again yeah maybe not um been a bit eclipsed there just for context too you mentioned your list and my list like there are plenty of entries uh per year that are on behalf of both of us so yeah. it's not as a much of a duality as that but in this case we're kind of switching off um and there are games that we can both speak to this is a collective steven and brendan approved list yes uh so it's not quite as uh, much of a divisiveness as our game of the year will be yeah. or has been yeah. depending on when this comes out <laughs> anyway <laughs> Uh, my next one here is Super Street Fighter 4. I really like fighting games. I'm kind of chill about that on the show. I've not talked about that much. I am in the no man's land. There's actually, I think, a hard drive article about this as well, where it's like uh, fighting game fan, like too good to play with friends, not good enough to play competitively. And that's like where I've always sort of been. Um, depending on the game, I really got into Street Fighter 4, and Super Street Fighter 4 was kind of an improvement in every way. Um, they added a lot of characters from Third Strike, which is my favorite Street Fighter. Um, so Dudley, Ibuki, Makoto, all were added. Um, and like Third Strike is the is the I would say it's like the Majora's Mask of Street Fighter, where they changed up a lot and added a lot of new characters. And at the time, people were like, "What is this?" But now it's like the favorite. Yeah. Um, such a cool, great hip-hop soundtrack, like really cool art design. Love Third Strike, and the fact that they added a lot of that 
to Super Street Fighter 4 and kind of improve some mechanics. I really fell deep into this game, and it was like my go-to fighting game for a long time. Yeah, this is one of the only Street Fighter games that I have played uh, and, really, oh, cool. and really enjoyed. And that's awesome. about as much as I can say about it. I was uh, I was so good at Ibuki that I got a lot of angry messages from people online after I won. Isn't that the best <laughs> feeling? <laughs> They're like, <laughs> yeah, I won't get into that, but I, it did feel like a second victory. I'm like, oh, wow, that person's really... Not that I want to make people upset, but they, you know, they lost pretty dramatically. Anyway, yeah. moving on. Uh, what do you got next? We got Civ Five here. Yeah, Civilization Five. Did you play this? I played a bit of Five. I played a lot of Civ Three. That was my main uh, Civ entry. Yeah. Um, but Civ Five, I think, definitely liked exponentially more than Six. I think Civ Five was like the end of an era in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. I I have played a bunch of Civ Six, and I think I bought it. For the show, for the podcast, and didn't yeah, talk about it, it at all. It's fun. It's a fun game, but it's not on the same level as Civ Five. I, I didn't even have fun playing it. Like I just had, oh, really? it was, yeah. Civ Six. The experience of playing Civ Six was Theodore Roosevelt insulting me repeatedly. Like that was like <laughs> literally all I got out of that game was just Theodore Roosevelt just saying, "You suck. You suck. You, you call suck. yourself a bull moose." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just imagine like you in class and Theodore Roosevelt outside the window going like fuck you, fuck yes, you. Like, exactly. him, like, just flipping me off through the window. Yeah. And anytime the teacher looks to the left, he like ducks under the window. Yeah, um, what are you looking at? Nothing. <laughs> Bigly, stay after class. Oh come on, then he's yeah, he flips you off. Again come, on, and runs away. <laughs> come on, teach. Come on, teach. hours right outside. He's flipping me the bird. <laughs> um, Civ Five, like the the thing that I can say about Civ Five. <laughs> Is the thing that everybody says about Civ Five, which is like I had I had never played a Civilization game before, but I downloaded it and I sure didn't sleep for a whole twenty four hours because that's all I did. Like any plan I had went out the window, and all I did was play Civ Five for like literally twenty four straight hours. Um, yeah, it is like perfection in that style of game. Mm-hmm. Um, I I am still blown away by it. I still revisit it. I play that more than I play Civ Six now. It's it's just it's great. I can't I can't say enough wonderful things about it um and i won't because we have about uh 94 other games to talk yeah, about yeah uh mass effect took a bit more time because it's a bolder one so i appreciate you letting me gush oh yeah um, yeah of course next up here i got limbo another game that means a lot to me yeah it would have been on my um, list too uh limbo I mean, is list, yeah. uh play dead i think is the developer mm-hmm. came out in 2010 obviously alongside all these games it is alongside another game we'll talk about i think one of the first times an indie game got like major distribution. Like I feel like this was when um, on 360 there was Xbox Arcade that featured a lot of indie hits. And yeah, this it was, was like Braid one. happened first, and then I feel like Limbo was like next. Yeah, I'm sure there's was... other stuff in there. Um, For oh, yeah, sure, there's actually another one on in this 2010 list that we're gonna talk about. But yeah, Limbo. Yeah. Limbo. I just remember being like a big like flagship Xbox release. Yeah, which was wild for an indie game. Oh yeah. Uh, in Limbo, you play as like a shadowy silhouette of a young boy traversing a really horrific kind of timber any land where there's like giant spiders. And the way you die in this game is so unceremonious. Like you yeah. just like get killed by these horrific things. Um, but there's such the whole thing's in black and white and there's such good attention to detail with the lighting and with the effects and the sound and the music. Like It's a very harrowing but addictive experience. Yeah. Um, essentially a platformer. And... You go from area to area, and there's sort of like a very loose environmental story. I don't want to say anything about the story because I feel like it's best to experience it. I think it would be limiting to put it into words. But um, I play this game with a close friend of mine, Chris, and uh, we finished it together. And like, it was just such a cool, unique experience, especially for the time. It really 
opened my mind to the idea of what a game could do in its environment and its like art direction yeah uh, in terms of evoking a mood and a story really i would still recommend it today same people who made inside you and i share a similar thing where we like limbo exponentially more than inside yeah yeah Um, absolutely yeah limbo came out during my uh one semester in college i was at art school uh my roommate was a game design major um and the two of us had the room that was connected to the common room uh because we both in our like in in our like sheets that we had to fill out to say like what kind of room we wanted both of us were like we don't sleep at all uh so we were connected (laughs) to the common room where everyone was hanging out so they gave you a copy like my entire yeah, they gave us a copy of Limbo. Uh, my our, yeah. our whole floor was like very tight knit. It was all people who said that they didn't sleep. And I guess we said that we didn't sleep the most and were OK with loud noises and whatever. Um, but what that meant was that we had like a pretty much just open door policy in our in our dorm room because it was connected to the common room. Um, and I remember the day Limbo came out, we just like invited all the other game design majors who were on the floor into our little tiny room. And we all just sat around and played through the whole game. And it was like such a cool communal experience to just like have an entire room of people just go oh fuck like when when the kid dies so wild such a cool cool game um i i will never ever ever forget that experience of playing that game like surrounded by like 10 people um yeah really fun it's a good group game oddly enough as like harrowing and isolating as the game is like it's good to play with friends um a good spooky season game actually maybe we could revisit it oh uh, yeah i'd love to i'd love to um uh cool next up it looks like we got halo reach Yes. Oh, my God. Halo Reach. Um, Halo Reach, the last Halo game made by Bungie before they went on to make Destiny, uh, before they they split off from Microsoft. It is a prequel to the other Halo games, and it is perfect. It is a perfect campaign. <laughs> it is an absolutely incredible game. Very similar to my Limbo experience. Uh, I just remember a friend of mine and I both went to the midnight release. Uh, and then the next day, maybe this indicates why I only went to college for one semester. We skipped all of our classes and we played through the entire game in one sitting. Uh, and people just kind of like filtered in and out of the common room and watched us play it. That game is so brilliant. I think people who have played it know exactly what I'm talking about when I say there's one specific mission that is like maybe one of the best first person shooter missions that has ever happened in a video game. Do you know what I'm talking about? Did you play this? I haven't played it, but I so I have a few close friends who are big Halo fans as well. I've kind of been uh, like passive with the series i've enjoyed it but i haven't gotten super into it yeah my friend adam i'll give a shout out to he's a huge halo fan and reach is also his favorite and yeah notably it's the one where you don't play as master chief yes Uh, it's sort of like a rogue one in that sense where it's like a ragtag team of soldiers that are not related to like the chosen one hero in that sense you are still Um, spartans which which you know you are like master chief level in terms of your like physical prowess so it's not like um what was that that spinoff odst it's not like odst which was a game where you were just like like a regular ass person. Oh, maybe that's what I was thinking of. Uh, I think Reach is still his favorite, but ODST was what I was was remembering. There. Yeah, ODST, yeah. very cool game. Really interesting way of like working a narrative into into a video game. But uh, we can talk about that another time. Halo Reach, still like just an incredible game. Uh, kind of talks about the fall of Spartans as like a, an idea in the world and why Master Chief is the last remaining one. I had always enjoyed the Halo franchise, but never really played it as like kind of like a mentally stimulating like interesting narrative good time uh and Mm -hmm. halo reach absolutely was that and it took me so by surprise um and then on top of that i think personally that was my favorite multiplayer in all of those games Mm. um until halo 5 which is also a hot take um but but halo reach had like the best system for unlocking cosmetics for your character and like really making you feel like you were kind of building yourself up and uh yeah i love it it's also being re-released um soon they're adding it to the master chief collection so anybody who has 
as a Master Chief collection is getting Halo Reach for free soon. Um, oh, awesome. Which fucking rules. And I'm so excited to go back and play that game again. I'd love to check out Halo more because I feel like I would probably enjoy it a lot. I played the first one on like PC way back in the day. Um, yeah. Halo 1's and awesome. Halo 1 is great. And then I played... I played the multiplayer of two and three a lot, just like in middle school yeah. and high school. Yeah, obviously. that was kind of the experience. That was like how it worked was like three. Yeah. yeah, three came out, I think, my junior or senior year of high school. And two was like uh, junior high, basically. Um, yeah. Halo two, I think I played the most of at like a friend's house and was like height of puberty. Anyway, yeah, uh, moving on. Um, Rock Band three. Speaking of puberty, uh, <laughs> Rock Band three. <laughs> Swan song, this and uh, Beatles rock band, I would consider the swan song of the rock band series. Yeah. Um, this is a game series that probably will never, everyone has a like full band plastic gear somewhere in their garage from the, when the this zeitgeist of yeah. this game. Um, but not to take away how much fun it was and what a good party game it was. I can't think of a single like, party or friend gathering i went to in high school uh or even early college like didn't have some type of rock band set up yeah um it did introduce people to a lot of interesting bands too like um at the time in 2006 i was one of five people who liked the pixies and then suddenly everyone <laughs> liked them uh which i know is pretentious but like you know it it had a cool lineup of music where it was a good mix of like classics and maybe like hits you probably haven't heard otherwise yeah and the band customization, which I think is a uh, undersold feature, is astounding. I made the weirdest band. I made not only did I make a band, which yes, the drummer was named Belts and was covered in belts, <laughs> but I made their number one fan and their manager, who was named Fish, and like they sometimes would cycle in. Uh, so much fun. Um, I would love these games to come back in some way that utilized a new control scheme that didn't require like a plastic Fisher-Price band. Yeah, but, but how are you going to do that? I, I don't know. I, don't, I also I, want I don't this know. to come back, but I don't know how you do it without the inclusion of like a lot of plastic. I don't know, and I'm excited to not know, because I think there's potential there, but yeah. I think for, for the time it was out, this is a really fun thing, and I just want to honor that time um, and I think Rock Band 3 is probably the best example of a Rock Band game. Yeah, um, it is so. wild to think that this that that era of like plastic instrument video games ended in 2010. Like that it did. Feel, it still feels so fresh. Um, yeah. But yeah, that was that was the end of it. Shout out to the Rock Band franchise for uh, creating a whole community of podcasters who use the Rock Band microphone uh, as their first podcasting microphone because it plugged into <laughs> usb um that is awesome. not an uncommon thing that happened i was uh, i was a big fan of the drums and singing those yeah. are my two yeah not yeah. surprising obviously anyway yeah. yeah um next up is alan wake um mm. did you play alan wake i didn't but i heard great things uh alan wake was great um it was like the impetus for me checking out twin peaks for the first time um a tv show that i don't like actually I know that's also a hot take. Um, I've tried watching it so many times. I really want to like it. It is like so extremely made for me. It just doesn't work. Alan Wake, though, on the other hand, absolutely does work. It is just like an incredible narrative told in a really interesting way. Um, the the I just remember like reading because this was like around the era where this was a thing that happened. I remember reading a magazine article that was like just talking about in depth uh, about the shining a flashlight on a on a dark 
spectral object to like weaken it and then shooting it uh that mechanic back and forth and thinking like that sounds really novel and interesting and actually ended up totally living up to it like now in retrospect it seems so goofy it's like okay so i'm just like shooting it with light and then shooting it with bullets um but the way that this game incorporated that into a narrative that was like so twisted in on itself and really made you reconsider your own preconceptions about like alan as a character what he was doing i i think a lot of people compare it to twin peaks rightfully what i would compare it to more is like an actually good retelling of uh secret window the the stephen king novel mm. um it is like imagine if johnny depp wasn't in that movie and then you have alan wake it's really good <laughs> uh yeah like alan wake cool game uh want it to come back i don't know if what's going on with the rights there's like a whole bunch of stuff going on with the rights to that game um but i don't know that that studio remedy has gone on to make control which is another incredible game um yeah. so they're doing all right for themselves regardless do you want to talk about the next one or should i talk about the next one well we can both talk about it uh you did put it on the list though and no surprise it's minecraft it's here it is minecraft so it's worth noting minecraft like officially hit 1.0 in 2011 my experience with it started in 2010 when i was in college i downloaded it with my roommate and his girlfriend at the time and i just remember like three in the morning just the two of us like sitting we're all on the same bed or sorry the three of us sitting all on the same bed all in a line all of our macbooks open and we are all building things separately like we didn't have a joined multiplayer world or anything but we were just like holy <laughs> shit there's spiders in this game yeah. holy shit and just like like holy shit moments over and over and over again um and then the next morning we like walked out into the common room like we had just been given the 10 commandments from god and we hooked <laughs> my laptop up to the tv in the common room and we were like you have to see this game and what followed was literally like everyone on our floor downloading minecraft and playing it like endlessly so much so that when I uh, dropped out and I went back home, I set up a Minecraft server at home so I could still continue playing with all of those people. Um, yeah. And we all played together forever. Were you on that server? You might have been. Some of our mutual friends were also on that server. <sighs> I might have been. I kind of, I feel like I balanced from Minecraft pretty hard, but I did really enjoy my time with it. Yeah. Um, I think the sense of scale that Minecraft delivered in this time, 2010, 2011, was kind of unmatched. Like, yeah the idea of this giant world that you could explore and kind of treat however you wanted. So I think even if you're not a big fan of the game, its DNA is undeniable in any open world game. You know, our favorite breath of the wilds, like uh, even, even that game kind of has sort of like the crafting systems as well. But I think what goes undersold in Minecraft is the scale of the world. You know, there's so much attention to building and, and crafting and that's all great. And that's like what the series is known for. But I think what's most impressive is like how this simplified square world does feel so big and so like unmatched in its in its like majesty in a way. Yeah. yeah. I liked digging more than anything else. I kind of made a very humble shack and then just dug as deep as I can go and then like I liked the the debate of like do I go back or do I keep going? Like and that's kind of um I think the main gameplay feature in a lot of roguelikes where it's like, do I have what it takes to keep going or should I cut my losses and bring back what I've already got? Yeah. Um, just like I enjoyed that a lot. Brilliant game design in in those early releases. Um for that reason in particular. Cause that was also how I played that game mainly was I, I built a giant like house in a tree. So I had like a giant tree house that like I could, I had a, a ladder that went down through the trunk of the tree into the ground, which is where my mind was. So I never had to like see the outside world like ever, unless I was on top of my tree looking down. But it was like, 
just a, a really wild experience in the beginning, just like having that back and forth of just like seeing if I could find a diamond. Cause that's like all you really needed to do in, right. the, in the beginning. Um, yeah. there was like no sense of direction. There was no tutorial. There was nothing in those first early releases, which really kind of created that like dark souls. You have to go online and like talk to other people online to figure out what you need to be doing. Um, yeah. but also it was just Legos, right? Like it was literally just giving you nothing um, and saying, make something with this. And you always could. Um, and it wasn't until I started playing on a server with other people that I started to see, uh, because when you create a Minecraft server with a bunch of art students, a bunch of really wild shit happens. Because uh, a yeah. lot of people play that game in very different ways. Uh, and that was when I started getting really into like building and design and architecture like within within the game. Um, because I, I was mainly like you, just a person who was like digging down uh, in instead of like seeing what I could build myself. Um, so I, I started building like a lot of like modern architecture, like Frank Lloyd Wright houses. Um, <laughs> and then eventually went on to do a thing that I think I've talked about on the show, uh, especially when talking about No Man's Sky, which was just, I built a railroad that just went as far out as humanly possible. I was like, I'm just going to ride this for like 15 to 20 straight, like human actual minutes um, and just like see what the world has to offer. Uh, Cause I just love exploring and just seeing things in that game. Um, and yeah. That is still prevalent today. We did a whole episode of, of this podcast about Minecraft and like how it still holds up and how they've changed so much about it, but it still like retains all of that magic that made it special when it first came out. And and yeah, that was the beginning of that was 2010. And so many games that we're going to talk about on this list, I'm just like looking and just pointing at them are like directly inspired by the success of this game. I mean, no I other too, game has been so fucking successful as an indie yeah. game. Yeah, I mean, I think this game was number one on Polygon's list of uh, 100 of the decade. And that list was like, I think, a mix of personal favorites as well as like the impact they had yeah probably more of the latter but like that game like i think if you had to define like the trends set i think minecraft has the most sprawling influence like i was thinking about death stranding you know in terms of like having this sort of untamed world with a supernatural threat that comes to get you mm -hmm. and like building things to at first just like deal with that and survive and then having the luxury of building on top of that and yeah uh, the connections you can make with other people uh, obviously death stranding is more focused on those connections um but even in a game as far removed visually from Minecraft as you can get sharing some DNA is very interesting so yeah I think I'm very happy you put Minecraft on the list I think I think it deserves it uh I think it deserves to be on it yeah can't um, really overstate especially given like I, I think the most interesting thing that you can say about Minecraft right now like the most interesting anecdote is uh when talking about why Microsoft bought it because they they went on to buy the rights to Minecraft and you know it was like a multi-billion dollar thing it was like wild like I like it like a Disney acquires Marvel level of money uh, oh, yeah. when, when they bought Minecraft which is like amazing and when asked why the reasoning behind it was uh back in the day when trying to introduce people to computers the easiest way to do that was to show them a mouse because they could really understand the idea of clicking and dragging and moving an actual pointer around on the screen um, and that's why games like solitaire and minesweeper existed on the original versions of of windows uh because it just like trained people in how to use the the point and click and whatever they bought minecraft as the way to introduce people to new forms of input in the future so microsoft right now is experimenting with augmented reality and virtual reality and things like that and because everybody inherently knows how to play minecraft maybe not everybody now but like give it another like 10 to 15 to 20 years oh, yeah. and all of the people who grew up playing minecraft will like have it so deeply lodged in their brain that yeah. they are now 
planning on using that <clears throat> as the entry point to allow people to understand how to interact with things like virtual reality and augmented reality, which is I was gonna say, amazing. Like I do talk about like give it another years before everyone knows how to play Minecraft. Like I do um I volunteer for like a letters to Santa thing where we get presents for kids who are from like lower income families in yeah. the city. And every single kid, I've done it for three years and I've bought gifts for around 10 kids. Seeing other people's lists and stuff, every kid wants Minecraft Legos. Every single kid yeah. wants Pokemon cards and Minecraft Legos, which warms my heart because one, I'm like, Pokemon cards, that's what I wanted. You, <laughs> asked, you asked the right Santa to help you out. <laughs> Two... Uh, you're going to get specific cards. Like, here's Smeargle, uh, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Minecraft, a very important and good game. Uh, and it's the future, not, I guess, of a lot of things. The future of a lot of things. Minecraft Steve, cutting the, cut the way for the future. <laughs> Last but not least, on our 2010 list, we've got Super Meat Boy. Yeah. Um, talk about influential. This is the one, of, I think this is the game you're referencing in terms of like indie games kind of like getting a spotlight. Mm -hmm. There are like, several documentaries about this game it is a i think the genre is massacre but it's sort of like a pixelated platformer not too dissimilar from celeste and it's a game that you and i have not put a ton of time into but we both enjoyed and like kind of felt super like we Boy? needed to put yeah oh no i super played this game oh never mind uh, i played i play a lot of it but not as much as you i guess oh yeah um, no I, when this game came out i played it like incessant i was like obsessed with super meat boy when it came out um, yeah. needed to beat it like needed to needed to uh, honestly maybe the beginning of of my like masochistic love of this kind of game <laughs> um, and also yeah. the beginning of my love of Edmund McMillan games um, which I'll be talking about pretty extensively in 2011 um, yeah 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 but uh, I'm also potentially excited to talk about because he just released a new game which is a prequel to Binding of Isaac uh, just came out a couple weeks ago and I haven't mm. checked it out yet um, I'm like giddy though uh, but yeah Super, Super <laughs> Meat Boy uh, pretty much just like what if you took uh super mario brothers and made it the most fucked up game you possibly could um like <laughs> mechanically because and conceptually too there's some disturbing imagery going on yeah right even here. though it's very cute and cartoony and whatever yeah. um it is absolutely brutal in like every way a video game can be brutal maybe one of my favorite things that's ever been in a video game is the uh playback of all the times you died every time yeah. you beat a level yeah it's so cool to see yeah it's it's wonderful yeah i mean this game is obviously extremely influential in games like celeste and stuff like that that is not to say that it is like the first uh pass at something like this i would honestly say that the the first version of a super meat boy is actually super mario brothers 2 like the original one that was released in japan uh, oh, wow. where they were like this is too hard don't release it in the oh, united that states that one yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah um that game uh i i once spent an entire summer beating that game i was like i'm going to beat this game because they said that i couldn't um and then and then did it um and super meat boy kind of like captured that magic for me um and and i love it i think it's great yeah and, a good a good uh, end note for 2010 yeah uh, um, do you want to take a, what a cool bit year. of a break and move on oh yeah sure that sounds good. Let's do it. All right. Uh, 2011 on the horizon. See you then. Goodbye. Steven, the year is 2011. The year is 2011. I'm, I'm in a, a band. Junior. What are you doing? I'm a junior in college, and um, this, is a, this is a really cool year. I 
just had a bad breakup. Mm-hmm. Um, Sounds but cool. It paved the way for emotional growth. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> I mean that sincerely, even though I said it in a weird tone of voice. But junior year was great. Uh, it was a very active year creatively, uh, personally, and a lot of good games came out. Most notably Skyrim, which is first. Yeah, number one on our list. You know what Oblivion means to me, what it means to us, my mm-hmm. world, my everything. My breakup was with Oblivion, just for context. Um, <laughs> Skyrim came out, I remember it was Mark it is coming out 11 11 11 so november 11th of mm-hmm. 2011 i got it the day it came out even though i had i wasn't as following what was coming out at that time in my life i knew i needed this and i kind of was surprised at how many people also got it because oblivion was a big hit but like you had to be kind of a dork to like oblivion you know what i mean yeah uh skyrim like a lot of people think, played oblivion a lot of people loved skyrim yes skyrim i think oh, it, it sold more copies than whatever the call of duty was that year which was like unthinkable at the time yeah skyrim was such a massive instant hit and has since become such a staple and such like a it's like saying you like the Beatles at this point it's like okay <laughs> like cool but like yeah I remember playing it and and we have talked about Skyrim a lot in passing and and we've talked a lot about a lot of Bethesda games and like what they've each done well and Skyrim has its shortcomings but holy shit was it a huge step for Elder Scrolls and I think still the last game Bethesda has made that has really rode the perfect balance of streamlined and still retaining what makes a good Bethesda RPG. Yeah. I think there's a reason why Skyrim is continuously being re-released. It is such a classic game, and I love it. I, I really... I revisit it every so often, like every other year. I feel like I, I start a new character and I yeah, play and I'm always happy I do. Yeah. I'm always happy to revisit that world. Yeah, my most recent experience with Skyrim was when PSVR was like deeply on sale on a Black Friday thing a couple of years ago. Um, and revisiting that game in VR was the first time since the first time I played it that I was like, oh my God, I fully recaptured the magic. And I've talked about that experience like a lot on this podcast. Um, but although the VR experience is great, nothing compares to the first time playing through that game and like the two to three hundred hours of that one character i put into um just like an unbelievable landscape an unbelievable world so much so much to compare against in terms of like oblivion was probably like my favorite game ever up until that point and skyrim somehow managed to like supersede that while i was playing it i think in the years since i have now gone back to oblivion um but but skyrim was like so poised to be a disappointment in my eyes because i loved oblivion so much and managed to like knock it out of the fucking park on like every single front it was so wild how good Skyrim was. Um, My soul is bound to Oblivion, so yeah. I can't speak any ill of it. But Skyrim improved on so much. Yeah. Um, I mean, there are some things that I think Oblivion still does the best. And I think, like, in terms of what I want from an Elder Scrolls game, I think... I mean, they're very close. I, I usually, like, Skyrim is the better game overall. Like, all all soul-binding aside, like, Skyrim is the better game. Yeah. But... Oblivion has sort of the, uh, where I think Oblivion shines is like the faction quests and the use of magic and the customization of your character mm-hmm. all all supersede Oblivion. Um, I think I remember hearing from someone that a lot of uh, Oblivion had a very successful modding scene, as a lot of Bethesda games do. Yeah. And there was some mod for Oblivion that added like a pretty substantial amount, almost like an expansion pack worthy amount of content. Worth noting, the expansions for Skyrim also fucking rule. Uh, yeah. You can probably get them pretty cheap at this point. Dragonborn especially, real good. Most of them uh, are go- included now 
just when you buy Skyrim. Yeah, uh, there was one where you could build a house and, and adopt kids. That's great. Yeah. Uh, but the vampire one and the dragonborn one especially are are fantastic. Yeah. Really, really cool. What do we even the say Ab- about Skyrim? I don't even know like what to... It's just so good. <laughs> it's just so good. It's just... I remember, I remember when it came out, I was, again, junior year in college, and like I was in a house with seven other guys, and we all had it on different systems. I was the first to get it, so I brought the plague to the house. Mm-hmm. And... We each had a different character. We were each talking about like how we were experiencing it with that character. I had a, a Argonian thief, obviously. Um, I think I did too. My yeah. friend had a Breton mage, and um, it was just such a cool game to talk about other people's experiences, even though it is such a uh, solitary experience, purposely so. Yeah. It was so cool to talk about. I mean, I think, too, this is a good example of an open world game not trying this to be as big as possible. The map is smaller than Oblivion. It's just way more detailed. Like... I can recite to you where the like great plains near Whiterun are, the mountains of Markarth, the like really snow fallen north of the of the continent in the southeast it's kind of swampier and everything is like cold and viking adjacent but the terrain is so well designed and so unique to the environment you're in whereas oblivion eventually felt like they copied and pasted like a forest over a lot of areas yeah um the city stood out but the the world didn't whereas skyrim is the best game just to like walk in any direction and you will find something it's gonna be a great time and it might be like it, it might be like the 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 most like minute thing to say about why skyrim is great like maybe the most obvious and and, like stupid thing to say but like you fought dragons in that game yeah like that was amazing (laughs) yeah the first time you have to fight a dragon in a video game and it like really you feel the scale of it like even in that first intro when you are running around and the dragon like shoves its head into the window just breathes fire directly into the building that you're in and like fucks it up for real it's like this is a terrifying creature and so many games have tried to do dragons in the past and this one like actually got it right and it did and the fact that they can show up at any moment and like you have to just deal with it yeah uh, and eventually you become incredible i mean you're an unstoppable being and a dragon means nothing to you a dragon might as well be an ant but like for those first couple hours dragons are absolutely fucking terrifying i'll um, never forget i was in a town and like everyone you know the ai was also attacking the dragon and this like townsperson got the like cinematic kill against the dragon where they like jump on the head and like stabs their like uh, rusty iron dagger and kills it. I'm like you totally stole my glory but like well done yeah Skyrim not, you've, you know it you've heard about it you probably played it as much as we have but I think it's it's one of those things that is so like obvious that it oddly goes ignored you know what I mean yeah no absolutely it's it's the uh, Uncharted 4 of 2011 <laughs> right but it's interesting because I haven't like and maybe because I was you know this came out when I was like 21 in college. It was like not as much time spent doing other things. So like I remember the splash this game had. It was such a like national event. Few games have had this kind of poll where like everyone was talking about it and playing it. Yeah. Really, really. I just remember, I remember the years of lead up in marketing also. Yeah. I yeah. Just so much. We, we can't talk about Skyrim forever, but uh, I'd like to. What's the next game? The next game is Spell Tower. Oh, yeah. Spell Tower. It's a game by Zach Gage. Uh, I would say that this is maybe the one that like turned him into like a breakout 
developer, um, Zach Gage, New York City native artist and game developer, uh, made this game called Spell Tower for iOS uh, in collaboration with Merriam-Webster's Dictionary. Uh, wow, and he I love that. Made it specifically because he didn't enjoy playing word games um, on any device. Just thought that they were boring and lame, and was like, "I'm going to try and make one that is fun." Uh, and he sure did. It's an incredible game, meticulously designed, beautiful from like color palette to uh game design still holds up still great uh he is still constantly updating it with new shit spell tower is awesome uh and if you are a fan of word games i would highly recommend downloading it hell yeah i'll check it out next up we got marvel versus capcom 3 i love this game i think this is kind of uh i don't want to say swan songs i'm sure capcom will bounce back but like they were really killing the fighting game scene in this era uh between super street fighter 4 marvel vs capcom 3 this game was an excellent follow-up to marvel vs capcom 2 which is probably the pinnacle i still think that's my favorite marvel vs capcom game which is oddly its own series at this point but um that game had such brilliant art direction really good music my favorite character select music of all time is in Marvel vs. Capcom 2. Did you ever hear it? No, I don't think I have. Oh, it's it's just one lyric repeated over and over again. It's, I want to take you for a ride. I want to take you for a ride. It's so good. I've and listened then they to took it on that and turned it into a whole video game, and that's where the Persona franchise came from. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, if you had to plant the seed of an idea, Persona would be, I want to take a photo ride and like a copy of Oedipus or something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or, or some kind of like, you know, mythology and teen angst. Yeah. Uh, but um, <laughs> Marvel vs. Capcom 3 was a really good sequel and really cool art design, really good roster of characters. Uh, my team was always Hulk, Amaterasu, and Dante Great. which felt like cheating but they rocked um, and it was just a lot of fun uh, it was a very kinetic game uh, it was one of those fighting games where like once you get started you, it's hard to get a defensive move in so like mm -hmm. It could be a little frustrating, but like I feel like this was the competitive fighting game of the time, um, and I really love it for a lot of reasons aesthetically and just as a game. It was super fun to play, even if you weren't playing online or whatever. Like it was fun to play with friends. Really good time. Yeah, really, really pretty game. I uh, never played it, but uh, have watched a lot of it being played. And yeah, that's what I saw. Beautiful Joe's really in game. it. You can't forget him. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Yeah, true. I should get um, back into fighting games. I'll make that my mission for season three. That'll be my season three mission. I love yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. Into the Aether three. Battle Dukes hardened. Up. Dukes up. Battle, oh yeah. Dukes up. <laughs> Love that. Yeah, absolutely. Dukes up. Oh it my still God. has the regality to it. That's that's season three. We figured it out. Dukes up. Dukes up. Okay, cool. Uh, one hour and 20 minutes into this bone ups episode. <laughs> Settled on the name. Anyway, next is Game Dev Story. Um, the first like really major hit by a developer that goes, I think, often overlooked in these kinds of conversations, but like is just amazing. They're called Kairosoft. Do you know them? No, I don't. Um, they have made this exact game like 58 different times since this. It is a very like small pixely game where you are essentially just like choosing from a list of like game genres and consoles that you can develop a game for. Um, and pretty much it just like dumps it into a black box algorithm and then tells you if the game is good or not. Uh, and based on that <laughs> is how well it sells. Um, and based on how well it sells, you use that money to then like hire more people for your staff and build your game studio and make it bigger and bigger and bigger. It is just an incredible game. Uh, they have since gone on to make like Hot Tub Story, 
and or like not hot tub story but like uh, uh, sorry hot springs story where you're like running a hot springs and like a cafe version of this and like a mall version of this and every time they add more and more mechanics onto it and they are all very good games i would recommend like pretty much every kairosoft game but if you're going to play just one it is absolutely game dev story uh it is a game that has been ripped off like a billion times because it is so good um and uh it's available on ios and uh definitely definitely play it uh if you haven't it is so fun and cute and weird and uh great that sounds awesome i definitely check that out what's on again ios you said yeah hell yeah very cool um a a version of this game that a lot of people may have heard of if you haven't heard of game dev stories game dev tycoon the two get um Mm, mixed up a lot game dev tycoon is just a straight blatant ripoff of game dev story gotcha Um, gotcha but uh yeah awesome it's really good next up dark souls (laughs) uh i don't think i've heard of this game (laughs) This is kind That's of not like even a funny at, joke. That's a really stupid joke. At at this point is like up there talking about Skyrim, which is kind of amazing because I didn't play this game when it came out. I feel like a lot of people didn't fully appreciate it until later. It was definitely the sleeper hit of this year. Yeah, I would say it wasn't until Dark Souls 2 came out when I started to hear all about Dark Souls 1. But talk about giant influence for a decade. I think right up there with Minecraft, Dark Souls has had a profound influence, even even outside of games that call themselves souls alike, I think Dark Souls is almost a weird Feywild reflection of Skyrim. Where Skyrim is yeah, a game totally. where you are you are the chosen one. Everyone knows you're the chosen one. You are in this open world where you can do anything, and eventually you get to the point where you can do everything successfully. Dark Souls is a game <laughs> where you are told you are shit, you are shit, and the game <laughs> constantly pushes you into a pile of shit. Yeah. Um, You experience the story that has already happened. And that's I've used that phrase a lot, but that's the best way I can describe it. And and that's what I like about it is like you are putting the pieces together kind of like Limbo through the environment and through like the mood. And I think a lot of these games, Dark Souls 1 especially, get noted for the difficulty. But the thing that stands out is just the attention to detail in the environment, the art direction, the score, the enemy design. The boss fights that are oddly tragic once you get to know who these characters were. And that's something that I think defines this story, especially with Dark Souls, is like you're playing a game that was once like Skyrim. Mm -hmm. The game begins with a, a fantastic battle between gods and dragons. And now you're dealing with what's left. And what does the game look like once the fantastic battle has already happened? And it's Dark Souls. And how much more powerful is it to prove that you're the chosen one when the game is constantly telling you your shit than being told from the get-go? Very different. I'm not saying one is better than the other, but this feels like a cosmic reaction to Skyrim. Yeah. And I love it. I love it. Especially Wild, considering they came out in the same year. But yeah. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and this... Uh, can't talk about dark souls without mentioning like this is building on the bones of demon souls um which was like a pretty successful version of this but what dark souls had that demon souls didn't was a world that was so meticulously designed that it felt like uh it felt like a clock like it literally felt like a pocket watch where like every piece was placed perfectly uh and and just everything was interconnected in a way that was like constantly surprising but also made complete sense like anytime you unlocked one path from one place to another it was like holy shit i can't believe this is connected oh yeah and then when you run back through there it's like no absolutely they're connected and then you can almost start to predict those moments in the future and they pay off and they are equally exciting when you predict them dark souls is ridiculous and i don't think it's the first of the genre i would honestly and this is probably not a hot take but i would call it a modern metroidvania where i feel like symphony of the night and 
Super Metroid were both huge influences. This is just 3D. Yeah. It has the same kind of concept of like starting with nothing, getting powers back, traversing an environment that kind of unlocks itself to you over time. And the strength of those games is the environmental storytelling. And that's what a lot of Souls-like games miss is like they focus on the boss names with like cryptic descriptors like the forgotten or something and they give you campfires but they don't do what dark souls does where it gives you a really compelling narrative through the environment through the characters yeah that's what the strength of the series is and if anything the difficulty is more of a point of tension honestly i think it pays off truth be told i think it's all these games are games that make you play how they want you to play it it's not a matter of being good or bad it's learning what they want you to do but i can see this pushing a lot of people away who would otherwise enjoy it. So like, yeah. that's a bigger discussion. I think it would benefit from having a difficulty slider. Um, yeah. This is a thing we've talked about on the show before. Um, but I think, yeah. I think we're both in favor of that, but yeah, I, I think speaking personally about, about dark souls and, and just linking it to like past things, um, that masochism that I enjoyed from super meat boy. Uh, this was like, what if you took that exact experience and then turned it into a triple a adventure RPG? Um, and that's what dark souls became. So it was like, so poised for me to love when it came out. And I ended up not, I think visiting dark souls until right before dark souls two came out, if I'm not mistaken, um, because I had to review that for a site that we both both worked for. And I wanted to get like the experience of the first two games but uh, still, like, loved it when I first played it. Um, yeah, for sure. Really great. I used to have uh, a poster. It was, like, a really beautiful artist rendering of the entire world that was, like, a, like oh, a long, so like, cool. tapestry poster um, on my desk or in my cubicle uh, at an old job I had once. Um, I do think, yeah. by comparison, Dark Souls 1, alongside Bloodborne, the later Dark Souls and Sekiro does feel, like, clunkier with the controls, so that might be harder to get into. However, I do think it has the best, like, world design and still and yeah. like how how you unlock areas and find shortcuts and all that like that's still the pinnacle of the series in dark souls one yeah for sure and the game has since been remastered and is available on like pretty much every platform uh there is mm-hmm. also a version on the nintendo switch that says it's remastered and is absolutely not but you can still play it on the nintendo switch <laughs> if you want to yeah i have it. it's fine it's like the novelty of having it on the switch is enough for me to enjoy it but right. it's but if not you've never played it before it. it's yeah. still a great way to play that game absolutely yeah it's definitely better than playing on my dying xbox 360 i'll say that yeah um hey <laughs> hot take um uh, yeah steven tell oh, me yeah. about your next game this oh, is next your next he- game specifically i want to mention it is i i've never played this game to completion i played maybe like two to three hours of it total and enjoyed them but i've never really uh done the whole thing oh wow yeah it's, it's interesting how the list like we said it's not entirely like brendan slash steven it's uh there's some games that are like on both of our behalf and and like you said some more towards one of us and this is obviously that for me yeah bastion is the debut effort of super giant games uh we've talked about their games a decent amount on the show i think we talked about pyre for one episode yes um, yes that was their most recent game other than hades which is still in beta but Ugh, that's like out. i want to play that so bad yeah me too i was hoping it was going to come out this year but you know I hope that comes out on Switch. I I, ugh, yes. I hope so, too. I feel like the Switch support... Uh, Transistor and Bastion are both on Switch, but not yeah. anything else. Oddly enough, I think Pyre would be the best Switch game. Uh, mm. Like, the way that game is structured, it's like half visual novel, half, like, rugby. That'd be yeah. great. Because <laughs> the Switch is made for two things, if you ask me. 
uh, anyway, Bastion <laughs> is a wonderful game. This, I think, alongside Limbo and Braid and a few other games like that. I know Braid was first, but this was like, in my mind, the pantheon of like early indie games that made that term a household thing. Mm. Um, the first time I heard the term indie game was in like 2007 from my friend who collected vinyls. My friend Chris, give you a shout out. Uh, and he he's the one who showed me Yumi Nikki. So that's what I thought an indie game was back then. And that, mm. that ruled. Yeah. Yumi oh, Nikki's totally, great. Yeah. But that's like cursed forum indie game. This is like, this got distributed. <laughs> this is not, <laughs> this is not a cursed flash drive being passed around by like your cool older brother. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> Bastion is a third person action game action rpg if you will isometric view really beautiful art style um a really interesting genre of fantasy i want to say it's like steampunk adjacent but they had a lot of influence from uh stories of mark twain the the narrator is based off of mark twain oh wow and, i didn't uh, know that that's great yeah because eventually you meet the narrator like as a character and they're kind of their says, characters Hi, i'm mark twain <laughs> it's a little it's a little on the nose logan cunningham is the voice actor he's worked with them a lot super giant does an incredible vocal performance if nothing else the narration um which the narration of this game coincides with your actions yes. so like uh and and it's in a world where there has been this giant calamity called the calamity and you're up in the sky and the environment kind of falls in front of you as you discover it. It's a lot like the only thing I can compare it to is like in a lot of dream sequences in video games, there's like you walk down a path and the road is like constructed surreally in front of you. Mm-hmm. It's like that, but for the whole game, the whole it's not a dream that, sequence, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is cool. And often one of the first gags with the narrator is you fall off and he goes, then he fell to his death. Nah, I'm just kidding. And you yeah. come back and like lose some health. Um, And the fact that the narrator, like, he's narrating the story as you play. So you're getting exposition and some kind of world building while the action is not being taken from you. But oftentimes the narrator is just commenting on what you're doing. And it's a really cool mechanic um, that's really just so well executed with like an amazing vocal performance. Not to mention the soundtrack to this game is unbelievable. Darren Korb does uh, the soundtrack for all Supergiant games and like really unique music uh, for a video game. I, I saw an interview. Actually, our, our old colleague Karen uh, interviewed Darren uh, for our old website, and he said something about how like a lot of video game scores are either orchestral or like, you know, more techno. Uh, mm-hmm. And he wanted to put in music that like he would want to hear. Um, so like, there's a lot of rock. There's a lot of like Southern influence as well. There's one song that has like a banjo with like a really heavy bass backing. It's really cool. Uh, yeah. Brusher Patrol. It's my favorite song. This was honestly um, like, like Bastion. I, so I, I played it a little bit when it came out, but this was kind of the beginning of me starting to really click into indie game soundtracks as like not only a thing that I enjoyed, but a thing I wanted to make, which kind of led me down uh, a path that I don't know if I've ever really talked about on the show, but I, I will get to for uh, one of the games in this year and one of the games from next year but anyway hell yeah but bastion yeah. bastion soundtrack i have listened to more than i've played bastion <laughs> probably same even though i played this game a lot yeah. um and it's a really it's a really nice story it's uh it's loose on the narrative and kind of a dark souls way where like a lot of the story is through the environment and through the narration and honestly through some of the item descriptions um you can change out like there are a lot of different melee weapons and range weapons you can switch around um and there are a lot of tonics you can choose which like give you different passive abilities 
Uh, there's a lot of customization, which makes repeated playthroughs kind of very viable. Um, I'm talking about this as if it's a bolded one. It was very close to being one of my top five of the decade. Yeah. But it's easily one of my favorite games, uh, you know, in a, in a bigger list. Uh, I mean, th- that always changes dependent on the mood, you know. Yeah. But Bastion's wonderful, really influential game for me, and really beautiful storytelling that doesn't take the action away. A standout moment is, like, you have a choice near the end where you can, without spoiling too much, like, you can kind of, like, choose to show mercy to an antagonist, and, like, the enemies just sort of watch you as you do this self thing uh, mm. it's a really beautiful moment and there's a lot of moments like that throughout the game i'd recommend checking it out and uh going in blind is probably the best way uh it's again it's it's a loose narrative you're not going to have any like profound twists or like direct plot but just the presentation and the and the tone and everything it's a it's a great experience yeah worth noting i guess for nobody because it's no longer a valid thing but i just got it for free it was free on iphone like recently <laughs> oh, yeah like a week or two ago, it was free. So I picked it up. So I just downloaded it again um, with the intention of going back and checking it out. Um, oh, for real, cool. For real, which I'm excited because I think it has controller support on iOS, which would be great. I could see it playing well on an iPhone as well or on mobile in general. And yeah. That's the thing. This game is on everything, like literally. So you can get it anywhere. Yeah. Uh, I think my second time trying to get into it was uh, it, w- it was the beginning of Google experimenting with um, letting people play games in Chrome before like... What is, what is it? I just forgot what it's called. The, the Google thing. I just came out. Stadia. Stadia? Before Stadia. Um, <laughs> like way before Stadia was like, uh-huh. you can play Bastion in your Chrome browser, which was wild. Uh, and that's probably the most I played it, honestly, was in there. But anyway, Bastion. Cool game. Bastion. Very cool. 2011. Uh, next up, we got a big one for you. Yeah, this is uh, the first on on my selection. Uh, this is The Binding of Isaac, a game by Ed Mc, uh, Edmund McMillan. What? Uh, the second time we've mentioned him already. Uh, he yeah. released a game in 2010 called Super Meat Boy and then immediately followed it up with, I think, a masterpiece, um, The Binding of Isaac. Binding of Isaac, based on uh, both Spelunky, a game we will talk about, and The Legend of Zelda, is a top-down roguelike dungeon crawler that is just like absolutely disgusting i think in like every way i have tried showing this game to people in the past and they will like recoil and say no thank you like just just purely (laughs) based on the visuals which i understand um the binding of isaac i think goes hand in hand to me at least with like me getting into podcasts and starting to listen to music like really, really, really intensely. Sure. At a certain point, I had completely like disconnected from what was happening visually. And I was just playing the game almost instinctually because I kind of knew everything that could possibly happen. Um, yeah. And that made it like my first ever podcast game where like this was how I could ingest like audiobooks and podcasts and music and things like that. Um, and play a game kind of mindlessly, but still have a great time. For me, really, it was kind of the first blush with with the roguelike genre because I hadn't played Spelunky yet. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, the Binding of Isaac, just just an unbelievable, unbelievable game uh, from that very first Flash version that was released on Steam. It was already just like so wild in its scope because it seemed so easy it's just okay you're in this room there's a bunch of enemies you shoot you are literally a character if you've ever played it you're literally a character named isaac who is locked in a basement you're trying to escape this basement that your mother has locked you into um you know there's a lot of uh 
a lot of reading into the narrative that you can do if you feel like it. But anyway, uh, you're literally shooting your tears at the enemies, uh, and that is how you <laughs> attack and hurt them. Um, and as you make your way from room to room, it's pretty much just like a gamble of, okay, how am I going to take these enemies out and take the least amount of damage? All of your health and stuff will just carry over from room to room to room. And while that's happening, you will also start to unlock different kinds of items, um, which will modify your abilities. Maybe it'll make you cry faster, so you shoot tears at a faster rate. Maybe your tears are bigger now, and they do more damage. Um, maybe something fucked up has happened to your eye, and now you shoot blood out of your eyes instead of tears. There's about, I don't know, multiple hundreds of different items that can exist, and uh, they all work with and against one another. So you can get really wild combinations of items that will either like help or hurt you in different ways. And like part of learning this game, a la a Dark Souls or something like that, is like figuring out which of those synergies are good and bad for you. Um, walking into a room that has an item on a pedestal and saying, actually, I'm not going to take that thing uh, is sometimes a better move for you than taking the free thing that is being given to you, uh, which yeah. kind of goes against like everything you would think going into playing any kind of video game, especially one like this, where you think that survival at all costs is, is the thing that matters. Um, and that like any item is good for you. Uh, that is not always the case in Binding of Isaac. I think there's a world in which every item can be good for you if you're good enough at the game. But, you know, it, it's very much like a uh, give and take in terms of in terms of risk reward. But anyway, you play through, you know, an entire floor. They always end with like a big boss, which you will start to learn like which boss which is always different. It's procedurally generated, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so it changes it up. Yeah. So each floor is <clears throat> is um, an assemblance of like I think a couple hundred different rooms that can exist yeah. per floor. Every two floors, you switch like themes, kind of like um, kind of like Splunky. Actually, it's it's exactly the way Splunky works. Uh, so like you're in the mines, and then you're in the jungle, and then you're in the ice level. Uh, but in this case, it's just like deeper versions of the basement that you're in. And you continue to make your way down uh, until you get to the bottom and then you fight mom, uh, who is represented via just like hands that reach out from doors, uh, a big shoe that will just like drop from the ceiling, uh, a giant eye that's attached to a wall uh, that will open up and scream at you. Um, it's really wild, and I just remember playing through this game, beating Mom for the first time, thinking that I was done with it, and then the game being like, great, do it again. You just unlocked more items that are now in the basement, and you unlocked a different character that you can now play as that has different base stats and different whatever, and realizing that like beating that game for the first time is literally like not just that's not scratching the surface even that is table stakes to play binding of isaac is to beat it once wow and that i don't know it just unfurled into me playing like no joke like over a thousand hours of this game <laughs> that's awesome um, between the flash version and then the the re-release that came later uh rebirth in which they redid all the graphics in like a pixel art style rebuilt the whole game from the ground up so it wasn't in flash anymore uh because uh apparently they wanted to add more items but like flash was literally in capable of handling the amount of stuff that they were throwing at it so they needed to build the game from scratch and then all of the all of the updates that have come after that the binding of isaac is a game that i have gone back to so many times i i honestly can't even keep track of it um i have bought it on every single console that i own that it is available on iphone vita uh 3ds which was the wildest one because nintendo at one point said no you can't put this game on here and then eventually they they relented and now it's on there 
Um, I'm surprised, yeah, because it, it's like we haven't touched on that really, but it's it's based on a Bible story mm-hmm. that is literally called the Binding of Isaac, where in the Bible as well, uh, in the story of the game, the mother receives a message from God that says, like, if you're truly faithful, you'll like kill your son, basically. Yes. So that's like the setup for this game. Mm-hmm. Not really a Nintendo-esque <laughs> yeah. brand there. Yeah. Yeah. Really wild to be playing Animal Crossing and say, I'm going to take a break and then jump into the Binding of Isaac. And play as a crying fetus with pink eye to fight my mom. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's a bit of a leap. <laughs> um, but yeah. I'm I, not exaggerating. <laughs> no, not at all. That is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can't overstate how much I love The Binding of Isaac and, and how much time I pumped into it and how brilliant I think the design is. I think I mentioned this either on our most recent episode or maybe earlier in this recording. I honestly don't remember already. But uh, there is a prequel that just came out called Legend of Bumbo, which I haven't been able to play yet, but I'm very excited to check out. Um, oh, cool. If it's like anywhere close to the quality of Binding of Isaac, I'm going to be a very happy person. But yeah. I can't I, I did not highlight Spelunky or Rogue Legacy or any of the other roguelikes that I played wow. um, in the 2010s because the Binding of Isaac is like the one that got me into the genre as a whole. Uh, and and I, I, I have to I have to give credit where credit's due. Binding of Isaac. Yeah, it, an amazing it's a great game. game. I'm surprised it got the the highlight over Splunky, but the way you pitched it makes sense. Yeah. Um, it's a great game. I wish I played more of it. We played it together once, way back when. I remember you said my character looked oddly hip, because usually you get very grotesque. Like, I just found like cool glasses and that's it. So I just like <laughs> cried with sunglasses, which is kind of my brand. Yeah. Um, yeah, Binding of Isaac is great. I, I might, I, I've, I'm always close to picking it up on Switch, so maybe we can uh, do an episode about it one day in the future. Oh, yeah, um, I'd love to. Yeah. That'd be cool. Um, sick. Next up, we got To the Moon. Yeah. Did you play this? I haven't. You recommended it to me, and I need to. It's a visual novel, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I was a little bit hesitant about putting this on the list, but I so many people talk so fervently about how much they love to the moon um it's a game that i have played just worth mentioning i played it when it came out but uh it, it has lasted for years and years like people constantly go back and talk about it and point to it as like the visual novel you have to play because it really is like the one good game that was made in rpg maker that i can think of um it was like i think undertale was oh was as it really? well and oh. yumi nikki Qu- quit shitting on yumi nikki it was that was rpg maker not not yeah. um uh shit what is it game maker um uh, let me look this up uh yumi nikki was rpg maker um undertale was not i looked it up Uh. anyway moving on um to the moon is a uh very similar weirdly to like an eternal sunshine of the spotless mind uh kind of thing um where it's about two like doctor-esque figures who are going into <laughs> i'd be so not confident going in for a checkup with someone who was doctor who was a doctor doctor-esque i kind of know my shit here take these i have an approximate knowledge of many things you um, might have strep throat i don't know <laughs> that's what webmd is basically it's like i don't know it could be serious <laughs> um, anyway sorry anyway it, it's it's these two like kind of doctors uh in in this strange future <laughs> where uh they are going into the mind of an old man on his deathbed to like retrieve some memories for him so he can relive them uh, before, oh yeah very eternal sunshine yeah. yeah before he passes um and and it is just like a really 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 beautiful story um and there's like 
almost no like gameplay in the traditional sense um i i would i would weirdly compare it to like um a dear esther or like a firewatch or gone home kind of thing but in Mm. a top-down pixel art um presentation it's a beautiful game um and is usually available for like a dollar on steam uh so oh cool highly recommend checking it out but it it has just like really lasted the test of time um and there have been two sequels i think since uh, neither of which I've played, but I've heard great things about it. And they're all coming out on Switch soon as well. Oh, hell yeah. I will definitely check that out. Yeah. To the moon. Uh, got only a few more for 2011. Uh, strong year so far. Yeah. Uh, next up Have you played got, any of these ones? Uh, I played one and three quarters of them. So don't worry. I'll chime in eventually. Okay. Tell, uh, wait, tell, well, me, tell me about the one that you played. I played Portal 2. I sure did. Wow. Um, what a great Portal game. 2. I like it a lot. Um, I really love the first one. I think overall I like the first one more. But Portal 2 was a really good sequel. I think the reason I would say... I mean, Portal 1 came out in 2007, I believe. So it wouldn't be on this list. Um, but Portal 1... One felt like kind of a bait and switch. It was part of the orange box. Mm-hmm. It felt like because the orange box was Half Life Two uh, or Team Two. Fortress it was two. the latest. Well, right, but it was like Episode Two of Half Life Two, Team Fortress Two, and and Portal. Yeah, Team I- Fortress Two and Portal. Orange Box is basically Valve being like, sorry for the wait for Episode Two of Half Life Two. Here's Team Fortress 2 and Portal as well, which ended up becoming arguably even bigger titles. Um, yeah, totally. Team Fortress 2 for like a decade was the, the I mean, that was one of the few shooting games I got into. I really liked Team Fortress 2. Pride or Overwatch kind of taking that genre and moving it forward. Yeah. And Portal feels like kind of just a fun puzzle game that was also thrown in. And then it becomes this like very darkly comic narrative about overcoming a like a 2001-esque AI. Mm-hmm. Um, so Portal 2 is kind of leaning fully into that where like the comedy is on full display. They got a lot of big voice actors like uh, Stephen Merchant. And I always say, I always think J. Jonah Jameson before the actor's actual name. J.K. Simmons. Oh my God. J.K. Simmons. There you go. It's similar meter there, yeah. but it's a really great game. It, it definitely has a lot of great puzzles. Um, it's really funny. It's really well written. It's it's good. It's just there's not really anything interesting to say about it. It's just a fun time, you know. At least that's my take on it. Yeah. No, I'm kind of with you. I I was just yeah. really fucking impressed by it because I so expected it to just be another series of of rooms with puzzles in it and. Uh, it ended up being just like a really great story. Uh, yeah. And and I, th- I think you're right. I, th- I think it's worth highlighting because we mentioned this before, but like it's a very funny game. Uh, and and it is. so infrequently are games just trying to be hilarious. Yeah, it, it, it works. Unabashedly. Absolutely. And I think it's a good sequel because it builds, it makes the world bigger. I think this could have easily been like, you know, I think what makes Portal 1 special is that kind of bait and switch. And the fact that you kind of already know what you're getting into and 2 could have lessened that. But it stays pretty fresh throughout the whole experience and, and arguably is like a better puzzle game um, for yeah. how intricate some of the stuff is. For those unfamiliar, uh, you have a ray gun that shoots a blue portal and a green... Wow, I, I like it called a ray gun. I mean, you're right, but I've never heard it called that. And, and it's great. What would you call it? I don't know, just uh, just a, a gun. It's a gun that shoots portals. A gun. It's not a gun. It's a ray gun. It's a ray gun specifically, yeah. No, uh, it. it shoots blue portals and orange portals, and one will lead... It, it's a, it can kind of throw you off uh, spatially at first, but wherever you shoot the blue one, you'll end up 
where the orange one is leading out. Um, yes. If you leave them directly under each other, you kind of just fall infinitely. Um, it's kind of one of the more creative endeavors in the engine that Valve built for Half. Because I feel like Half Life Two is one of the first games to have like gravity and to have like a physics engine, mm-hmm. and this is sort of like literally experimenting within that with a futuristic ray gun that mm-hmm. shoots portals. Um, <laughs> but that's Portal 2. I think we can probably move on. Uh, sure. It's funny. It's fun. You get a ray gun. Um, I will say this. Uh, I used to work at a blockbuster that um, the Jonas Brothers went to all the time when they weren't together <laughs> anymore. Okay. Like the Jonas Brothers were on hiatus at this point. Um, and I remember Portal 2 came out and one of the Jonas Brothers, I think it was Joe. I don't know them. I don't know the three of them. Like Joe's known to be the biggest gamer of the three. I Is think he? that's his brand. Okay. I don't know. It's not. <laughs> I just, I would love it. I love that was true. <laughs> You know what? Hey, anyone who listens to this show, that's a rumor we're starting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Joe do the do Jonas loves gaming. <laughs> yeah anyway i just remember hey dude you have portal 2 he came in he came in the day portal 2 came out and rented it immediately and i was just like that's awesome all right jonas brother i get it (laughs) i also rented it that day me and me and the jonas brothers have something in common it was an exciting i think of all the games that were in orange box i think portal was the biggest hit overall um at least critically yeah um tf2 probably the bigger player base but yeah um definitely definitely a signature of the decade for sure yeah Portal 2. And kind of a bummer that there's still not a third one. Like, why not? That's just Valve's thing. I know. Hanging it, too. I know. It just sucks. Yeah, it's a bummer. Maybe one day. Super Brothers Sword and Sorcery EP. Another (laughs) game from 2011 that I fucking love i love this game so much i i honestly haven't checked in a long time to see if it's still available in a playable sense on iphone i hope it is i know it's out on steam and things like that but anyway this uh this is an incredible uh indie game in which you are an adventurer who gets a sword um and just has to do some classic questing but it is told in the like most kind of like bizarre off-putting fantasy world it, it is gorgeous <laughs> and like scary all at once um yeah the the like looming specter of an enemy that you have to fight is just like a big like shadowy figure kind of like aku from um samurai jack in that way but it's just like a, oh yeah like a scary deer head on top and it doesn't make any noise it just changes the music to like kind of heart pumping terror it's uh it's it's a really like kind of obtuse game that asks a lot of you um Insofar as there are there is, I, I think, at least one, if not more moments in the game where you literally have to wait in real time for a full moon to happen, like in real life or else a door won't open in the game. Oh um, my God. It is extremely inventive, like constantly. Um, yeah. I just found myself so surprised by it. And this is this is one of the games that for me, like really, really, really clicked via its soundtrack. I just remember um, it was like, I, I just remember sitting really late in my living room. I was, I was in the band that I was in at the time and we all lived in a house together. And I just remember plugging my, my, I think my iPod touch maybe, cause I don't even know if I had an iPhone yet into like our really big speaker system. So I could listen to the music like as big and bombastic as possible while playing awesome. this very small pixel art game on my, my phone or, <laughs> or iOS device. 
but uh this was one of those moments where i was like i think i want to start making music for video games was oh cool just from hearing the score of uh sword and sorcery um i want to go back and play this game now that i'm talking about it again uh i i can't recommend it enough it is so interesting and and the writing is so fascinating there's there's one three words that will stick in my mind forever that i constantly think of are cosmic friends forever uh, which is a thing that one of the characters uh, <laughs> says to you after you help them with something. And I, I love it so much. Super Brothers. That's so cool. Cool game. Yeah, I've I've only watched a close friend of mine play a lot of this game. So, But I can definitely echo a lot of your sentiments there. We should definitely revisit it, though, and talk about it in the future. Yeah. Um, I swear I played most of this list, just, just to, to reassure the listener <laughs> that I'm not going to be like, cool, sounds great. Anyway, uh, I played Final Fantasy nine. Um, <laughs> um yeah, Last Super Brothers is cool, but um, what I really want to talk about is Batman Arkham City. Batman Arkham City, uh, the sequel to the 2009 hits Arkham Asylum. That right? sounds correct. 2009 sounds yeah. correct. Batman Arkham City, uh, take everything that you loved about Batman Arkham Asylum. Um, great writing, great performances, really, really, uh, really interesting combat for the time. That was like kind of a new and fresh oh, take yeah. on on like melee combat in a video game. Take all of that and then put it in the thing that you actually wanted, which was a fully open world. Um, <laughs> it wasn't totally Gotham at that point. The I think the conceit of the game is that Arkham Asylum gets so many inmates that they need to sprawl out into like or like reclaim a piece of like a, a broken down piece of Gotham. So it's like it's not all of the city. It's just some of the city. Weird, weird technicality there. They eventually went on with with uh, subsequent games to like do gotham city but but batman arkham city was like let's take everything that you loved about arkham asylum put it in an open world game and just kind of let you run wild as batman i think the thing that really sticks with me uh, with this game and arkham asylum but but in this game in particular is all of the side quests are like batman as a detective not batman Mm -hmm. as like a physical imposing presence um yeah and and that those moments in video games movies uh, comics those are the moments where i'm like this whoever is architecting this really gets this character yeah because so much of the stuff that you you end up doing in arkham city is so adjacent to like actual detective work it's it's really 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 fun um and to me i think is like them getting it rock steady the developers like getting it right for real for real like arkham asylum was great Ar- arkham city is like maybe almost perfect um I prefer Arkham Knight, the last one that they put out. Um, oh, really? Yeah, a lot of people bump up against that one because of the really bizarre Batmobile shit that happens in there, which, like, <laughs> no denying that is a bad piece of that video game. But I think I think Arkham Knight is, like, the culmination of everything they learned from all the previous games. Um, but all that started, I think, for real in Arkham City. I, I, I love this game. I've played it, like, three times. Like, I've played this whole oh, game, wow. like, th- I think at least three times through. Um, it's great. <laughs> It is great. I I slightly prefer Arkham Asylum, actually. Um, I can definitely see your point of, like, this feels like the more ambitious game, and it feels like a lot of them applying lessons learned to the next title. But there's something about the, like, I don't know. I like the the contained uh there's a term uh for greek tragedies of like there's a contained sense of like time and setting where the whole thing is one place and like one long day or week and like 
that mixed with some of the like because that that game did a lot of cool detective stuff but also really focused on the stealth mechanic um which was also a novel thing when it came out and like the stealth mixed with like the narrow corridors mixed with some of the um more like tense moments with uh with scarecrow and stuff like really worked for me oh yeah um it kind of fizzles out at the end i think uh it almost like ruins the story at the end, to be honest. Yeah. Um, you mean when, when the Joker gets buff, you didn't like when that? When the Joker gets big. <laughs> it's just like, uh, whatever. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do like a, why the Joker should never be big rant, <laughs> <laughs> but it just felt like, wow, they really, this was what they're putting all their chips on. Huh? Yeah. Okay. But it's still a great game. And Arkham city, I think arguably is, is equal to, if not better than asylum. I just liked the setting more, but um, I think you're right in terms of it focusing on what makes Batman Batman and what you want to do when you're playing as Batman. It's the same thing with why Marvel's Spider-Man worked so well, because they focused on what Spider-Man would do, which is like helping people and swinging around. Um, <laughs> I think there were some Spider-Man games that came out after Arkham Asylum and Arkham City that tried to do Arkham stuff and it didn't work. Yeah. Because like no one wants to do stealth as Spider-Man. Like you can do some of it, but yeah. like. You put Spider-Man in a narrow corridor and ask him to look at clues. That's like not his shit. Right. <laughs> you know, weirdly uh, enough, I know, mean, so Marvel Spider-Man does have a lot of Arkham adjacent stealth shit in there. It but- does. And I would argue that's probably the weakest part of the game. Mm. Um, I get that. Yeah. But yeah, it, it, it's still it's a fun variant. But like where that game shines is with the big arenas and fighting enemies in the sky. Yeah, I was just about that's- to say my my thing with with spider-man was always in those stealth moments i would just jump right down into the middle of it just let everybody come yeah exactly i mean I, I i enjoyed them we can talk about this another time but uh in terms of like the gameplay suited to the superhero i think they did a great job in arkham city with batman yeah um yeah we, we talked about how much we like marvel spider-man before yeah and we will again probably when we get the 2018 probably uh spoiler alert um i think that's 2011 that's 2011 uh just to go through it real quick just for fun uh skyrim marvel's capcom 3 dark souls bastion spell tower game dev story the binding of isaac which was the first of brendan's five favorite of the decade to the moon super brothers sword and sorcery ep portal 2 and batman arkham city and just to do 2010 because we didn't review that uh, real quick it was mass effect 2 which was my first uh, highlighted game super street fighter 4 limbo rock band 3 infinity blade civilization 5 halo reach alan wake minecraft super meat boy um you want to take a break before we go to the year of our lord 2012 i do i do want to take a break i'm excited <laughs> about 2012 there's some Me good too. shit on that list Man, this, this whole is, list is good this, this is, is fucking rad shit in 2012 <laughs> i don't know what this is <laughs> I didn't do a voice. I just did me, and it was scary. You were saying the whole list is good. It's a hundred of the best games. <laughs> yeah, we have boy, to stop being like, was... "Wow, what a good game!" <laughs> I will say there is one year on here where I put two things, and you put a bunch of things. So that'll be interesting to talk about. Two years um, in a row. D- <laughs> uh, ironically, those were the years like I had just moved to Chicago. Uh, oh, that was yeah. when we parted. I didn't have your your radiance around me. Let's take a break because I'm I'm getting silly. I'll be right back. Okay. All right. See you in hell. Yeah. No being silly on this podcast. Don't be silly, Stephen. It's 2012, the year the world ended. That's right. Um, I've actually, so the conspiracy, I think it was the Mayan calendar. So the year was going to end in 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, and only John Cusack could save us. Ugh. But, uh, 
there's another conspiracy theory that the world actually did end then, and it's been like a Sims simulation since, um, which I really like. Mm. So, so are we are we are the leftovers? We're we're who didn't get raptured, or what do you? No, think? we're just we're like someone made us in the Sims. Oh, yeah. Okay. I don't. Yeah. I think I'm missing a few pieces of lore here, but regardless, <laughs> uh, 2012. This in was... 2012, the Mayans thought everyone would become the Sims. Right. Yeah. It, the world doesn't end. It just becomes the Sims. It just this becomes the Sims. I just pee on the floor and I can't find the ladder. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 2012. Really cool year for video games. We got a bunch here that mean a lot. Yeah. This is a I'm wild excited. list. This is a really cool and varied list. Not to hype it up before it happens. Live in the present. Kicking it off, I think, and not I think, I know, is Journey. Uh, I put it here. I think this is one that we would probably would have both put here. Um, yeah, I was pissed you put it. I wanted to put it. I wanted this one. <laughs> this was my journey. <laughs> <laughs> this was supposed to be my journey, not yours, mine. <laughs> the antithesis of the game, really. Uh, we talked about Journey a bit on the show, um, made by that game company, their follow-up to Flower, another beautiful game. Uh, this felt like the fully realized idea of what Flower was kind of testing out and still feels like their most ambitious and like uh, spectacular game. We both yeah. like Sky, but this is like their kind of like blockbuster effort, if you will. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, you play as a kind of humanoid uh, traveler in the desert with a long scarf. Uh, really cool design, really beautiful presentation across the board. Uh, another soundtrack that goes like listened on a daily basis by me. It's so good. And essentially it's like a loose puzzle platformer. And there's no dialogue, it's very atmospheric, and it traverses a very typical hero's journey of like looking at a goal in the distance. You have a very kind of ethereal goal. You reach uh, highs of highs and lows of lows, and throughout the journey there are other humanoid creatures that kind of look like you that will help you along the way. And the first time you play it, like, you definitely will think they're there on purpose. They are NPCs to help you. And when you beat the game, you learn the twist of the game is that those were actually real people. You see, like, in the credits, you see their gamer tags. And, and even outside of that, it's a beautiful experience. But that really is, like, what pushes it over when you're like, oh, my God. Like, there were people that, that were helping me for no reason. And, and they were, it felt like such an intended part of the journey. Yeah. Um uh it's a beautiful game. I, I would highly recommend it to everybody. You can also get it on a variety of platforms at this point. Probably not for much. I, I would highly recommend it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was really struck. Uh the the first time I ever played this game, I actually played through the whole thing with the same person. Like it was just I remember you telling me that, yeah. Which I is like the dream. I can't even believe that that's how it worked <laughs> out. But I was I was able to kind of realize that they were a real person kind of early on, um, just because it, I think it was the circle button. If you press the circle button, you do like a little chirp. Um, uh -huh. And it just became evident like pretty quickly because I would do like that, 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 and they would go that, that. It's like, okay, that's probably a real person. That, that can't just be <laughs> a computer. That's so fascinating. Yeah. But uh, just a really beautiful experience. I remember finishing the game and like tearing up, just being so fucking moved by the way it ends. I kind of don't want to spoil it that i immediately started the game from the beginning and played through it again um and i played through the game the day came out like 
I think three or four times all the way through because I was just like a short so, game. Yeah. Yeah. I was just so struck by it. Um, specifically having, I think the, the more normal experience of having different people come in and out throughout the journey, I thought was like such a beautiful allegory for life in a way. Um, yeah, and, absolutely. Like, the whole game is an allegory for life. And again, not to, you know, talk too much about the actual specifics of what happens along your journey, uh, to the big glowing mountain. But, um, yeah, I, I was I was really 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 impressed by not only the idea that you will be communicating with and and meeting new people in a way that is only positive and only optimistic. Um, yeah. In in a world in which already in 2012, like if you were playing a video game on the internet, it was probably a bad experience. I was gonna say like the version of this game that had like. Uh, headset support would be like the worst thing <laughs> like, i don't know if i've ever talked about it on the show but um i i think on sale or for free once somehow accidentally i got uh the uno game that they had made for xbox 360 which was maybe the wildest online community i've ever been a part of <laughs> because they also included the ability to like the card game uno yes yes oh my god they included the ability to add uh, to use your webcam with uno <laughs> so it was just a lot of people getting really close to the webcam just screaming at everyone just oh yelling God. at the top of their lungs and i and i can't like if you can't even play uno on the internet without getting yelled at by someone because you did a draw for like yeah the fact that journey came out and was this like peaceful and optimistic and nice and hopeful <laughs> was like a breath of fresh air I go uno online is like the moral antithesis of journey <laughs> i'm just as surprised as you are <laughs> that whole game is like throwing shit at each other basically like it's not like yeah, you can't don't go give... in expecting it to not happen you i know, know I mean? but don't give them webcams <laughs> I know I'm not condoning the webcam Uno decision, <laughs> which is our band name. Anyway, anyway, God, that is so funny. Yeah, Journey's good. Journey's good. Uno not on the list. Sorry, ne but better luck next time. Maybe next year they'll have a VR Uno. Yeah. <laughs> With webcams, you're all there like as holograms playing Uno. <laughs> what the fuck? Draw four. Get the fucking out of here. Get out of here. Reverse. Uh, uh, good lord um next up after journey hotline miami yeah just like uh, journey um a beautiful artistic oh delight uh, uh -huh. <laughs> no uh hotline miami um great game really fucking brutal uh this came out i think the same year or the year after drive which is like a movie that's pretty much just a meme at this point when it came out everybody really <laughs> genuinely liked yeah, drive and now sure. it's like have you ever heard of this underrated movie drive like, it's okay. become the college poster movie you know what i mean yeah there were no fault of its own but that is sort of sometimes what happens yeah like uh, fight, fight club or stuff like that it's weird to talk about hotline miami in 2019 because i feel like it is also the like college poster video game now but at the time when it came out it was like kind of weirdly revelatory um tackling a lot oh, of yeah. this, tackling a lot of the same stuff thematically that that bioshock was tackling and like successfully tackling um in terms of like player agency and like taking taking the idea of player agency and like embedding it into the theme of the game and saying like hey you're just going through murdering 50 to 100 people 
in about six minutes. Why are you doing that? Yeah. That's a that's a, that's not a normal thing to want to do. Um, and to constantly ask you that over and over again. I think the exact phrase in the game is, um, "Do you like hurting other people?" And they just ask you constantly. And and like the framing of the game is, you are a guy who is pretty much in the drive jacket. Like you almost have the scorpion jacket. I yeah. think it's a skull on the back. Um, There's a special thanks to uh, Riffin at the end credits. It's, oh, really? Which at yeah. least they nod to like, yeah, this is just drive the video game, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it, it, the the framing of the game is you just get a phone call that tells you to go murder people. And he's like, all right, cool. I'll put this chicken mask on. And I'm going to go do that. Um, and then you do um, the gameplay. But, you know, is actually frenetic and really interesting and, and um, like just really well executed. It's it's a fun game to play, not to mention the like stellar soundtrack that I still listen to. Soundtrack is constantly. so good. Yeah, yeah that's above all else that i think is the best thing about this game it is very fun it's oddly based off of the early gta's like pre-gta 3 yes which were top-down games um and it's a game kind of like uh it has the same pacing as like a celeste or super meat boy where you're gonna lose a lot but it starts up right away yeah so you get into kind of a trance of like learning the best route to take through rooms that's why i can see you like it because you're attracted to games that have that like masochistic lesson learning where like mm-hmm. you're going to lose a lot very quickly, but you're going to learn exactly how to navigate this thing. Um, yeah. It is one yeah. of two games that I've ever attempted speed running uh, because, wow. I, because I got so like in the zone uh, learning, learning those rooms um, and, and the fastest ways through them. Um, yeah. Hollow Miami. It's a good game. Uh, we don't have Hollow Miami two on the, on the list, but um I do think that's a game that's worth talking about at at some point. Um, it was kind of looked over when it came out. I think people didn't like it as much as the first one, obviously. But like just in general, I just don't think people like really attached to it. Um, I think it's a really strong sequel, and it's a game about being a sequel and like is bigger better. And like there are some gameplay choices in Hotline Miami Two that I find fascinating, where like they will literally make some of the levels bigger, and that makes it worse, and that makes the overall game worse. And sometimes I wonder if that was an intentional choice or if I'm mm. giving them too much credit. Um, right. But anyway, Hotline Miami, good game. Still. There was there were a lot of games you, you mentioned that earlier of like the idea of putting uh was the term player agency like the idea that you're just accepting what you have to do in a game because the game is telling you it um there were a lot of games this year that questioned that i think another big one was spec ops the line people talked about um, yeah 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 uh hello miami that that kind of became like a meta driving force i think it works in this game because there is like other things you're playing it for than just that twist Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's a cool presentation The the graphics are notably like, you know, uh, I don't want to say retro. They're just like very simple. Um, it's, they it's don't like, it's like early vaporwave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. But even like the, the character profiles look like they're like purposely off putting. They're kind of drawn like, yeah. It almost looks like an adult swim kind of thing, like a. Oh yeah, totally. That's actually what I find like that, and and some of the like really intense violence like make me feel gross playing it. But I think that's also intentional, you know. Yeah. Um. Definitely. And yeah, I think you do get into a rhythm with the soundtrack and like the routes of rooms. It's a cool game. Um. I I would recommend if you haven't played the first one, you have the stomach for it. It's it's definitely worth checking out if only to see the influence it had on on the industry. I think it was definitely a big influence on a lot of games that came out later yeah hotline miami cool game next up we've got the walking dead season one telltale i've not talked about this much on the show no Uh, you haven't 
Rest in peace, Telltale. Thank you for everything. Uh, sad that they went out of business shortly or earlier this year, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a bummer. But Telltale gave us a lot of cool games, most notably uh, Walking Dead. Um, I am not really an especially big Walking Dead fan. I've read a lot of the comics and eventually bounced. And I mean, like, I read the first two compendiums, which are like, <laughs> I think, six volumes each, maybe. Wow. Um, so, like, I basically read 14 trades of Walking Dead and obviously enjoyed it to put that much time into it, but it eventually got to a point where I'm just like, and this is subjective, you know, if you love it, that's great. But I just feel like I got the the message of the series and everything after a certain point felt like just masochistic. I'm like, now it's like literally just like, okay, we're going to meet new people and they're going to die and I'm going to feel upset about it. And like, I don't yeah. know, I don't know like how much longer I can do this. I get that's the point, but I feel like the point has been made already. So the comics I've always kind of had like a lukewarm yeah. uh, relationship with, and I never watched the show. I, I hear uneven things about it and I, I just didn't feel compelled to, but the game is by far my favorite like version of this world. Um, especially the first season I've played the first two seasons of the talk of the talking dead uh of the telltale walking dead games both first two seasons are great i haven't played the later ones but the first one is like a really good standalone like series that that reaches a really nice end note like it's it doesn't solve the problems of the world but you do feel like a catharsis from the story um for context you play as lee everett who is a survivor in the midst of the zombie apocalypse and you pretty early on rescue this young girl named clementine which is a whole game kind of becomes like your moral compass uh, a lot of the game is about making very big decisions usually there's no clear good decision to make it's a lot of compromises a lot of like a lot of them will be timed there's one decision where you're literally holding someone at a great height and you can choose to let them go uh or not and yeah. like that's one of the most brutal I, I did, and it's like one of them. I'm still haunted by that moment. <laughs> art style is super cool. It's it's more reminiscent of the uh, of the early artwork of the comics, a little bit more cartoonish than the more like brutally realistic art of the later issues. So it cuts the tension a little bit, but I just subjectively like it more. Uh, and that kind of became the telltale standard moving forward yeah this game is just really good it, it's simultaneously very heartwarming as well as heartbreaking um there are some interesting action sh sequences that that kind of make it feel a little gamier than just dialogue but i think where it shines is is the decisions i, I think telltale eventually started making games that kind of gave the illusion of choice and didn't really follow through on it but in season one of walking dead like your choices you immediately see the results of them. Yeah. <laughs> there was no shying away from it. And uh, and I just felt really emotionally invested. I think it's a really well done series. Um, if you like games, like I would draw parallels to like Mass Effect or to any game that like gives you big decisions, um, you'll, you'll like The Walking Dead. And I think you don't need to like the series because it takes place in the lore of the comics. So you run into some familiar faces. You run into Glenn and Herschel, but um, it, it's a separate, narrative it's a separate group of survivors and i think it pays off for that and i think honestly like unabashedly i think this is the best like ip in the walking dead series by a long shot i, I think it's great yeah yeah and it's worth noting that um a, a lot of the leads on this team went on to form Camposanto, which then made firewatch yeah um, and are now working on the new half-life game which is wild oh um, wow that's awesome I yeah know that. so very cool 
uh yeah walking dead season one it's uh it's really good uh the gamier aspects that you're talking about are i i think the weakest parts of it um oh I, for sure i was so yeah. into the dialogue and the decision making that i anytime it was like you have a gun now i was like i don't want that actually <laughs> um, it adds to the tension though because like no one there is like equipped to do that i definitely think you're right i think it's like you know it's the dialogue is what you're there for but i think it, it can make some moments feel like tenser and and add to it a bit um, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't think we have any other Telltale stuff on our list at all. So I just want to give a quick shout out to the other two Telltale games I really liked. Wolf Among Us, really great. Yeah. Um, surprisingly enough, Batman. Uh, really I hear great good. things about it. Yeah. That was their last game, wasn't it? I think it might have been. Um, yeah. Yeah. Batman, you play as Bruce Wayne almost all of it which is a really radical choice uh, and super pays off. It's cool. Yeah, I, I know the comic series that Wolf Among Us is based on Fables, but I have not played that one. I did play season two of Walking Dead. I would recommend that one as well. Um, and that one you play as Clementine, which I actually really enjoyed. I, I enjoyed the, you know, because in the first season, she is the one who is like kind of the the moral, more like the pure lawful good moral character who's like will react to your decisions. And then to play as her, there's a moment in season two where there's a scene between Clementine and a dog and a can of beans. And that to me could be The Walking Dead as a series and it would be better off for it. Like that mm. one scene as a short film is exactly what the series does well. And it could be just that. Um, yeah, it's great. Uh, I, I, I really it's not a hot take. This is probably their best like this is the series that put them on the map, The Walking Dead. This yeah. is also probably the height of both The Walking Dead's popularity and like zombies as like a relevant thing. That's you know, this is kind of the thing I wanted to mention is like yeah. when The Walking Dead season one came out, I was already like, I'm done with zombies entirely. <laughs> and I played it mainly because um, just people talked about it like nonstop. And I was like, I feel like I need to check this out. Yeah. Um, but I, I was so and am still completely done with zombies. Like I am so burned out on that as like an idea, as a genre, as whatever. Um that uh yeah, it prevented me from playing another game that we'll be talking about in the next year. Uh, that you have highlighted. But anyway. Uh, I wonder what it is. Yeah, Walking Dead Season 1. Uh, very well-written video game. It is. I, I would I would still recommend checking it out. I think it's still a profound experience. I love it. Yeah. Um, ooh, another big one for you. Uh, this is highlighted. Fez, baby. I'm shaking yeah. my whole desk. Oh, wow. That's the most pumped up I've ever seen you. I you, love, like, transformed. I love... I just went Super Saiyan. I love Fez <laughs> so much. Hell yeah. Um, Fez is uh, a game by Polytron, uh, developed by Phil Fish, a person who is very much under the radar these days. Uh, but yeah, Fez is um, just an extremely good indie game where you play as a uh, small being named Gomez who uh, gets a magical Fez that allows him to uh, turn his 2D world on its axes uh, and and reveal uh, that it is a actually fully 3D world. And who boy is it like almost perfect, I think. I yeah. love Fez so much. Um, what I what I really gravitate towards in this game, beyond just being absolutely beautiful uh, and having one of my favorite, if not like my favorite video game soundtrack of all time by Disasterpiece, I, I love that this game is so open to you exploring it in any way you want. There are literally two ways to beat this game. 
and you can mix and match them uh, however you want. The idea is you're collecting these little bits of, of, of a cube. Uh, and when you get, I think it's either eight or 16, of, I think it's eight of them. When you get eight of them, it creates like a bigger cube. And and those bigger cubes are, are how you unlock different doors that allow you to go into different areas of the world. And that's how you progress the game is by getting small bits of cubes and make big bits of cubes and getting a bunch of big <laughs> bits of cubes to progress. It's um, weird because Walking Dead Season 1 is the same way. It's exactly know, it's, the same, It must same, have yeah. been a zeitgeist at the time. Also yeah. the Disaster Piece soundtrack in Walking Dead. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Sorry, continue. Uh, what, I, what I love about it is that you can either get those small bits by just exploring the world and just seeing what the world has to offer, or alternatively... Every cube that you can make has an equal and opposite uh, anti-cube. So there are these big yellow cubes, and then there's these super secret, super hidden purple cubes. I thought, going into this game originally, that I was one kind of person. I thought I was the kind of person who was just going to explore the world and get the yellow cubes, and I was going to be fine with that, and I was going to see the game, and I was going to love it. What I learned about myself as a person is that I love puzzles. <laughs> Love puzzles. Um, and well, you, when you said that, I heard three octaves of you at once. That was that was amazing. <laughs> I was obsessed with getting all the purple cubes. The anti cubes I thought oh, yeah. were the most like compelling wild shit. And and I I committed myself to getting all of them. Um, and it included me doing a thing that I had always heard about people doing because you and I were born just after the era of this needing to be a thing but I like literally needed to bust out a pen and paper and start to write shit down and start to like keep track of things as I was seeing them um this game no joke teaches you an alphabet a new way to do math that like only exists in this game and you find it throughout your course of of play it is just amazing what this game accomplishes and I love it to death it is so pretty and wonderful, uh, and in tandem with Super Brothers Sword and Sorcery EP is the reason I started making music for video games. Um, it's it's an achievement. It's 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 fucking art. I love Fez. I love Fez. So good. That's so cool. I'm so happy that it inspired you in that way. What's next, Stephen? Uh, next up, I'm gonna say something on behalf of this game that's also reflective of the entire list. The master works all, you can't go wrong. Uh, it's Dragon's Dogma. <laughs> um, I know that's corny, but I had to. No, it's good. Um, I'm glad Dragon's you Dogma is a game that we made, and I won't take any other answer, uh, as it's, uh, as canon. Um, we did not make a Capcom made it, as did major figures in the Monster Hunter and Devil May Cry and Resident Evil series. It's like a super team of Capcom folk. And they made this bizarre Western RPG that you and I love uh, that many probably <laughs> won't and will not and didn't. Um, and shouldn't. And shouldn't. Like, it's morally irresponsible to love and, this game. And can't. And can't. I really wanted to put it on the list. I put it on the list for both of us. I, I figured <laughs> I had your blessing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, I think, truth be told, I think it is, uh, there are a lot of big, this was a very big decade for uh, Western RPGs in particular. Um, I think JRPGs get their revolution towards the end of the decade, um, but in the beginning you got Skyrim, uh, Dark Souls, and uh, now you got Dragon's Dogma. And honestly, I would put that up there with them. I think they're all doing very different things. I think Skyrim is the the influence Skyrim had not only on RPGs, but just like the AAA open world game. You see that DNA everywhere. 
you see that in Witcher 3, you see that even in Marvel's Spider-Man. Like, it's just, that became, like, the new blueprint for that type of game. Yeah. Um, that's a game where you can explore the world, and the world, for the most part, is going to meet you at where you want to be met. Um, it's a pretty uh, it's a pretty adjustable game. I feel like one of the big design choices of Skyrim versus Oblivion and uh, Morrowind was that rather than kind of pre-making your character to be set to a very specific skill set, you're just going to get better at whatever you end up doing more. And that's kind of Skyrim's whole feeling. It's like, whatever you end up doing is going to feel right. Dark Souls is a game that wants you to do something very specifically and if you don't do that, you will lose over and over again. Mm -hmm. um, there's still freedom in how you explore and how you overcome obstacles, but it is a game that has a very strong sense of of how you are supposed to overcome things. And a lot of the thrill of that game is learning that and overcoming it. Um, in that way, it's very much like a modern Metroidvania of like overcoming a knotted environment. Like even the world itself is a puzzle that you kind of have to learn and navigate through. Um Dragon's Dogma is like a DM that finished writing a Dungeons and Dragons campaign and left the table. And like, <laughs> <laughs> and you just have this fully written thing, but no one's guiding you. And like, you might end up at the wrong area at the wrong time. There's, there, there is that sense of difficulty that Dragon's Dog, that Dark Souls has, but not the direction because you might just fall into a pit full of really strong lizard men. Mm -hmm. You might, cruise through a few easy quests uh, there's a quest i brought up in the episode about dragon's dogma where you have to literally catch a thief with your bare hands and throw them over your yes. shoulders and bring them to an end uh this game is like a hot mess in the best way possible i fucking love it i think it's great it's not without its issues obviously uh this is kind of a caveat filled this is the first game on the list that i think we've like had just a, a opera of caveats for but I think it's worth pointing to in terms of like having an open world RPG that does feel predetermined. It feels like there are things set in place that are ready for you or not. And the best you can do is just sort of like explore and see what happens. It's not about winning or losing. It's about experiencing. I think there's a lot of beauty in that. Yeah. 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 If all of the games we're talking about in 2012 are a mouthful of like shining white teeth, Dragon's Dogma is like is the missing tooth. <laughs> it has so it adds so much character, you know, it does. It absolutely It's not does. a shining is... white pearly tooth, but by not being that. It's just as special, you know? It's got a bizarre narrative. It's, it is the most, I have played almost every Final Fantasy, and this is the game that has the most, like, harsh left turn in the last act I've experienced. It's not an especially good story either. There's really nothing here that I could point to for why it's keeping me there, other than the beautiful big environment. Really fun combat. Credit credits to, like, the class system and the pawns really pay off, yeah. like, recruiting these NPC characters that you make one of that other people have made that you like basically have like an adventurer's party of four the whole game and as you do quests to learn about that and if other people hire them they're going to help them with those quests so like again it, i think the analogy of a dm that has left the table is most fitting because like you just have to make make things work with other players um yeah. it's a fun experiment within the genre and i think i think it is overlooked but i also think it's you're totally right to write it off if you're not enjoying it <laughs> 
and whether or not you'll enjoy it, I don't know. It's another one of those cilantro games where it's like, you might love it, it might taste like soap. I don't know. It yeah. really is a coin toss. But Dragon's Dogma, I had to put it on. I love this game, and I think it deserves to be here. I completely agree. I'm glad you put it on the list. Next up, oh my god. Yeah. This is a big I'm, year for you. Yeah, it's a huge year. Holy shit. Uh, uh, Spelunky. Yeah, Spelunky is uh, a perfect video game, and that's it. <laughs> is that really all you want to say? Kind of, but I should say more. I uh, mean, Spelunky is one of those games, like, a la, and a game we'll probably talk about in 2017, that is referenced so oftenly as, like, a point of comparison, usually mm-hmm. in a positive way, Yeah. that I feel like if you melted our show, it's like an eighth Spelunky or, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and me trying not to bring up three houses. <laughs> <laughs> Um, um yeah yes yeah, Spelunky um a game by uh Derek Yu Moss Mouth uh, is is the name of the development team I guess but um yeah it's it's uh th- this is the sorry the 2012 version is the remaster that came out on Xbox Live um and has since been ported to just about everything um I think except Switch but the second one is coming out on Switch so all good Oh cool but anyway uh it, it's a game in which you are a uh kind of Indiana Jones-esque figure uh going through randomly generated uh temples it starts off in like just a a classic mine and then you end up in a jungle and then you're in like an ice level and then you're in like a like an actual like evil lost temple uh and then there's a big boss at the end and the game is excruciatingly difficult and and really makes you learn exactly uh kind of every permutation of what is possible like it is it is another one of those games where you will learn by dying constantly it's a roguelike Mm -hmm. worth mentioning yeah uh, I don't. I don't think I mentioned that, but it, it it is a game where every death will teach you how to avoid dying in the future, and maybe after um, hundreds and hundreds of those, you will make it to the end potentially. It is a game that is so wild in how perfectly crafted it is. Like it is hard to even talk about mechanically. Um, I I think a, a good way of maybe talking about it is by comparing it to the Binding of Isaac, in that like Binding of Isaac is based pretty heavily on Spelunky's game design um, in terms of both the way the difficulty ramps up, the way there is like a very base selection of moves. It's jump. You have a whip that you can use. You have a couple bombs that you start with and a couple ropes that you start with, which you can use to climb up higher if you like fall down into an area that you need to escape. But uh, Spelunky also has a bunch of shops and items that you can get um, that have different strange synergies with one another. Unlike Binding of Isaac, there are only like 20 total in the whole game that you can get, which means that it is like a very small and learnable selection of items that you can pick up and and, and start to use. Uh, and you will very quickly learn which ones are or are not for you. Some people love the climbing gloves. I'm one of those people. Some people hate the climbing gloves. Some people are like, if I have a jetpack <laughs> and a shotgun, I can beat this game. And some people are like, if I have a jetpack, I am going to launch myself into a fucking trip mine in the ice level uh, and die. Um, yeah. Uh, there's so levels. many yeah so many variations of things that can happen um and just like my experience with binding of isaac the way this game ends is you beat the final boss and find out that that is absolutely not the final boss at all and there's about 18 billion different things that can possibly happen you might 
start a level and it turns out it's it's completely pitch black and you have a torch and you have to carry a torch through it if you want to be able to see your way through uh some levels will start and just be like whoops filled with snakes sorry just this time it's filled (laughs) with snakes and sometimes you will find i don't know the head of a worm that you can jump into and the worm can eat you and now you're in a level that's a worm and you have to try and make it through the digestive tract of a worm and make it at the other end the game is full of surprises uh so far as there is an entire section that is hell you can just go all the way to hell if you want um <laughs> and and fight the devil so like there's a lot going on in Splunk. similar to that's the venn diagram of binding of isaac i feel like yes absolutely the devil yeah yeah th- there's a lot going on in Splunky. um it is a game that i have a hard time recommending to people outside of um those who i know will put in the time to figure out why it's great um it takes a really long time i think to click for some people um who i've showed it to in the past uh but if you if you put that time in you will have one of the most rewarding video game experiences you could ever have can't sing his praises enough oh yeah Spelunky yeah. remastered yep 2012 so fucking good uh <laughs> Spelunky 2 sometime next year apparently wow it's gonna be a bi- next year's gonna be big yeah gonna it was be gonna another... be this year and then got pushed uh and i'm kind of glad it did because holy shit there's a lot this year i'm excited for our 2020s episode yeah it's gonna uh, be fun we, yeah anyway um next up here we got persona 4 golden i hate um, this game you hate it no i love this game all right, I don't good. know why I, I thought put, that was a funny joke. I put it for both of us. Persona 4, uh, the original one, came out in 2008 for the PS2. Uh, and then it was... What what the series has done since 3, I believe, is they will re-release a game with like a bunch of additions. Kind of like an enhanced or expanded version of the original. Um, and that was Persona 4 Golden for the Vita, your favorite system. Yep. Uh, that's so why I bought I the Vita. Yeah. It this came was, with The Walking think, Dead Season 1, by the way. Worth mentioning. Oh, did it? Yeah. <laughs> the Vita was, that was the, it had a passionate following for for games that were like visual novel-esque, uh, mm-hmm. which I would say Walking Dead Season 1 and Persona 4 Golden are both yeah. uh, arguably close to. Worth mentioning, um, by the way, the just to sing the praise of the Vita even more, the one that I had was the original Vita, which had the OLED screen, which meant that the black pixels turned off. So it was like actually like pitch black with uh, in conjunction with Persona 4's like absolutely ridiculous graphic design um, just made like the most gorgeous display I'd ever seen in a video game. Like it's so pretty on the Vita screen. Wild. Anyway. Yeah. So uh, I actually played this game after the fact. My first Persona game was Persona 5, which we may or may talk about later. Oh, okay. I guess if we have to. I'm a mayor and I may not bring it up. What is this? Um, loved that game so much. I went back in the series and I checked out four. Four is great. This was, I think the first big hit in, in the West, at least. Um, this is a series that was like slowly released, uh, outside of Japan. Um, I don't think we got the first one right away. Uh, and then the second one was re-released later. I believe three was the first one that, the u.s got and that was a big hit like within the rpg scene but four i think really made a big splash this was like for lack of a better phrase this was like the final fantasy 7 of persona this is the one that had so many spin-offs of its own that it felt like another series that was started yeah um so uh it's a really cool game it, uh, like you 
like you foreshadowed earlier, the design of this game is ridiculous. It is the series in overall is known for like a very stylish aesthetic, really cool soundtracks, uh, most notably starting with three. Um, and since three, they've chosen one color to kind of base their whole palette off of. So yeah. three was blue. And that game is a really cool soundtrack. Uh, the design, not as striking for me, but for the entire soundtrack is like really, really catchy J-pop. Um, the palette is yellow, but on top of that, because the, the main plot is basically you are new to town, you're from Tokyo, you're moving to this kind of uh, rural, small town, and there are murders that are happening. It's like a Scooby-Doo murder mystery. There's a lot of Scooby-Doo parallels. Like, if you look at uh, the protagonists, Yukiko, Chie, and Yosuke, it's very much like a Fred, Shaggy, yeah. uh, uh, you know, there's, there's parallels for all those characters. They're very different, but you could see the influence. And they learn that... The something called the midnight channel where at midnight you're going to see the victim before the murder happens. They also learn that you can go through the TV to another dimension, which is where they find their personas, which this game is actually the, one of the few persona games that goes into what personas are, which I enjoy. Um, they are like repressed. Everyone in this other realm that you go through the, through the TV has another side of them. Um, it's like your repressed side, your id basically. Yeah. Um, so everyone has, has what they what they call shadows uh but if you can accept your shadow kind of like celeste if you can accept and like cherish your other side that's inher that's seemingly negative you can then wield it as a superpower so i bring up all the tv stuff because a lot of the design is like retro tv like rainbow gradients and like just really cool like it's a really neat aesthetic yeah. Um, and the whole game's theme is self-acceptance. And I think that's that's the thing that rings like above all else. There are some missteps. It's a it's a 2008 RPG, um, most notably. And I think the series does this a lot. There are so many things that Persona does that are like really novel and really brave for a video game in 2008 to do. And then also shoots itself in the foot. Um, there's a character who is openly struggling with his sexuality and his identity and the moments that are between you and this character are really beautiful and really well done. And then they have scenes where they make fun of him for it. So like it creates a weird tone, especially because the game is all about accepting yourself yeah, and right. accepting others. And that by the end, that rings above all else. I just wanted to bring that up because like it does stand out based on what the rest of the game is trying to do. That being said, this is, I think, arguably the strongest cast in the Persona series. All the characters are really lovable. Um, I liked Kanji, especially who's the character I just mentioned, um, as well as Rise, who is like a young idol, basically. So like her life as a celebrity versus who she is in town and how she like like a lot of her uh, side stories where you get to know her one on one are about like who is actually the real me. And that's a common theme of the game is like the truth and identity, which is kind of paralleled by the murder mysteries. It's a really beautiful game. I really felt like I fell in love with the whole cast by the end of it. And I think while it does have some like problematic missteps, I think that the fact that this game was exploring those things at all is is really cool to see, honestly. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I'd love to hear other people's opinion on that, but I think it's cool to point out to a game that was like adding, adding those types of internal conflicts, like with etern with, with equal weight to what's happening in the main plot. I think it's really, really nice to see. Yeah. Um, so Persona 4, anything yeah. else to add to that? No, literally nothing. No, it's great. 
<laughs> it's a great game. I, uh, I mean, I, I've, I've talked about it on the show many times. Not a huge JRPG person. Persona 4. Loved it. It was great. Yeah, it's, it is the most, even, uh, 5 is, is a more, uh, 5 has so many quality of life improvements, like, as a game. But there's something about the cast in 4 and the setting and, and the A plot that's, like, a little bit more inviting right away. And it gets, I, I will say the big thing about going from 5 to 4 is that it's notable how much more free time they give you right away. Like, mm-hmm. the game kind of kicks off way sooner than it does in 5, which I, I think I appreciate. But I also appreciate, like, getting set up to succeed, because I think if you don't know how to play these games, it might be overwhelming at first. Yeah. Um. So, Persona 4 Golden, really great, not a hot take. Yeah. Um. <laughs> moving on. Uh, right, you gone? Yes. You... Super okay, Hexagon. Cool. Um. Another. I. Can't, it's weird to think that this game came out in 2012. I. I've been having that with a lot of the games that mm-hmm. um are on this list because I'm. I haven't really talked to you about this, but I've been going back and like replaying some of these games ever since adding them to the list. Like just like oh, kind cool. of checking in to see what's going on with them. Uh, Super Hexagon is one of them. Um. I like so 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 vividly remember playing this game and thinking like or like when I look back on it, I think of it as like a formative game for me in terms of like figuring out what kind of stuff I like uh, specifically because I remember sitting in a bar showing it to a friend of mine uh, and and him saying that looks horrible <laughs> <laughs> Um, so Super Hexagon is a game where you are playing as a small little triangle and there is a closing ring of hexagons that have one open gap in it. Uh, and the, the game is constantly spinning around in a circle and has just really, really like hardcore techno music playing. Um, and it opens up and it goes super hexagon and then it just launches (laughs) you into it. Um, and it is, it is just like a fucking nightmare gauntlet arcade game um and it starts <clears> off the the difficulty modes are i think like hexagon hexagoner hexagonist uh and then like super hexagon um and it's my the, favorite pokemon yes the the base difficulty is really hard and i was like i am going to unlock and beat all of them and and that that is why i remember this in such like a vivid and and fond way uh is because that same friend was like this is so your shit is to have a game that seems so stupid and impossible and say i'm gonna beat that thing i'm gonna finish this yeah yeah i've done it time and time again but super hexagon is like the most distilled version of it um beyond just being a good game like i i'm i am kind of talking off how difficult it is and how like how it's some kind of like iron wall that that can't be climbed but it's a game that is like well loved it's by um i think the guy's name is terry kavanaugh who also made a vvvvv oh Um, yeah yeah like he's good at his job makes good video games uh super hexagon's one of them and you can download it on your iphone i recommend doing that hell yeah i love Uh, that super hexagon ridiculous soundtrack ridiculous soundtrack it's so really like every game in 2012 has had an amazing soundtrack maybe not dragon's dogma um but again it's the missing tooth of the list it's not gonna It's like fine. I don't remember the music of Dragon. Other than the intro, uh, I don't remember the music of Dragon's. Hard to forget anyway. the intro. Yeah. Yeah, it's so good. Next up, uh, my last entry for 2012: FTL, Faster Than Light. Um, yes. This is the closest I've come to having like a podcast game or a game that I gravitate towards 
while something else is happening. Um, I played this game so much. I beat this game. I beat the final ship, which mm-hmm. very few people have done. I think I'm one of like 30 people uh, <laughs> on the you whole, know, in the whole planet. On the, no, but for real, like, and and this is a game um, made by the same developer who makes Into the Breach uh, subset games, I believe. It is a over the, over the top uh, space exploration game where it's a roguelike, not unlike uh, Slay the Spire, where there's kind of a map and a bunch of different points you can go to that all represent different things. Some of the points will bring you to an event where it's like another spaceship asks for gas. Do you give them gas? And it will play out from there. Most Mm -hmm. of them are battles with other ships. Very heavy tabletop influence. Um, I would recommend absolutely play the tutorial for this game. Um, You need to going in because there's a lot of things they don't explain. Yeah. But it is such a good game. I still one of my favorites. I'm surprised. I mean, it's tough to limit it to five, but I, I easily could have highlighted this one as you explore the galaxy it's always procedurally generated kind of like uh, uh binding of isaac where like every galaxy is a floor and it has kind of a different theme like you might end up in a galaxy that's controlled by the rock people or you might end up in like right. uh there's one that's like just full of like storms where, like no one can communicate with you and this game throws a lot of stuff at you you lose more often than not but it's always so different that it's never like it can be frustrating, but it's always fun restarting because you end up with a different crew and a different ship. And I I'm someone who always fills in the gap with like, if you give me a little bit of character, I'm going to make my own stories. Mm-hmm. And like I end up getting really attached to the crew and, and, you know, like it plays out so differently each time that that's what I think makes it not feel frustrating. So it's like a really much it's very much a new adventure each time. It's also, I think, the only sci fi game I've played where you're not the rebels and the rebels aren't the good guys. You're a Federation (laughs) ship that's delivering a package and the rebels are chasing you. So that's actually like the one kind of ticking clock is that every few jumps you do, uh, the rebel fleet is catching up. And if they catch up to you, you're kind of fucked. Like their ships are real good. Yeah. And you you have to basically like if you run out of gas or if they catch up to you, like it's a really bad scenario. Also, incredible soundtrack. Uh, really cool. It's so good. Yeah. M- minimalists. Very. It, it evokes the sci-fi mood perfectly. And and there's kind of a cartoony like design and tone that kind of keeps the tension light. Um, it's not as dour as into the breaches where you're like, you really feel the weight of like every death and, and, and the event like FTL cuts the tension a bit more. It can still be brutal. Like, you know, losing oxygen and having your whole ship suddenly catch on fire. And that's also what I really like to say. There's a lot of different ways to navigate and a lot of ships that you unlock. There's a lot of different ways to die in this game. <laughs> Pretty much. But, um, a lot of the ships are, are tailor made to certain strategies. I really liked the uh, one of the races are called the NG, which are these uh, like AI robots that are really good at repairing stuff. And their whole ship is like very heavily armored and just has drones do everything. Um, and yeah. like I found that I beat the game with that ship and I found that ship really helpful. Um, it, it struggles with offense, but I found that like I, I was like, okay, if I want to start with the ship, I want to prioritize finding weapons early so the later game won't be as much of an issue. Um, whereas the Mantis ship, which are like the more uh, like aggressive prey Mantis aliens, they're all about boarding. So they have a thing in their ship that lets you like actually send your units to an enemy ship and you can kill that crew rather than having to destroy their ship. So, and there are benefits to that. And there are also obviously downsides to that. Mm-hmm. There are, 
everything is so like there are so many variables even within that that it makes replaying this game exponentially fun and even just talking about it i would love to revisit it um the only reason i really bounced is because i lost my save data when i got a new laptop and i had unlocked like i unlocked the secret crystal alien race ship like i had the crystal ship mm-hmm. um you get a ship for beating the the last at the like the ninth galaxy you always fight like the flagship of the rebels and it is so hard it it has everything and you have to have like at least four shields to stand a chance um i beat it and if you beat that ship you unlock a federation ship that's real good that just has a giant laser that just goes off automatically it's so it's so good and and i i got a new laptop and i lost all that and i i cried but ftl highly recommend if you like into the breach the similar vibe into the breach is a lot more strategic not that this isn't but this is so up to chance at moments that it's more about like yeah. it's more about the tabletop experience than it is about like uh really thinking strategically um if that makes any sense yeah, totally. Yeah, I just to double down on one of your points in there, there is a lack of tension because of the soundtrack and because of the art style and because of a whole bunch of things. I all I always found myself like zero percent anxious, completely chill, completely relaxed until like oh, yeah. four seconds before everything goes to shit and I'm done. It was <laughs> always just like quick. Like, yeah, like, it, it was always like, Oh yeah, I'm yeah. having a great time. Oh, oh, that's on fire. Oh, I lost. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then it was done. <laughs> and you'll get a message like, losing is half the fun. I'm like, eh. My whole crew that I grew very fond of just died of like no oxygen. Yeah. <laughs> they added an expansion for free that was so, like they added a whole new alien race that just drain oxygen if they're in a room. Jesus. Really cool. Yeah. Um, is it They've us? added a lot to the game. Huh? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you say, is it us? Yeah. <laughs> We do that. Honestly, you can make the Brendan and Steven ship where we just scream at you. and I just meant humans, but I do like the idea of it being you and me. (laughs) Anyway, that's FTL. Um, I really love it. I'm glad I got to talk about it because we both liked Into the Breach a lot. And I think that they both are incredible games. Yeah. Let's talk about another game that involves being in space uh, and being on a team. That's right. You guessed it. It's Space Team, another iOS game. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, man. Did you ever play Space Team? Do you know what Space Team is? No. Okay. Space Team <laughs> is is a multiplayer-only game for iOS, local multiplayer only. You have to turn on your Bluetooth and Wi-Fi on your iPhone to be able to play this uh, with other people. Everybody has to have it downloaded. Uh, and the way it works is a bunch of, uh, like, a, like a big, like, slimy control panel will show up on your phone um and you will get an instruction that'll be like twist the 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 jeezer snap to 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 six and you just have to say that out loud and on somebody's phone somewhere there is a a slimy control panel where there is a jeezer snap that can be twisted and it has to be twisted to six and you pretty much just go you and everybody in the room with you who you're playing with are all just yelling out these absolutely fucking bananas commands to one another that may or may not make sense in an attempt to get your spaceship from point a to point b without like falling into a wormhole or like flying directly into the sun or like (laughs) doing whatever just by 
yelling out these commands and trying to uh, trying to accomplish them without fucking up. Uh, and the further into the game you get, the harder it'll get as well, where like pieces of your panel will just start falling off and you have to like pick them up with your finger and then hold them in place and then use your other finger to like screw the screws back in so you can get the button back to where it's supposed to be so you can uh, press the button that somebody's yelling at you like, you need to press this right now or we're going to fall into a wormhole. It will literally just start oozing slime at certain points you have to wipe the slime away before you can like <laughs> crank one of the cranks or something it is purely ridiculous and it is some of the most fun i've ever had playing like a local multiplayer game like that because it is entirely based on you cooperating with your friends uh and everybody being so okay with saying the stupidest thing you possibly can out loud and not only saying it but screaming it at the top of your lungs <laughs> um, when things start to get dire it is it is like the comedy version of ftl it's the comedy <laughs> multiplayer version of ftl um and it is awesome. so fun and i'm always so surprised that there aren't more games like it because it was such a huge hit when it came out and i just haven't i haven't seen anything like it except for really like jackbox like jackbox is the closest yeah i was gonna say it sounds like a jackbox party game yeah uh that sounds fun yeah but uh space team's great i love it I love and, that. I, and i want to play it again at some point and that's 2012 a lot yeah. of space a lot of space in 2012 a lot of space a lot of good music and Dragon's Dogma. <laughs> <laughs> we love Dragon's Dogma. Uh, you want to take a bit of a break and move on to 2013? Yeah, so many games in 2013. Oh, yeah, dude. It's a big year. How many See do we have? Then? 15. 15 games in 2013. Wow. 15 games in 2013. Anyway, see you then. Goodbye. The year is 2013. Steven is still living in New Jersey, and I work at Starbucks. And he and I meet behind that Starbucks to talk about Fire Emblem Awakening. That's so true. This is the year where our friendship really skyrocketed. Yes. Um, I had just graduated from college, and I was in Jersey. And this is I was interning at an art gallery in New York. It's a very interesting year. Mm-hmm. Um, I like how we're giving a little bit about us each year. It's kind of fun. But yeah, we for sure met behind the Starbucks and played Pokemon X and Y and Fire Emblem Awakening. Mm-hmm. Awakening is the first game on the list for 2013. I put it here. I think this probably represents both of us, though, I would say. Would yeah, you? this is the first Fire Emblem game that I enjoyed. Not enough to really play a lot of it, but enough to play some of it. Yeah. Is, this is the first Fire Emblem game I played, and I adored it. It was, uh, we mentioned the site we worked for that year. It was my game of the year, because I only had a 3DS, partially. Mm-hmm. But I still, uh, no, 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 no. It would definitely not have been my game of the year if I had a PS4, and I'll get to why. Um, <laughs> but I love Awakening. It is definitely now a little bit overshadowed by a more recent entry, uh, Three Houses. But I think Awakening was intended to be the swan song of Fire Emblem but ended up being like uh the rejuvenation the series needed i mean it was the first one i played so i don't have a lot of context of what came before but i just thought this game was wonderful it it was a really fun strategy game i really liked the permadeath mechanic i i found myself you know the plot is simple but i i found myself invested in the characters enough that i cared about what was happening Mm -hmm. and the big twist of awakening is that eventually it shifts to uh you are playing as all the kids because i think the mechanic this game introduced was pairing characters up so they could fight alongside each other and some characters would end up getting married and then they would have kids that alongside Lucina, who was Krom's daughter from the future, everyone's kid from the future came to help out to prevent the like 
cataclysmic event from happening. Yeah, it's a it's a very I always do chunks comparisons. That's the apt metaphor there. Yeah, totally. Um, but it's an exciting twist. It's it's like uh, in Three Houses, the time jump where everyone comes back and is older. Like that's the feeling you get when suddenly you meet all these this new generation. Right, of right. Heroes. The the excitement of seeing the characters in Three Houses all grown up is the equivalent of seeing what the different children are gonna look like in in Awakening. Yeah, yeah. and there's a lot of fun with it. Like uh, Mary Bell's son is this weird punk priest named Brady, and like she's very like proper and fashionable, and she's like, "Ew, this is my son," and he's like, "Mom, that hurts." <laughs> like I came back from the future to help you. Yeah. So it's a, it's a really good game. I think Three Houses is still simultaneously the best entry point and the best game in the series, in my opinion, of, w- of what I've played. I've played Fates, Awakening, and Three Houses. But Awakening is a fantastic game, and I think it's still solidly my second favorite in the series, for sure. Yeah. It's yeah, it's extremely good. If you have a 3DS and you haven't played a Fire Emblem game, this is a good one to start with. I'd still recommend it too. If if you got into the series through Three Houses, I think you'll appreciate seeing where the series was beforehand. And there's enough that Awakening does uniquely to it that it's worth checking out. Yeah, totally. Um, Awakening, love it. Yeah. Uh, moving on to uh, your list. Yeah. Um. So. <laughs> uh. Yeah. Actually, let me start with let me start with a different one than the one that is technically yeah, queued up. Yeah. Go in any order you yeah, want. Um, the spreadsheet's chaos. The the first game. I want to talk about for 2013 is Towerfall. Um, it mm. is um, a game by Matt Makes Games, who eventually went on to make uh, one of Steven's favorite games of all time, Celeste. Um, oh, yeah. Towerfall is a four player, multiplayer, Super Smash Brothers kind of like 2D pixel art battle game. Um, in which um, standard rule set, we'll just talk about standard rule set for the time being, you and up to three other people essentially have three arrows that you can shoot at one another. If you get hit by an arrow, you get killed by that arrow. You can, while you're in the air or while you're on the ground, press one of the trigger buttons to dodge. Dodging also allows you to catch an arrow, so you can catch arrows that are shot at you in midair. Uh, or if you're on the ground, you can dodge into an arrow and then catch it. Uh, and then that adds it to your quiver, so you can keep shooting. When you shoot an arrow, it gets like lodged in the side of the level, so you can then go and pick up the arrow. So it is essentially about managing your ammunition, being cognizant of where everyone is at all times, uh, dodging at the right time, jumping at the right time, and and deciding when to take your shot. Um, you can also jump on people's heads to kill them, and that is like that is like yeah. standard towerfall. Is just like that act. Um, it it at first when you start playing, it feels a little bit clunky and a little bit hard to grasp. But the more time you put into it, the more uh, or, or the smoother all of those edges become, uh, and it all becomes second nature, and it becomes like one of the most fun uh, couch multiplayer games, like competitive multiplayer games I've probably ever played, like outside of a Smash Brothers game. I yeah, I also love Towerfall. I don't know if we've talked about it together, but um, I have this on multiple systems. Uh, I think I got it again on the Switch because you can play as Madeline and her doppelganger yes. in the switch version which is great yeah. but this is i i play mostly the cooperative mode um which is sort of like the main adventure mode mm-hmm. and like that is so much fun it's a hard game but it's accessible enough for like if you have a friend over or a couple friends over like you're gonna all be determined to win this game yeah. like they give you just enough room to succeed that like you're gonna like there's so few mechanics that I think that's what makes it so accessible is it's it's jumping and shooting, mm-hmm. you know, and um, the music is great. The presentation is lovely. You can see what went into Celeste later, which I like. But yeah, I, I adore Towerfall. I'm glad you put it on here. Yeah. 
Yeah, really fun. Um, it's worth noting also you can go in and customize the rule set a whole bunch um, and add a bunch of things like special items and like shields that block you from arrows or like wings that allow you to jump higher, um, different kinds of arrows that do different kinds of things like bomb arrows and arrows that are like heat seeking missiles and things like that. Um, the rule set can get really, really, really wild if you wanted to. But uh, just that like classic Towerfall rule set is so fun. Uh, and so smooth. There's only one thing that would make it smoother, and we will talk about that later. But first, tell me about your next game. <laughs> I'm wondering what to do next. I'm going to be chill and do something a little bit less intense. Uh, Super Mario 3D World, <gasps> one, of the, yes. one of the biggest hits of the Wii U. Because this is we're in the thick of the Wii U era here. This yeah. is the year of Luigi, where Nintendo lost $500 million. <laughs> <laughs> We forgot to mention that. Um, <laughs> and of course, Luigi Luigi's World is not on this list, sadly. Uh, but Mario 3D World is. And talk about a good couch co-op game. This game is so much fun to play with friends. Oh, my um, God. Yeah, this is. So it's Mar It's named kind of oddly because when I first heard it, I thought it was like one of the new Mario Brothers U games or whatever, like the like that series, which is also very fun. But Mario 3D World is the mainline Mario entry for the Wii U's generation. Yeah. Um, Kind of a kind of building on top of um, a game that we didn't talk about, but a game that I loved from 2011 that was called Super Mario 3D Land, which was a 3DS uh, Super Mario game. Um, this yeah. feels like a fully realized version of what that was. Oh, yeah. And this is following in the footsteps of uh, Mario Galaxy 2 for the Wii and preceding Mario Odyssey. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of in a weird, weird era for Nintendo. I don't think it gets the credit it deserves. Um, it I is completely like, agree. It is a montage of every Mario genre. And like, it is just such a joyful time and so masterfully crafted. We talked about this comparing to Odyssey. I prefer Odyssey, but I think like if you want like sort of a akin to Celeste almost, you know, following those footsteps of like just a masterfully crafted platformer. Um, this is hard to top um, and it is so much fun to play with friends and uh, it is so chaotic in the way you want it to be. You, you, they added the cat suit in this one where you can climb on walls and stuff. Mm -hmm. You can play as Mario, Luigi, uh, Peach and Toad, obviously. Yeah. And I think Rosalina and Waluigi too. I know Rosalina. I and don't know about Waluigi. More. That was a dream I had. But Rosalina is a there, dream I that I have constantly. Yeah. <laughs> but Mario 3D World is like such a joyful experience. Um, I would recommend it to any Nintendo fan. If you missed the Wii U, I really hope they port this to Switch one day. That would be like my dream. Me too. Um, yeah. This but... game is is um the the secret of Mario games. The secret of like successful Mario game design is the idea that uh, the developer of whatever level you're playing is going to introduce an idea early on in the level and then explore it as much as possible and then immediately ditch it when you're done with that level. So every level that you're <laughs> playing will be a new thing. And that mm -hmm. that has been true since since uh, Mario 64, like even in the 2D Mario's like that has always been prevalent um, right now, like. As of us recording this, Mario Galaxy 2 is still the highest rated video game of all time on Metacritic. Um, really? Yeah, I think because it is so successful at that. Um, what I find really interesting is that Mario 3D World kind of just like removes the removes the like artifice 
of like a Mario Galaxy or a Mario Odyssey um, and is just like completely barefaced. This is exactly what we're doing. Every single level is just a new cool thing. And then you're moving on to the next one um, by breaking it out into levels instead of having like a large world that you're exploring and like jumping into what may or may not be levels. Um, this game is just like very uh, upfront about what it is and what it contains. Yeah, and for the, that reason, I think is maybe my favorite 3D Mario game, like of all of them. It's um, a really I, good one. I love it. Like I said, the the craft of the platforming here is is, I think, top Mario, which is my screen name. Uh, but um, Mario. Uh, <laughs> anyway, the overworld map is just like kind of like Mario three or Super Mario World. Like you know, like you said, levels. There's no like artifice. The term you used. I like that sense of adventure. That's an Odyssey where you're exploring like a bigger environment and finding things organically there. But I see what you mean. Where like, if you just want the core experience and like no. No waiting for that. No cutscenes with Bowser. Like, (laughs) this is the one to play. There's no story. There's no pretense of anything but platforming. Yeah. Uh, which like oddly is is my point of tension where like, I I just marginally prefer Odyssey, but Super Mario 3D World I think is arguably one of the best, if not the best, and I enjoy it quite a bit. And it's on yeah. the list. I'm glad uh, we're not talking about either the Mario Galaxy games because I feel like I would upset people with my opinions on those. <laughs> They're fine. I had fun with them. I kept just my one nod to Mario Galaxy is I was 17 when it came out. I had a friend over for Christmas and. <laughs> He was on the phone with his mom, just like, "Hey, I'm still here. Things are good." And we kept going, "No, no, 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 you don't get it. Mario's in space." We just kept saying that over and over on the phone. Anyway, that's my galaxy take. Moving on, baby. Moving on. Um, the next game I want to talk about is what I was alluding to in my Towerfall bit. Um, the only way to make Towerfall a better game is to um buy Samurai Gun, <laughs> a different game. <laughs> Um, I've not played this one. A weird story with this. Uh, Samurai Gun was developed by a guy uh, who I think I think his like the developer name or like the studio name is called Techno Pants or something like that. But uh, the guy's name is Bo Blythe. Uh, he worked on Towerfall and I think created Samurai Gun as like a, like a developer, like programming test to like see what he could do um, for uh-huh. Towerfall and then ended up making Samurai Gun, which is just like the crystallization of everything that is good about Towerfall is is what samurai gun kind of like elevates itself into so the idea of this game is very similar four player uh competitive multiplayer game there are different arenas that you're battling in that all have like different vibes to them and different like stage hazards and things like that but you are all samurais who have a sword and a gun with one bullet and you can Mm. shoot that bullet at somebody uh and a person can use their sword to slice the bullet in half before it kills them which is extremely hard to do which makes it all the better when you're able to pull it off um you can also if you time it perfectly you can deflect the bullet back at the person which is even even harder to do and you can like wall jump and stuff like that but you can also attack people with swords uh, and if two people swing their swords at each other at the same time in the same direction you have the classic like samurai sword like cling, and then they both go flying across the screen um, that's awesome with just like wild physics um it is some of the most like if towerfall is like frenetic and high energy like samurai gun is that to the nth degree um because it is so tense always towerfall is tense in that like it can kind of 
uh, feel a little bit hectic because there are arrows mm-hmm. flying all over the place. Samurai gun is tense because there is only one bullet. And beyond that, it's just like playing a game of if somebody is near you, you're probably going to die. And you have to be like really on top of your shit. Um, at all times, you have to be that constantly aware of where everyone is. Yeah, that reminds me a bit of Nidhog. You ever play that? Oh yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah similar. They came out around there. similar times, I think. Um, yeah. Samurai Gun to me is like maybe like the perfect couch competitive multiplayer game. It is also just like extremely stylish and has maybe the best title screen of any video game. Um, <laughs> there were awesome. times where I would just turn the title screen on. It has just like the best track that plays in the background. And I would just turn yeah. the title screen on, just let it loop for like ever. I would just have it on the background. It is so good. And most importantly, there's a sequel coming out for the Nintendo Switch and PS4, I think next year. Um, and I could not be more excited. That's so good. I, I, I you can't see me, dear listener, but my mouth was open <laughs> during that. I love um, Samurai Gun so much. I have played a lot of Towerfall. I have played maybe two to three times as much Samurai Gun. I used to bring my gaming PC, which like you don't need a gaming PC to run this game really at all. Um, but I used to bring my gaming PC and all my controllers with me in my backpack to my old office. And I would set it up and we would just play it during lunch. That's so good. It, it was great. It just became like a constant tournament season uh, for Samurai <laughs> Gun in my weird office. Anyway, Samurai Gun. I love that. Uh, Samurai Gun. Easily one of my favorite games of the year, that year. Oof. Good. Uh, the harsh pivot from kinetic action. We're going to go to the papers, please. Yeah. Uh, a sad-ass game about paperwork. <laughs> <laughs> um, papers, please, is made by the same developer who later went on to make Return of the Oberdin, mm-hmm. um, which I'm really glad that that seemed to be the bigger hit. Papers, please, is kind of like a little bit under the radar, but everyone who played it, it left a big impact. You play um, like a clerk at the border of a fictional country that's heavily rooted in like Soviet Russia, I want to say. Mm-hmm. And you're given a pretty simple list of requirements of like what someone crossing the border needs to have in order to do so. And the game is just you looking at their documents and like making sure everything is in order. If it's not, you can talk to the person and kind of ask what's going on. Um, And that's where the game gets interesting because there are characters who might not have what they need to get across, but they might be like, me and my family are going to be killed if we go back to where we're coming from. Yeah. So... You can, it is up to you to let people through. You can do that, but if you do that too much, you can be fired. And simultaneously, you are taking care of your own family who, like, every mission, it gives you, like, a checkup of how they're doing. So yeah. it's a really harrowing and and powerful view into like what the lowest end person is capable of doing in like a dystopian society. Mm-hmm. Like how many levels is this like authoritative evil affecting where like you're just an entry level clerk that's determining the fate of people's lives. And it's, it's both the, 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 the gateway check-in stuff is oddly fun. It's oddly kind of a, uh, you know, like I don't know what genre to compare it to, but I guess it would be like a puzzle game. You're just looking for the thing to make yeah. sure everything matches up. Yeah. And and then yeah, it's, and yeah, it's literally it's, a spot the difference game. It's a spot the difference game meshed with like heavy moral questions. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, I also loved this game. I played it a bunch uh, and stopped playing it because it made me too sad. Um, it is. Yeah. It once is you very once harrowing. you get the point, once you like get the idea and it's all, you know, just kind of percolating in your brain, I think you can kind of safely bail from it. It is definitely it like absolutely. I don't I don't want to 
um, feel like I'm dunking on it because it absolutely deserves to be on this list. And I played it and I think it's really spectacular. But I, I didn't play a whole lot of it because it um, just uh, was upsetting. It's too good at what it's trying to do. I, I, I completely agree, honestly. I think I think everyone should play it. And I think once you once it lands for you, then stop playing it. Because <laughs> yeah. there's, there's no way to win this game. There's no way to do the good thing. It's 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 a compromise either way. But I think it's a really, really interesting experience that I think you can only really do in a video game. I think like this would not work as a TV show or a movie or anything like that. Like putting you in the driver's seat of like being the person at the border check is so powerful. Yeah. And I think I think it's a testament to the power of video games as a medium, which is kind of why I put it on this list. It is not an enjoyable experience, yeah. <laughs> but it is a very powerful one. And, and for that reason, it's on here. A little bit of a tangent. Um, it, it reminds me a lot of a game that came out around the same time, maybe even in the same year called Cart Life that I played. Did you uh-huh. play Cart Life? No, I haven't. Um, it, it's it is essentially set up in such a way where you believe when you start playing it that it's going to be like uh, a roller coaster tycoon sim- similar kind of vibe uh, where you play as a person who runs a food cart in New York City um, uh-huh. where the ostensibly what you're going to be doing is upgrading your cart and getting better and like serving more items and maybe opening a second cart somewhere else and like, all this stuff and it never ever ever goes that way you are always like missing rent and not being able to pay for the food that you actually need to sell in your cart Oh geez. Um, and it's just like a completely completely brutal game um and it came out around the same time as papers please and i i just linked them both in my head because i played them both at the same time yeah um, for sure yeah but anyway papers please um really great game by a great developer who went on to make Oberdin, which was just fucking stellar hit. yeah yeah cool moving on to um a really similar game flappy bird <laughs> the moral questions that this game brings up honestly um, though yes yeah, kind of yeah so, i'm excited to hear where you go with this uh flappy bird flappy bird uh is was i have to say was i guess um an extremely popular ios and android game that came out uh in which you play as a bird that is flapping um through moving and sometimes not moving uh super mario pipes essentially they were just like straight up listed assets from (laughs) super mario world uh you are just flapping your way through these things um the the big thing about flappy bird and i think the reason it got as big as it was uh was that a it was free and b it was super difficult and it was like one of the not early, maybe early cases where like a game got really big because people were posting screenshots on Twitter of their scores. Um, like it was it was a viral mobile game in that it was like this game's super fucking hard. If you can get in double digits, you're good at this game. Uh, yeah. And then eventually you'd see some people with like triple digits and, and wild numbers, stuff like that. But what ended up happening really unfortunately honestly so this person who uh, the developer of this game had made a bunch of games prior to this made flappy bird flappy bird had been out for like a long time um i, I don't think it really hit until like 2014 but it came out in 2013 so we're talking about it now yeah um, but this game got like extremely extremely big and the guy started making so much money off of the ads in the game because it had like banner ads and stuff uh and whenever you beat the game it would ask you know if you wanted to watch an ad or maybe it would just even throw up an ad um the guy started making so much money that it like kind of ruined his life unfortunately um which was like really upsetting so if i'm not mistaken he was from vietnam and just like had people hounding him like coming to his house like constantly asking for money and stuff so he ended up pulling his games from the app store eventually and was just like this this game that i made that is like so nothing has like kind of ruined my life 
um, even though I made all this all this cash, which is like a, a bummer. Um, yeah. That having been said, it is worth mentioning Flappy Bird because like it was such a huge cultural moment for iOS games. It was like games. lightning striking. Yeah. 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 Um, he went on to release another game called Twin Copters that I thought was equally fun, but did not get as big. Um, I mean, people talked about it as like the sequel to Flappy Bird and it was great, but uh, Flappy Bird was like a big deal and I think is now licensed out as an arcade game that you can play at like Dave and Buster's, which is wild. Oh, is it? <laughs> yeah. Um, wow. But yeah, Flappy Bird was a, a really, a really interesting game. Um, and I did get triple digits in that game. Oh, wow. Because nice. of my weird obsession with uh, high scores and score chasing in arcade mobile games yeah i remember at that time like when it was taken off the store there were iphones being sold that had flappy bird on it for yeah. like insane prices it was it was really it was like an instant and very intense i don't want to say fad but just like that's how popular it was at the time yeah um you're showing me flappy bird on your phone on my phone yeah hell yeah you can sell that right next to Elder lot. Scrolls Blades, <laughs> which we'll talk about next. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, Flappy Bird. Next up, we got Pokemon X and Y playing behind the Starbucks that you worked at. Mm-hmm. I love Pokemon X and Y. It's it is. I think I listed my favorite Pokemon games in a recent episode about Sword and Shield, and this is my second favorite, I think, uh, mostly because of what a huge leap it was for the series when it came out. Um, this is the first Pokemon game that had 3D sprites. It just had so much that was finally utilizing the hardware, and it felt so fresh and so fun, and it's just it's just exactly the kind of experience you want from a game like this. It really rejuvenated my interest in the series, and I think it's one of my favorite 3DS games. Uh, not a hot take, but just like just the joyful time across the board. Yeah, um, they set it in France or like an amalgam of France, and that was a great idea. You had a whole bunch of friends who you would beat, and then they'd give you uh, cool <laughs> items that you could say thank you, sell thank or you. use. Yeah, thank you for kicking yeah. my ass, uh, Stephen. Um, and then they they'd hand you money and and nuggets and potions, uh, and that was really nice. And that's still a thing that happens in Pokemon games. Um, yeah, Pokemon X and Y, really, really, really good. Yeah. It's um if you have not played the series in a while, this is probably a good point to re-enter the series in. I think even more than Certain Shield, honestly. This is a good re-entry point. Yeah, um, I think I'd agree, honestly. Yeah. And about like a sixteenth of our show is entirely Pokemon based, so like we don't need to spend too much more time on this. But X and Y, one of the best of twenty thirteen. I will say I, this: uh, when Pokemon X and Y came out, this is completely anecdotal. Uh, when Pokemon X and Y came out, I and the person I was dating at the time uh, went to go pick it up at midnight from a GameStop. Uh, we were both wearing leather jackets, and um, <laughs> just it was when I was smoking cigarettes, and we were just chain smoking in the parking lot next to all the like it were away from obviously all the ten year olds. Who were in line to pick up Pokemon X and Y at midnight. Uh, so we were just like sitting there leaning against the hood of a car, just chain smoking leather jackets. And then we got Pokemon X and Y and then immediately uh, got a hotel room and stayed up for like 24 hours just playing Pokemon. Uh, and it was like one of my favorite stupid video gaming experiences of all time. I think we were the original Team Yell because like we like hung out outside your job and like played during your breaks and stuff. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. So good. I, I've, I also like, like Red and Blue, I have like, like you, I have real life associations with this game where like I know where I was and yeah. when 
I, you know, when I was playing it, when it came out. Also had a good amount of friends who played it at the time it came out, and it just such a good time. I have a friend, uh, Ian, if you're listening, give you a shout out. Ian told me when we first met that he didn't like me at first, um, but then he later drunkenly admitted that it was because he, I don't know, whatever. We became very close friends, and he we jokingly referred to each other as rivals. Uh-huh. I photoshopped him with sunglasses and Gary O'Care with a ferrothorn behind him, and it says... Uh, just hashtag rivals. Great. Um, but uh, he and I did a really close Pokemon battle and X and Y came out. And at the turning point of the battle, it cut to a dialogue box and it said, the hail stopped. Like that has been like a quote that we both say all the time. <laughs> like the hail stopped. That's really uh, good. I just wanted to give that a shout out. Wow. Yeah. The hail stopped. X and y, you too. The hail stopped. Rivals. Anyway. That's beautiful. On. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Smell you later, Gramps. I'm fed up waiting <laughs> to <laughs> talk <laughs> about <laughs> Bioshock <laughs> Infinite. <laughs> Bioshock Infinite. Interesting choice. Yeah, um... I mean, not really. It was a big game that came out. (laughs) (laughs) I think think it maybe is a little bit weird to have it on this list um, in that a lot of people didn't like it very much, and there's a lot of stuff that, like, is kind of problematic and not great about it. Um, What I will say about Bioshock Infinite um, that I think is a little bit of an echo from what I was referring to with Hotline Miami 2 when we were talking about Hotline Miami 1 um, is that it is a game that is uh, really, really, really interested in exploring what makes a good sequel. And I think like stumbles upon itself trying to arrive at an answer and the answer is really good but the game itself is like kind of not great like it throws a lot at the wall including like a big fight with a ghost after not establishing at all that there are ghosts in this world i forgot about that yeah Yeah. Um, (laughs) there's a lot of really wild shit that happens in this game that like um it it, uh started a wave of uh people in the game critic circle saying the phrase ludonarrative dissonance or like talking about ludonarrative dissonance which is the for people who like weren't extremely online in 2013 um it's it's the the difference between like the action or or the the stated action of a character and like the extreme violence that they are uh kind of like reeking upon just whoever um and and this game like really had issues with that where like there is no reason for you to be killing as many people as you are but you sure are killing a lot of people anyway uh this game is beautiful it has just like maybe the most awe-inspiring first hour of like any video game ever just like truly a technical masterpiece and like just like a, a an art direction masterpiece as well like shocking how how effective that that first hour is um and then goes a little bit off the rails but i think i think the final act of the game really arrives at like something very interesting um i agree yeah and then and then also followed up with some great dlc that took you back to rapture um and continued to explore that idea of what makes a good sequel via like places that you recognize um and i thought that was really really inspired yeah, that's kind of as much as I have on Bioshock Infinite. I played the whole game in one sitting also. I do want to mention that because I loved this franchise um, and I, I sat down when it came out and I played the whole thing. Yeah, I think um, I think you're right to analyze this as like a sort of commentary on sequels or at least judge it as a sequel. Um, it reminds me in that way of, of Chrono Cross, which we talked about in a recent episode where like the first game in both respective series, Bioshock and Chrono Trigger, wildly different genres but like they're both incredibly concise and deliver exactly what you want from that experience yeah like bioshock is a self-contained survival horror game with like ayn randian commentary yeah (laughs) uh you know it's basically like debunking the bullshit of atlas shrugged and like delivering it in a nautical horror horror setting Mm -hmm. what else do you want yeah um the sequel i think you're right i think the beginning and the end 
are very powerful. The, the reveal that this is like a horrific white supremacist island in the sky is one of the most like jarring and scary moments in a video game. Yeah. Like the reveal of that plus like putting a like claw in someone's face and just seeing like blood everywhere like that was like, okay, like now we know. Because for context, like Rapture in the first game is like was intended to be this ideal society and uh, quickly devolved into this chaos that you're now experiencing. Yeah. Um, and I think you're right where like fighting the ghost and like the songbird and stuff is like a little bit all over the place of like what they want you to think and the parallel dimensions and all that. It's a little bit uh, like I think the game thinks it's deeper than it actually is in a lot of moments. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I don't have any issues with it being on the list. I think it's like definitely worth talking about and playing if you are interested in games as a medium. I think it's I think it's cool. And I think its flaws make for interesting conversation. You know, I, th- I think that like there's enough that they do successfully here that it's worth experiencing. Yeah, there were I, there was just so much discourse about this game when it came out, like even down to do you remember the reveal of the box art when it was just like like white guy with shotgun on his back, like facing the other way. It was just like, come on, like this is really the best you can do about this huge, like wild, sprawling commentary on like 14 different things. It's just like, yeah, the same box art as everything. And also the it Dark was- Knight, like. Uh, it was oddly marketed as like a like a very straightforward shooting game. Yeah. You know? And it's very much not. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's like yeah. Anyway. That's Bioshock Infinite. Bioshock Tell Infinite. me about another game. Uh this is one that I know means a lot to you. Uh Legend of Zelda Link Between Worlds. This is a great year for the three DS, by the way. Yeah. Man. A lot of these are three DS games. Legend of Zelda Link Between Worlds was a direct sequel to a link to the past and as we have often referenced i think the testing ground for what later went into breath of the wild but is a great game in its own right the i am not as experienced with the top-down retro zeldas but i think that this one is a really brilliant combination of like the nostalgic embracement of of the old mechanics which still work really well i mean like new like games like binding of isaac and other other roguelikes and other indie games have inspired directly from the old school zeldas in their own way um so that that genre is still very much alive but taking that and mixing it with new mechanics the main one being fusing yourself into a wall and becoming a hieroglyphic suddenly adds a whole separate plane to zelda that never existed before that coupled with being able to do the dungeons in any order you want to and rent items rather than having to rely on like getting them in that dungeon made it for a really experimental zelda that that really paid off it's a lot of fun and it's it's like i think underrated i, I think it's not my favorite like your i know it's your favorite i'm excited to hear you talk about yeah. it but uh it's definitely one of the best entries in the series and i think you absolutely should check it out if you're a zelda fan yeah this uh yeah as as you just said this is my favorite zelda game like easily um i always thought that it would end up being twilight princess because that was the first one that i played um, yeah. and i always thought like oh whatever your first zelda game is is probably gonna be your favorite i think breath of the wild has become a lot of people's favorites since then but sure uh, rightfully so yeah i just remember hearing about link between worlds like while it was in development and them talking about the idea of making kind of an open-ended open world zelda that is top down um because i my experience with the zelda games was mostly via the top down one because I had played Twilight Princess, but after that, like there wasn't really a whole lot for me to experience outside of Wind Waker. And I just like was never going to go buy a copy of that and a GameCube controller to plug into my Wii. Um, so I ended up playing Minish Cap and uh, Spirit Tracks and Phantom Hourglass and like those games. Ooh. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Rough. Yeah. Not great. Um, a couple are OK, but yeah, not the best experience. Yeah. I mean, 
mean, Minish Cap is pretty good, uh, especially considering good. like that's not a fully Nintendo thing, uh, which is kind of wild. But it's a good one. It's a good one. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Link Between Worlds was just like not only a breath of fresh air because I had just come hot off the heels of playing a bunch of like extremely linear Zelda games, most of them being like not very good top down ones. Um, coming into this game, knowing that I could rent an item, go do the dungeon associated with that item and come back was really fascinating. But also I was like really, really, really in in the grasp of roguelikes and like Dark Souls and that kind of genre at this point. And this mm-hmm. game had elements of that where if you rented an item oh, yeah. and you died in in a dungeon or even out in the overworld, you would just drop that shit and it would break and you'd have to like gather the money you needed to be able to rent it again, um, which was like a wild idea for a Zelda game, honestly, to have any kind of um, rogue element overlaid on top of it like it seems like the antithesis of what Nintendo would want in in a game this big but yeah it was it was really 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 uh inspired and really uh tightly designed um and also maybe the only good use of 3D that the 3DS ever saw like it was <laughs> like maybe the only yeah. time ever that I recommended that people turn the 3D slider on their 3DS beyond a link between worlds you should always have the 3D slider off to save battery <laughs> There's some like the last game to come out for the 3DS was uh, Persona Q2, mm-hmm. and that game does not have 3D features. If you turn the slider on, it doesn't use them. Yeah, so the 3DS, if I'm not mistaken, Pokemon X and Y also mostly wasn't in doesn't. 3D. Yeah, it, it. I put it on the first game I used it for was were the cutscenes in Fire Emblem Awakening, which was kind of a cool novelty when I first did it. But yeah. like, I'm never gonna play the game with that on, right? You know? Yeah. So um, yeah, it's kind of a weird feature. Yeah, Link Between Worlds just had like beyond you know having great 3d and 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 just like the open-endedness of the gameplay um just that overworld was so tightly designed and so interesting and so fun to explore that like even when the game is over like before you go fight ganon and stuff you can just spend hours and hours and hours like doing weird side quests and exploring and checking that place out and there's so much to find and is so filled with character and life in a way that like I didn't really find in the other top-down Zelda games that I played, except for maybe A Link to the Past, which I also really liked. I was going to say, Link to the Past is sort of what this game is kind of cribbed in. Yeah. Like that is, along alongside Ocarina of Time and Breath of the Wild, those three are the three Zeldas that kind of set the foundation for that era. Yeah. You know, so I think like every top-down Zelda is kind of like, in the orbit of Link to the Past. And the fact that this is a direct sequel is kind of interesting because they're continuing where it left off. Yeah. Um, Um, And it feels like a sequel in that way. It feels like it's continuing what that game did very well. Yeah. um, Separate from the series overall. Yeah. Um, I really want to play Link's Awakening for Switch at some point still. Me too. Because it looks like it has kind of that same charm, but I just know there were a lot of issues with it technically when it came out and it didn't seem like it made as big a splash, but I still want to check it out because I think I'm going to like it a lot. But it reminds me a lot of Link Between Worlds and that's kind of the main reason that I feel compelled to check it out. It's just because of my love for this game. Awesome. What's next, Brendan? The next game is a roguelike that I have played maybe <laughs> like 10 times all the way through since it came out. Wow. Uh, it is called Rogue Legacy, and it is perfect. Uh, I played it on PC first, and then Vita, and then PS4, um, and then I think on PC again at some point. It is a Metroidvania game that is also a roguelike. Uh, essentially, you play as a knight 
of some sort uh, who goes into this castle and tries to beat uh, four bosses in different corners of, of the castle to unlock a big door and fight a final boss. Uh, the way it works is every time you die, your next of kin takes up your like god quest to, to beat this final boss. Uh, so you have to choose every time you die from a different one of your many children uh, who all have like different things going on about them. So like maybe they're colorblind, maybe they uh, move backwards, maybe they find more money than usual for some reason. Um, and they'll all have like different traits uh, and all the money that you get when you're in the castle, you can then spend on permanent upgrades, which is like kind of flying against uh, flying in the face of like what makes a roguelike, um, but allows for this like constant progression that makes it so pretty much every time you go into the castle, you will come out with at least like something that will help you, um, but also uh, forces you to make a lot of like kind of difficult choices about which child you're going to choose from of, of the list that they give you every time you die. It is just like a really immaculately designed game that is uh, just so, so fun and so goofy, too. Like, it is really funny. Like, all the animations and all the all the dialogue is... Yeah, like, it's got a light sound. Yeah, is is really, uh, really welcoming uh, for a game that is so crushingly hard when you start playing it. Um, <laughs> and you're going to die awesome. a lot in the beginning. Like, the... the I've only played a bit of it, but even in my limited time, like, you're going to have a lot of kids real quick. <laughs> yeah. And then maybe, like, 10 and you'll have one that you'll have, like, okay, you're going to spend a bit more time with this one. Yeah. Because like you said, the permanent upgrades will help you sustain yourself a little bit longer than you will in the beginning. Um, when yeah. You're just completely outmatched. Yeah. Uh, and some of those permanent upgrades also include like new classes and like upgrades to classes also. So yeah. like, okay, cool. So here's like uh, a miner that you'll get who like just finds more money generally. And then you can upgrade them to like an adventurer who like always finds a shitload of money. So like if you ever see an adventurer in the lineup of kids you can choose from, like pick that and then maybe just go on like a money hunting run and just like go and take out all the like really small time enemies in the castle don't fight any of the bosses um just so you can get a whole bunch of money and then like die on purpose so you can go spend that money those kinds of those kinds of uh choices are are like prevalent in pretty much every moment of that game um and it just makes it really really fun and really uh really replayable which is kind of surprising that like even just finishing the game wasn't enough for me that but i had to go back and play it again i played it so many times and i will play it again i think it's out on switch now and i haven't bought it on switch yet but i will probably get it on switch and then play it again at some point that's awesome yeah stan <laughs> i almost read the next game uh rogue legacy why don't we talk about stanley parable now that i said it out loud okay let's talk about the stanley parable yeah. did you play this game no i haven't i know of it but i have not played it okay cool uh this is wow this game is really good it's coming it's worth noting before we even start it's coming out for switch uh next year which i'm really excited about oh cool um they're, check it out. Yeah. It, they're calling it uh the stanley parable like definitive edition or something like they, they added like <laughs> a really i think they added like the dragon quest subtitle to it as a goof but they're adding like a bunch of extra content and stuff which is gonna be really fun but anyway uh the stanley parable is a game that uh constantly kind of like bastion narrates everything that you're doing uh while you're playing it you are you are stanley uh and uh, like a menial office worker in just like a kind of like dystopian uh, office space-esque office who uh, one day just decides to get up and have like total agency and like make a life for himself and escape this like really kind of like boring life where he just presses one button on a keyboard over and over and over again every day until he has to go back to sleep. Um, and there is a wonderful narrator 
who will kind of talk out all of his actions. Um, and you'll like walk into a room and it'll be like, Stanley walked into a room and found 14 different buttons he could push. What will he do next? And then you press the buttons like, Stanley pushed the third button from the left and a whole bunch of fish rained from the sky. And like a whole bunch of fish will rain from the sky. And then you'll press all these different <laughs> buttons and maybe one of them will kill you. And then you'll have to start back from the beginning. And it's like, Stanley dreamed that he pushed a button 13 from the left and died immediately and woke up again in his cube, pressing the number eight repeatedly. And then like, you'll just have to go through the whole game again, knowing what you know about that room with all those buttons, maybe avoiding that room entirely and things like that. It is a game that has seemingly infinite choices and seemingly infinite ways of playing it. And the game kind of like revels in feeling like it could be infinite. Um, yeah. which is really, really fun. It breaks the boundaries of like it being a video game constantly insofar as there is uh, an achievement, which I think this is this is the first or last year was the first year you could unlock it where um, you have to not play the game for five years. Like you have, to, <laughs> you have to load the game, you have to play the game, and then you have to turn it off and then you can't open up the Stanley Parable again for five years and then you get the achievement. And I think it's just called like go outside and make something of yourself. Um <laughs> It is awesome. It is a really, really, really funny game. It also gets like extremely, extremely like deep and extremely dark at times. And I I can't recommend it enough. It is really fun. I kind of don't want to say anything more about it just because like the the joy of finding new things is kind of like the the inherent like reason to be playing it. Um, Sure. But it is kind of like a Bioshock or a Hotline Miami, weirdly, uh, a game about being a video game um, and what player yeah. agency means and and how to subvert that. And it's really cool. And there is another game on our list that we will talk about eventually that is um, kind of like a response to this, uh, which is also fascinating. But yeah, Stanley Parable, really cool. Uh, excited to play it again on Switch when it comes out. Yeah, it sounds awesome. I knew I knew the basic idea of it, but that's your excitement for it is so contagious. I'm excited to check it out. Uh, it sounds it's I just feel like it'll be good on Switch, but I said about everything too so who knows honestly it might be best played on pc and mac like i would maybe oh, okay. recommend playing it there if if you feel compelled to check it out like earlier um because i don't know what's going to be in the switch version but i imagine it'll probably be fun on switch for like reasons that uh will be unclear until we're playing it you know what i mean like i feel like there's <laughs> yeah. gonna be some kind of strange exciting thing that they will add just because it's the switch version that'll make it worth playing there for sure um, okay, cool. Next up is uh, another great indie game uh, that involves walking around a place and exploring it. Um, <laughs> very different vibe from the Stanley Parable, though. This one is called Gone Home. Um, it is. It was a big deal when it came out. A lot of people talked about this game um, pretty effusively. A lot of people got upset about this game for really stupid reasons, but the people who loved it uh, loved it for great reasons. Uh, it is. It is a game by Fulbright Studios, who are essentially a mix of people who made the Minerva's Den DLC for Bioshock 2, which I think a lot of people, myself included, would say is the reason to play Bioshock 2 is to get to the Mm -hmm. Minerva's Den DLC. Just a really, really, really um, stellar way of uh, telling a story via its environment or telling, yeah via the game's environment. Um, Gone Home is essentially a full game version of that. Like taking that idea that they were exploring Minerva's Den and turning it into a full game. uh, You play as a girl who comes home from, I think it's college briefly, um, to go visit her family in, I imagine it's Portland, knowing where Fulbright Studios is based out of. I think it's in Portland um, or like the Northwest somewhere. And 
shows up and nobody's home and she is trying to figure out why nobody is home um, and what has happened to her family via just walking around this empty house like at night while it's raining um, it has kind of a spooky vibe but is also like very calming and very introspective and honestly just like a really heartwarming and, and touching video game that I like can't really recommend enough it is I think the first not the first but like the biggest uh, quote unquote walking simulator which is like a genre of game that people like for some reason sometimes hate um but i think it just like is rich ground for like incredible storytelling in the medium and this game really kind of like revolutionized a lot of how that can be done uh via environmental storytelling the best thing about this game is how scary it gets um at times which i think a lot of people didn't expect um and how all of those scares resolve themselves is maybe one of like the great joys of this game um, and I don't want to say more without like spoiling it, but um, yeah, Gone Home is really, really, really good and like really important to me as a person who like was constantly seeking out and trying to experience as many like indie games and like weird ideas as possible um, as a person who, as we mentioned before, worked at Starbucks and didn't have a whole lot of money to drop on $60 games all the time. Um, hopping around on Steam and buying like smaller, more experimental ideas like this Um was kind of where my heart was at uh, and gone home uh, gave that to me in spades and um, yeah I think I think about this game a lot honestly while I play other video games I love that it's really great also great soundtrack it's it's set in the 90s Um, you find a bunch of cassettes everywhere I I can't believe you haven't played this game yet you have to I know it sounds very up my alley you've recommended it to me I think a couple times and I was like whatever I'll get to it eventually (laughs) yeah um, worth noting um, (laughs) that's not what I said uh, yeah, that is that is what you said. You would always look me in the eyes and say, no, you would just say no. <laughs> um, uh, uh, uh. Worth noting, Fulbright Studios also made another game after this called Tacoma, uh, in which you are a person exploring a space station in kind of a similar way, uh, trying to figure out what happened to the crew that has gone missing via the holograms of what happened to them. Like, like Oh, yeah, I don't hear about that. Yeah, the computer kind of like allows you to replay and scrub through hologram recordings of what was happening on the ship when everybody disappeared. And it is really cool. Um, I don't know if it reaches the same heights as Gone Home. I Honestly, I don't think it does, um, but it's worth playing for the end. So just want to kind of give a shout out to Tacoma because I don't think, I think a lot of people passed over it. Yeah. But yeah, Gone Home's cool. These both sound like games that we'll probably do an episode on again eventually, I think. I'd love to. Once both of us yeah. have played. Yeah, that'd be great. I would absolutely replay Gone Home. I think it's on Switch already. Oh, perfect. What am I doing? Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> uh, next up, uh, we got my second bolded game. Uh, so one of my five favorites of the decade this is the last of us this is the game that i alluded to when i said uh awakening would have not been my game of the year if i had a ps4 mm-hmm. at the time uh i played last of us years after the hype i played it i think last year either 2018 or 2017 yeah i when i got my ps4 i got my ps4 at the end of 2016 and it came with uncharted 4 and the last of us remastered great deal and I put off playing Last of Us for a long time because I'm like, I know this is going to break my heart. I, I wanna, need to be in the mood for this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was like winter of, of 2018. No, it was definitely 2017 because it was before our show. I played it and it was just like the hype was so real for me. Like <laughs> I was kind of, I went in knowing it was going to be a good experience, but like, I was like, okay, like I'm playing this in, in 2017 zombies as a genre have been like stale for what feels like a decade. Yeah. Um, is this going to achieve the same heights? And 
It does. I don't think I need to say much. I mean, for anyone who's experienced it, I think you know why it would be on this list. I mean, it was going to be on the list regardless, but why it's one of my favorites is just there are a handful of games that have like made me like on the edge of my seat, forget that I am playing a game Mm. and just like find myself with my jaw open. (laughs) And this game made me do that pretty much every season as the story progressed. Uh, It's segmented in seasons and uh, the, the beginning of this game where they let you, the first person you control is Joel's daughter. And I think that's a brilliant thing that games do when like just the simple act of letting you play as someone immediately makes you empathize with them more. Yeah. Like being in control of a person. There's something very intimate about that. But you play as Joel and his daughter. It switches off and the prologue to like the world ending basically with this infection spreading uh, ends with Joel's daughter dying. And like it really catches you off guard. She's killed by a person, notably, not an infected. Yeah. She's killed by a overly cautious guard for little to no reason. And that sets the tone for the whole adventure. And the zombies are a placeholder. I mean, they're infected. So even this game had the foresight to know that zombies were kind of out the window. They're infected, not zombies. Uh, yeah. Uh <laughs> which is all right. All right. But the story that exists is not about that. And it's not even like Walking Dead where like, oh, it's about people being monsters. It's just about survival and it's about relationships and, and the relationship that we see that we experience between Joel and Ellie and the questions that are asked of like, what, what is worth more to you at the end of the day? the person that you love that you know directly or humanity as a whole as a picture Hmm. uh spoilers for last of us it ends with you finding out that ellie is somehow immune to the infection and this group of scientists want to make a cure out of her brain basically so she would die but the cure would be made and this entire outbreak could be stops and joel kills that group of scientists and tells ellie that like lies to her basically at the end it's such a powerful moment it's like this really climactic score and ellie asks like what happened back there and he's like nothing uh i forgot the exact line but like he lies to her about what happened and somehow you understand why because you've gone through fucking hell together and it makes you ask those questions of like what what matters to you is not well I shouldn't say, like, I don't think it's portraying that choice as, like, the moral correct choice, but it does, like, really double down on the fact that, like, you're going to care more about the people in your life than just humanity objectively. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean and what could that lead to? And I don't know. I mean, it, it's just such a heartbreaking and heartwarming game. Uh, it's not a hot take to love this game. It's, it's like, the... It, alongside Uncharted, it was Naughty Dog's attempt to kind of have, like, a... If, Naughty, if, if Uncharted was their attempt to emulate, like, the summer or blockbuster this was their like oscar nom game you know mm-hmm. uh and i think it pays off I and mean, this game is is timelessly enjoyable harrowing but also like cathartic in a way that you're going to feel like content once it's over you're going to feel sad but it's not like papers please where you just feel bad and there's no point <laughs> mm-hmm. or there is a point but there's no like end to the story really right here you're gonna have that like okay i watched a piece of media and it's over and i can walk away feeling however i'm going to yeah i love it it's one of my favorite games i've ever played it's great hype is real check it out <laughs> that's my take yeah play last of us that's all you got yeah, uh, yeah i mean i've talked about this i don't really like this game <laughs> really 
yeah we talked about this um yeah i mean i i appreciate a lot of what the game brings to the table um i mean i played that opening and when when joel's daughter died i it was like 7 30 in the morning i was like oh okay i'm gonna play a video <laughs> game i'm so excited i'm probably i'm finally gonna play the last of us it's gonna be yeah. so good and the sun was streaming through my blinds and i turned the game on and then i found myself about a half hour later just like ugly sobbing in my living room <laughs> so fucking upset um and and yeah i mean the story in this game is absolutely incredible all the performances are amazing the writing is ridiculous um the act of playing this game i really didn't enjoy personally i, I i'm so surprised to hear that yeah, yeah. I, yeah I just i just didn't like the actual like mechanic of of playing it um and then went on to watch the game be played um because i didn't want to be doing it myself um and experience the story that way and really liked it i thought it was incredible but yeah uh, that is like my that is my one like upsetting maybe hot take uh, but I mean again I still like extremely understand why this game was as big of a hit as it was um, it, yeah. is, it I mean, is an achievement that is like so far and away kind of like the Witcher 3 when you play the Witcher 3 and you're like this game yeah. is on a completely different level than like what a lot of other things are trying to accomplish right now um, and like it's going to take a long time for other people to catch up to what the Witcher 3 was doing same with the last of us like even a game like uh like Jedi Fallen Order that just came out that is like trying to tell like a cinematic like big bombastic story and from what I I haven't played it yet but from what I understand like listening to podcasts about it and reading reviews and stuff like so falls flat on like so many different layers um The Last of Us is just like leaps and bounds ahead of so many other things that are trying to tell a cinematic story via a video game while also being a video game and that's kind yeah. of like the main point is like it 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 is not shying away from the medium right it is it is not like a death stranding in that uh, you know hideo kojima just like really wants to make a movie clearly <laughs> and is like putting a video game uh, around that um uh, i would i would push on that a bit i mean i understand what you're trying to say with like the cutscenes and such but like i i agree that naughty dog more than than a cutscene centric game are rarely taking control away from you yeah. Um, even in, even in like the predetermined events, like there's one moment where Joel like his like leg he like falls and his leg gets like stuck in something, something like, brutal. And like you're in control while that happens. Yes. I do that in Uncharted a lot too, where like they even if something is going to happen no matter what, it feels like it's happening to you. Right. And I think playing as both Joel and Ellie and other characters and having their adventure together, it, even with even with zombies being a little bit. I mean, I think what this game is going for in terms of zombies like the design of them is so unique and interesting like the weird like flower bloom face i mean it kind of is echoed in stranger things with the demigorgon but like mm. that that idea of like they're not just like you know traditional zombies they're like something a little bit different but i think they're second to just the relationships that display here i think you yeah. could have any story with these types of characters and like choose whatever the threat is and it would still be equally powerful yeah um i, I agree. agree i think your take on the game not being fun to play is your hottest take um <laughs> and i don't like it but it's okay i, I mean i i i know that i've yeah, talked to a lot of people who've gotten very angry at me about totally that um no it's it's your opinion it's whatever but i do think that the story is is why you're playing it you're not you're yes. not playing it for the thing the reason i'm surprised is because i know you like uncharted so much and i feel like this is a very similar engine and if anything i think this game plays better than uncharted uncharted plays great with the climbing and swinging and stuff but the combat in that game is such a chore where like enemies take forever to kill and this game 
I really loved the like improv sense of like grabbing a brick and like you have a place in your inventory for just like something you found just, like, in addition to, yeah. yeah in addition to your gun or whatever and like making and improving stuff on the go I mean that all worked for me but that comes second to the visual and narrative experience of the game so mm-hmm. like I I get why like there's more room to not enjoy it there but yeah live your truth man it's totally fine I'm not offended and it is one of my favorite games of all time at last of us <laughs> uh, yeah i'm sorry i didn't mean to dunk on your favorite game of all time but um yeah i again it's a stunning achievement and i'm excited for the second one and i will play i'm it. really excited for the second one i think i i think the uh i think the second one will prove like doubly so if like you can still create a, a compelling piece of media in like a very tired genre <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah um so yeah yeah i mean what i've seen already i've been like super impressed by and just really want to get my hands on it so yeah for sure last of us yeah it's great cool uh our last game of 2013 really similar honestly in almost every way uh for the 3ds it was animal crossing (laughs) new leaf that's like my one joke that i do on this show always (laughs) it's always good it's always fun anyway uh animal crossing new leaf uh one of my bolded games one of my five bolded games of the decade um yeah animal crossing new leaf is um it's perfect (laughs) it's um it's great it's 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 i like it a lot too it's not one of my bolded ones but i think it's easily the best animal crossing yeah yeah absolutely i started playing animal crossing with uh wild world for the ds um went on to check out city folk for the wii and like really bounced off of city folk like i tried yeah, playing was, it as much as i possibly could the reason i it 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 clicked for me the reason was that it wasn't handheld like the act of being able to bring wild world with me everywhere that i was was kind of what endeared me to the town that i was in um the fact that i could like bring it really close to my face under the covers like of my bed uh and and play it late into the night was like just the kind of experience that i really i think needed with with a game that was that that focused on being like a chill cool relaxing time um but also just being like as wholesome as humanly possible uh animal crossing New Leaf is everything that's good about Wild World to like the 10th degree. Um, It is like kind of the culmination of everything they've ever tried to do in that game and then some the act of making you the mayor was like maybe one of the most brilliant ideas oh, that they've yeah. ever had very similar honestly to uh pokemon sword and shield uh making the act of going to the eight gyms like the story like just literally reframing the act of going to eight gyms as like a gym challenge where there are stadiums instead of like them just being like buildings that you walk into um makes that act all the more interesting like for the first time you're not doing anything different you're still going to all eight gyms but just the fact that you're in a stadium and there's people cheering you on and it's like a huge deal and there's like people rooting for you and people who are like not rooting for you specifically like that makes the act suddenly exciting again um animal crossing new leaf in a similar way uh by making you the mayor just doubly endears you to the town and the villagers that live there and you feel like you have ownership over everything that's happening down to literally the ordinances that you're passing like you're actually like passing laws that's like okay every store has to be open late now which like kind of sucks actually now that you think about it that you are just one person <laughs> who decides that right um Scrooge, but every store is open yeah. late now every store is open early now uh everybody has to pick all the weeds for me because i'm not going to be here for three months uh things like that um really i i think just like culminate in in what is like maybe the perfection of the dream for what animal crossing like was supposed to be from its onset it is 
so pretty and so fun and so good and like everything about it i think i think is perfect i'm actually having a hard time even like picking things to talk about um (laughs) because i just love it so much as like a holistic piece of media but like even just down to the fact that it would use the pedometer in the 3ds to allow you to buy items that were like nintendo items so you could get like mario's hat and you could get um like the the sword like the helion sword from zelda and all those things you could like wear samus's helmet around and stuff just by like having the 3ds in your pocket while you're walking around i would keep it in my pocket while i was on shift at starbucks so i'd be walking back and forth a lot and doing stuff like that and just like racking up um racking up those points so i could go and buy those things like just little things like that i would on my breaks when you didn't show up would just sit (laughs) over at one of the tables like in the back of the store and just play animal crossing for the entire like 30 to 45 minutes of my break i love this game and i have started again i've wiped my town and started again like multiple times uh just to have that experience of like building up from nothing and then getting like the final house and the final like nook upgrades and everything um over and over and over again it is so fun and honestly creates like good routines in my life outside of just playing the game like one of the best things about this game uh or one of my favorite things about this game is the act of going to the island and catching beetles at sunset um around like 6 30 to 7 p.m at night the sun starts to set and that's when all the like the most uh valuable beetles come out and you can go to an island that is always summertime when you when you arrive there and you can just run around and catch beetles and then send them all back and then sell them and for a long time my my move would be like i would come home from work i would get on animal crossing new leaf i would catch a whole bunch of beetles and then i would like make dinner for myself and then like do all the other things i was gonna do with the night and that was my routine it was really (laughs) nice to have a nightly routine like that that was like that relaxed and calm like the act of catching beetles was so calming and so zen like that it like really put me in a good headspace to continue doing things after that so yeah animal crossing new leaf is uh great it's a great game to like it's the kind of series where you're gonna play it for like 40 minutes every day kind of thing yes you know it's it's uh I've used this phrase before. I, I did not coin the phrase, but it's a game about what's going to happen tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And it's just, yeah, it's it's a lovely time. I think it's the best one. I played the, my first experience with the series was the first one on GameCube, which I really loved. And I didn't get any of the other ones. So this was my second one. And it felt like an improvement in every way, really. Yeah. I did like the strange feeling of uneasiness in the first game where like no one really wants you there. Yes. Uh, which is 180 in this one where you're the mayor uh so you have a reason for being there yeah but, uh yeah it's it's fantastic i can't wait uh words can express for both of us how excited we are for the new one next year yeah yeah i mean just talking about what a huge shift the act of making you the mayor was the fact that you are building the entire island from scratch and you are its first inhabitant and you're going to turn it into a town and maybe even a city at a certain point is like just taking what was so great about new leaf and and expanding upon it um and creating a a whole new level of ownership over your island and over your town um i'm so excited to see how that feels and how that action um plays out it's gonna be really cool you talked to me about how much terry town meant to you in breath of the wild and i feel like the new animal crossing is like terry town yes, the game absolutely you know? <laughs> that is exactly what it is yeah um so good. that is 2013 that's a wrap so what many games year. in 2013 yeah a lot of 3ds games a lot of in a pretty good range i mean we ended with last of us animal crossing you can't get more of a of a <laughs> gradient than that yeah <laughs> um also like a, a perfect encapsulation of the show um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm sort of the joel to your uh nook um <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh do you want to take a break and then jump into next year i would love to do that see you in 2014 see you in a year see you in a year 
Happy New Year, Brendan. It's 2014. I just moved to Chicago. What were you up to? Uh, I moved to the town that you moved out of because you moved out of it so I could finally move in. That's right. There this can is only the be two one ships of us. passing. <laughs> <laughs> this is the two ships passing in the night year. Yes. Um, we recorded one video about uh, trying to find the good in Atari's ET game. Uh, and then and you then immediately like, I'm moved. I'm out. <laughs> Get me out. I'm out of here. Yeah. Uh, and we, we tried to do our Oblivion playthrough, which we ended up doing years later uh, yes. with our dear friend Lester. True. Um, 2014. Uh, this is, I feel like, the year, like this year and 2015, with some glowing exceptions, I, in, in that time, was not as involved as I am now or before then with video games. I kind of fell off a little mm. bit, which is evidenced by my list here <laughs> it picks up don't you worry but this is this is sort of my lull in the parabola we got going on here um yeah how is it for you you got a lot more than i do here. yeah um in 2014 i got the worst job i've ever had and played a lot of video games to escape that horrible shit <laughs> um <laughs> well let's get into it then. yeah let's talk all uh, about all these games uh let's start i'm gonna kick it off yeah please I'll start with yours i'm gonna kick it off with uh, uh, a pick that might raise some eyebrows. Hearth, Hearthstone. Uh, Heart H Stone. <laughs> Heart H Stone, my first screen name. <laughs> Hearthstone. This is Blizzard's online card game um, that I actually played a lot of this year. Uh, and a little this bit year? in 2015. No, 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 no. In 2014. Oh, okay. <laughs> I've since not touched the wretched stuff. But, yeah. Um, this I also game played... Had a- so much of this game when it came out it had a great start um yes. i have to say so like i i've touched on my like brief flirtation with magic never gotten super into any competitive card game but i've always kind of admired them from afar and hearthstone it, it was the perfect mix of being really accessible while also having like a lot of strategy going on i think it peaked at one of the first expansion was goblins versus gnomes and that was like i think peak hearthstone mm-hmm. um that was when i played the most at least i had a murloc deck and and it was so fun. You, it was free to play with a lot of microtransactions, but at that time you did not need to spend a dime to like get a lot of cards and like have a good time with it. Yeah. Um, I ended up spending a lot of money still. So make wish you will of that. But yeah, like, me too. This was for a while the only game I was playing for a bit. I really loved it. I had a lot of friends who were playing it, and it was really good. It breaks my heart that it got real bad. <laughs> that yeah. it got like yeah. re- like it just fully dived into being like as predatory as possible, as like RNG as possible, which like Card games are always going to have a degree of, but like every card that came out after like a certain expansion was like, do rant, do like 20 random damage to everyone and like win. It's like, what is like, <laughs> this is ridiculous. Yeah. It, there's no, like you're just placing down cards. There's no like cohesion going on. Maybe I'm wrong. I have not, like, I know this game is still like very, you know, streamed on Twitch and like there's a competitive scene and all that, but like I just bounced real hard from, from how it kind of the direction it took. Um, but I still think it's worth putting it on here for what it was. I think it had a great start and I think, uh, you know, maybe, uh, maybe I'll go to Gwent one day. Who knows? But, yeah. um, this whole, this, honestly, this whole first year, like 2014 into 2015 was just so strong for this game. I, I remember yeah. I got my wisdom teeth out this year. Um, actually at the end of 2014, like literally, I think it was December 30th. I got my wisdom teeth out. So like new year's Eve and new year's day. Um, I bought like a really cheap Android tablet for myself off of Amazon that like I just looked up to see if it could run Hearthstone and I just played Hearthstone like in bed while I was recovering from getting my wisdom teeth out. 
yeah um, yeah love 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 this game really good uh really got me into watching twitch honestly watched a lot of twitch streams of this game watched a lot of youtube videos about like the meta and how to play this game uh, in a way that i like didn't expect of myself personally um i was really surprised by it um which kind of fed into a thing that is like not a video game that came out this year but is worth mentioning uh which is twitch plays pokemon which like the first year of that oh yeah was in 2014 during the during the winter olympics and i just remember i had two screens in in my very small apartment <laughs> uh one of them had the olympics on and one of them had twitch plays pokemon on and the olympics was on the TV and Twitch Plays Pokemon was on my Microsoft Surface tablet that I had at the time. So it was very small. And then at a certain point, we swapped them. So the Olympics were on the small screen and Twitch Plays Pokemon was on the big one because that was the more important thing. But anyway, yeah, Hearthstone kind of kicked off like a lot of uh, the Twitch and like gaming YouTube uh, viewing that I still do to this day just not about hearthstone anymore my favorite card is that i had deathwing who was the dragon that yes. caused the cataclysm and wow and when he came in he would be like i'm here and i am not amused and yeah. everyone like it it got rid of every minion friendly or not on the board it was a lot of fun yeah it was a, it had a lot of character to it i i uh, maybe maybe i'll visit it today and see what's going on but like i remember i tried to check it out like maybe in 2016 and i felt so like overwhelmed at how many cards there were and like uh how i feel like i really needed to spend money to like stand a chance and i just bounced yeah um so yeah um, done, though. maybe in a couple of years uh just like wow classic they'll release hearthstone classic and we can just play that original uh, release that. again yeah I, I that'd be great that. yeah hearthstone yeah. kicking off 2014 a, a weird year uh what yeah. we got next my friend next we have uh, a game that made polygon.com's list of greatest games of the decade and a lot of people uh were in the comments kind of just rustling up a fervor about it uh they were a little bit upset I also added it to my list of most important games and my favorite games of the decade. It's Kim Kardashian Hollywood, a game that came out for mobile devices that I, not a joke, played so much of. It's one of those things where you kind of downloaded a little bit as a goof. I'm not going to lie. I was keeping up with the Kardashians. Uh, People who know me, uh, maybe via not this podcast, but the other one I do, No Script at All About Terrace House, know that I watch or used to watch a lot of reality television. Now I really just watch Uh Terrace House. But I watched all (laughs) of RuPaul's Drag Race. I watched all of America's Next Top Model. Uh, I watched all of Project Runway. And at a certain point, I caught up with the Kardashians. Uh, just watched all of it because I was like, I need to know why this is happening <laughs> um, <laughs> right. and watch all of it. And um, Kim Kardashian Hollywood came out in that time. It is a game in which you are a person who arrives in L.A. and like just kind of like trips and falls and uh, becomes friends with Kim Kardashian by accident. Uh, And she kind of welcomes you into her inner circle and like shows you the ways of being an extremely famous person very slowly. You kind of work your way up into like the upper echelon of like the Hollywood elite. It is a really fascinating game that I don't even think you can download and play anymore. I might be wrong about that that but it was made by glue mobile who make a lot of uh games for a lot of people uh they they just like release a ton of mobile games but this game not only was like good and surprisingly well written for its time but also like included all the worst most predatory shit that is in mobile games in terms of like energy meters microtransactions like every way you could monetize this game it was monetized but despite that was like actually kind of weirdly 
riveting to play at times. And I had a really good time with it and played like a whole bunch of it. The reason that I wanted it on the list outside of that is like what it inspired was every other celebrity, even close to Kim Kardashian's level, trying to make their own versions of this and failing. Like everyone wanted to get in on the Kim Kardashian Hollywood thing because it was around when she also released Kimoji which was like her downloadable um, emoji keyboards that you could like copy and paste um, a whole bunch of things. Like she just released all of this stuff at once and like kind of proved that she had a dominance over like what like teens and the youth actually wanted from like interacting with celebrities in, in, a, in a way that made sense for like 2014 in the era of the smartphone. Um, yeah. And Kim Kardashian Hollywood kind of kicked that off. And um, yeah, there were a lot of imitators, but nobody came close after that. Yeah. Really That's fascinating. Really interesting game uh, that I sure did play a lot of. Kim Kardashian Hollywood may or may not still exist. May or may not still <laughs> exist. I know. I th- I don't think you can download Kimoji anymore. So I have to imagine Kim Kardashian Hollywood is also gone. Um, I know there was a sequel that was Kendall and Kylie that was about her little sisters. Um, that maybe still exists. But anyway, that's that game. Wow, that's that game. Sounds cool. Uh, next up. Uh, similar boat we got dark souls 2 <laughs> did you play this yeah oh no i actually i've not played dark souls 2 you didn't I've, play dark souls i've 2. only played one and three yeah um okay this is when i was writing for the site that we both wrote for um mm-hmm. this one of the first videos i made for that site was about dark souls 2 uh where i was like this is my first no it wasn't my first time playing dark souls but i was like ah, i'm getting back into dark souls it's gonna be really interesting and uh or maybe this was i don't remember Anyway, I was terrible, and it's about 45 minutes of me dying to, like, the first three enemies of this game repeatedly. <laughs> it's like, well, I have no thoughts about Dark Souls 2, because <laughs> uh, I've only seen these first three enemies. But anyway, um, I love Dark Souls 2. It is the one that uh, is generally cast out when people talk about why the series is great. Um, I think it deserves another look. Uh, they released the Scholar of the First Sin edition, which you can go check out, which uh, has Miyazaki's influence in it. He went back and just made the game harder and then also, like, honestly kind of fucked it up because all the all the weapons break twice as fast now and it's less fun to play. Oh, I heard about that. Yeah, yeah. So, like, if you really want to play, like, a really hardcore version of Dark Souls 2, I guess you can go play that one. I wouldn't recommend it. I would recommend playing the original version, the original release. Um, it is a really beautiful game um, that does not have the same interconnected, like, lock and key kind of world of Dark Souls um, but still I think accomplishes that same like high fantasy glory and and has that same wonderful gameplay yeah I think Dark Souls 2 is great and I put it on the list because I refuse to let 2014 go by without mentioning it yeah for sure I mean I I think uh, it's worth noting the reason some people cast it out is because it was made independent of Miyazaki's direction because he was making Bloodborne at the time Yes. Uh, which came out in 2015. We may or may not talk about it. Uh, we will. Um, but uh, yeah, um, I the meaning to check it out. I, I definitely want to, but this is definitely the one people kind of are hit or miss on. Uh, yeah. And I think it's because it doesn't have the same like authorship to it. That does not mean that it's not inherently a great game. Yeah. So yeah, I'll definitely, we'll do an episode on it. I think also in the future, there's, there's a lot here that I think we'll probably revisit. You know, That'd be once awesome. we both experienced it. Yeah. I'm totally yeah. down. Sure. Did play the next game, uh, super smash brothers four for the Wii U and 3ds. Next up we got, uh, no, it's, uh <laughs> Nothing? that was it. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, it's a great game. I mean, I think again, this is another one. 2014 is a lot of like weird hits that I've since like, you know, like this and Dark Souls 2 are both kind of like like the odd ducklings of their respective series. I think uh, mm-hmm. Smash 4 up until Smash Ultimate was like 
a step in the right direction for the series after Brawl. Brawl being like a complete 180 from like the melee competitive scene and they added a lot of mechanics that didn't really make sense. The character balance is like way off, even on a casual level. Um, And then Smash 4 with Namco's involvement, I think, kind of helped them make like a more serious fighting game. Yeah. Uh, And serious meaning like more thought was put into it being played at a competitive level versus just being a party game and nothing wrong with being a party game but like for smash brothers i would say more than half of the audience wants it to be yes what melee this was, was the beginning of um, nintendo reversing their stance that smash was just a party game and that the people who were playing yeah. it competitively were contorting a thing that was made for children into a thing for adults and and smash 4 was them finally like embracing the competitive scene and not only embracing it but like starting to cultivate it and like make it larger and bigger and better which was really cool yeah Um, you know my theory about this game that it was made for the 3ds and then uh because the wii u was failing already uh nintendo made uh sakurai make a wii u version of it as well uh this game plays (laughs) people always talk about the wii u version obviously because it's the console version it's the one that gets played in tournaments um the 3ds version very overlooked was amazing like it was really, yeah i had on 3ds it was so, I, yeah i had both uh the 3ds version was really 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 good played super well way better than it honestly had any right to yeah i even found like i would be practicing on 3ds and some of that would carry over to the wii u like pl- i played as captain falcon a lot on the 3ds uh, and just like found it really surprising that all of the same actions that i was doing on like the actual wii u uh like pro controller carried over to the 3ds when i was playing back and forth like i i that muscle memory still tracked i just have a lot of really fond memories of at my horrible job um going to chipotle and getting a burrito and then turning on the uh the mode where you could just watch online matches but not participate in them and bet on them and i would just like leave the 3ds open i would just bet on matches while i was eating a burrito (laughs) that is incredible i love that for some reason i'm sorry to laugh but no 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 it's very funny i knew it was funny Um, at the time that's why i did it um i missed that in smash ultimate honestly i wish i could still yeah i uh i think that this game is great also for the additions to the roster duck hunt uh we fit trainer both incredible odd picks that i love not to mention all the dlc characters that were just added thankfully as non-dlc to ultimate like cloud Mm-hmm. Uh, Bayonetta I mean like some really exciting picks like, when I when I saw that Cloud was being added to Smash Brothers I couldn't believe it yeah. I like I, I actually didn't get a Wii U I only had a 3DS but like that was the moment where I was like I need to give Nintendo all my money suddenly uh, <laughs> I, I know this is embarrassing but like this is too much seeing like King Dedede get like hit by Bahamut in Midgar was like I know I needed this yeah <laughs> in 2014 <laughs> um, but yeah Smash 4 I mean every even Brawl is still a blast like I played the shit of every Smash Brothers game. They're all good. And this was definitely like a really promising follow up to Brawl that was then fully executed in Ultimate. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, th- this is really the halfway point between Brawl and Ultimate. Um, for sure. At the time, though, it was just here's Nintendo making finally like a competitive Smash Brothers. Yeah, game again. I mean, I was actually like this one was so strong that I was almost skeptical of like why we needed Ultimate so soon after. Me too. Um, yeah, but Ultimate obviously paid off. Yeah. Moving on, uh, Monument Valley. Yeah, you played this game, right? I haven't. Oh, you haven't? Okay. No, tell me about it. Interesting. Okay, Monument Valley. Um, the main thing about Monument Valley that I think is worth mentioning is I, I think there was this is around the time a little bit where um. 
mobile games as as like as big game releases were kind of starting to slow down like you saw a lot of them in previous years but in this year like it kind of became more indie developers releasing like smaller more experimental stuff that didn't really hit on the same level as some earlier things mainly because of things honestly like unfortunately like Kim Kardashian Hollywood um, <laughs> kind of changing the landscape of like yeah. how you monetize mobile games right. um, kind of like shifted the entire the entire industry um monument valley was kind of flying in the face of that being like a big tentpole mobile game uh that was released mainly successful due to its incredible art style and art direction um every single level of this game just looks like an actual work of art that you would like find at the moma you are just like a a small person with like a pointy hat uh and a cape just making your way through like mc escher puzzles essentially um that are just like beautifully beautifully designed um, and that is essentially the whole game. It is just an extremely pretty game uh, that is very relaxing to play with great music that became a huge hit. Uh, and, and I recommend playing it and its sequel. Um, you know, is it is it really like at the end of the day, a giant shift in how mobile games work or really anything? No, but it is an achievement in terms of its art direction. Um, and just the fact that it was successful in in the land of Kim Kardashian Hollywood, I think, is important. Um, <laughs> yeah, and for sure. Like, honestly, from here on out, most of the mobile games, like just looking at the ones that I have on the list, like for the future, most of the mobile games we're going to talk about are like kind of smaller, less successful indie games that I think are still worth talking about because that's just kind of the landscape at that point on, because now you have things like Call of Duty Mobile. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Can't forget that. Yeah. Uh, moving on, Monument Valley. Uh, next up, we got Shovel Knight, a game that I have certainly played and quite adore. I would say Shovel Knight is the beginning of Nintendo's recent positive trend of embracing indie developers and kind of claiming them as their own. Uh, yes. Or not. Cl that's that's a bit of a negative word choice, but like seeing what indie developers are doing and like kind of producing them under the Nintendo label. Shovel Knight is a game that is clearly inspired by I guess it would be a Metroidvania but it's more of like a side-scrolling Mega Man game than uh, yeah it's like, like a... me yeah Mega Man meets um Metroidvania or like honestly early Castlevania graphic fidelity meets uh DuckTales like the Scrooge McDuck like, <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah just turned into an it's, entire video game it's more NES inspired than SNES if that makes sense yes um but yeah it's it's a fantastic game um I think it's one of the best games of this year if we were doing our podcast in 2014 I think this would be on both of our like top fives uh if not our game of the year yeah it um, would I think yeah absolutely top five for me yeah um I love I love Shovel Knight I I think I would love is it on Switch yes it is yes it extremely yeah, is well, on definitely. Switch there's there's even more on Switch than there is anywhere else I think right now. <laughs> Hell yeah. But yeah, Shovel Knight was one of the glowing hidden gems of Nintendo's like otherwise dark year of Luigi where they lost $500 million. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but, Shovel Knight yeah. I played on PC and 3DS and then again on PS4, but I really, really, really attached to it on the 3DS. That was where I played it the most. That's where I ended up beating it. Um, and that's where I started speedrunning it, which was really fun because that was also oh, when I started fun. getting into speedrunning again after uh, Hotline Miami a couple years earlier. I really, really, really liked routing Shovel Knight really early in that game's release window where like people started playing it and started beating it and just started like 
going online and talking about how much fun this game was going to be to speed run. It was kind yeah. of cool to to start doing that. I was doing it on a system that nobody else was, which was kind of part of the problem. That's why I kind of fell off of it. <laughs> uh, all my muscle memory was really great for the 3DS and really bad for every other console. But yeah, love Shovel Knight. Really great game. Um, play it if you haven't. Yeah. What have we got next, Brendan? Next, we have 80 Days, another mobile game, uh, which I oh, have yeah. actually been replaying this week um, oh, cool. because I, I wanted to check it out again uh, before I talked about it here. It is a retelling of Around the World in 80 Days, the classic novel. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, as a kind of choose-your-own-adventure game for mobile, it is so special and so interesting. Uh, so essentially, the, the way the game works is you are the assistant to an extremely wealthy man who makes a bet uh, that he can make it Around the World in 80 Days or less. And it is kind of up to you like it is kind of like yes he made the bet but you are his assistant so you kind of have to be the one to make this happen so you're given the globe and you start off in london and you have to literally route your way around the world um and you don't know all the different routes that you can take you only know a couple of them uh, just based on like either right when you start the game, you get to choose between a couple of different items that you can pack in a bag. You only have one bag and you have to kind of like Resident Evil 4 manage the inventory space that you have. So like if you bring a timetable of trains with you, you will unlock a couple routes like really early in the game. So you can kind of like start making your way around. But if not, you only have one choice. Um, so you go from London to whatever your next city is going to end up being. And you can either choose to stay there and hang out or immediately get on a train and keep going. And if you stay there and hang out, you can walk around. Uh, and, and the walking around is really told like in blocks of text. So it'll be like, you know, you make your way down the street and you uh, run into a person selling carpets on the side of the road and you converse with them. And then it's literally like a choose your dialogue tree kind of twine game situation where if you ask the right questions and you kind of curry enough favor with this person, they will tell you more about other trips that you can take and other ways that you can travel around the world. And that is how you unlock different routes. What's really notable about this game or the, the couple things that are really notable are one, there is just so much text and it is all so well written you will be floored by how much extremely well written dialogue and and atmosphere there is in every city that you visit i the first time i played this game i extremely was well over 80 days by the time i finished it because i couldn't stop just visiting cities and talking to everyone <laughs> uh just because i yeah. loved it so much the other thing that i i really want to highlight is the just impeccable audio design in this game. Every time you visit a city, every time you go to a place, every time you're on a train or or an airship or whatever, because it, it's a little bit uh, steampunky also, which is cool. It's like a steampunk take on Around the World in 80 Days. Every time you like visit a place or you're in a place, it really sounds like it. Like I recommend playing this game with really good headphones because the experience of hearing those sounds and reading that extremely well-written dialogue just kind of meld together into a really great experience. Um, 80 days is very cool. I just talked about it a lot. It's not one of my bolded games, but I like it. No, I mean, I, I can't wait to check it out. Is it on uh, mobile still? You can still get it. You can still get it. Yeah. That's, uh, that's where I've been playing it recently. I think they also released it on switch recently Oh, cool. and, uh, I think it's on PC and Mac. Through Steam. Oh yeah. yeah. I'll definitely check that out. That sounds really awesome. Let's talk about uh, your next game. My next game. Yes. Okay, cool. Uh, my next game is dragon age inquisition. This is a game I also played after the fact. I don't know. I have a PS4 at the time. I actually, so this game came out right at the end of the lifetime of uh, PS3 and Xbox 360, and it was for Xbox One and PS4, but they released it for both. Mm -hmm. Do not get the 360 version of this game. Okay. It is so, it is, I, I was, that's actually what prompted me to get a PS4, because I tried to play it, and it was just so, like, this is not running, like, this, this is borderline unplayable. Uh, not a good lead 
lead to a game I love. Uh, this game <laughs> is wonderful. I'm a huge fan of uh, of Mass Effect and Dragon Age. Uh, I've not played Dragon Age 2, but I have played a lot of Dragon Age Origins and Dragon Age Inquisition. And Inquisition in particular is a really nice middle ground between the like extensive dialogue options and choices of role playing you had in the earlier Bioware games with like more modern gameplay. There's some things that get in the way of it a little bit. I think they tried to kind of shoehorn a lot of open world stuff into the game that like feels a little tedious they're in beautiful environments but like you have to like collect a lot of stuff to unlock power to do the next main quest and like it's a happy problem because I, at the end of the day, I wanted to see more and more of this mm-hmm. game. All the side quests and main quests are so compelling. The the characters are so well written. One line that stands out is uh, one of your party mates is this elf named Solus. And one of my favorite versions of magic is in Dragon Age, where all mages draw their magic from uh, a plane. I think that's called the Rift uh, or something like that. But basically, all souls go there when you're either sleeping or dead kind of Mm -hmm. like Sandman in that way. And they can, mages can physically visit this plane and that's where they draw their power from. And you can like walk around it and see the world like through this almost like Feywild reflection. Uh, And Solus talks about an event from the first game from Dragon Age Origins. Uh, One of the first things that happens in Origins is uh, one of the characters who later becomes the main antagonist is this beloved knight who, in the peak of a battle against the the Darkspawn, decides to withdraw his soldiers and leave. And him doing that basically, like dooms the army that's there and kind of sets the whole plot in motion and uh throughout most of the game he is the main antagonist despite his like complicated moral role as like this beloved folk hero but also or not folk hero he's like literally the hero of a continent but he has done this awful thing and is becoming this awful person and Solus in inquisition talks about that moment from the first game and he says like i saw when that historical event happened and i saw both like a demon mad with power laughing as his brothers fell in arms. And I also saw like a beloved soldier, like with a heavy burden on his shoulders, like sadly leaving the field or something like that. And then you can ask him like, well, which one was real? And he goes, well, it's the fade. They mm. both are. And like, I, I just love that quote so much. The fact that like such a complicated character from a series, from the series past who can actually show up in that game, depending on your actions is referred to in that way that kind of connects the world to in a strong way and like you don't need to play Origins to enjoy Inquisition there's a lot going on here that's unique to this game um, eventually you are given the role of Inquisitor hence the title and the scenes where you can judge uh, characters that are presented before you are really compelling and I think this game does a good thing that kind of steps away from the uh, binary moral system of a lot of RPGs where rather than being good or evil your actions will just be liked or disliked by characters you're with So like, you know, if you do something that someone really heavily disapproves of, they're probably going to talk to you after that. Um, Or they might even leave the party. There are so many variants on what can happen with this game. The the elf character I mentioned can either be a very close ally or you can (laughs) you can punch him in the face and then he just leaves the party. (laughs) That's one interaction. Um, It's a fantastic RPG. Gameplay is not super compelling, but like all the dialogue and the story beats and the choices you can make are all like what you want from a bioware game uh it's great i would recommend to any bioware fan yeah i'm just looking it up on uh the psn store to see how much it costs these days you can probably get it pretty cheap i, I picked it up not for not too much 
Yeah. Um, I would like to play this game. It's $10 right now. Okay. Oh, cool. Get, I'm going to get it. Um, Actually, I think, not to scare you off, but I think this is probably a really good entry point for someone who is new to Bioware games. This is probably a good one to start with, honestly, even if you haven't played Origins. Because Origins yeah. is like, you kind of have to go in knowing what to do otherwise you're just like that game doesn't give you any room to like grind or like adjust your characters you're just set on one path whereas inquisition is a little bit more forgiving yeah my uh bioware game path is uh star wars knights of the old republic the first 15 hours of mass effect 2 anthem mass effect andromeda <laughs> and then dragon age inquisition it's the machete order you really get the full the full cusp yeah um, i've i've only heard nothing but good things about this game uh just always and i've always been meaning to play it never did um so now i'm gonna i think it's it's the game that people hold on to in the face of bioware's like current rocky state like it's like and that's Sadly, with the Jason Schreier article about Anthem, like uh, I think one of the lines that stood out to me was like, "This game doing well is like the reason the production for An or one of the reasons production for Anthem was so awful." Because like, apparently, this game, Dragon Age Inquisition, had an extraordinarily rough uh, production history as yeah. well, but it came out great. Yeah. So like the higher ups are like, oh, okay, well they'll pull through last minute like they did with Inquisition. It's like, well, no, that was just like that was a, a stroke of luck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's a fantastic game. Would recommend. There's so much character customization and like uh, it's just a great time. I actually want to let me know when you pick it up and we can we can revisit it. I would love cool. to do that. Yeah. Uh, next game on the list, PT, the playable teaser for Silent Hills, everyone's favorite game by Hideo Kojima and Guillermo del Toro. Everybody loved Silent Hills when it finally came out. Starting when it Norman finally Reedus. came out, it definitely exists. It definitely exists and was great. Uh, PT was a playable teaser for a game that never came out in which <laughs> you were a uh, kind of, I, I mean, you were technically Norman Reedus, but anyway, you were just like a nameless, faceless uh first person whatever making your way through kind of an endless house the same cycle the same loop in a house over and over again and every time you went through things would get increasingly more terrifying um ghosts would start to show up uh, it just got real weird um, yeah you would constantly think you're being followed the audio design was great the visual design was great um it was a really incredible thing the the main reason to really talk about it is is uh it dropped with no announcement at all it just like came out all of a sudden that he could uh kojima was just like here's a thing i'm working on it with Guillermo del toro um get excited it's going to come out eventually then people started playing it realized that it was a teaser for silent hills that they were going to bring the silent hill franchise back and kojima was going to take ownership of it just like the perfect storm of like wild shit to have happen yeah um, and Guillermo del toro yes Guillermo del toro. yeah um which then just completely exploded into kojima uh leaving konami getting axe from konami whatever happened there um which then led to where we are today with death stranding like there's a direct line from the release of pt to death stranding today same players are in there with with del toro yeah. and norman reedus really wild uh pt terrifying game really incredible it's so scary yeah yeah really really well done um i would have liked to have seen silent hills if it ever existed um unfortunately it's not it really does seem like resident evil 7 picked up the torch from where pt left off and turned that For into sure. a full game which i talked about a lot in the episode where we talked about resident evil 7 uh after i played that but yeah pt was really cool um I still have it downloaded. 
I check it out every once in a while just to like hop in and just be like, whoa, spooky. And then I leave. This again. is a good like wake up before I go to work, just play a little PT. Yeah. <laughs> Start yeah. my day. I, I love I love having routines. Uh, you know, so I'll just like come home from work, I'll I'll uh, go catch some beetles at the island. Uh, and then I'll hop into PT for a little bit uh, and then I'll make dinner for myself and then, you know, I'll just move on with the rest of my night Yeah, um, because I'm going to be up all night now. Hey, there's no way to, to describe how scary the ghost is in this game. Look it up if you're curious. It's fucking terrifying. How about the baby? <laughs> I was going to say I was going to do a whole thing. I mean, there's a weird link there with Death Stranding, but this baby is much less helpful <laughs> and adorable. And it talks like this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's like a weird eraser head baby. Hey, it's a very baby. like David Lynch kind of vibe that game. Yeah. Yeah. Scary. Moving on. Moving to... on to Desert Golfing. Uh did you do you know this game at all? No. I okay. Don't. Cool. Desert Golfing. Coming in fresh. It's an iOS game in which you are a person who is golfing in the desert. It you are standing there and you have a club and it is kind of like what the golf you it exactly controls exactly the way you would expect it to all you have to do is pull back and angle your shot and how far you pull back determines how much power you're hitting that shot with um and you just want to get the ball into the hole uh and then you do that and then you move on to hole number two and then you do that and you move on to hole number three and every time you do it the whole you know the the landscape changes a little bit and the big thing about this game uh, and the reason why it started kind of making the rounds and people started talking about it was that it is endless it is an endless golfing game um That gets increasingly more difficult sometimes and then will completely level out and be like nothing again. It'll just be like, oh, yeah, I'm just getting hole in one like over and over and over again. And then suddenly it'll be like, how in the fuck do I get this shot? There is no way. And you'll sit there and be stuck on it for like an entire day and then come back to it later. I have showed this game to so many people. My dad has this game and has played... No, this is not a joke. Over 3,000 holes in this game. Wow. Um, what I didn't know until he showed me that he had been playing 3,000 holes is that almost imperceptibly, because it's a it's a gradient, every time you move from one hole to another, you slowly shift. You start off and, and the sand is orange and the sky is kind of orange to match it. Uh, you slowly shift through hues and it moves through the entire color spectrum where it starts off as orange and eventually makes its way all the way back to orange. So he showed me whole like 3000 something. He was like, my my whole 3000 then showed me his, his iPad and it was green. And I was like, why is your game green? (laughs) Dad. Um, yeah. Desert golfing is just like an amazing thing. Um, it is the most mindless activity you can do with your phone. Uh, but is also like just an incredibly good game. Um, (laughs) it's so great. I can't recommend it enough. Uh, I love, I love desert golfing. I still like check in with it every once in a while and just knock a few back, knock a few back after I wind up with PT, (laughs) go go golfing in the desert. Um, anyway, desert golfing. It's good. Oh yeah. The last uh, game of 2014, <laughs> the most important thing. Yes. When you and I were writing for a video game website, we all got alpha codes to play the new game from Bungie called Destiny, uh, where we got to check it out ahead of its launch and kind of experience this gigantic, sprawling, ambitious thing that Bungie was working on that said it was a blending of single player and multiplayer seamlessly. 
where everyone would inhabit the same world. It would be like an MMO where you would group up with a bunch of your friends, go and explore this world, and you would see other people exploring the world around you. And also you could hop into really solid uh, Halo-esque competitive multiplayer uh, whenever you wanted. Um, yeah. And it was a thing that came out and a lot of people ended up not liking by the time it came out. But I was pretty much hooked from Go. I was like, this is my game. This is the game I'm going to play all the time. And I did. And I've talked a lot about Destiny's podcast, so I don't really need to go over all of it again. But I think it's worth mentioning in this list specifically because of the impact it had and continues to have going forwards. Uh, we're now in, you know, well into Destiny 2, uh, but between then and now, so many games, so many games have been dubbed the Destiny Killer before they came out, which is hilarious because a lot of people think that Destiny is down in the dumps and is trash and is bad, but like, there are so many people playing this game. Like, so many that Bungie was able to buy itself out of its contract with Activision and become an independent studio. Like, this game is gigantic still, and... yeah. I don't think a game is going to take it out. Uh, no game is going to remove the player base of Destiny. The only game that can kill Destiny is Destiny at this point. They can fuck up so bad that, you know, they lose their community. But there have been expansions that the community hated and and they've still stuck around and that game still exists and has a huge player base. So maybe that's not even true. I think I think Destiny is um, was an extremely ambitious thing when it came out and only got better over time, especially when the Taken King expansion came out. Uh, and kind of like revitalized it and kind of rebuilt it from the ground up and reworked everything that people liked about it and only made it better. Destiny 2 now is the best it's ever been. Yeah, I, I love, 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 love Destiny. Uh, can't talk about it enough. It's great. Really great. Yeah, it's it's lovely. I mean, I've only played the second one, but your, your love for the series and like it is kind of surreal to look back on the first one. And I think second to maybe like No Man's Sky, there was never a game that had this like, amount of hype. And like the mix of hype and disappointment is what I'm kind of pointing to in terms of like what people thought it was going to be before launch and what it was after and what they've done to improve it since then. I think Destiny has a more successful redemption yeah. story there. No Man's Sky to a lesser degree. But yeah, it's it's really a testament. I think at the end of the day, I understand why people felt kind of deceived or let down like you're you're totally justified in thinking that but I I think that like overall throughout the history of this game and and especially where we are right now I think it's it's a it's a it's a success for sure and I think like you said it's clearly influencing competition yeah. left and right constantly yeah so it's it's the kind right. of thing that i think um gets looked over because there are games like minecraft that exist you know that are also like have just permeated the way game design works and skyrim that have influenced things like breath of the wild which will now influence other things um i think i think destiny should be held up in that same regard and and is i think one of the most important games that have come out in the decade uh personally yeah and that's why i didn't even mention this it's one of my five bolded games of the decade are you three in uh, yeah, I think that is three, right? It's Binding of Isaac, Animal Crossing. Oh, that's four. It's number four for me. It's number four? Yeah. What am I missing? Binding of Isaac, Fez, Fez. Animal Crossing, New Leaf, Destiny, so and then one more in two years. Only one more. I'm only two in, so we'll see where mine pop up. Yeah. Um, but that's 2014. Uh, uh, interesting year. A lot of highs and lows, both with games and life. You want to move on to 2015? I would love to move on to 2015. Let's do it. Goodbye. Goodbye. Stephen, welcome to 2015. The future is here. The most glamorous of years of the decade. Yes, yes. we are back uh, to the future. Talking about the future. Uh, a whole bunch of games. Uh, one of them I'm surprised is not bolded. One of them I'm unsurprised is bolded for you. 
none of these are bolded for me, but there are a lot that I put down, and I'd like to start by talking about one very quickly. Sure. Called Lifeline. It is a Lifeline. game that was released for the Apple Watch. Um, <laughs> this is peak Brendan pick, I feel like. Yeah, I, I just... Way. Um, here's the thing. The Apple watch came out. It was, it was unveiled and I thought that's a dumb looking thing and I don't want it. Um, and I went and tried one on at the Apple store and I had it on my wrist. Cause at that point you had to make a reservation to try one on and see how oh it felt. God. Uh, and I went and tried one on and I thought this is a dumb looking thing and I don't want it. But then at the end of the year, it was deeply discounted on black Friday because I don't think people were buying them yet. They weren't as prevalent as they are now. Um, they were so deeply discounted that I was like, I'll buy one. I'll check it out. Yeah. So I got the thing um, and I was really interested in the Apple Watch uh, mainly because it was running its own like kind of uh, fork of iOS um, uh-huh. and Mac OS and TV OS and all of those things. Uh, and it was called Watch OS. And they were saying you can make Apple was saying you can make your own apps for this the same way you could with an iPhone. And I was really curious to see what kind of games and interactive experiences would exist with this wearable device that was like yeah. kind of always there and always on and had all these like interesting features. And the first and maybe really only one of note to me uh, was this game called Lifeline that came out. Uh, and it involved a... It's worth noting, you can play this game without an Apple Watch. There are other ways of doing it, but I think the Apple Watch experience is kind of the most interesting one. But anyway, it's a game that involved an astronaut who crash lands on a planet um, and it sends a radio signal out into space and just happens to reach you. You are the person who gets connected to this astronaut. Oh, um, wow. For some reason, the device that they set up to reach out to anyone for help can only talk to you. So you have to literally check in with this astronaut constantly like throughout time like real passing time um and and help this astronaut like find their way back home and just survive and also just like keep in high spirits like morally like they they are having a obviously rough time um (laughs) and they will sometimes reach out to you just to talk and like just to just to speak to you um and you can respond by uh, choosing from a bunch of dialogue options, but it'll also, uh, they'll also be asking you like, okay, you know, there are a couple different options for me here. I can go check out this, but it might be too dangerous. Do I do this instead? And you make those choices for them. And if you never hear back from them again, then it means that they might be dead. Um, oh, no. but sometimes it'll just take a couple days and then they'll reach out to you and be like, holy shit, they're still alive. <laughs> they made it. It's incredible. Um, and it's just a wild game that will cause you to have like wildly, um, emotive moments when you least yeah. expect it. Like when you're sitting at work selling circuit breakers on amazon.com, sometimes your watch will vibrate <laughs> and you'll look down and you'll find out that your astronaut friend is alive. Um, <laughs> It was You're a poet. That was incredible. What a good sentence. <laughs> it was a really incredible game. Yeah. Uh, and I, I recommend checking it out, even if you don't have an Apple Watch. Um, it was it was really cool. And I think there have been sequels and like spinoffs um, since it came out, but I haven't checked any of them out. Um, I can see why that would be cool on the Apple Watch. And like, so it's on mobile as well. Is I believe it is. I think it, I think it uses just regular push notifications and then they unfurl into the options that you can choose from. Gotcha. Um, if you like long press them, um, if I'm not mistaken, but I would have to confirm that. But yeah, Lifeline, gotcha. cool game. Lifeline, I'll definitely check that out if I can. Yeah. Uh, do you want me to keep up, going or do you want to go? Um, I was gonna bring up one that is kind of here for both of us. If you don't mind, sure. it'll probably be quick because we talked about it a lot. Uh, Bloodborne is on the list for anyone who has listened to our show in the past. We did our bonus episode about this in October. Um, we talked about this game in passing a lot in reference to the Dark Souls trilogy and Sekiro. 
Uh, we mentioned Dark Souls 2 earlier this episode, and it's worth noting Miyazaki was working on Bloodborne during the production of Dark Souls 2. So in a lot of ways, this is sort of like Dark Souls 2's like weird evil cousin. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It, it was, you know, in development at the same time it came out a year later and was a PS4 exclusive, much to the dismay of many, sadly. I wish, I hope one day it's released for everything, but for now it's still PS4. But it is such a good entry in the series. And as the year winds down with Sekiro and, and as we've like kind of deeply discussed and looked into this catalog of, of Souls games from, from Soft, I think Bloodborne is still my favorite. I think it's the best execution of this type of game. And I think, uh, I, I, I think it's still number one for me and easily one of the best games for 2015. Yeah, yeah, hard to agree. Um, go check out our, Halloween bonus episode um, if you want to hear more about our thoughts on Bloodborne but um, I just want to echo everything Steven said it's uh, great it's really good it's maybe the best one I think it is the best one um, and it'll continue to be the best one they will never top it that's not true but it's really good farewell good hunter moving on Uh, we got the beginner's guide yes uh the follow-up to the stanley parable the beginner's guide is um a really 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 fascinating game by one of the two people that made the stanley parable and it is literally a video game um about okay maybe not literally but uh if i was to read into it it is a it is a game about the reviews for the stanley parable i think uh the stanley parable came out and and was um widely discussed as kind of like bucking the trend of of uh what player agency means in video games, but a lot of people read into it even further to kind of talk about the psyche of the two people making the game and like what what their philosophies on life and stuff were based on what was happening in the Stanley Parable. Uh, the Beginner's Guide finds it's liter- it's narrated instead of by the like uh, proper British accent guy from Stanley Parable and is narrated by the creator of the game, David Reedon, um, who talks about finding or becoming friends with a person like through forums online, just this one like random game developer whose uh, work they really loved. Um, and they Davey is allowing you to play through this person's creation games and the stuff they uploaded to this like random game developer forum uh, and narrates the experience and talks about why he found these games so interesting um, and and what he has come to learn about this person via their video games um, and it like over time unfurls into a like really kind of like manic depressive episode where he starts to realize that he can't really grok anything from these games um, that a lot of the things that he found important uh, and the things that he was telling you were important are actually things that he placed in the games themselves to try and give them meaning uh, so he was exerting his own agency over somebody else creation somebody else's creation and it, it kind of like I think interrogates the idea of like what we do on this podcast and like what a lot of game critics and what a lot of art critics do when they're when they're looking into art and like kind of um creating their own like extremely subjective take on a thing and yeah. and and where that stops being okay like at a certain point like you you can read so far into something that you come out the other end and you're just kind of like imposing your own will onto a piece of work instead of right. taking it for what it is um that is what the beginner's guide is exploring uh and does so in a really like impactful and like semi-dark and also uh really like gratifying way it's really cool it's a really cool game um and i recommend playing it It, you can play the whole thing in like one sitting it takes like an hour hour and a half um and is is a really strong work uh and a great follow-up to stanley parable would you say you should play stanley parable first yes absolutely okay 
Gotcha. Cool. Yeah. Check it out. Uh, next up, we got Rocket League. This is probably the big commercial hit from this year. Which is wild because it was like a free PlayStation Plus game when yeah. it came out. <laughs> uh, and also yeah. was a remake of a game by the same developer, uh, Psionics Games. Do you know this about this game? I didn't know that part of it, no. Yeah, so Psionics Games, uh, who made Rocket League a couple years earlier on the PS3, released a game called Super Awesome Robotic Battle Cars. Um or something like that. A little less catchy. Yes. Um, It was something along those lines. But anyway, uh, it is literally Rocket League. Just does not look as good and has a much longer name. And apparently, like, gained a really loyal but very, very, very small following. Um, And eventually, the developers said to themselves, this is a really strong concept and we just packaged it in the wrong way. And if we try this again and make it look better, it'll succeed. And they were super right. Because Rocket League was a huge hit. Um, I remember when the beta came out, just playing it, like, endlessly with all my friends. We would just hop on PSN and just play it for hours and hours and hours. It was, like, the closest I'd ever felt to, like esports like as a person uh yeah, i was so sure. surprised at like not only how fun it was and how competitive i was getting but like how eventually the more i played the wilder shit i was starting to pull off and the more like high level moves i was starting to kind of uh get in ingrained into my muscle memory really 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 fun for those like first like year i don't know that first like year or two i would say i played rocket yeah. league like pretty intensely yeah it's it's a good example of like a very very simple concept with like infinite um, ways to execute it you know you're just cars playing soccer basically yeah yeah uh and uh it's it looks cooler than that i just got an image of like pixar cars playing soccer yeah uh, mater is definitely the most broken defense player um <laughs> but uh yeah it's a great game not really much to say about it other than that like it's wonderful if you missed it it's probably still fun to play i don't know if it's still active online or not but it really is it super is oh good then yeah check it out it's a great time um yeah. rocket league moving on to mario maker uh we got the sequel this year mario we, maker 2 yeah we sure did the first one um mario maker 1 was i don't know it, just like an amazing thing like it's kind of wild that nintendo made it themselves so it's worth noting um about mario maker that for years and years and years there was like a really 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 big um online scene of people making their own mario levels and mario games entirely like already like that was a very common thing um i think the the thing that everybody kind of knows from watching like speedruns and games on quick and stuff like that are the kaizo mario levels yeah um just like super hard shit Um, The fact that Nintendo eventually decided, let's just take that and turn that into an entire platform and like release it as a game. And you can just go do that and then download other people's levels and play them and things like that um, was just like such a radical and cool thing. Um, And that community for so long was so vibrant and fun uh, in a way that honestly, I don't think the Mario Maker 2 community is like, I think the Mario Maker 2 community right now is like really starved for content. They just released, they announced recently, I think this past week or two weeks ago, as of this recording, at least um, that they're adding the ability to play as Link from Zelda, which is so funny. (laughs) Um, But they're like adding a bunch of like wild stuff to it now. Um, But I think people uh, really, really, really connected with that first Mario Maker and made some really incredible stuff. And uh, yeah, great game. Really great game. Um, Very cool. And uh, two is also extremely good, uh, even if the community has kind of died down a bit. Yeah, we'll see if it bounces back. I mean, you know, it goes up and down. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this this one, obviously a huge impact for the year. Uh, next up, our favorite Alto's Adventure. Uh, we talked about Alto's Odyssey on the show, but not Alto's Adventure. Pretty similar game uh, developed by Snowman, a mobile developer who also went on to make Skate City uh, an Apple Arcade. Alto's Adventure is a 
skiing game you're just going downhill basically you tap to jump can hold to do uh flips it is one of the most zen beautifully designed platformers out there uh yeah. mobile or not it is great uh alto's odyssey also an incredible game but Alto's adventure set the standard um and yeah it's just hard hard to say anything really compelling about it it's just like really good really relaxing i'd recommend odyssey as well um yeah love it yeah they're both great i think yeah that's about as much as i was gonna say about it too it's just <laughs> like an extremely zen game and uh yeah can't recommend it enough uh that and the sequel yeah um next up we got Downwell. Well, down well. Okay, cool. So uh, finally, 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 after all this time, I got what I always wanted, which was a uh, Spelunky like for mobile that like worked really well. Um, This is made by uh, one developer from Japan, uh, I think published by Devolver eventually, Um, but is a game in which you are a a small humanoid person who jumps down a well and you shoot bullets from your boots and you use those to (laughs) hover a little bit, but also to shoot enemies who are below you who are trying to kill you and also uh, to avoid obstacles and things like that. You can also jump on the heads of some enemies and the entire point of the game is to just make your way as far down the well as possible until you make your way all the way down to the bottom where there is one last big boss fight a la Spelunky. It is a really, really, really incredible game that controls super well considering how fast-paced and frenetic and and, and uh, heightened um, you kind of need to be to be able to press the on-screen buttons in time. Uh, but it works super well, has all the classic stuff that you would want out of a roguelike in terms of um, having like permanent unlocks that don't really like change a whole lot. So in this case, it's just color palette swaps for the game, uh, some of which are absolutely unusable and some of which are really great. Um, <laughs> but also includes the like minute to minute decision making of, OK, you find yourself in a shop and the shopkeeper is allowing you to either buy like more health back uh, or, you know, some other thing and you have to make that decision or you end up in an item room that'll change the way your uh, gun boots shoot um, and the trade-off between like okay if I pick this up it'll also heal me but it'll make my gun boots worse Um, so like is that trade-off worth it do I want to get further down or do I want to play it safe and keep using the guns that I know how to use it is a really spectacular game that has since been released for pretty much every platform. Um, so yes, I played it and loved it on iOS, but um, I imagine playing it with real buttons is even better. So yeah, down well. It's great. Also, uh, the developer got picked up by Nintendo like pretty much immediately after. They were just like, please come work with us. And That's I don't amazing. think he's there anymore, but he was there briefly, uh, which is cool. That's This is the game where you have to hold your Switch vertically to play. Yes. Right? Yeah. And you can yeah, take off the Joy-Con, so cool. one of the Joy-Cons and uh, use that <laughs> to play. That's awesome. Down well. Oh boy. Um, <laughs> Our next. last game of 2015. <laughs> Our last game of 2015. One, uh, my third bolded one. Yeah, this yes. is my third bolded one. Mass Effect 2. Uh, and then uh, Last of Us. Now Undertale. Uh, God, I <laughs> don't even know where to begin. Um, so this is a game we have yet to devote an episode to, but I talk about pretty constantly. It was... It had no reason to be as huge as it got this year. Like, this was a largely made by one person. Uh, He had some help with the artwork from an artist named Tammy, and uh, I think that's about it. But Toby Fox wrote, coded, produced, and composed this game. Uh, uh-huh. And it was on Steam one day for ten bucks, and like I think he had made a name for himself uh, doing some music for for some web comics or something. But like for most people, this was their introduction to him, and this game exploded. 
it, it was and I think for for good reason, I think. So what is it? It is an RPG borrows a lot of influence from Earthbound. I went in knowing that I went in knowing it was like kind of a retro RPG and like everyone just told me just play it. It was personally recommended to me by a lot of people and I went in completely blind, which I would recommend doing. I want to talk about it, though. And chances are, if you're in hour five of this episode, you won't mind spoilers. So I want to <laughs> say some stuff. But this game is one like without using hyperbole, we talk about show we talk about shows. We talk about games we love on this show constantly. Undertale is one of the most beautiful experiences I've had in like a piece of media. Uh it is the thing I've experienced that somehow juggles the tone of being hilarious, heartfelt, inspiring, scary, sad, like somehow depending on how you play it, it pulls off all of those tones. At, at its core, it's a RPG where the the selling point is that you don't have to defeat enemies in a traditional way. So you learn pretty early on that you can get out of a lot of turn-based battles by taking actions with monsters, which range from, like, talking to them to joking with them. And, like, every battle, you get a sense of, like, some type of character there. And that that exists. It's sort of there. And then you're also told how to fight enemies, like, normally, where you hit them with a stick or whatever. The turning point is where a lot of people find out what the game is really about is at the end of the first area, the first character you meet who's like friendly to you Toriel won't let you go until you defeat her in combat and if you do in the traditional way that you've kind of been pre-programmed to play any rpg she dies like her heart breaks her soul which is represented by like a heart emoticon breaks in half mm -hmm. and she's gone uh, and a lot of people reset the game at that point. They're like, oh my God, I can't believe I just did that. I regret that. I'm yeah. going to start again. It wasn't that far from the beginning where I can undo that action. If you do that, Flowey, the first person you meet in the game, an evil flower who tells you it's kill or be killed down here, calls you out on resetting the game and says like, you regretted that. You killed her and you felt bad about it. Like know that you're not the only one in this world with that kind of power and goes away. And that's the moment where you learn that this game is doing something well beyond what you think it's going to be. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I think the reason it <laughs> succeeds. So there's a lot of meta stuff going on. Essentially, it's a game about how it, it, it takes how you expect to play a game, especially an RPG, killing enemies for experience, saving the game via save points, naming your character. All those classic traditions are given narrative weight that matter in the world. I think the reason people fell in love with this game so much is because the characters are immediately endearing. Like you, uh, very few RPGs have a cast of characters that just open up themselves to you this immediately and this strongly. And the fact that the game, uh, I remember the first time I played it, I, I had a, I had a hunch that like killing enemies is probably not the way to go. And and you're set up. Each area has like a boss monster. So the first area is Toriel, who wants to adopt you and won't let you go until you prove yourself. Um, the second area is Papyrus, who is Sans' brother who is this sort of Don Quixote uh, skeleton who loves hunting humans, but like clearly means no harm. Even if he kills you, quote unquote, you don't actually die like in other combat. You wake up like in his house in like a cage, but like the door is missing. So like <laughs> you just, you know, like he is so benign that like he doesn't even actually harm you in the combat. And I remember when I played for the first time, I was like, there is no part of me that will ever kill Papyrus. Like I'm going to get through this no matter what the game throws at me. I can't kill him. I love this guy too much. Yeah. And in the boss battle with him, which was inevitable, I refused to strike. I did all the actions and then it ended with us becoming friends. And it was such an organic moment that I then later learned that 
the game is all about that. The game is slowly like it really. And that's why I think you should go on blind because it's not immediately obvious that you shouldn't be killing creatures because there are other monsters that seriously want to kill you. Yes. The next two bosses, uh, Undine, who is the protector of the monsters, doesn't trust any human and wants to kill you. And Metaton, the celebrity robot, wants to kill you to be famous. <laughs> so, you know, and then there's Asgore, of course, who needs a human soul to, you know, break a barrier. The 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 A plot is kind of there as a MacGuffin. The the real story of the game is getting to know these characters and them responding to your actions as a player. So you play the game the first time, you get the neutral ending, and then at the end you fight Flowey, who has corrupted your game file uh and whenever you load it flowey becomes this like really disturbing creature that kills you and it's seemingly impossible to win but you eventually do and then it gives you the option with every character you're given fight or mercy and it gives you fight or mercy for flowey and it's like every time you select mercy flowey looks at you and goes if you don't kill me i'll come back Right. And I'll kill everyone you love. Jesus. Uh, and like, there's no reason to show mercy to Flowey. It doesn't have a soul. It has been the bane of your existence the whole game. It has scared you on a personal level. But if you refuse to succumb to killing it, it eventually, it eventually has an effect. And it just tells you next time you play the game, don't kill anyone. And if you do that, you get the pacifist ending, which is honestly just so beautiful and so inspiring there's a line in it that always gets to me it's corny but it is revealed that flowey is actually the son of toriel and asgore it became flowey whoa because as a um the scientist uh alphys yeah tried to bring back their son using determination which every time you say the game it says it fills you with determination determination in the game story is what humans have where no matter what they come back that's you as a player coming back after you die every time incredible but in the world of the monsters they don't have that they are pre-programmed to die and that's it Mm -hmm. so they tried to give asriel their son determination and it got rid of its soul and it became this horrible being flowey that's wild Um, okay flowey ends up absorbing the soul of everyone in the universe to end the game once and for all and by doing so becomes itself again and you fight it and it says uh like there's a moment where there's like seemingly no hope this thing is too powerful and it says uh you can't save anything but maybe you can save something else and it uses save in all caps from all the save points and you reach out to all the characters who are inside Asriel somewhere and reconnect with them through the story beats you've had with them through the whole game then eventually you get to Asriel and Asriel is like, I just never wanted this to end. I missed you. And it's referring to the first fallen child. It's so fucking good and heartbreaking. Yeah. And it eventually for a split moment becomes the real Asriel again, breaks the barrier and saves everyone. And you get that happy ending and it is so worth it. And the game could have just been that and it would be great. The fact that at the end credits, Flowey shows up again and goes, okay, cool. Like, what else do you want? That was the (laughs) happy ending. Why are you still here? The only thing that can threaten everyone you love in this game is you. You know, like, let it go. Let them be. But if you can't, I'll see you. And then he says whatever you're you named your character now it's revealed at the end of the pacifist run that your character's name is frisk whoever you named your character yeah is the first fallen child who is revealed to be the uh character that takes over frisk in the genocide run so 
There is an optional third playthrough where if curiosity gets to you and you want to see what happens if you kill everyone, there is a very different story that plays out. That's where you fight Sans at the end and Megalovania plays with a song that's kind of become a meme at this point. Yeah. But at the very end of that game, you see the fallen child. It looks like you, but it's a little scary. And it goes, hello, I am. And then it's whatever you named your character. And it says, Wild. whenever cool. you level up, whenever you see a stat increase, that feeling, that's me. <laughs> and it's and it says let's destroy this point in this world and move on to the next and then the screen just fills with nines and the game crashes and you can't play it again <laughs> you just can't wait what do you mean you can't play it? like you can't even if you open up the game it's just black and you hear like wind if you wait 15 minutes a text box appears and goes curious you're still here like it was you who pushed this world to its end like why are you still here that's amazing i didn't know and any it asks of that. you okay. if you're above consequence and you can say yes or no and then it lets you get the game back if you give that character your soul if you do that if you ever do a pacifist run again, it changes the ending to imply that that child killed everyone still. So like in the happy ending, you see like a photo of, of everyone. Mm -hmm. and if you sell your soul and then play pacifist again, it shows that photo, but all their faces are crossed out and it has the fallen child in place of you. It is so <laughs> scary. And like, it just shows you that like you are not above, like the game never really forgets what you do. I have never done that. I, I eventually years later tried to do the genocide run just out of curiosity. And that's the, the brilliant thing is the game calls you out on that. Papyrus doesn't even fight you he's like you look like you're on the rat bad path like you seem weird you don't laugh at my jokes like let's just be friends and yeah. like he just immediately shows you mercy Wild. like cool it's it's so hard to get through because if you've done the pacifist run you love these characters so much and the game knows that and the fact that that exists at all is like so interesting the only two boss fights that are very hard are sans and undine and like it's kind of worth it to see those fights because undine the whole game is this like heroine of monsters that will refuse to open up to a human but in that version of the game she is the hero the music that plays is called Battle Against the True Hero, which yes. is a nod to Earthbound. And it's like one of the best songs in the game. And she's real tough and it's a real fun fight. I got to Sans and then I just reset the game so I didn't wouldn't have the awful <laughs> ending in the future. Um, and if you do that, Flowey goes like, really? Okay, fine. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I can sit here and talk about the small events, but like why I love this game is the pacifist ending. And the fact that the other things exist just like enhance how, how thought out this game is in terms of like Toby Fox knowing how you're going to play it and like really writing around that. There's even a line Flowey has in the genocide run where he says like, at least you and I had the guts to try this. We're not like those sickos who just watch it. Yeah. Like, incredible. This is all old hat because like people, People have have dissected this game and, and made up like I mean it got so big that you couldn't escape the like wild fan theories and, and Toby Fox has even commented on like how stressed out he was, like how big this game got. Because it is it is such a niche thing that somehow exploded so violently. Yeah. But and I kind of felt like I had to like I loved it so much that I had to like be chill about it for a couple years. <laughs> um, but then Deltarune came out and I felt it come right back. I think this game is a work of art in every way. The music is great. The characters are so endearing and and amidst all the meta stuff there's a really good story you know that's i think what makes it work is like none of that meta fourth wall breaking stuff would work if there wasn't like a really strong cast that just was inherently interesting and fun um 
God, I I can't sing this game's praises enough. The hype is worth is real. It's it's wonderful. Yeah, I didn't finish it, but I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, are you do this with every Boulder game? Of mine? I think um, you are. No, I I I talked about this game um on the show with you once, but um yeah, I played up until a certain point. I got really stuck at it, and I just like couldn't beat it. And um I don't know, I haven't played it since. Uh, but. I loved every moment of it that I played. And I, like you, I mean, you played it, loved it, and then, like, put it on ice for a while because the community around it was, I think, toxic and not great, and Toby Fox was yeah, stressed I mean, out and all that stuff. Yeah, I yeah. did not play it because the community was toxic and Toby Fox was stressed <laughs> out and all that stuff. I was like, I don't even want to dip my toe in this fucking lava. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then right. it turns out that it wasn't lava at all. It was just water that was... Uh, dyed red with food coloring um so then i went swimming in it and loved it um i just haven't gotten any further um yeah it is it is incredible um and i am really excited to see other games pull from this in the future i think that this is going to be a game that is going to like stand the test of time and inspire a lot of other games as of this recording as of this piece of the recording you and i have already talked about one called guildlings which is out on ios right now um, which I think is like clearly taking some inspiration from what Undertale uh, accomplished, you know, and also pulling from things like Earthbound and, and the things that Undertale was pulling from. But, sure. Um, it's hard to not compare a game like Guildlings to to uh, Undertale. Um, oh, yeah. And I'm really stoked to see what happens with Deltarune when it finally drops as well. Me too. I, I can't wait. I mean, I think Toby Fox is clearly just a brilliant dude. And like everyone who has worked with him on the game is incredibly talented. And yeah, it, it just feels like, you know, it, it's definitely an homage of a lot of genres within, you know, the RPG genre if you will it's, it, there's a lot of clear influences even in the soundtrack like a lot of songs are like direct nods to chrono trigger songs or earthbound songs um but there's such an identity of its own here and like you said i think i've i could already name a couple games that i think have pulled influence from it and the influence is like just the writing of the characters be like i feel like a lot of times in games there are moments that are like written to be important you know like uh not to knock on ff15 but we just talked about it so it's on my mind uh you know there's like that monologue that noctis has like two minutes into the game and it's like this isn't a bad monologue but like i don't know why i'm hearing it now and i don't feel like i know you well enough to know like what this means whereas like Every moment spent with these characters, like whether it's a funny moment or like, I I think there's just very vulnerable moments with all these characters that could easily be written as like jokes because they're so goofy. Um, But like the fact that we spend like a night at the bar with Sans eating French fries and he like gently warns us about a flower that he's heard about, you know, like, yeah, those moments like the 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 balance and tone in a game that is so goofy and colorful like there's a darkness underneath it all and and that darkness can either be overshadowed by like the joy and compassion of your actions as a player or it can like take over the entire game you know uh and i think that that's that that juggling of tone i think i can see games trying to do that in the future with like being having those dramatic stakes without having to be dramatic everywhere mm-hmm. you know you can you can tell a dramatic narrative starring a skeleton and in, in track shorts you know <laughs> somehow yeah uh, yeah i i i can't sing this game's praises enough that is 2015 <laughs> uh you want to move on i i gotta take a i gotta put this passion on ice i think yeah let's uh (laughs) let's take a break uh which will be a long time for us and a very short time for you dear listener so 
Don't touch that dial and stay tuned. We'll be right back with uh, 2016. 2016. I wonder what's going to be on the list. Goodbye. Steven. It's the year 2016. A pretty fucking awful year across the board. Um, My hair was green the whole year. I don't know. Was it? No. (laughs) Never dyed my hair green. Don't get me started on 2016. My hair was green the whole... You think you get one month off, but no, the whole year green. The whole year green. 365 days of green strands. (laughs) You think Death Stranding is green? Woof, look at my head. Check out Um, these locks. This is weird. We need to move on. Um, So... (laughs) 2016, um, <laughs> this was the year that I got a PS4, so this is sort of like my return, um, and yeah. a lot of the games that we talked about earlier, uh, such as Dragon Age Inquisition and Bloodborne, I basically picked up this year, so this this year in my head, at least for video games, marks like my return to what is modern, essentially. Yeah. Um, how about for you? <laughs> I already had a PS4, Steven. I was so fucking in it already, man. You've always been a modern boy. You I've couldn't been... you couldn't reach far enough into the well to grab my ankles and pull me out at this point, my guy. I was so deep in that shit. What is this? What's going on with you? Are you okay? <laughs> 2016 a new... was a weird year for me, Stephen. Yeah, I understand. I just, this is a new energy for me that I'm not used to. <laughs> It's like I'm seeing a new color for the first time. Look, Um, we're 19 hours into this recording. (laughs) Yeah, but this, like, we're, truth be told, we're recording this in separate pieces. Nobody can know. (laughs) Oh, my God. They have, this is is longer than the years it took to make these games, this recording. (laughs) What's the first game we're talking about in 2016? (sighs) The first game I have on the list here is Oxenfree. Uh, It's a game that I talked about in our, I think, our very first spooky season. Um, But regardless... Yeah. Uh, it is made by Night School Studio. Uh, actually, a couple people who I think used to work for Telltale worked on this game as well, which you can definitely see the influence. Yeah. Um, it is almost entirely dialogue-driven, with the exception of like some light puzzles. It's mostly dialogue. And it has what a lot of Telltale games and Witcher 3 both have, where there are like timed dialogue options. So everyone is timed. Usually, like it will give you like, you know, eight to ten solid seconds. Sometimes they're really quick and sometimes they'll mess with you where like things are upside down or whatever. But mm-hmm. also not answering is an option too, just like in Telltale. But regardless, uh it's starring an ensemble of young adults who go to this island. Uh the main character, Alex, has recently lost her brother and she's sort of like estranged from her group of friends because she's still kind of processing that. Um and she's also like there with her new stepbrother so there's that kind of tension there and um there's a lot of like as i talk about it now and look back on it there are a lot of every character in that group is trying to either start a new relationship or end an old one um you have alex who is there with her new stepbrother uh her friend ren is trying to uh like he has a crush on nona and she's kind of like sort of just neutral to everyone and then you have clarissa i believe who is your older brother's ex-girlfriend who's like actively trying to not befriend anyone and is like awful for the yes. first half of the game yes um the, so like what all those rela- clarissa explains it all in real life would be clarissa in this video game <laughs> yeah, yeah everyone kind of has like a 90s edge to them yeah um but uh basically all those relationships depend on your actions as a player the things you say 
say all all the dialogue options are very important and there's never really a right thing to say and i think the timing mechanic makes it super immersive where you kind of have to do a gut pick where you're going to end up saying things that you probably would say in the moment yeah, uh, the story, you will trip of course, and fall onto your own stupid choices constantly in this game, <laughs> and it's great. It's so good. Yeah, it, it is really good. Uh, it, it also, um, for those unfamiliar, it eventually gets into sort of a supernatural element where there are ghosts on the island. It's kind of like that movie. I always forget what it's called. I think it's Frequency or something. Where like, Ca- oh, okay, uh, Cars 2. Okay. There's the Aurora Borealis where uh, the guy talks to his dad from the past. Um, anyway, time keeps looping, and there are ghosts messing with the with the characters and um it's a pretty cool honestly kind of scary adventure that by the end is really heartwarming and there are pretty like crazy amount of endings for this game some of which you would have like like i looked up uh, after i beat it like what the other endings were and i was like i can't believe that's an option um there are some really out there ones which is really cool it's it's great it's it's a really wonderful game i'd recommend it it's on everything at this point it's on ios it's on ps4 i think it's on switch um, it is on switch I, yeah i'd actually recommend it on honestly whatever is easier for you i played on ps4 and i liked it a lot it's got an amazing soundtrack and it's really beautiful the environments are like water colors and and it's just like a really aesthetically pleasing game both sonically and visually so yeah. whatever platform is best to deliver that i would say get it for that yeah i liked it or i like the idea of playing it on a tv but i played it on ios and also had a great time so most pretty, of my friends point being, yeah. you can't go wrong with it you can't go wrong platform. with it yeah uh so oxen free is definitely one of my favorite games that came out that year yeah um Totally. Cool. Uh, okay, let's go in uh, a tonally different direction and talk about Titanfall 2. Hell a game yeah. by Respawn Entertainment, uh, the makers of Titanfall 1, Jedi Fallen Order, the 2019 video game, and also Apex Legends, another 2019 video game. Yeah. Um, Titanfall 2 is a game that got absolutely fucking dunked on. Uh, by its publisher EA. Uh, It just came out at absolutely the worst time because if I'm not mistaken, it was either the same week or the week before EA also launched Battlefield 1. So they were Mm. like, here's a triple A gigantic first person shooter that you've been waiting for for a long time. And also here's Titanfall 2, Um, which like did not bode well for this game. So people didn't really pick it up. It kind of just like flopped almost immediately from like a just sell-through perspective but if you bought this game and you played it uh what you got was maybe one of the best first person shooter campaigns and stories uh like ever like maybe ever (laughs) um (laughs) this game i have a hard time comparing to anything but super mario odyssey or super mario 3d world or yeah it is it is the super mario uh game design tenants down to a t just like copy paste it into a first person shooter in that every level that you play through is just an incredible new idea that only sticks around as long as it's fun and then stops itself immediately as soon as you're like i can move on to the next thing and then you never see it again um just like quick examples there's one level where uh you're going through so titanfall known for obviously you can get in a big fucking titan and you're a robot and you shoot stuff but also you can run on walls you have a grappling hook like there's a bunch of like really wild traversal mechanics um one of the levels takes place in a a, a gigantic factory that's fabricating entire towns like it's making whole uh whole like houses and buildings and 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 town structures like roads and stuff in a in a huge 
gigantic factory i think to be sent to planets that are being terraformed but like these entire towns are uh either you know completely flat or upside down or tilted uh you know 90 degrees sideways so you have to run along the like the top of uh or like the side of a house sorry to to you know get from point a to point b and things like that and you're basically just jumping across all of these towns that are getting built before your eyes uh in an attempt to overthrow uh, a, a sentient and evil ai that's building these houses and that just sticks around for maybe like 15 to 20 minutes and then from that level you move on to another one which is the one that everybody points at uh which is the one in which you get a a bracelet that lets you travel through time by pressing l uh, the left trigger Whoa. Uh, so you'll be like running through the air There'll be a bunch of people in front of you. You'll press a button in midair to go back in time to go behind where those people are and they're not there because you're back in time and then you turn around press the travel through time button again and they're like where the fuck did the guy go and you are behind them and then you shoot them and they die um and stuff like that will happen back and forth where you are like running through a level and like maybe the bridge is out and then you travel back in time run across the bridge travel back in time again uh and then you've made it across this gap or vice versa like you know maybe a thing is under construction and then you can go forwards in time and then it's there it is like one of the wildest levels of any game I've ever played. Um, and it is just one very, very, very small piece of what makes Titanfall 2 really great. Um, it is like a stunning achievement. It is super funny in a way that I didn't expect. Um, and uh, surprisingly heartwarming. Uh, BT, your Titan in this game, is just a big robotic puppy dog uh, and he's fun <laughs> to hang out with like an iron giant kind of type yeah um yeah titanfall 2 really good um play it i think it's cheap now uh, well it's free uh by the time this comes out it's it's the free game on pcn it'll oh. still be december yeah uh, so you can get it real cheap <laughs> Tight. uh yeah play titanfall um, 2 it's it's so good oh also the multiplayer is just amazing it might be at the point now where people are so good that it's like impossible to play it but if it is going to be the free game that means like an influx of new people will go in so like might be the time to check it out yeah i just got it uh because it was the free game and and i think we'll probably talk about it again because i'm excited to check it out for the yeah, first time ever yeah if you pl- if you play through the campaign uh i will also do that again um oh yeah it is so fun it's also really quick it's a short campaign which is nice it's like in that's and out. good yeah it's it's really cool also worth noting i like this game so much i bought it two times i bought it on xbox one and then i bought it again on ps4 i have two copies of it i just really like it that much <laughs> that's awesome yeah. Titanfall 2, glowing recommendation. I'm surprised it's not bolted based on your... That's just cream of the crop. You know, it's hard to limit it to five, you know? Yeah. All right. Uh, another another uh, left turn, Stardew Valley. Um, we talked about this recently in uh, last month's bonus episode. So if you want to hear our full thoughts on it, you can listen to that. But yeah, It's like a full yeah. hour and a half to two hours of just this game. Yeah, uh, um, yeah. but I really love this game. You really like this game. But uh, I think we both would put it on this list. Uh, and... Um, um, yeah, it's it's a really it's a really immersive Harvest Moon spiritual sequel, kind of, I guess like a life simulator, if you will. But yeah. uh, the thing the thing that shines about this game is you can kind of play it any way you want. And I think it rewards you for playing it any way you want to. Um, that seems to be a common theme with uh, a lot of the games that came out this year and later. With like Breath of the Wild going to be an example of like open worlds, not necessarily meaning like what Skyrim meant, but open world meaning like we're gonna have we're going to present to you these really finely crafted
selected options and whatever you end up picking up it's going to feel important because you chose it yeah um and i think in this game you know that could be farming it could be mining it could be you know interacting with the townspeople all of that really blends well together and um i think it's a reason why a lot of people really fall in love with this game because i think it's got a lot of reasons to fall in love with it um and i'll, I'll leave it at that because i think we we you know i don't want to repeat what we said in the bonus <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we got a bunch of games but Stardew Valley chances are if you're you know this far into our, our episode here uh, you know why we like it and you probably like it too it's a great game uh, worth checking out if you haven't it's also I don't I think it's like 20 bucks at this point I don't know yeah I don't know yeah, I, but... I wish I could go back and play Stardew Valley like the first like 10 to 15 hours of Stardew Valley I wish I could re-experience that you know yeah but Ooh. for the first time yeah it definitely is like it definitely has that uh Similar to like Animal Crossing, where it's like your first town is going to have that magic to it that, you know, whenever you go back, there's a little bit of that Groundhog Day feeling of like, oh, I know what the townspeople are going to say and, mm-hmm. and all that. But, you know, it's still a fantastic game. Yeah. Sort of Ellie. Yes. Uh, moving on to a game by Campo Santo called Firewatch. Uh, Campo Santo uh, oh, yeah. comprised of a bunch of people who used to work at um, Insomniac game. Nope, not Insomniac. Telltale. Uh, well, yes, Telltale. Uh, they the writers and designers of The Walking Dead seasons one and two, but also Irrational Games, who made Bioshock. Um, oh, cool. So alumnus from both of those studios uh, got together, started another studio called Campo Santo made Firewatch, um, a game that uh, is another like gone home adjacent quote unquote walking simulator kind of thing, which again, I always feel like is a negative term, but I actually really like that as the phrase. Um, it's like I, I saw an article recently that was dunking on the phrase Metroidvania and it was like, why do we why do we call things Metroidvania? Like it's a stupid word. It's like, well, it's just, it's just what people call things. It's OK. Um, yeah, that's kind of how I feel about walking simulator. Honestly, it is funny what terms stick like even the term movies is kind of like that. That's the one that stuck. That yeah. was like when people call movies and talkies, you know, it's like movies really stuck. Okay. Yeah. Like when the save um, button on a thing is still a floppy disk. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, Firewatch is a game uh, about a man who decides to spend his summer uh, on top of a watchtower in the middle of the woods uh, in, in the Northwest, I believe. Um, yeah. Uh, it's definitely, definitely like a... a Gravity Falls forested area. Yeah, yeah, Yellowstone-y yeah. kind of place. Sure. Um, anyway, he's uh, he, he's on top of this fire tower uh, and, and opts in to just be a lookout for any fires that are happening in the forest uh, all summer. Uh, he uses it as a way to escape and get away. Uh, and over the course of the summer, uh, slowly gets closer to a person who is working in another fire tower who he only can contact via radio because she's so far away. But if you are on your own fire watchtower and you look in a specific direction, you can kind of like just make out the light of her fire tower like way in the distance, which is kind of romantic. But anyway, um, yeah, it is a, a game that does the uh, fun gone home thing of like being way more stressful and anxiety inducing than you would expect it to be given the premise. Um, and uh, is a truly interesting and wonderful mystery that that needs to be solved. Um, it's it's a really, really, really great experience. Um, and I kind of.
kind of actually don't want to say much more than that outside of uh the art is amazing it's by a guy named oh, ali yeah. moss who is uh, or he like art directed overall the game um just a brilliant graphic designer uh and yeah, he's great and i feel like firewatch like if for no other reason should be on this list just because everybody ripped off the firewatch art like ad infinitum <laughs> yeah ever since this came out um it's like the new aerial in terms of like how to design your game yeah you know? yeah exactly uh, actually worth noting my ps4's theme is the firewatch theme oh my god it's highly perfect. recommend that theme it, it responds to the time of day and it's like the perfect atmospheric noise. I almost forget that it's that because like it, it has become its own thing for me. Yeah. Um, like your PS4 is just Firewatch. Like that's, that's, My... <laughs> that's the default PS4 theme. I know what you mean. Yeah. Um, I need to finish this game so we can talk about it in the future. I got halfway in and for some reason I just got stuck and moved on, but really enjoyed what I played of it. I actually really liked the beginning. Uh, it's worth noting that like, like you said, the most of the game is, I guess, uh, what you'd call a walking simulator where it's like first person perspective um you know light puzzles mostly exploring and, and talking via the the walkie-talkie but the beginning is kind of i guess visual novel adjacent where it's like you read through a bunch of text and you can actually choose like how the story sort of pre- you can make like light choices like you know what to name your dog or like things like that yeah it's just like a story. text adventure twine game kind of thing um yeah it it, it does it does the same thing for video games, what the first 10 minutes of Up did for movies, if that makes yes, sense. Yes, that's a great comparison. It, it, it deals with uh, the main character's previous relationship, and it deals with themes of dementia and loss. It's really powerful, and it, I think it sets the tone very effectively. Yeah. Um, so Firewatch, def- I would, even though I haven't finished it yet, which I need to, because I, I know that people adore this game, and, and the ending itself is a little divisive, so we'll talk about that in an episode in the future, but... Firewatch, wonderful. Um, Also worth noting, um, just ever since that game came out, uh, they have updated it with a really, like, one of my favorite things, and it's it's exactly the kind of thing that I would expect this group of people to do, Um, but they, they added a developer commentary mode in which around the forest there are a bunch of just VH, not VHS, uh, cassette tapes that you can pick up and put into a cassette player that you can carry around with you while you play the game, uh, and you can just listen to the developers talk about like how they built certain areas of the game while you like check it out, and it's all like That's real really time cool. in game. It's so so fun. Um, and just a really cool way of doing that. Also, they were working on a, a follow-up game called uh, Valley of the Gods, and then the developer got bought by Valve, and now apparently they're all just working on Half-Life and Valley of the Gods is like all but canceled, which is a huge bummer. Because I would rather uh, I would rather a, a, a follow-up to Firewatch than another Half-Life personally but maybe that's a hot take i don't know yeah i, I don't have much attachment to half-life i must have fallout <laughs> we've been doing this episode for a while <laughs> fallout breath of the wild for some of them. uh anyway um let us keep moving on but that is a bummer to hear although i mean people have been waiting for half-life 3 for forever so you yeah. know we'll see what happens all right next up uh, i think this is definitely on both our behalf yeah uh uncharted for a thief's end can i can um, i say the thing i always say about this game yeah yeah please I like this take. The, the the only reason that Uncharted 4 wasn't everybody's game of the year in 2016 is because it was so good that there was nothing to talk about. So there was no discourse. So nobody said anything about it outside of, wow, that's really great. And, uh, and then that was the end of the conversation. <laughs> 
it does feel that way though so this was uh this came uh when i got my P- ps4 this year uh, in 2016 it came with uncharted 4 and the last of us remastered um and i had not a played bundle. a un- it's a good it was a really good bundle and i had not played an uncharted game before this one but i read reviews and people like again like it was well reviewed people really liked it if anything it was seen as like the best uncharted game um so i played it and i was really blown away because i, I mean i just gushed about last of us uh you know earlier this episode um and i do think i like last of us more but there is also part of me that is almost even more impressed by it's worth noting um both uncharted 4 and the last of us were directed by the same person uh, neil Druckmann, i believe so like similar team of writers as well uh which is cool and i think that there's something about the writing of uncharted 4 that is arguably more impressive because well i think the story itself is stronger in last of us the fact that uncharted 4 is as good as it is is amazing because it has every right to be like the most kind of overdone generic thing like you know it's indiana jones for the fourth time for the eighth time you know what yeah. i mean but like, what's so <laughs> wonderful about it is that that's what the game is about like that exactly that is the exactly. thematic core of the game is like people constantly asking nathan drake why the f- but why are you out here again? Yeah, dude. It, it, it almost kind of has a Godfather approach where like the beginning of this game is Nathan Drake in his attic playing with a toy gun, yeah. <laughs> which is like the perfect opening. Uh, and then you actually play Crash Bandicoot, which I, I couldn't believe. That's when it, that's a sealed the deal for me. Uh, <laughs> I really felt attached to the characters right away. And they're they're really charming. I like the relationship between Nathan and his brother, uh, Sam, who is kind of like the Fredo. Uh, he's, he's definitely more likable than Fredo is from Godfather. But like there's that same similar like hey i need your help i'm gonna drag you back into this like treasure hunting life that One you seemingly job. have you know exactly yeah. so that all really works for me there's some twists in this game that really that really impress me and i won't spoil them because i think like uh, i'll just say that the fact that this game makes you play through all the flashbacks is very effective mm-hmm. i think that it really pays off uh and it's just so fun like i think for both the last of us and the uncharted series what naughty dog has proven they've done the best is honoring film as a as a medium while never forgetting it's a game like so rarely do they take control away from you uh the climbing mountains and swinging around and all the platforming is just like so good it is like you said it's so pitch perfect like finally executed that there's nothing to say about it um, the only gripe I have with the game is that I think some of the combat sections are a little bit like, you know, enemies take forever to kill. And it just feels weird that like as Nathan Drake, I can't move to the next area because I haven't killed everyone. It like, doesn't seem like in character. Like he's the kind of guy that would probably like throw a grenade, swing away and climb up a mountain. You know, he's not going to make sure everyone is dead yeah. before he moves on. But that's a nitpicky thing. I think. The combat is fun when it's either stealth or when it's a big enough environment that you can still be swinging around and climbing and doing all that while fighting enemies. It just only comes to a stand, like, it only kind of comes to a screeching halt when it's, like, just shooting. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's it's a beautiful story. I, I felt like, I, having come into the series with 4, I felt like I knew all the characters' relationships pretty well. I really liked where it went. And I, I think you're right. I think the fact this story is entirely rooted in the idea of like nathan no longer wanting to be nathan drake is like why it's interesting yeah you know 
I think it's awesome. Uh, it, it's just it's just a really nice it's a really nice story, and I think it ends really well. It's a really positive experience um and it's even though like there are stakes and drama and like you know stressful moments like it, it's a pretty like uplifting game to play like you'll feel good oh, absolutely once you it, it is such yeah. a joy i mean it yeah it does all of the camp of indiana jones like perfectly it, it is yeah. yeah a really great game moving on to <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry jackbox um, Party pack three dude I honestly, if I had to look at like what I have played the most, it's probably this game, to be honest. My friends and I have played so much Quiplash. It's unbelievable. And it is such a joy. Yeah. Uh, uh, worth mentioning. OK, so I, I was really, really particular because I was like, there's going to be a Jackbox on this list somewhere. Yeah. Uh, and I needed to pick the right one. Two, close contender. Three, though, I think is the one. So this one has Trivia Murder Party, Quiplash 2, Gespionage, TKO, and Faking It on there, which like some better than others but most of those games are the best jackbox games i would argue. i would say yeah i would say uh so quiplash for those unfamiliar is basically cards against humanity but you write the prompts or you write the answers so like you'll get a prompt the hosts are all unbearable just blanket statement like you have to the part of the it's almost like rocky horror where you do call outs part of the experience is heckling the hosts yeah, yelling at schmitty yeah schmitty <laughs> schmitty for schmitty Schmitty for Smash. Wow, that is hard to say. <laughs> but uh, uh, Quiplash, everyone will get two prompts on their phone. And it, so it'll be like, what's a silly thing to call a car with legs or, you know, whatever. So that's a weird prompt. But I whatever. like that prompt. So it's actually, you know what? Maybe I, maybe I should take Schmitty's job. <laughs> I, I would probably be way better than Schmitty. Just Do you want a bunch it. of anyway, people yelling fuck Steven, though? Don't become what you hate. Anyway. Steven for um, Smash. You get Steven for Smash. <laughs> Anyway, you get two prompts on your phone and you write in and then it's presented to everyone and people vote on the one they think is funnier. Um, it's a lot of fun. Uh, it is so funny. I, I have cried laughing. Like, get the right group of friends and just have like the most surreal time with it. Yeah. Uh, so Quiplash is definitely number one. Um, Trivia Murder Party can be fun. This is one of the most unbearable hosts because they make them sound like Buffalo Bill from Sons of the Lambs. And like mm -hmm. they do not stop talking. It's fucking awful. But it's a fun game and especially good at the end because everyone who dies is a ghost. And uh, there's like a race to the finish line of like who can get more answers right. And the ghosts are given an extra answer. So they get like a bit of a the ability to get ahead faster. Yeah. So that one's good. I would say uh, TK. KO is definitely my second favorite. That is where um, you draw a bunch of pictures on your phone and then it's so you see draw a bunch of pictures and then you write a bunch of prompts just like whatever you want. Just, you know, the less you think, the better. And then it combines all of them into T-shirts and you vote on which T-shirt you want to win. And it's all presented in kind of like a Digimon, like over the top anime style. Yeah. Um, all the all the creatures remind me of Digimon, which is why I say it, because you can choose who you play as. That one's really fun. It requires a lot of setup, but that one can be very funny. My favorite t-shirt, which I think I shared on Instagram, was my friend Sadie drew this really disturbing image of Sonic. And the and the phrase was never heard of him. <laughs> I, like, I literally bought that, and you can buy the shirts yeah. if you feel so compelled. I'm like, I have to. This is the one shirt I'm gonna buy, and I I have it. I also I own a shirt. It, it's a it. uh, it's a bunch of uh, stick figures kneeling and looking at a big light in the sky, and it says, "Please lift this curse." <laughs> yeah. So, Tiki has a close second. Faking it 
is definitely i think the third favorite of mine um it requires moving so like it definitely is needs to be played like if if everyone feels like energetic enough to do it but um basically one person has to lie and uh there's one where like so it'll it'll be like raise your hand if you've had x experience and you know everyone will raise it but someone doesn't get the prompt and they have to just blend in they yeah they um, just have to decide if they should raise their hand or not the worst is there's one where you have to make a funny face and it's like that is impossible to do as the faker yeah uh so we did one game where we just kept whoever whoever loses gets to pick what the next round is it's like raising your hand pointing doing the funny face and they kept choosing one of them is like a number funny of face. fingers i think yeah the funny face one is truly a nightmare yeah, it was so funny though i think i think um, the the first time i really got into faking it with a bunch of people we outlawed the funny face one we're like <laughs> it's, it's too easy to tell who the faker is the person loses yeah. immediately yeah it's it is rough you need to like wear venetian masks to actually do that successfully um but yeah i mean in short jetbox party pack three definitely the best one i've played uh two four and five and like there's some there's a handful of fun ones fibbage is a fun game um but this is like simultaneously the most fun and the funniest to play uh, i would recommend it you can get it on anything and you can share a room code with like anyone and play together it's like one of the best party games you can you can get and it's just so it's just such a blast i'm glad you put it on this list i love i love these games yeah big fan yeah. Uh, next up, we got Overwatch, another big title that came out in 2016. This was also a game when I got my PS4. It came with Uncharted 4, Last of Us, and then I bought alongside it uh, Fallout 4 and Overwatch. Those are my first four PS4 games. Yeah. Um, not a bad, not a bad collection. No, not at all. And Overwatch for a while, I got really into it. It was my go-to game for a pretty significant time. I got like decent. I was never like professional or whatever, but I was I was golden in competitive play. So like again, pretty middle of the road, but like enough where I kind of knew what I was doing. Yeah. Zenyatta and Diva and Lucio were my three heroes of choice. Nice. And um like I, I've mentioned that I I haven't gotten into a lot of shooters. Although at this point I feel like that's less of a relevant statement because between Splatoon and Team Fortress 2 and Overwatch and then uh this year I got uh, experience at Apex Legends with you and the other games like I think I, I've definitely opened up to the genre more but I don't seek out like online competitive shooting really except with Overwatch I really liked Overwatch and I, it ranged from uh, doing competitive matches and like kind of getting into it or my favorite thing to do coming home from work was do uh, random heroes on arcade and put uh, on my Spotify and just like yeah. play that and just completely chill out and like honestly that got me better at the game because it forced me to play as everybody and I got to really see like who I liked playing as and why. Um, yeah. And it was and just also so funny. what to avoid when playing against other characters. It's like, right. oh, wow, I've gotten really good at Reinhardt doing this one specific thing. I imagine everybody who plays Reinhardt does that. I should look out for that in the future. Exactly, exactly. And it yeah. just, it just like every character in that game is so like everyone feels like you're playing a different game. Um, yeah. It's just, you know, I, I know Blizzard's kind of in like, I don't want to, I mean, I think I can sing the praises of Overwatch independently of like approving of Blizzard's like problematic business decisions. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I think right. like the people who worked, the artists and developers who worked on Overwatch did an amazing job. And like, it's just, it's really, a wonderful game i haven't played it in a bit but i am always wanting to get back into it and i always enjoy like the seasonal events and, and all that stuff like, there's just such 
love put behind the characters and the presentation. I, I, I like it a lot. You can criticize some of the monetization of like the loot boxes and stuff with the cosmetics, but overall, I think it's it's a great game, and I thought it deserved to be on the list. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I mean, beyond anything else, it was just like a cultural touch point of the year. You know, it was oh, yeah. just like such a huge success and, and, yeah. and maintained that success for like another year year and a half after that like it was huge for a long time kind of only unseated by like the battle royale stuff that started happening but i mean for a time like overwatch was the one it was a spiritual successor to team fortress 2 which is the thing that everybody wanted and and i mean that cast of characters was like so immediately likable um like you i also played as lucio but my my main main was was farah like i always played as farah because that that was just top gun like the video game it was so fun (laughs) like she's so cool um Yeah, my favorite thing in this game, hands down, and I would do it every summer because they would bring it back in the summers um, during like the the like Olympics uh, event that they would do, was a mode called Mayhem, which I know is around other times beyond just the uh, Olympics event. But uh, Mayhem was pretty much all of your abilities recharge, I think, either twice or three times as fast as they usually do. Uh-huh. Um which does not make matches go on longer. They don't end twice. I mean, it doesn't make them go shorter. It's not It's not twice as short. Everything is either twice or three times as long. Like, matches can go on for, like, 45 minutes to, like, an hour and a half in that game. Wow. Um, in that game type specifically, because, like, Mercy is always able to respawn everybody. Lucio is always able to have his, like, full health blast going at all times. Reinhardt always has his shield. Like, the idea that everyone has their ultimate at all times means that the game becomes more about strategy than anything else, which I thought was really fascinating and, like, a cool kind of turn for what, like, classic Overwatch feels like. So just a little recommendation. If anybody out there is still playing Overwatch, check out Mayhem whenever it pops up again. I think there still are. I think, I mean, it's definitely definitely not as big as it was, but I think there's definitely people still playing it. Um, I think, too, the animated shorts are just so good. Like, uh, I I always wanted to see more outside media. I feel like everyone kind of felt that way, where it's like, why isn't there, like, a show or something? Like, because there's so much, like, lore teased at with the characters. I think the best one is definitely Bastion's, because there's no dialogue at all. It's just so... It's just such a powerful story told entirely through visuals. Um, They're a little corny, but, like, they're... They're, they're really endearing and they give you a good sense of the character again following in suit of the uh of the meet the heavy meet the pyro from tf2 uh, which were also really fun shorts um yeah. meet the pyro is like easily my favorite i still love that one so much because uh, <laughs> no one knew what their deal was and like of course that's you know that's their deal i, I won't spoil it if you haven't seen it it's, it's a really 2012 good, yeah. clip but you know it's it's really funny um yeah I'm excited. I, I'm weary because, like, I really, truly would love to check out Overwatch 2. Um, it's coming out in, like, kind of a rough time for Blizzard because, like, you know, it's just, like, in a situation where it's like, do you want to give Blizzard more money after doing what they have done kind of thing? But, yeah, uh, yeah we that's a, that's a conversation for another day. I probably won't, but, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. But, yeah, Overwatch, lovely game. And, it, like you said, just in- completely a huge event for this year. You know, you, you couldn't, even outside of games, I feel like these characters kind of just entered like the public consciousness. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. Overwatch. Overwatch. Um, moving on. Um, should we do the, the trifecta? No, maybe we should end this year with the trifecta. Okay. Uh, I'm going to do <laughs> my, I think fifth and final bolded game of the decade. Wow. Shocking. 
Uh, Ours were kind of spaced out a little bit. Yeah. Uh, weird that it's not one of the ones from 2017. But uh, anyway, um, this is a game that is called The Witness, um, which I think might be surprising to some people that it would be on my list of my favorite games of the decade. But uh, man, uh, The Witness, it is a game by Jonathan Blow, uh, who is the developer behind Braid, um, a figure in the gaming community who has a whole bunch of weird shit going on with him uh don't really know what his vibe is i think it might be bad but regardless <laughs> uh the witness i thought was a really 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 incredible game i i absolutely loved it um just on like a very high level uh it is a game in which you are walking around kind of like mist just a very beautiful island um a way more beautiful island than the mist island actually if i had to really nail it down oh yeah the the are here and oddly kind of inspired by firewatch i would argue a little bit in terms of the the palette and stuff yeah yeah it kind of has a similar vibe i mean they're you know developed in tandem the witness was in development for like i think like seven or eight years like it was like oh wow like as soon as braid was done they started working on the witness it was gotcha. like wild but yeah, it's, it's a beautiful game <clears throat> gorgeous else. game but anyway you're, you're walking around this island um and there are uh panels set up on the walls and on trees and all over the place and, and on this island uh, that just require you to solve little line puzzles that go from like a sphere, which is the beginning of the puzzle, to wherever the line ends and you just kind of have to figure it out. Um, and essentially it just starts as solving very simple mazes, um, but then kind of quickly blossoms, depending on what part of the island you're on, into a uh, mazes that have different rule sets attached to them um so it might be as simple as like uh if you see like a little tetris l block that means you have to create an l block with the line before you can finish the maze or something like that but you know eventually over time they will start to iterate on those rule sets and then start to combine them in ways that are like absolutely mortifying like you'll just see a puzzle and just go nah i think i'm good and then just turn your <laughs> ps4 off and immediately go to sleep um but uh, I, I have never. <laughs> so that was really funny. Now I'm good. <laughs> it was immediately like REM sleep. Yeah. <laughs> I have never. I, I didn't think that I would like this game as much as I did, but I found it to have like a profound Tetris effect on me where once yeah. I started playing it, once it came out, all I did was think about the witness and all I wanted to do in my free time was play the witness to the point where if there were certain puzzles that I was stuck on, I. I would uh, take pictures of them and then I would draw them on post-it notes and then put them up alongside my monitor at work. And I would like, while I was working, just sit there and stare at them. Because you can all, I mean, they're all things that, that you don't need to be playing the game. Like this could have... Let me go backwards. You could have just released a book with these puzzles in them, yeah. and that would have been fine. There's no reason, really, ostensibly, that this needs to be a game until you start playing it more, and then you understand why. Uh, the puzzles themselves, like the actual panel puzzles, can all just be like printed out in a Word document, and that would be fine. So that's what I kind of did with a lot of them, was I would just put them on Post-it notes, and I would solve them throughout my day. Like, whatever ones I was stuck on, I would have them there. I just remember I had this one stuck on my, uh, on my computer, 
monitor for like maybe five or six straight days of work. Wow. And then on the sixth day, I was just like working on something and I just went, oh my God, I'm an idiot. And then solved it immediately. Like I just knew exactly how to do it. Wow. Um, I I love, love, love this game. There is a huge, huge, um, I don't want to call it a twist, but there's a thing about this game that if you don't know it already, I don't want to say anything that would potentially spoil it. But there is like another half to this game that is not uh-huh. in any of the marketing material um, or anything that will not only change the way you play the game, but will also change the way you like see the world, like the actual real world that you inhabit um, in a really interesting way that will over time, the more you kind of give in to solving puzzles and 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 interacting with this second half that I'm teasing will start to unravel and, and allow you to start to uh, ingest like the philosophy of the game of which there is like a pretty profound one. Um, it, it's kind of an amalgam of a lot of different ideas, uh, but is, is really, I, I think um, without getting too like heady or weird about it, like I think it's kind of enlightening and interesting. Yeah. Um, and it all culminates in uh, once you've solved every puzzle on the Island of which I did, uh, you eventually go into a place that was at one point blocked off for whatever reason. Uh, and what ensues is a thing that is just called the challenge capital T capital C. Um, it is the last trophy in the game. It is the one you need to get the platinum. And what it is, is essentially a series of, I think like 12 to 15 completely randomized puzzles that incorporate every rule from the entire island. So so it's it's not a situation in which, like, say you're stuck on a puzzle, you could go online and look up a solution. The game is on the fly creating new puzzles and incorporating every rule to make sure you have learned the language of what the island was trying to teach you. And it is maybe one of the hardest things I've ever done in a video game. I live streamed. (laughs) Uh, for five straight nights, I would come home from work, and then for three hours a night, I would try the challenge. And it was on the fifth night in the first like hour that I eventually got it, and it was like the most overwhelmingly beautiful experience I've had playing a game, finishing it because it's so anxiety-inducing as you're doing it because it's also timed. I didn't even mention that it's also a timed oh my challenge, God. <laughs> so you have to solve it. Um, it, it plays. Uh, it, it starts with you uh doing a simple line puzzle to turn on a record player that. Uh, is is blasting Hall of the Mountain King? Uh, oh yes, yes. In, in this in this like big chamber that you're solving all these puzzles in, so it's going and you know it just gets big and bombastic and stuff. But when the song is over, it resets and you have to start from the beginning again if you didn't solve it in time. And uh, yeah, solving that puzzle is like maybe one of my favorite experiences in a video game. Um, I don't know what was driving me to do it. Um, outside of maybe it just being winter time and me trying to avoid seasonal depression by solving puzzles uh as to not think about the cold maybe that was (laughs) i think i think you and i have both learned a lot about what we like i think we share a lot of tastes in common but i think we both have like certain like micro elements we we are drawn to in both your words and mine i feel like you have often said how you are drawn to games that i mean you can look at this list even the ones you've highlighted uh not so much destiny but uh fez and binding of isaac and definitely animal crossing new leaf <laughs> definitely animal crossing new leaf are games where uh well the link i would draw with animal crossing is the sense of of habit and pattern and ritual 
Mm, yeah, but true. with Binding of Isaac and The Witness, there's a sense of like you learning the mechanics and and adding to them and 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 learning like the language of the game and proving that you've learned that against like an unstoppable force. Yeah, uh, that's I think what you also like about games like Hollow Knight and 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 like the Soul series. There's a common ground there. Um, but you also I think even earlier this episode you said you liked puzzles and that's great. I think this game is like perfect for you. It's yeah. it's like it's very much and I've been meeting, I've played it a bit. At friends' houses, it's it's a lot of fun. I haven't like sat down and had my own experience with it. Um, I think you said it brilliantly. Where the reason this is a game is because of of the environment and the second half, which I haven't gotten to. So I appreciate the uh, the lack of spoilers there. Thanks, friend. Yeah, but, totally. uh, yeah. It's it. I think I think that there's a reason why this game is so high for you, and I think it's a beautiful one that's equally enlightening. Yeah. I wish it was on Switch. Um, it feels like it should oh, be. be. Perfect. It's on yeah. iOS. Like you can, like there are other platforms you can play it on. Um, it's not on Switch yet. I I think there's like some tumultuous shit going on with it ever making it to Switch or not. I don't really know gotcha. what's happening, but it just feels so made yeah. for it. Um, and I just want more people to play it. But at the same time, I just I remember watching a video a long time ago. Um, I think it was called uh, "The Witness is a Great Game and You Should Not Play It," in which it was like an hour and a half of just like great reasons to not play the witness so i don't know like maybe watch the trailer and decide if it's for you or not um, but <laughs> i will only talk about how much i love it yeah yeah cool game speaking of games people said to not play next up we got no man's sky <laughs> 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 um i think uh so i have only played this game a little bit uh for those unfamiliar uh this game was probably one of the most hyped up games like in the decade honestly like this this had such unbelievable amount of hype kind of out of nowhere and it came out and like most people were incredibly disappointed um it has since had a lot of updates and like i think has come closer to what it tried to deliver but more importantly i think it's become its own thing independent of what people kind of filled in the blanks for it with but i'll let you speak more on its behalf but i just sort of wanted to set the stage there yeah uh oh man uh no man's sky <laughs> uh oof. A shining example of like the worst side of the internet, um, just dunking on a thing. It's also honestly one of those situations in which like they extremely under delivered on on what the promise was. Um, yeah. Like Peter Molyneux levels of like promising and then not <laughs> getting the thing. Right. Um, but maybe like one of definitely the first instance on this podcast of of um i think us visiting a thing or maybe me in this case playing a thing and trying to find the fun in something that a lot of people hated um, yeah. and just seeing like okay there's uh, there's a huge like atlas level weight of expectation on this thing yeah. um, what is the thing we actually got and like what is the merit in that and and you know if you if you take it and remove the expectation and the lofty whatever from it what's left uh and and i think no man's sky was actually a really compelling game right when it came out just some really horrible like truly horrible game design choices uh in that first iteration unfortunately like the ui yeah. was a mess the way you collected fuel at the you had to collect fuel at all was a mess like there was so much stuff that was preventing you from doing the thing that everybody wanted to do which was just to fly around in space uh and have like kind of a, a completely unhinged and generative space adventure people wanted to do that with their friends because the game was supposed to be multiplayer originally and that ended up not being multiplayer at all uh which was ye uh but um <laughs> what i found when i played it was like a really 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 um like beautiful solitary experience 
um, in which you are kind of like a space architect unearthing something that happened in this galaxy a long time ago or in this universe even i think it's a whole universe but anyway uh you know you visit things you, vi you visit planets and you start to like notice some similar tendencies between them like oh here's an ice planet and all the ice planets have this kind of plant on it or something like that uh early on and 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 it starts to become a little bit samey and you can kind of like see the random number generator doing its thing as you visit places yeah. um but in in that first iteration of no man's sky i think like although people dunked on it pretty hard and i, I think a lot of that was deserved there was a really interesting game here um For sure pause there and and then skip forward like a year, year and a half and No Man's Sky Next and No Man's Sky Beyond and No Man's Sky whatever. There's like a third one that came out uh, recently. The team at Hello Games, I think is the name of it, has now gone on to like completely Final Fantasy 14 this game into something that rules. Um, <laughs> I love that as a verb. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know how else to describe Let's it. Let's 14 of, this. Yeah, yeah. They, they just redeemed it completely. First of all, the game is completely playable in PSVR now, which is tight. Uh, it's so I played it. I don't even know if I talked about it. I don't think I did talk about it on the show. You it's haven't. so cool. It's so good it's in awesome. VR. I find that every time they release a big update like this, I will go back and play it again. Like I'll start a new save and then I'll play it for like a week, week and a half. And every time it's super compelling. Now it's like completely multiplayer, which is rad. So you see people flying all over the place. You see people like big space docks. You'll see people like hanging out in and, and like talking to aliens and stuff. It's like so goofy and weird. You can build bases and you can take those bases and like teleport them to different places. Um, there's like an actual narrative. There's like multiple narratives to follow. The game is kind of built in a Stardew Valley esque way now to like build itself around whatever you enjoy doing so if you like just delivering materials from one planet to another you can do that if you like just exploring new planets you can do that uh if you like space combat or any combat in general in the game you can do that and these are all different tracks of the game that will reward you for going down them it's it's a really great game now honestly and people were so burned by it in the beginning that i don't think they'll give it a chance which is a bummer um, I think, but, uh, yeah. you know, for those of you who still have an open mind about it, it's worth checking out these days. Um, I bought it for like the full ass $60 when it came out and, uh, not gonna lie, was a little bit disappointed with what I got. But at this point <laughs> now, uh, years later, like I have had a really great experience overall with this game. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I, I just think it's, it's an important game for the decade. I think so too. I think there's also a ton of lessons to learn, like across the board, every party involved, you know, like um, as a consumer and as a team, uh, I think that there's a redemption story here, obviously. Uh, there's a lesson of like expectation and also like false promises, um, like both at play here. I think too, I'll, I'll, in this decade, this is the beginning of a lot of big open world games that all kind of promise like this is going to be the biggest thing ever. I mean, even uh, even last E3 or the E3 before that, our first episode in 2018, like every every speech before a game was like, this is going to be the biggest one yet. Yeah. You can go into a, a city on a new planet and talk to anyone and they're going to remember you and it's going to be the biggest thing ever. And it's like. <laughs> what we've learned from games, like even Breath of the Wild, which is like, you know, the blueprint now of like a modern open world game, like geographically, that world is not that big. It's it, like it's it's big. Yeah. But like compared to even like, you know, Oblivion or games in the past, like it's it's a pretty like it's probably like the around the same size as Skyrim, which is also not that huge. 
what it is is it's purposeful. Everything in in, yeah. in Breath of the Wild and in Skyrim like has intention and design behind it, and so it feels big because there's so much there's so much life in it. Uh, there's so much like design behind it. It's not just the same forest and oblivion copied and pasted. It's the only uh, shade I'll throw on oblivion. Uh, and I, <laughs> I I will atone for my sins. But you know I think with with No Man's Sky it's like we don't need uh you know a trillion planets if if it's if it's not gonna like matter at the end of the day yeah so but i think like you said like i think if you go into this game with an open mind you're gonna you're gonna have a good time i've not played a lot of it i, I played with you and with some friends and like i've enjoyed what i've seen I, I would probably enjoy it but i would enjoy it now with like the tempered 2019 expectation of the game and like going in like with my own mind but i think that's kind of i think the best thing we can do as a consumer is like to judge a piece of media by its own intention so with the no man's sky it's tricky because there were a lot of big promises that they fell short of but most of the time it's okay at this point what are they trying to provide you with and it's like okay if they're meeting that for you or if you're finding your own experience independent of that then it's worth experiencing yeah um agreed so yeah uh no man's sky i'm glad you put it on the list yeah next up we got my favorite form of social media of all time sadly no longer accessible mitomo <laughs> Yeah, this is the beginning of the trifecta of, like, Nintendo's big entry into mobile games. Um, oh, my God. There were three games that came out this year. All three <laughs> of them are on our list. Yeah. Um, and it started with Mitomo, the first the first big Nintendo mobile game. Mitomo uh, was just the weirdest and best thing to happen in 2016, I think. So it was kind of like a spinoff of... Uh, what was that game called? Tamodachi, Tamodachi Life. Life. Yeah. Tamodachi Life and like just the Miis from Nintendo canon <laughs> where you make your own me uh, that represents you and you have like a weird apartment kind of akin to Animal Crossing almost and your friends can visit you and you'll talk and there's like a social media aspect where you just uh, you can post like a question or a statement. Uh, or no, you're asked the question, yes. like, what's your favorite food? And you could answer, and then your friends can comment on that. And the best thing about it is that it's read <laughs> in your me's voice. So mine was like, hello, I'm Stephen. You know, but my friend Bobby's... I went the exact opposite direction, <laughs> as high-pitched as possible. Well, I mean, that adds... The, you know, <laughs> if like, someone so made good. us cartoon characters, that would be what we sound like. Uh, <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> My friend Bobby made his me sound like this. And like, <laughs> I, I'll never forget. I'll never forget being on Mitomo. Truth be told, probably on the toilet. Let's be completely honest. Uh -huh. And I, <laughs> I posted something to Bobby's. Uh, I, you know, I, I forgot what I wrote. Something kind of stirring the pot a bit in a friendly way. Uh, and Bobby commented, maybe you should hustle as hard as you hate. <laughs> oh, this, I can never remove his me telling me that from my mind ever. But all jokes aside, like it was honestly like a very positive form of social media. Like I felt connected with my friends in this bizarre world, uh, kind of like Animal Crossing. And I think the the prompt of like just being asked a simple question and then having your friends comment on it and like that giving you points to unlock different outfits and stuff like and there, I don't think there were any microtransactions. It's just like in-game currency. Uh, they um, did. They did eventually have microtransactions. They were. Um, uh, I think you could get like stickers that you could place on things, if I'm not mistaken, at a certain point. Oh, okay. Um, Either way, I mean, yeah. not that it's inherently bad. Like, I don't, it's not like microtransactions are like the worst thing ever. But they were so the Nintendo way of doing microtransactions, though. They were like they were so like goofy and non-essential. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And and then there was. <laughs> 
<laughs> game called Mead Drop, where yeah. you grabbed one of your friends' Mees and dropped them in like a pinball machine. And that was kind of, I think, what killed me, Tomo, is everyone had it. Like, everyone got it when it came out and was having so much fun with it. But there wasn't really much to do after, like, a month or two. I really think if there was any other game other than just me drop, which truth be told was kind of a nightmare. Like, I never really was in the mood to, like, drop my friend's me through a, a pinball machine. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I've had that dream, but, like, I don't really need to do it. And, um... Like, if they had some kind of, like, version of Wii Sports, I think that would have been perfect. Like, yeah. some kind of, like, you know, even if it was, like, seasonal, like, if it changed, like, what was available. I don't know. Like, I don't know what was feasible to expect, but, like, it, it definitely, like, kind of came and went, but I truly value my time with it. And actually, I wanted to go back to it, but it's no longer available. They just got rid of it. Yeah, yeah, um, they completely dunked on it. So the original intent behind it, if I'm not mistaken, from the announcement was like, this is, we're getting into mobile games and Miitomo is our hub for all of it. So anything you do in any other mobile game we release will in some way link back to Miitomo and will like get you more stuff that you can do in that game or like more, yeah. you know, clothes and weird stuff that you can wear. Um, I had a dinosaur head for my head. Like my my yeah. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. I'm just gonna. I just I just went and found my my profile because I had a screenshot of it and it's uh I'm easygoing softy uh which I which I love. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you should hustle as hard as you hate. <laughs> anyway. Um yeah, I loved Mitomo. I had the best time with it. The the camera that you could like just like use AR to insert the your me onto was like so funny and goofy and weird. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah, so many funny pictures. I remember like yeah, that was that was fantastic. It was awesome. Like there Yeah. Uh, I really am bummed that it's gone. Um and I think you're right. I think if they had kept it around and like actually followed through with with that original intention, like maybe it would have it would have worked, but I mean you know, they know better than we do. Uh, and it doesn't <laughs> yeah. exist anymore. So I guess I guess it sucks. I mean, Bye. they probably just saw like the numbers drop. And we're like, OK, well, we're not going to like waste time on this then. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for that for that month, it was active. It was beautiful. A game that also blew up, but also stayed and, and has a dedicated loyal following. Pokemon Go. Talk about a definitive game of 2016. Yeah. The summer Pokemon Go came out, that was like, like we, we've talked a lot about Pokemon on this show. We talked about Sword and Shield most recently and how we felt that that kind of had the magic of red and blue. And it does. But like the volume of people like third grade people at recess running. I remember uh, in third grade, people would run races for Pokemon cards. Like one person would like mm -hmm. pull out a card and people would run and whoever <laughs> won the race would get it. It was very dystopian, but it happened. And Pokemon Go got to that level where like I couldn't go outside and not see people playing it. And it was super exciting and honestly like a very positive moment, like just for the country in a weird way. Like <laughs> the world. I, I, Maybe that's a big stretch, but, like, just the idea that, like, I could go outside and, like, see someone playing it and we could, like, tell each other, like, oh, hey, like, there's a Scyther over there. And, like, yeah, I don't know that. Like, I, I know, like, it got a little crazy with, like, how many people were playing it. Like, I'm sure there was some negative interactions, unfortunately, but, like, 
my experience with it in Chicago was like nothing but positive. People were out more. It was a summer catching lapras by the lake. It was great. Yeah. Uh, it came I out right when I started working in New York City also, yeah. uh, which was just like amazing. So like I, yeah. I started playing and I would be here in Jersey and there was absolutely fucking nothing anywhere, <laughs> you know, like, right. like, oh, you got a Rattata, the first Pokemon you've seen in a week. Nice. And then Sick. you go to the city and it's like, Every single Pokestop is is uh, has the confetti because it has like a lure on it. Um, yeah, it's dude. just it's just like a, a beautiful cherry blossom wonderland in in any metropolitan area. So anyway, that was really great. Yeah, I had a very similar experience. Like any any time I played this game, it was just a fucking joy. Like I just remember like driving around two different places around me just to see what kind of stuff was happening. Um, yeah, over there and and how many people were playing Pokemon Go in different places. Like going out to uh, uh, like nature reserves and uh, like different parks and different towns and stuff. And just like seeing what people had set up was so rad. And, and it was like, not only a way for me to finally explore the town that I had moved into and the one that you had moved out of, um, but also became like a, I think a community building thing on a much larger scale for a lot of people. Um, yeah. which is so rad. And like, even I've opened it up recently, um, after, you know, we put this list together, I, I opened it up just to like, see it's still super active in this town, yeah. which is so cool. Um, I mean, they've added so yeah. much to the game and like improved a lot of features like you know the idea that you can choose like one pokemon who's like your buddy and like you'll get candy just by walking with them like that's a great addition because it used to be that you had to catch like because my, my starter was charmander but there are zero charmanders in chicago they're just squirtles yeah because uh, we're, we're by the lakes a lot of water types also for some reason drowsy is everywhere. Oh, right. I remember, like, yeah. I remember my, my friend Richie texted me. He was like, if I see another drowsy, I'm going to scream. <laughs> <laughs> and like everyone had like an ultra powerful hypno because they were just everywhere. But uh, I also lived like right by a gym. I was team Valor. Were you team uh, Mystic? Uh, no, man. Team Valor. Oh, hell yeah. Good. We're both team Valor. Wait, was yeah, that the was fire Valor. one? Yeah, Valor was the fire yeah, one. Hell yeah, hell yeah. Yeah, team Valor. Hell yeah. yeah they, they revealed the gym leaders and she was the coolest. Uh, I paid for a Twitter instinct. ad that was uh, it was just a big Team Valor logo and it just said get dunked on. I had the same. That was my at the time my Facebook cover photo. I think uh, I think I, you, Facebook. The, I think that was the one I made. Oh, was it? I yeah. stole it then. I think you stole it from <laughs> me. Get dunked on. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, Pokemon Go was a beautiful time. I uh, I also like have considered getting back into it. Once it gets nicer out, I think I might re-download it and we could talk about it. That'd be fun. That'd be awesome. Um, yeah, because they've added, like I think, the first three generations at least. Like the All the Pokemon from Johto and um, the third region are in the game now, which is wild, but yeah. awesome. Pokemon Go. Pokemon uh, Go. Of the trifecta, the last one is Super Mario Run. Yeah, it came uh, out. Probably the least successful of the three. Uh, <laughs> oh, arguably. Arguably. It does Pokemon still exist, and Mitomo does top. not. <laughs> that, <laughs> okay, fine. Mitomo is the least. You got me. Um, <laughs> Super Mario Run uh, came out in, <laughs> yeah. I think it was December of 2016. Pokemon Go didn't really count as like a Nintendo game that, that was released on mobile, because it's technically a Pokemon company. There's a whole bunch of weird shit with that yeah, it's niantic yeah yeah um but anyway uh, super mario run was considered by nintendo to be the first like real game that they like fully made for mobile um i can see my me crying hearing that like i yeah. thought i was the first i thought i was the first kid <laughs> <laughs> um 
yeah, Super Mario Run, uh, really interesting. The, the main thing that everybody talks about with this game is the pricing model. And that's like, that's yeah. like the talking point. So the way it worked was, uh, it was a, it was a Mario game, kind of an endless runner. Mario was always running forward and you tapped on the screen to jump and you would go through level by level, world by world, just like you do with every other Mario game. And I think it was the first world is free. And then after that, you had to pay $10 to unlock the rest of the game. Uh, and people fucking revolted. <laughs> like people, yeah. people like lost their shit at the idea of paying $10 for a Super Mario game on their phone. I paid the $10 pretty much immediately because I wanted to support Nintendo uh, and their attempt at making cool games for mobile. Uh, really big fan of Shigeru Miyamoto deciding to uh, fully commit to making games that can be played with one hand so you can play it on the subway, um, not realizing that that was all going to get upended by the fact that you needed to be connected to the internet at all times to play every Nintendo game. It's a Nintendo move. Yeah. It's so classic Nintendo. Or else you can't play their shit, uh, which means that I did not get to play this game on the subway at all, even though I bought it to do that. Super Mario Run as a video game, it's actually really great. Uh, I think a lot of people didn't really like it because uh, they felt it was kind of like a stripped back and and like I don't, I don't know kind of like just just a pared down mario game um sure i got into it for kind of the score chase element of it uh there's some really cool like competitive play stuff that's happening in this game uh there's a lot of stuff with uh like the eight red coins that you can uh get in every level and then there are eight purple coins you can get in every level and there's eight black coins that you can get in every level and every time you go from red to purple to black it like gets more and more difficult to get those coins you have to do like really wild maneuvers to get them really cool really like inventive way of uh getting people to replay the same eight worlds again but again it's a full-ass mario game with eight worlds uh yeah you know like it kind of ruled but i think nintendo saw it as a failure like overall um which is I think maybe this might be the only game that I put on the list um, that like was a failure. <laughs> I think in total, like like Mitomo <laughs> at least was amazing. Like I loved Mitomo and it failed in the long run, but like was incredible. I think Super Mario Run was divisive, is divisive, and like marked a, marked like a a negative point on the report card of Nintendo on mobile. Uh, at least in their own eyes and kind of changed uh, the future of what they ended up leaning into going forward, which we'll talk about in the 2017 list. But I will say personally that I really liked Super Mario Run, but I understand that I'm in the minority there. I wonder if, because do they advertise that it was going to be $10 or is that like kind of the bait and switch? Like once you finished World 1, like is that said to you prior to that? Uh, I mean, it was, it was, like pretty widely known before it came out that that was the deal um but i think people who like didn't know that super mario run was coming out you know until it did maybe maybe that was like a blindside situation i don't really know i mean because i was i'm trying to wonder a reality in which like it just cost ten dollars like prior to that like for the whole thing and if that would have done better although at this time and even still i feel like the pricing for mobile games is like kind of uncharted territory where like there isn't really like a solid metric that everyone has agreed on of like what is fair to expect like for the developers and for the consumer yeah um you know now we have stuff like apple arcade uh existing simultaneously to super mario kart mm-hmm. mobile which is like do you wanna gamble fifty dollars to play as dry bones do you wanna <laughs> pay a hundred dollars a year to play as dry bones. That was an off rhythm song. I really but... liked it. <laughs> it's like a. <laughs> 
what's that song? For the wonder of dry bones. <laughs> uh, Fox Woods. You ever that commercial? Um, like, let's have a drink. Let's have a ball. Da, 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 da. I um, thought you were doing anyway. the, the Sleepies jingle. <laughs> Trust dry bones for the rest of your life. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's 2016. Honey, I lost the house. I tried to get dry bones on this stupid fucking video game <laughs> that I spent all day playing, and I need dry bones. <laughs> We're getting way too tired. <laughs> Trust dry bones for the rest of your life. You tweeted recently that you just got that that was like a pun, the Sleepies jingle. No, that was... Uh... No. Kiss begins with K. <laughs> yeah, was, what if these were secretly all our ads for the show? Like Sleepies, Foxwoods, this is just how we all got it in. I love that idea. Yeah, really uh, unconscious marketing. Yeah, anyway, I'm going to go get a Diet Coke uh, cool, refreshing <laughs> one, you know, before we move on to 2017. Oh, fuck, I forgot I sold the fridge so I could, I could I spend the money to try to get dry bones. Oh my god, I can't believe I sold all my shit just to try to get dry bones. Fuck. <laughs> okay. 2016. That's 2016. We're going to wrap up. Uh, next year, just to hype it up, is, is wild. 2017 is going to be its own episode. Buckle up. I, I do, we are. Honestly, I th we'll talk about it 2017. Bye. Bye. Brendan, it's 2017. That's my alarm yeah. clock. <laughs> Every day is 2017 for Swing me. Swing is back in a big way in 2017. Uh, the entire Billboard Top 100 is all swing music. You know, I was gonna say this in our uh, 2012 segment, but like out in our, I got my uh, 2019 Spotify Wrapped recently, and mm -hmm. gave me like the song of the year for each year. 2012 was like the one year electro swing was somehow in my life for like it was like that year and then never again and never before it was like your top song is like we come together by goldfish i'm like what okay yeah and it just never happened again <laughs> i don't know if that was like a fad for that year or not nothing against electro swing i just i don't know it was somehow in my life then and yeah, that year only it, it definitely it definitely was a fad very briefly i think i think i was listening when was i uh in the this is not good audio let's talk about video games um <laughs> what are you doing doing wax poetic about electro swing? let's nail down the one year i listened to electro swing intensely yeah um, 2017 is arguably the best year of all time for video games. Um, the Nintendo Switch came out, and with it, the Electro Swing of video games. <laughs> Perov Solar Run. That's right. Uh, this is Perov Solar's debut on mobile. No. Um, there's a lot of stuff in 2017. It was an incredibly powerful year for video games. Uh, second to like maybe 1997 in terms of just like an amount of stuff that came out. And I feel like I'm still learning about stuff that came out this year. Weirdly Not enough, that... 2007 also was a big year. Maybe just yeah. any time the year ends in seven. Yeah, it's, it's like, like a landmark some... year for video games. Yeah, maybe. Honestly, maybe. Based on the data we have. Because 2007 um, was Bioshock, Super Mario Galaxy, Call of Duty 4, Modern Warfare, and like other stuff. But just yeah, there's those a lot three of by themselves are like, oh shit, okay. Yeah, and this year I think is probably most known and uh most cited uh for breath of the wild coming out yeah. um 
It's a game I think we have referenced in this episode already 20 times. <laughs> it was the <laughs> it was the selling point for the Switch. Uh, it also came out on the Wii U, um, which actually that's where I played it first. Uh, my roommate had a Wii U and we we picked it up. It, it, it actually plays pretty well on the Wii U, but like it was meant to be played on the Switch. And like there are, there are notable performance improvements on the Switch uh, from the Wii U version. Um, mm-hmm. But they kind of did that with like they did that with uh, Breath, uh, not Breath of the Wild, with Twilight Princess as well, uh, where it came out on GameCube and the Wii. Actually, for that game, both versions are good like you can't really go wrong with either of them but Breath of the Wild is just such a landmark for video games. I'm actually amazed that it's not bolded for either of us. I, I feel like there are two, there were three games this year that like I could have easily bolded as just like my favorites ever. Breath of the Wild is easily in in my top 10 favorites of the decade and, and like arguably the best game to be made in this in this 10 year gap it is such a as we like talk about every year in this decade it feels like every lesson that could have been learned from all the games we have discussed like with skyrim with no man's sky with like all these big open world games that we just discussed with no man's sky like how do you make a world feel big and feel lived in and Breath of the Wild is how to do it. Um, it is simultaneously such a leap forward for the Zelda series while also being leap forward for video games. And it's just a testament to what Nintendo does well, where like as many blind spots as they have with like, you know, needing to be online all the time for, you know, uh, Super Mario Run and like all the weird friend code stuff, like they do stuff like this where like no one could have foreseen how incredible this game was going to be even for the high standards set by zelda like this is just such a blueprint for the medium and and just like really a flex of what was to come from nintendo uh from this point on because like it is the blinding light that marks the point of no return for nintendo just completely returning to their to their prior selves or just dominating the industry in the best way possible yeah talking about fucking yourself over like forever by setting the bar so high like every (laughs) game that nintendo released after this has been compared to breath of the wild in terms of being like an earth shattering genre defining uh reinvention of like a classic thing um i mean breath of the wild is like incomparable um, and probably will be for a couple of years in terms of just like games that achieve this quality. The the way I remember playing this game, like the, the way my actual brain has, has filed this away is like, this is a beautiful dream that I had once. <laughs> I don't, right. I don't think of it as much as like a game that I played as much as like I went and visited a place for a while and I dream about it. Sometimes I have tried to get back <laughs> into playing this game again. Like I've tried to go back and start it from the beginning and like capture that magic again again and it like just doesn't work it's like watching um like a a Hayao Miyazaki movie and needing to take like five years before you watch it again um (laughs) and I think in in five years I probably will go back and play Breath of the Wild again or maybe who knows whatever the sequel ends up being maybe that'll fill that gap for me but I I think eventually enough time will go by that I'll go back to this game again and have that same magical experience with it all over again. But that first playthrough was unlike any game I've ever played. Like it, it was so beautiful and so willing to just contort itself around whatever I wanted to be doing at that moment. It, 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 is weirdly like Animal Crossing Stardew Valley-esque in it that can way. Be, yeah. yeah, it very much can be. Um, and oddly, yeah. 
not to be like you know clickbait clickbait like video game titles but oddly dark souls-esque too in terms of like the environmental storytelling and the difficulty this is a game that i think is a really good example of how you can make a game challenging but also accessible like i know a lot of people who don't play a ton of games or that this is their first game that like got them into playing more games yeah. and it's not easy like i'm impressed by anyone like i'm not super far into this game i i've played a lot of it but like i have i Rather than having, like, the definitive first playthrough that you did, I have, like, always, like, re- ended up back to this game. It's, like, the thread in which I experience games. Like, I go back to Breath of the Wild. And, uh, like, I've I played a lot of it. I'm, I'm fairly far in. But I, I almost don't want to beat it. Like, I don't want it to end in that, in that yeah, traditional I, way. Yeah, I never beat Ganon. I did the four Divine Beasts and then never went and fought Ganon. But I think, I think that this is a game that you could point to. Like, you're going to die a lot in this game. Like, it is not easy, especially in the beginning. Like, you have nothing. You have, like, a stick that breaks way too quick. And mm-hmm. that's actually the one, the one critique I hear this game is that the weapons break a little bit faster than maybe they should. And, like, I agree, but I think you get to a certain point where the bigger point of tension is that you actually run out of inventory space for all the weapons you want. Like, you find stuff so frequently that it doesn't really matter as much once you've, like, played the game a decent amount. Yeah. but And uh, the fact that that's, like, the only thing that people can really knock this game for <laughs> yeah. is, like, it's almost not even worth bringing up because it's like, okay, you really got to dig deep to find the one thing that most yeah. people don't like about it. I, I, I really... I feel like I also didn't bold it because it's just such an like uh, my dad once said of saying you like the Beatles is the equivalent of saying you like the color blue. (laughs) It's like (laughs) it's like cool hot take like you just like the thing that is incredible. And that's kind of how I feel about Breath of the Wild at this point where it's like obviously it's such a it is. But at the same time you can't diminish like the praise it deserves. It's just, like, worth repeating. This game is absolutely worth the hype. And also, like, it's a game I can recommend to pretty much anyone. Because I think it has somehow proven itself that you don't need to know Zelda or uh, video games really much to, like, fully appreciate this game. There's enough inviting aspects of it that you're going to stick around and you're going to... I think because it's so lovely, you're going to learn. And and I think unlike Dark Souls, where the game wants you to play it a specific way, this game wants you to play it however you want it to be for you. Um, the only thing you really need to do for yourself is to collect things and, and to like get better by collecting things. And in that case, it is like Animal Crossing yeah. or Stardew Valley, where you know it's like investing in yourself. It is just the best. You could spend hours like it, it's one of those true open world games where like you can spend hours doing whatever you want. You know, I, I spent a large amount of time just catching horses in the beginning, and that was like my main mission. It's so good. It's we could we could there are our whole show could just be us saying how good breath of the wild is uh and i think we would still enjoy saying it it, it feels like i think your dream like comparison was, was apt where it feels like this game shouldn't exist yeah uh, it, it, and it's just it's just that transcendent so breath of the wild we'll leave it there because we got a lot of games to talk about but that just like we want to do that first because that just sets the standards so high and somehow this year is full of games that like that meet it in their own way yeah. Um, you know, in their own respective field. Let me just so, seed this out. Um, hour 47 in this podcast episode. Um, 
I could see Breath of the Wild being a game that we end up doing a bonus episode on at some point. If I think so too. If you, dear listener, are into that, I guess let us know any way you feel like it. Um, I'd just be curious to hear if anyone. Yeah, because we've talked about it a lot, like in this way, where we just sort of hold it on this pedestal. And I think we did an episode where I was playing it again, and I was doing the memories for the first time, and I was talking about that. But like, we could easily. I mean, I. I know a decent amount about like Zelda lore and stuff. And like, I, I could easily, we could, we could dig deep into any aspect of the game and, and have fun with that. So yeah. yeah, I think that's a good point to bring up. Yeah. Let us know. Talk about Gorons as long as you want. Yeah. All right. Um, moving on. What should we do next? I'm so excited. Yeah. Uh, oh, God, I'll let you pick so much to choose from. Uh, should we go like complete opposite? Like as, <laughs> as far from Breath of the Wild as we could possibly get. Should we do that? I think I know which one it is, but yeah, go for it. Oh, okay. Uh, HQ Trivia. Oh, I thought it was a different one, but oh, this okay. is good too. Yeah. Um, HQ, uh, H- it was just called HQ, I guess, but I eventually got rebranded to HQ Trivia. I don't even know if it still exists anymore. It probably does. Um, anyway, uh, maybe a weird pick for this list um, because maybe it's not really a video game as much as it is a <laughs> interactive game show that's live streamed on mobile, but... Um, oh yes i remember this yeah yeah so essentially what was happening here was one of the co-founders of vine if i'm not mistaken founded a company called hq um which was essentially uh just a dude on a green screen background would uh ask you trivia questions and you and everybody else who was playing the game simultaneously would have to try and answer those trivia questions. And if you got one wrong, you got knocked out and you couldn't play anymore. You could continue to watch, but you got knocked out for the day. Uh, it happened twice a day. Uh, and if you made it all the way to the end, there was a cash prize that you would split with all the other people who won. Um, and it was a phenomenon for like a couple months. Like there were a couple months of 2017 where like Everyone I knew was playing HQ. Um, I was lucky enough, I guess, weirdly, uh, in that I was in the like New York startup scene uh, and like knew that it started when it did. So like I, I was in like that really, really, really early phase of HQ where like there were so few people playing that you actually had a chance to win like a nice sum of money um, and like ended up getting some. Uh, sometimes, which was like kind of cool, just like me and some of the people in the office. But I just remember being, I think it was over the summer or like towards the fall of 2017, I went on a trip with my friends to Nashville. Um, and at some point, like I got the push notification that said the HQ was happening. Like it was like the night one. And I just remember I pulled out my phone, my friends pulled out their phones and I was like on like a main drag in Nashville. And I heard from all over the street, a ton of other people pulling out their phones and I heard the announcer, like the the host of HQ talking out of people's phones, like all over the street, like the main street in Nashville. And I was like, I did not realize how big this game was until this yeah. moment. Cause I oh, thought wow. it was just me and my like weird insular, like startup tech friends. But that was like, that was like a real kind of eye opening moment. Um, you know, since then it's kind of faded away, but I, I think HQ like, kind of set the stage for um what kinds of experiences can exist on mobile outside of just like a standard like let's 
let's build a video game um i think it was it's like some really interesting and rich uh territory and and um i'm excited to see people iterate on this and like make something else that's inspired by it Um, yeah hq themselves have tried doing other things i think there are other hq games now um but trivia was like gigantic for a time oh yeah Um, i remember seeing it and people pulling out their phones at parties and stuff I'm sorry to cut you off there. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely saw friends playing it. I, I caught a glimpse of it. I feel like it's a similar experience to Pokemon Go in terms of just seeing like how many people were on it at one time and recognizing that people were on it. Um, yeah. That real-life interaction, I think, like you said, is grounds of, of more experimentation of what a mobile game could be, theoretically. Yeah. Uh, really cool. HQ trivia. That is as far away from Breath of the Wild as possible in yeah. in, in like a geometric way. It's a different shape. HQ <laughs> um, trivia. Uh, I guess while we're on mobile, why don't we talk about Fire Emblem Heroes? Okay, um, cool. Uh, this is also kind of an a interesting segue from Breath of the Wild. This is a game that uh, we've talked about Fire Emblem a lot on this show, uh, most notably for Three Houses, um, which is a game that you and I spent a lot of time talking about and adoring. Um, but I have a I have a decent history with the franchise. I I really loved Awakening. I really loved Fates. Um, you liked Awakening, but kind of always were at at like sort of wanting to get into the series, but not being able to. But you noted yeah. in a pretty early episode that you really liked Fire Emblem Heroes, uh, yeah. the mobile game that came out in 2017. I didn't get it until recently, and I have to say I was kind of <laughs> impressed at how... Here's the deal, here's the deal with, with Fire Emblem Heroes. I'm simultaneously impressed by how in-depth it is and how much there is. And as many of, of uh, you know, has the stamina bars and microtransactions and all that, truly having played as much of it as I have, which has been a lot, I don't think you really need to spend any money to enjoy this game. They give you, especially they've been updating it a lot and they give you like a lot of rewards just for like checking in. Like you, you get heroes pretty constantly. Yeah. There is that like lottery gambling aspect, which you could criticize, but um, I think overall it doesn't feel like uh, it's a pay to win kind of system, at least for the level I'm playing at. Um, I do all, I do feel though when I play this game too much that I, I my brain feels the way my stomach does when I've eaten too many potato chips <laughs> where I'm just like I need to move on. <laughs> um, but it's fun. It, 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 yeah. It's definitely it's definitely uh, simultaneously a streamlined vers- version of what Fire Emblem is mechanically. Um, but it's having its own kind of meta meta depth of what it itself is doing. It's hard to put it into words, but like there's a lot more than meets the eye with this game. I think in terms of like how much can go into composing your team of four and what skills they learn and all that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, it, it it weirdly does kind of follow the exact same formula as Super Mario Run in that Super Mario Run was like paring down the the Mario formula to like its its most basic elements. Like, okay, well everybody's just holding down the run button anyway anyway when they play Mario, so like let's just do that for them. So then the only button you have to press is jump. Um, Fire Emblem Heroes kind of feels similar in that it is like the most basic like the actual gameplay when you're actually going level to level is the most basic version of fire emblem possible um and that actually makes it a really great entry point i think for anyone who wants to check this franchise out and is like even a little bit curious about it outside of that it obviously had like huge ramifications in terms of being a gigantic cash cow for nintendo and like yeah the the baseline for how they monetize all their stuff from that point on which i i think uh is definitely important to note 
Um, but I, I think you're right in saying, and, and I agree having played a lot of it also and eventually needing to delete it off my phone because like I played it too much, <laughs> but like, it's a good game. Like it is, it yeah. is successful at being a fire emblem game. Um, it is the one that I put the most time into before three houses, uh, which is saying a lot cause I played a lot of them. Um, I will say there's nothing here narratively that like is why I like the franchise. <laughs> yeah. It is kind of impressive. Like they do they do make an effort to have a story, but it's not while you're playing it. Uh yeah. and like I, I think that's my point of tension of like having this be your introduction to the series, because like you're probably it, it might be off putting with like because there's it, it, it's every character from the entire series, which is kind of funny because like <laughs> I feel like they definitely know which characters are more popular based on who is rarer to get. Like I lucked out. I got Byleth, who's the main character for Full Houses, Full Houses. Good grief. Whoa. Th- <laughs> if this was a regular episode, you, you know that would be play the rest of the episode. Somebody <laughs> who loves you. Um, Byleth from Three Houses, I uh, got them right away, and I was like, oh, thank God. Um, but then, like, I keep getting that dude with the mustache from, like, one of the first games. I'm like, I don't want this guy. <laughs> He's, like, the the common, like, Rattata of the of the game. But, uh... It's fun. Yeah, I, I think I think it's it's a good intro mechanically, but I don't think it has what I actually like about the series. And I think oddly enough at this point, I don't think any of them do to the level that Three Houses does. Like I feel like <laughs> that's like the one I feel like I start and end with at this point based on like what the series has become and what it once was, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Um but yeah, Fire Emblem Heroes oddly, I think both a success for Nintendo and mobile, but also like them succumbing to like every monetization <laughs> pressure, uh, right. while also avoiding like needing to do it. Like, I, like the, the a lot of the stuff that like could really get in the way doesn't. But I think like I could see why this makes them a lot of money, and, and that is kind of like unsettling in some ways. Yeah, um, there have been other Nintendo and Pokemon mobile games since this one that have monetized way more heavily and are like way more of a bummer. Uh, Fire Emblem Heroes was kind of like dipping a toe in that water and because of that manages to actually avoid a lot of those problems yeah um, but it's it's yeah, fun it's good it's I was surprised that it, I I think I will probably move on but yeah it's I think it I think it deserves to be here if only just to kind of track Nintendo's history with mobile yeah um, moving on oh we got so many choices here yeah um, Splatoon 2 is on the list um <laughs> I made the cut. This is your welcome inklings. (laughs) You're welcome inklings. Your uh, uh, Inktopia is, is that the city? Is that That, what it's called? That sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. Inktopia has been spared the wrath of the, (laughs) every other game is destroyed. I don't know if that was established. (laughs) (laughs) This is, this is the Noah's Ark of video games. (laughs) Every other game. Kaboom. (laughs) Blammo, done. (laughs) (laughs) And I made dust. I just imagine like the the Dr. Manhattan just like holding out his hand going, just like annihilating (laughs) shit. To every other video game. Yes. Sorry, Majora's Mask, eat shit. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, sorry, Infamous (laughs) 2. Sorry, Just Cause 2. <laughs> Shit. Um, Job asked God, why? Why'd you destroy <laughs> Just Cause 2? <laughs> why do bad things happen to good video games? 
Um, Platoon Two is uh, Incop Incopolis. It's the name of it. Incopolis. Yeah. Was spared the wrath of the Aether. Yes. Um, Splatoon Two is great. I've talked about how there's only been a few like online competitive shooting games I've gotten into. Splatoon is for sure one of them. I think it's a great example of Nintendo building like both a game and lore around one very simple mechanic. Just the act of like painting a well-built environment and being able to like swim around in that paint alone is really fun. Yeah. Um never mind like adding that to a third-person shooter. It's one of the I don't think it gets enough credit as being as one of the more creative games Nintendo has made. I feel like uh, I think it's because there isn't like up until recently with the uh like Deep Sea Metro DLC, there hasn't been like an extensive single player experience. It's like pretty much just been playing online. Yeah. But I don't know. I think it's a I think it's a really well designed game. I love the fashion choices. Like, I, I just love to all say the ways that, you can customize your character. Uh, for all the things that we can say about this game mechanically and just how wonderful it is to play online, um, the thing that really, really stuck out to me and still sticks out to me is just the like impeccable fashion sense. Like the the leaning into streetwear and turning that into like how you upgrade your armor and and make yourself better and get perks and stuff is like just so brilliant um it is like yeah i, I feel like so many games attempt style and and don't hit it you know and in this game like absolutely hit the nail on the head um oh like, yeah I, you didn't play splatoon one right i just played two yeah yeah one was good, don't get me wrong. Two, I remember when it was going to come out, I was nervous that it was just like a copy-paste, like almost a deluxe edition, kind of like a Super Mario, or sorry, uh, like a Mario Kart 8 deluxe thing. But this really surprised me in being its own game, being updated as constantly as the first one was. Like, they really had a long runway for, for keeping this game active. Um, and it flourished because of it. I mean, it's a it's a fun game that I still turn on every yeah. once in a while. Yeah, it's still... I mean, I feel like whenever I go back, I'm, I'm like, excited to see what I missed and what's coming up. Like, the... Uh, well, there is nothing coming up events. now, unfortunately. Like, it is done. Oh, is it? Yeah, as of, like, a couple months ago, they were like, we have no more updates planned for Splatoon. Uh, like, the final... Um, gotcha. What was it called? What, what were the, the battles? Like, the big battles? What were they called? Oh, my God. Um, I gotta look it up, because we, yeah. like we have to know. Splatfest, where you like choose a side. It'll be like, yes. you know, uh, retro or classic or uh, yeah. not retro classic, but like competing ideas. Like for Halloween, I think it was like trick or treat, basically. Yeah. Um, so they, they did the final Splatfest yeah. recently. Like the game is technically like wrapped and done. Um, but I mean, it had two solid years of runway of like cool updates and like new levels and new weapons and new fashion being introduced like constantly. And that that rules um, like all as free yeah. updates for this game. Uh, with the exception of the one like big DLC they updated or they dropped, which like of course they should charge for that. Um, yeah, Blizzard yeah. Two was great. Yeah, really wonderful. I'm looking forward to the future of the series. I think there's a lot to do with it still, uh, even after all they've done. Um, and it is kind of the weird. Uh, I mentioned this before in like an early episode, but it's like the summer reflection of of uh, Animal Crossing's fall and winter. We're like yeah. same development team. You can kind of see that with like the the town is like the the hub world and and the customization of fashion and, and like just sort of that interactive element. But, you know, obviously centered around the the shooting mechanic. It's a great game. It's one of my favorite shooters, honestly. I yeah. really love Splatoon. What really surprised me about it was like, here's Nintendo releasing a making their own fully online multiplayer shooting game and like kind of making it work. There are still some like bizarre Nintendoisms about how you play online sure like the fact that you could party up with your friend and then end up playing against them like they get put on the other team 
from you like real bummer like really bizarre but also <laughs> at the same time they allowed you to like purchase things that were in the shop because all the shops would turn over their stock every couple hours or whatever so they gave you the ability to like look at and see what the inventory of the shops were from your phone using the nintendo switch app like you would log into the nintendo switch app go to the splatoon section and then see those shops and be able to buy stuff like that's the thing that not even destiny does that i wish destiny did like furiously because same yeah. <laughs> deal like they they have shops that turn right. over every couple hours um so like splatoon was like weirdly innovative in in the online space while simultaneously being like such a fucking nintendo product <laughs> at the same time yeah but in the best way too it's also like nintendo's filter over like what would be like you know everyone's trying to make like a competitive online shooting game this is nintendo's and like yeah. it's it screams their character um yeah. and like i love it i love the world i love design i i, I have the art book of splatoon it's great um oh it is cool really, i've seen really, it yeah I recommend yeah yeah it's great splatoon 2 uh spared the wrath <laughs> 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 Um, what else has survived the purge? What do you want to uh, talk about next? This list is like the, almost always game. Like this, this list is almost all games that you or I could have put down here. Yeah, these are these are this is we're getting more into uh, games for both of us. Um, even though like one of us, I feel like both of us put games on behalf of the other on the list. Sometimes like Breath of the Wild, obviously it was like we're right. both gonna put that on. Splatoon 2, same thing. We're in a point now where, like, we're so not chill about the games coming up that I almost want to save them for, like, a gauntlet at the end of just us, like, trying to contain our love in a, in a digestible <laughs> format. Uh-huh. So why don't we talk about Fortnite and PUBG first? <laughs> <laughs> Which, yes, we've included as the same game. Yes, we, we, put, we, we did put Fortnite and PUBG on the same, in the same cell. Yeah. Uh, so technically, I will say uh, this is a little bit more you, although I, I didn't protest this being here. Like both, all the games on the list were not like we are fine with being there, even if one or the other, even if like I put something that Brendan didn't put and maybe wouldn't have put like we are in agreement on what's on this um, Fortnite PUBG. I have only played a little bit of Fortnite. I've not played PUBG, uh, but like this is in terms of like the effect it's had on the industry and like how big it was and is and probably will be like, I think it kind of deserves to be here just yeah. for that. Yeah, totally. Um, but you have more to say. Yeah, um, PUBG. I I've never played like PUBG proper. Like I never played it on PC or on Xbox or whatever. Um, but I did play a lot of PUBG Mobile when that came out because it just felt surprisingly good. Like the control scheme really works and is compelling and fun. But I mean, PUBG being the the like the first real battle royale game that kind of took off and became a gigantic thing, which then paved the way for Fortnite, which came out almost immediately afterwards or Fortnite battle royale specifically, uh, which came out almost immediately afterwards. And then I think has eaten a lot of the lunch of PUBG since just because like the team that made PUBG could not iterate and release updates fast enough First, Epic games, which has like all the resources in the world to make Fortnite the biggest game of all time, um, which I think it is probably at this point or maybe less now, but you know, at this point when it came out in 2017, it was gigantic. Oh yeah. But I, I just remember thinking, like, going into E3 that year, like, this is going to be the year where everybody is making their Destiny clone, which already means they're too late to start working on their PUBG clone. Like, that that was, like, every, every developer that's been working for the past, like, three years and ready to announce their big, like, always-on pseudo-MMO game is, are, has already missed the boat of what the next thing is. Um, which is right. funny because I feel like that started to really proliferate like between last year and this year's E3 where like we actually really did see those Destiny like start to come out like Anthem and, and the Division 1 and 2 and things like that. But but now everyone is trying to like cram Battle Royale games in 
to whatever they're making. Like there's the Call of Duty Battle Royale game now. There's there's so many. I mean, there's Apex Legends, things like that. Um, and there are even more coming out and even more being announced like every day, it seems. Um, but it really all started kind of here. Not that like Battle Royale was was a new idea per se, but but in terms of like this big survivalist like ring closing in thing, like literally taking the movie and book Battle Royale and turning it into an actual playable video game like these are the ones that did it honestly like i've again i've only played PUBG mobile but i know some people who played it and loved it a lot but like fortnite is honestly a good game we did talk about it on the show i think in one of our very first episodes of this show we talked about like the what is good about fortnite in the same way we had that whole episode about minecraft once i was like just kind of taking a really long look at a game that is gigantic and like deserves to be like you can't have a game be that big and be that bad you know what i mean like it has to be good sure um, on some yeah, level, I think you get that big and you have detractors. I mean, I, I never really clicked with Fortnite as much as like, I mean, neither of us like got super into it, but you, you gave it more time. I, uh, I only had it on switch, which I feel like might not be like the best way to play it. Um, on switch but, with uh, a pro controller was a great way to play it. I played it on the TV gotcha. with a pro controller and it fucking ruled I, that that was like I my was, main way into Fortnite, And I loved it. Gotcha. I was playing handhelds like fresh yes. with no guidance and like had weird, like, teens like yell at me so yeah. uh you definitely yeah, did not have experience. a great experience just i, I remember <laughs> your story i think you no one yelled at me but described it as like, like breathing. yeah <laughs> it was it was nightmarish but like even in my like i could see even even in that bizarre like one-off experience i could see why it's popular i mean i i played more apex legends which is pretty much the same general idea with like more refined gunplay mm-hmm. um and i really enjoyed that so like i can see why this is an enjoyable game for a lot of people um and i think we've also oddly commented on like the pricing model and, like how they do microtransactions as being like a better example of like how to be less predatory yeah it still has its problems but like not having loot boxes and just having like okay here are the items for sale today and they're going to be different tomorrow and like you can and here's buy them how much it costs yeah yeah i think it's a slightly better way of doing that type of stuff than like having loot boxes or having you know whatever else people use that's more predatory yeah. Um, so yeah, Fortnite, PUBG, two video games, two video games. Uh, also, <laughs> like I, I, uh, I mentioned the letters to Santa thing. I do like every, every, every kid wants Fortnite toys and Minecraft Legos. It's like the biggest thing. Yeah. Like it's it's beloved by all kids, and that's cool. I mean, it's also like marketing and and stuff. But you know, like there has to be something that's widely beloved by kids and, and it seems to be doing, I, I don't really know what to say about that. If that's a like good or bad, it just is the way it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't think it's a bad so, yeah. thing. No, it seems, it. yeah, yeah it seems whatever. like, yeah. I mean, I, we had street sharks, which was like actually bad. So, yes. you know, this is probably better than street sharks. It probably, uh, that's my review. I think it Fortnite. is better than street sharks. <laughs> probably better, better than, than street, street sharks. sharks. <laughs> Spared the wrath. Uh, anything else to say about that or do you want to move on not really i just like it i've revisited a couple times since but yeah um yeah sick fortnite PUBG off the list moving on i want to bring up next this is another one that's probably on behalf of both of us mario kart 8 deluxe Um, yeah man so this uh the reason we put deluxe this essentially the same game as mario kart 8 for the wii u which i would argue is the alongside super mario 3d world is like the one of the must plays of the wii u generation yes and so happy they deluxe is basically that game 
with all the DLC and everything that they ever released for it in one package for the Switch. It's also a must play on the Switch. This game is something about the the art direction and the style of this game. Whenever I put it on after playing literally anything else, I marvel at how beautiful this game is. Yeah. Like, I think you you and I have played this game online together when we just sort of want to catch up but also be playing something. It's like yes. a perfect kind of background. Mm-hmm. And we both marvel, like, how, like, gorgeous it is. Like, one of the best-looking games on the Switch, honestly. Yeah, it, like, still, um, somehow, even still. though this game was built for the Wii U and looked exactly the same on the Wii U, it is maybe the best-looking Switch game. <laughs> and while Mario Kart is Mario Kart, this is... I would argue one of the more skill-centric Mario Karts out there. Like, the items are a lot... Like, for example, Mario Kart Wii felt like Fortnite Battle Royale, where it was, like, just the purge of, like, everyone getting a backpack of a different item, and it didn't really matter <laughs> what you were doing. Yes. Like, it didn't matter, you know, it's whatever... It, it was just, like, chaos everywhere. Mario Kart's always going to have that, but with this game, like, you're only going to get items when you're in a certain place and Mm -hmm. usually what happens is like the people in the in the first six places are kind of like doing their own thing getting shells coins and bananas and then everyone else is getting the items that like really help propel them forward to like stand a chance yeah it honestly works out really well and this game is tough like you kind of have to know the levels to stand a chance i i have slowly been committing myself to getting first place three stars on every map on every difficulty of this game yeah i have a weird i did that on the wii u version yes yeah i've done that with uh 150 cup but i haven't done it yet with mirror or 200 Mm -hmm. but i think mario kart 8 and alongside deluxe the introduction of like customizing your cart both aesthetically and like you know stat wise with like different tires and different propellers and the the variety of characters you can play as it's just easily the best mario kart i think ever yes um you know there's nostalgia for the other ones but like i think the one that came close to this is double dash in terms of like being a little bit more skill centric and having that customization totally agree yes and this feels like the fully realized version of double dash uh in terms of what mario kart can offer and this this is a game that i think is perfect for you and i to talk about because one it's nintendo and we're like truth be told nintendo like fans it's it's clear in every episode but um Two, uh, it's a game that can oddly go ignored for how big it is and like it's sort of like a a no a no-brainer like pick up mario kart and enjoy it but like what this particular mario kart is doing i think is unique from the rest of the series excluding double dash i think it's like a really cool step forward for the mechanics of mario kart as a racer and i think that like if they follow in the footsteps of this game i think this could be like they don't even really need to ever release a new mario kart because of how like how surprisingly deep the gameplay is here and like how much variety there is with both the levels and 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 all that stuff i i I love this game i think it's fantastic yeah a conversation i keep having with friends of mine just about musicians and just like some of the biggest like pick any of the biggest musicians of all time right now like any of them yeah like why would you ever make another album in a way like why would you ever take that chance and make another album and like what if it's terrible and it sullies everything that you've done before like not that it would but you know like what if you make something that's so bad that everyone hates you and you undo your own legacy that's a little bit how i feel about mario kart 8 where like (laughs) (laughs) like if they make another one and they add another mechanic that just like ruins mario kart then everyone's just gonna go back to playing eight deluxe because that's the kind of the only one that matters anymore in in my eyes yeah Um, i think i think we can't talk about this game and its importance in 2017 without mentioning the fact that like this is one of the switch launch titles and and just the brilliant 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 decision to make every single 
character that you can play as and every single level that you can play on immediately unlocked as soon as you purchase the game and put it in. It made it yes, like absolutely essentially the perfect game to buy first for your Switch because it so perfectly encapsulates everything that's good about it. Like the the device itself, like you had that you had that um, that ad that everyone dunked on initially of like the people bringing their switch up to like a rooftop party and like taking the joy cons off and then, you know, crowding around the little switch screen and like playing multiplayer up on a rooftop. But that is a thing that actually happens when you have Mario Kart 8. Like if you have that and you have the switch in your backpack, you can be at a bar and pull out your switch and play Mario Kart 8 Deluxe like with your friends at a bar. And I have done that and it is like really goofy and everyone's like, wouldn't it be like really dumb if we did this? And then you do it and you have a fucking blast because it's it's perfect. It is a perfect game to have with you at all times. So the decision to just say, we're going to port this over and unlock everything. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. And I kind of wish they did that with more Wii U titles. Like with, uh, I mean, there wasn't really DLC for Mario 3D World, but like, I mean, I think... I think that when you have a game that has been as updated as this one that had DLC at the time to just re- in a weird way, that's almost what Smash Ultimate kind of feels like where it's like, yeah, you know, it has the full roster of like every game before it. And it's obviously a new game from the ground up. But like there is the element of like, OK, we're just going to do everything we've done well before and it's all there right away. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's very important. I oddly feel compelled to sing this sing this game's praises. It's not a hot take, but oddly it is. It's kind of gone full circle in that way. Yeah. It's the same way when you say like, oh, the Super Bowl is a fun time. It's like, <laughs> obviously <laughs> it's the biggest event ever. Like I, I have a joke with my friend Katie about that where it's like there's some things that are so mainstream that they get like kind of scoffed at and Mario Kart is one of them. But like this one in particular, fantastic game by any observation. You can go you can go about this game at any level. Like you can play it like just for laughs. You can do what we do and try to unlock everything uh it's great it's it might be the best game ever made um that's a bit of a stretch i mean it's hard to single it down but honestly one of my favorites i think it's fantastic for anyone who has a switch it's a must you probably already have it it's great yes that that is probably the good box review for mario kart 8 deluxe you probably already have it (laughs) spared the wrath of the unjust gods yeah next up i want to talk about uncharted lost legacy with you wow this is One that you put on the list that I completely agree with. We talked about it in an earlier episode. I don't know which one, but we definitely have discussed it. I think this game is unbelievably good. Um, I don't think this gets enough attention uh, in the Uncharted series. Totally agree. Um, this is this is like so. It's so unfortunate that this game like flies under the radar because I think it is like the crystallization of Uncharted as a franchise. And it's what's so funny about it is that like it succeeds at being uncharted, I think on a on a larger scale than maybe even like one in three do. But it does not have Nathan Drake in it like Nathan Drake is not in this game is not the protagonist of this game. It's it's kind of Naughty Dog asking themselves, what is uncharted without Nathan Drake? And the answer is uncharted is its own thing already. And Nathan Drake isn't necessary is like the answer to that question yeah so this stars uh chloe fraser who is a major character in the second game and uh nadine who is a supporting character in four um and eventually sam drake shows up uh nathan's brother from four uh but like not until the very end it is wonderful so uh we talked about how this gameplay wise is kind of a testing bed for the idea of a open world uncharted where after a few missions there's kind of this like 
isolated area where there's a number of temples you can do in any order. So in that way, I think you compared it to um, like between worlds in that sense where there's yes. sort of like not open world fully, but like, okay, we're going to let you do an otherwise traditionally linear game in any order you want and kind of let you explore freely, which I think f- I don't ever feel like the Uncharted games being linear is a bad thing at all. I think it's like the perfect structure for these types of games of like, it's very direct. It's very narrative driven. I don't think that rails are a bad thing for a game like that. However, the climbing mechanic and the like actual gameplay of Uncharted, I think could be very fun in an open world. So yeah, that makes well, me that, that was almost what, what I found so compelling and so surprising about Lost Legacy was I, I think you're right like nobody was clamoring for an open world uncharted game like that's not a thing that people really needed or wanted um but they still took that risk and they still made that and it super yeah. paid off and that that's I think what yeah. is one of the reasons why I would like testify about the the brilliance of this game um beyond just having like honestly for me personally the most compelling story of all of the uncharted games the i I think think so absolutely the the narrative in lost legacy is is concise and and has a really strong thematic through line um that is extremely well founded and well presented and and i was just kind of blown away by it um because it, it, it tackles a very similar thing that Uncharted 1 does in that, like, in the first one, Nathan is trying to, like, he's trying to, like, make good on, on his family heritage and, like, find, like, the great lost treasure of his family, uh, quote unquote, which, you know, things happen. Uh, but but Lost Legacy is Chloe, like, literally trying to finish the archaeological work of her father and and really like digs deep into her relationship with her dad and and why she feels so strongly that she needs to complete his work. It it's like kind of a more serious take on an Indiana Jones three, um, which is also my favorite Indiana Jones movie, and I don't think that that's a coincidence by any measure that I, that I, I agree. love those I two games. Well. Yeah, I mean that I love that movie yeah. and this game specifically. Yeah, but yeah, I was just like really, really blown away by Lost Legacy. I th- I think it is the achievement of Uncharted as a franchise. Um, and yeah, I, I really want to hammer that home because I did just say that Uncharted Four was so good that nobody said anything about it, and and it was maybe one of the best games of all time. I am very cognizant that I'm saying that this game is better than that one. I am very aware of that. That is how strongly I feel about Lost Legacy. Yeah, I think the elements here are are better and more interesting. The only thing holding it back a little bit is like there is a little bit of prior information needed. Whereas like I didn't feel playing four that I needed to know anything else really. Yeah. 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 I think and Lost Legacy, you kind of at least need to know the plot of four to like fully get it. But eventually I think it stands on its own legs. And I really think that the the chemistry between Nadine and Chloe is so good and the writing is so good. Like mm-hmm. that relationship is is more interesting than like most relationships in the series, which is saying a lot because there's a lot of good ones. Like, yeah, I think Uncharted 4 and, and it's worth pointing out that Neil Druckmann was the director and I think head writer for this game, Lost Legacy, Uncharted 4 and The Last of Us. So like he's kind of becoming Naughty Dog's like auteur writer, I feel like. Um, or very much is. And you can see that level of writing from him and 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 the team in this game like on full display. Uh, I, I think I cited a moment in the episode where we talked about this game specifically of like, even in the moments, like Nadine and Chloe are both extremely strong characters that are not the type to like warm up to anyone really. 
Like Chloe mm-hmm. will probably pretend to warm up to you, but only to get something done kind of thing. And Nadine is like very much no nonsense. Uh, there's a moment where Chloe is trying to pick a lock in the very beginning and Nadine yes. punches the window and like opens it from behind. And that sums up the characters perfectly. Yeah. Like Chloe is going to do something kind of secretive to get what she wants out of it. And Nadine's going to just do the most direct route possible. Yeah. And even as they become friends throughout the game, they still operate through those lenses, which I think is a really tough thing for a writer to do because like, I think sometimes when characters grow in each other, they lose what makes them their character. You see that a lot in a lot of media, Yeah. but these characters never forget who they are and seeing them. I never like was screaming, fuck yeah. And joy more than when they were both fighting the main antagonist at the end on the train. Like, mm-hmm. That was so fucking cool. I yeah. loved it. Really great game. Would highly recommend to anyone. I think like four and this make a really good uh i wish i didn't have to say play four first but like you just kind of have to for some things but like yeah i think this is arguably the stronger game in terms of like the cast and the writing it's so weird because um, i i feel exactly the same way i wish i could just say play lost legacy that's all you need but also like yeah it's so funny that that the bummer part of Lost Legacy is that you have to play Uncharted 4, which I think is almost a perfect video game. <laughs> you know, like, oh, no, right, you have right. to. Oh, God. Oh, no, you have to play Uncharted 4. What a fucking bummer. I just I just wish the game that is proving that you don't need Nathan Drake for Uncharted didn't require Nathan Drake. To, yes. you know, like, yeah, you're right. That is that is a great which, like, way of looking at it. I, I like the character, especially in 4, because I think 4 is dealing with the, like, the repercussions of being Nathan Drake, you mm-hmm. know, like, right. um, that's a really interesting story. I think I would love to see what comes next for this series. I think the way four ends sets up a very direct path for the future if they wanted to. Yes. And I think lost legacy has proven that you can, you can put a myriad of characters in the spotlight and it will still be uncharted and you can do really whatever you want with it. Cause the strength of the series, like, the thing that people want from that series is good writing and climbing mountains and like seeing cool scenery. <laughs> yeah, just like a and wild like, you can do that Indiana Jones with adventure. anyone. Yeah. So good. I, I love those games. Could yep. go on and on. Wow, what do we talk about next? Up to you. I feel like I've been steering the ship. Okay. You, if, you grab uh, the wheel. Well, no, you just mentioned climbing mountains, so I think we should probably mention um maybe like outside of Fortnite and PUBG, the biggest twitch.tv video game of, of twenty seventeen, which was getting over it with Bennett Foddy. Bennett Foddy, indie developer, made uh games like Quap probably his biggest hit beyond this one obviously just like a a penchant for making games that are extremely difficult to control um and using using control as a way of like questioning how uh people play video games in the first place like hi if you if you can't even play this game is it worth playing um getting over it with benefati is like taking that to its like logical conclusion in that you are a man in a cauldron uh you're a man wearing no clothes sitting in a cauldron with um a hammer and you have to swing the hammer around with your mouse uh and use it to try and climb an entire mountain uh and while you're doing that (laughs) bennett foddy will uh just have some like voiceover where he'll just like talk to you uh, just kind of about really anything. Sometimes it's motivational. Sometimes it's not at all. Sometimes it's like a complete non sequitur. Um, but at any moment, you could slip and fall and fall all the way down the mountain again. And it makes for like one of the most frustrating gaming experiences of all time. Um, but it's also like extremely gratifying when you make it to a new point in the game. But like I said, at any point, 
And especially towards the end, he starts to create some places in the mountain where you can fall from almost at the top to literally the beginning of the game again and have to start from scratch. Uh, and when that happens, there are new voice lines where he will say, like, sometimes that's just how life works, my guy. Um, like, that is how the game operates. Uh, and it's kind of no wonder that it almost like Flappy Bird became a kind of like cult hit that became an even bigger thing uh, just because like it is so fun to watch people play this game because it's so hard. It's so unabashedly hard and loves being that hard and revels in it and laughs at you when you fuck up that like, of course this became a game that was a gigantic Twitch phenomenon where you just see streamers like screaming at the top of their lungs. Cause that's also what they're doing already on that platform. But here's a game built for that. You know, um, <laughs> right, right. I just found that so fascinating. Um, this game is wild and like, it's fun and still worth playing. Um, you know, like all of Benefati's stuff, like, is still good uh, outside of, you know, whatever happened on Twitch.tv. Like, it's still worth playing. Yeah, yeah. I was a big Quap fan, for sure. Yeah. I played that a lot in, like, science class. Yeah. Yeah. People have compared Death Stranding to Quap, which I think is kind of funny. Um, yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. That and makes there's, a lot of there's Quap DNA in there, for sure. I'm trying to pull up um, um, his his uh, other games, because I, I can't remember what the other ones are. Oh, um, Get on Top which was just like a very, very, very funny, um, very funny game where it's kind of like tug of war. But what if there was no rope and it's just two people pulling on each other's arms back and forth? It's like a like a couch competitive <laughs> multiplayer game where you're just like pulling on each other's arms. Um, and he also recently worked on Ape Out. So, oh, I loved Ape Out. Yes, that was great. Yeah. Uh, anyway, getting over it with Benefati. Good video game. Uh, kind of uh, weirdly important for that year. He couldn't escape 2017 without hearing about getting over it for sure what's next uh, let's talk about universal paper clips okay did you play this i have not but i have seen footage of it and we've mentioned it in passing um yeah and i, I know the, i know the deal okay so um i mentioned this game uh well one i think i talked about it on the show once two i mentioned it recently because the developer frank lance just made um hey robot which is that that like board game that involves google yeah. assistant which is just like incredible what an amazing idea um but i also mentioned it in the beginning of this episode because i was talking about uh space plan a ios game that is an idle game so it is just like you continuing to get resources uh, just watching numbers go up, using that to buy things that make your numbers go up faster, but implemented like a really strong narrative into that, which is an idea I have always wanted to see come to fruition. I've always wanted to see an idle game with like a, a, a really like strong and present narrative uh, and through line and maybe even an endpoint because a lot of idle games just don't end is kind of how they work. And Space Plan was that. Uh, and the reason I took that off of the list and kept Universal Paperclips is because I think Universal Paperclips is like kind of the culmination of that. It is kind of like not only is there a narrative to this game, but there is like an idea that is being explored. There is like a a really like strong sci fi question being answered by Universal Paperclips. So on a very surface level, uh, it's an exploration of the paperclip maximizer thought experiment, which is this idea that if you build any AI to do just one thing and you don't implement any rules preventing it from like stopping itself, it will mean the end of the universe. And it could be something as menial as you build an AI and just tell it to keep making paperclips. If you don't put any restrictions on that, it will somehow mean the like untimely demise of everything in the universe until it's only paperclips. So this game is you playing as that AI. And when you start, you're just clicking and just making paperclips uh, and you watch 
as like the resources of the planet slowly start to run out and the paperclip uh, AI starts to like invent new ways of like finding resources in different places, which ends up unfolding into uh, war, famine, death. Uh, you end up like creating uh, an army of like space drones, like a window will open up on the screen where you watch like actual space battles happening um, between your drones and like what's left of of organic life in the universe as you slowly start to wipe out everything it is always an idle game that whole time it is it is never like evolving into something beyond that but it starts off with one button that says make paperclip and then ends with like you having a whole array of like stat sheets and 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 this like space battle thing going on it is like a really wild experience, and I highly recommend checking it out. Um, I think it's still maybe free on browser, and I think costs a dollar if you play it on your iPhone. But both places are great. So good. Cool. Yeah, it is such a it's it's a very haunting premise. Honestly, like I I think about it in passing quite a bit. Me too. Um, yeah, all the time. See, I can see why you put it above. Uh, so this sounded really cool, but yeah, it's it's a very it's a very heavy sci-fi idea for as silly as it sounds yeah um uh does it ever end like can you like win yes with, like, it does end organic yeah yes does it just say like you did it <laughs> pretty much it's like you can't make any more paper clips sorry there's no there's <laughs> oh no there's God. literally no way to make another paper clip now <laughs> what i've seen too is like it, it tells you how many paper clips have been made and it, it ends with like trillions of of paper clips yeah. it's, it's really scary um universe paper clips check it out all right. This year is a lot, like we've said. Yes. Um, what do you think we should do next year? <laughs> oh, my God. Just look at these games. Uh, <laughs> let's let's talk about Gravity Rush, because we just talked about it kind of recently. Oh, yeah. Um, you bet. On the show. This is a recent edition. Uh, Gravity Rush 2 came out in 2017. I talked about it in a recent episode. I think it was uh, Everyone Loves... You're in Love with Sabrina Gills was the episode where I talked about Gravity Rush 2. Um, yes. I picked this up on a whim. I had heard decent things. Uh, the first game was a Vita cult classic, mm -hmm. which is about as much indie cred as you can get in the video game world, I feel like. <laughs> um, although this is not an indie game. This is a first-party Sony developer. Uh, the director, the original uh, creator of Silent Hill, made this game. So wild. Uh, and it's so weird. It's such, it is such a departure. And it's developed by... Um, SIE, uh, Sony Interactive Entertainment, who has made the Ape, Ape Escape games, as well as like a number of different first party Sony stuff. It's just, I, I put it here because I, I will want to really love it. And I, I think it, it definitely got overlooked when it came out. Um, this is a big year for games. Uh, Sony in particular, I think, was going all in on like a handful of titles and this didn't really get the attention it deserved. Um, it's just a really heartwarming and meaningful adventure game with a travel slash combat mechanic that is like as like therapeutically gratifying as spider-man swinging around is i make i make comparisons between the two games in the episode but um you play as a, a young woman named cat who can control which direction gravity is pulling her so she can basically fly by falling um and that is coupled with like just incredible art direction of beautiful Miyazaki-esque environments, really wonderful soundtrack, and like just like a really lovable protagonist with a story that is actually about something despite being so fantastical. Yes. Um, I can't recommend this game enough. I, I would recommend it to anyone. It's just like 
heartwarming in a way that a lot of uh you know miyazaki and disney movies are without being like fake like it feels very the positive moments in this game feel worth it and organic and authentic and uh i haven't really played like a first party game like this and i i i hope i actually went back and and purchased the first one because i (laughs) i got the second one at gamestop so they didn't see a dime from that but i went back and got the first one remastered for ps4 Uh, worth noting you can get the first one for ps4 as well if you don't have a vita which chances are you don't but yeah it's i i love gravity rush i would love to see the series kept alive uh it is something really special something really unique and it's an example of a first party game taking a risk and it really paying off in the game itself uh this i I think you said it where you're like there's no reason this mechanic should work at all yeah that was the thing as as well as it does yeah (laughs) <laughs> but i i love this game i would recommend it to anyone it's just it's just the best time i i i will definitely see this game through to the end and i, I can't wait to see more of it the only thing i'll add that there's a really fun photo mode there is there's a really fun photo mode uh it's a shame there used to be online features that they have since taken <clears throat> down where you could like yeah. share photos with other people and kind of guide them to like hidden treasures but you can still take photos and the fact that you can like make gravity put you on a building where everything else is sideways and you can like pose and take a picture. It's, it's so rad. You yeah. can spend hours just doing that. It's great. And I have, <laughs> that was actually the moment where I found there was a photo mode and I got to the big city. I was like, okay, Brendan needs to get this game. Like, 100%. <laughs> yeah. That was the moment. That was also the moment where I decided I loved it. So yes, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm glad. I'm also good. Uh, Cause that's all I can really say about gravity rush Two without just repeating the episode about it. Yes. But, expect maybe a bonus or something about it in the future at least from my end i would love to revisit it once i'm done with it and maybe i'll ch- talk about the first one one day but yeah gary rush 2 love it love it love it giant hearts across the board um can i talk about another two? Oh yeah oh yeah absolutely <laughs> this is like your thing this is your legacy yes this is your your love your muse this is my lost legacy um <laughs> 2017 was also the year that destiny 2 came out um a game that i love unconditionally and will forever uh even though i'm not really playing it as much anymore um i've i talked a lot about destiny 1 on this show uh, i even mentioned it in this very episode already so why would i also be talking about destiny 2 i i think destiny 2 is a really fascinating game it it when it came out it was a lot of like what you expected it was a lot of um you know what uh made destiny one great they removed some of the things that made destiny one better which frustrated a lot of people but kept a lot of the dna of what made destiny great but i think more specifically the thing that i found most fascinating about it was uh the narrative of the main campaign was like a really fascinating kind of like deconstruction of making a video game um i don't i i to this day don't know if this is actually the intention but the narrative of Destiny 2 feels to me like developers at Bungie asking themselves, why is it so fucking hard to make a video game? Specifically, why is it so hard to make a sequel? Because it literally yeah. opens with the destruction of the place that you spent all of your time in in Destiny 1. Like the the main hub world, um, the like one of the starting areas, like it's just the full annihilation of that. And they work into the narrative, the the destruction of all of the things you also spent all those years trying to acquire like all the loot and armor and whatever that you tried to build up in destiny one that all gets destroyed in the first hour of destiny two and then you have to start from scratch again you don't have any superpowers anymore like you start off literally like 
you could actually die. Like if you died, died, that would be it for you forever. That's kind of where you're at um, in the beginning of this game. It strips everything from you. And for the first time, it, it involves a lot of these characters asking themselves what it means to be a, a mortal being because they've been immortal for so long that suddenly they feel fear for the first time in like a hundred years. And, and like, how yeah. does that affect your brain? I, I found that to be really interesting. Beyond that, like, it's more Destiny. It is still very good. It has only gotten better. Um, one of the main reasons I wanted to put it on the list is just like what has happened since in terms of Bungie breaking free of Activision, becoming an independent developer, quote unquote, even though it's still like AAA size and budget and whatever. Um, you know, it, it is technically an independent game now. Um, and they're steering their own ship and they're steering it in the right direction. Everything that they've released since that break has been great. Um, and they've really been listening to the community and making that game like better and better and better to the point now where it is free to get into. Like it is a free to play game that has some big paid expansions if you want them. But you kind of never need to get them if you don't really want. You can just play the base offering with the first few DLCs that are now free and just play multiplayer stuff forever because you can. And that content is good enough to sustain you for five years like it has for me yeah but also there is more if you want it which is just amazing so uh, destiny one was like kind of a landmark in that everyone was trying to be destiny destiny two to me just kind of solidified like bungie is the only company really making this work right now ubisoft has gotten the closest with the division games from what i've heard division two didn't really stand up to the first one as much or as well um and people have kind of dropped off but destiny two is still chugging along um and and the thing you and i have talked about and it's kind of notable that this year was also Fortnite and PUBG, but like PUBG came out, Fortnite came out and everybody's like, is this the PUBG killer? Now everybody asks, is this the Fortnite killer? Neither of those are ever going to go away. And I think that's the same thing with destiny. Every time somebody asks if there's going to be a destiny killer, it's, it's not going to happen. Destiny's not going away that for all of the negativity that exists online about this game, there is still an extremely committed fan base that will never put it down. Um, yeah. And I like it a lot. It's great. It's worth noting I've only played the vanilla version of two, but I actually really enjoyed it. I um, yeah. I kind of checked it out on a whim, and uh, you know the, the story. I guess coming in fresh, the story of two for me, I I found the beginning extremely compelling. I thought the 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 just the visual of like the enemy forces taking over that city and like you like walking something about never taking control away during that moment of like you walking on the verge of death without your ghost, just like mm -hmm. to somewhere to kind of like die like a cat under a, you know, like yes, in the darkness, yes, you know, like it's really effective. You know, the, the characters are kind of archetypal and, and whatever, but like, it works. I got swept up in the whimsy of it all, and and I really enjoyed my time with two. And I I I know I like I know I keep saying it, but I do want to eventually get back in and we can play it together. That'd be that's the god quest of the show. I feel like yeah. But Destiny two, I I think it deserves a place here. I think we're both fans. You're this is something that will always mean more to you, but like I definitely like it from afar, and I want to get back into it. Yeah. Um, so you're smiling so largely. Yeah, I was just thinking if season two, uh, if our season two subtitle was The Quest Continues, season three subtitle can just be Stephen finally plays Destiny, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was Duke's Up so I can get back into fighting games. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm uh, sorry. You're right, you're right, you're right. Um, no, no, no. But I like I like Stephen finally plays Destiny, maybe. <laughs> maybe is, cr is brutal. Crucial. Yes. No, also crucial. <laughs> <laughs> crucial and crucial and brutal because honestly my where, quest has kind of ended at this point the quest continued your quest has and, been succeeded yeah. three times yes i have yes. for for a reminder brendan's quest for season two was to find the jrpg he liked 
uh, and you found three. Uh, you found three houses, mm-hmm. which we obviously both meant a lot to both of us. Uh, you found Dragon Quest Eleven, which obviously meant a lot to you, and then uh, Final Fantasy Seven, the original, uh, which you also really enjoyed. So, like, yep, you have seen the full event horizon of of like. <laughs> You know, the past, present, and future of, of RPGs. I'm swept up, baby. No I'm, light escapes my I'm event horizon. So, I'm so proud of you. Uh, speaking of JRPGs, let's talk about Persona 5. Um, with with uh, Gravity Rush 2 ushering in the way, we are now kind of in the VIP section of... Uh, of uh, honestly, 2017 is the VIP year of the decade, to be honest. But like now we're in the like embarrassing love territory starting with destiny 2 for you obviously yeah and gary rush 2 for me and uh, hq trivia this game <laughs> <laughs> hey gamers what's your favorite color <laughs> anyway um <laughs> i tried to hold it in so we could talk about persona but it didn't happen i'm so sorry that was so funny <laughs> You blow it. You never see it come. Hey, what's up? I'm Scott Rogowski here to ask you what your favorite color is. Who's your favorite persona? Mine's Dionysus. <laughs> um, persona 5. Persona 5. Persona 5. This game means so much to me. I'm amazed we haven't done an episode about it yet. I think we've kind of been... You have played the like first kind of chunk of the game. It's a long game, so like, that's still a lot. Yeah, I think um, Royal is going to be the time for me. Yeah. I think we'll probably do an episode about it in total. Persona, we've kind of both talked about uh, in passing. It's worth noting, following our our, uh, conversation about you getting into JRPG, before that quest even, Persona was the one series that kind of landed for you, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I bought a four. I I, Um, I bought a four. I bought a PlayStation Vita specifically to play four golden um, and really enjoyed it. Yeah. And Persona 5... uh, that was the game that got me back into video games in a big way. I mentioned that I got my PS4 a little bit later. I got it in 2016. And alongside games like Last of Us and Uncharted 4, uh, Persona 5 was a game that just like showed me what the medium was doing now, specifically with RPGs. And I was just so blown away by this game. Uh, for those unfamiliar, it's about... It's a hard series to pitch because it's so out there, but it's like one of the most stylish and like uh, in video games overall, I think it has some of the best art direction and some of the best like music out there in a game. Every persona is so stylish in its delivery. The soundtracks are amazing. Um, It's an RPG where usually in every game there's a division between the real world and some kind of like sub dimension where things are kind of a, a reflection of how they are in real life, usually rooted in one's unconscious mind. So the plot of five is basically you are a young man who has moved to Tokyo and one night you encounter this like really awful dude harassing someone and you step in to help and you find out that dude is like a very influential politician and, and kind of blames like he like kind of files a report against you and you're charged with a crime that you didn't do that goes on your record as a as a teenager, which I think is a bigger deal in Japan in terms of like what high school you can get into and stuff like that. Like it it, it translates well, but I think it's like worth pointing out how big of a deal that is for someone in Japan, unless I'm mistaken. Um, No, no, I, th- I think that tracks. But you are kind of have this hanging over you and you're sent to this high school to kind of be rehabilitated. So everyone there kind of treats you differently and doesn't really like want to get to know you, except for this guy, Ryuji, who I've (laughs) referenced in passing a lot. He is the like 
RPG archetype of like loving best friend will do anything for you head first, but like is kind of an idiot uh, in the most lovable way possible. And from then you recruit a bunch of other misfits in some way. Um, and it's a really compelling story just about like rebellion. Uh, that's like the main theme of the game is like all these like very wronged young adults like trying to fight a broken system by literally going into the heads of these awful people. Yeah, and I was about to say stealing... it's like re- specifically rebellion against abuse of power is is yeah kind of the the like main through line. So the game is anchored by these things called palaces where you go into the mind of of a uh, the first the first big bad is this awful gym teacher who was like once an olympic medalist or yeah he he won an olympic medal for volleyball and he's like kind of a town hero but is secretly abusing the team and um yeah. you go into his mind and he sees the high school as his palace and he's like a king walking around in a speedo it's really disturbing but you fight him, you fight his shadow, his demonic form, and you steal his treasure, uh, which is like the object that all his warped desires is kind of attached to. So in this case, I think it's like literally the Olympic medal or something like that. I think you're right. And by doing yeah. uh, by doing so in his mind, uh, they learn that he has a change of heart in real life and he like confesses to all his crimes and kind of steps down. So um, it's all designed, all the personas for the main characters are based on like folk heroes from like history and folklore. So um, uh, one of the characters is Robin Hood, for example, like stuff like that. Everyone kind of has a costume in the cognitive realm that looks like they're kind of a cat burglar of some kind. Um, And the whole thing kind of has a heist flavor to it, which is very fun, Um, despite the like very heavy themes being explored that. It honestly is pretty brave of a game to cover. And that's, I think, Persona has always kind of done that, but most successfully here. And yeah, it's 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 just such a cool RPG, both in its presentation and the themes it's exploring. By the end of this game, I was so in love with the cast that I feel like I was actually saying goodbye to a friend. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like I really got to know these people. And that's something the series has always done well since 3, is there's, like, like uh, Three Houses, there are, like, see support scenes you can unlock with everybody and i think that is the best at five because you can get to know like everyone you can get to know your legal guardian who runs a coffee shop um you get to know like this kind of bernie sanders adjacent politician who like no one is listening to Mm -hmm. and like is trying to run against the corrupt dude that kind of sets the plot in motion um it's worth pointing out the villain of this game is very trump adjacent and like I think that's what hit a very like strong note with a lot of people with this game is yeah. like and you know I mean it, it's it's a blanket term of just like fucking awful politicians but it came out at a time where I think that a lot of people are very sensitive to that and it was kind of thrilling to play an RPG that is so out there fantasy wise but is about like fighting what's going on right now. Yeah. I think it's a very timely story um of just abuses of power on every level. There's an artist who's taking credit for his like peer his students work. Uh there's like a mob boss. Um and most notably, a slight spoiler here, one of the palaces is actually for one of your party mates who is like having such guilt and and uh grief about a lost one in their life that they aren't able to let go of like kind of holding themselves back and Mm. they actually ask you to go into their palace and help them which like that's where the game like really skyrocketed for me i loved that part because like after you do three of them like okay like how much worse are these guys gonna get you know that palace really changed up the story for me it's a long game and i think it doesn't have to be as long as it is but it is such a it's such a good and optimistic story, despite how awful 
things look. The characters are so well written and so fully realized. Like you really feel like you get to know them. I I loved every single character in this game. Um, even Ryuji, as much as I dunk on him, and uh, that with the flavor text of the tarot, you know, I love that. Everyone is assigned <laughs> a major arcana, and. One of the best ways to do turn-based combat in 2019 or 2017, rather, like this has set the standard of like how you do a modern turn-based RPG. It is so fun and like it never gets old to like do an attack that's effective, baton pass to a party mate by high-fiving them, doing an all-out attack together, and then it cuts to like an animation of one of the characters posing. Like it's so rad, and it's like somehow the music the battles theme never gets old i i love persona 5 i think it's like a gold standard for rpgs in general and it really like it got me back into video games in a way where i wasn't constantly looking back and being nostalgic i was like oh i'm excited for the future for the first time in a while which is oddly on point with the story of the game it's about trying to fight for a future that's being withheld by shitty people in power (laughs) um yeah love love persona 5 i can't wait to talk about it again someday yeah uh i'm so glad that it it touched your heart in that way like that makes me so happy um yeah i i as you mentioned, I didn't play a whole lot of it. I only played into the end of the first dungeon, but what I played, I really loved. I think it came out right before Breath of the Wild, like before the Switch dropped and yeah. Breath of the Wild came out, which like I was long gone as soon as that happened. You know what I mean? Like there was no going yeah, back and, post Breath of the you Wild. But say, you say you just did the first palace, but that's like 20 hours. So that's, that's yeah, so it, like, yeah, it wasn't an like, insignificant you know. amount of playing a video game. Um, but like, and, and I would actually having yeah. played as much of four as I did, like it, it, I still understand how early days that is. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I still, for sure. I still get that for that game. That is almost no time at all. But for most games, that's a fuckload of time. Um, yeah. but yeah, I, I would say the the one thing that didn't get mentioned in that, in that beautiful spiel was just like this is the most stylish game like ever like this is even before they they announced this game and like almost immediately they were like here's some gifts like this is all they needed for me to buy the game here's some (laughs) gifts of what the menu looks like when you pause the video game this is what the menu looks like and i was like sold you got me that's all i needed someone someone cosplayed as the menu from this game really? yeah i mean like, <laughs> like that's yeah <laughs> yeah it's, it's so uh it's so good uh it's not it's not a hot take and, and i think this is a game that as out there as it is with like the imagery and and the sort of clash of, of genres like it landed for a lot of people like this got me into persona as a series it's a good gateway for the series for sure and i would say like to play it I, I, this got it took to me so bad that I beat it in like two weeks. It was disgusting two weeks. I did not leave my house. Um, but I would say like, treat it like you're watching like a show. Like each palace is kind of like its own season of a show. Like, yeah, watch it, take a break. Like take your, like in the loading screen of this game, it constantly says, take your time. It has Joker kind of stylishly yeah. pushing up his glasses. I would say take your time with this game. It's not going anywhere. It's a beautiful experience. I think you might bring yourself out if you play it the way I did. But yeah, like treat every palace like its own little game. And then I think by the end, you'll feel like happy that it's worth it's worth seeing through at least to getting the full party because there's so many great characters, yeah. um, especially like Makoto and Futaba. I think they're just like their stories are so good. Yeah. Um, Anyway, I think we're going to revisit this when um, Royal comes out because uh, I, yeah. I am. Oh, absolutely. I the closer we get to Royal, the more I want to pick it up and the more I feel compelled to like make that the time that I really go through the whole thing. Um, yeah, for sure. So I'm I'm excited for that. Still bummed it's not coming out for Switch and there are no signs of that ever happening, but um, <laughs> yeah, still excited. I about this. think 
I might get uh, Persona 5 Scramble, though. That's the one coming for Switch. It's like a Dynasty Warriors Persona game. It looks game. really good. Um, it looks fun. I might pick it up. I enjoyed Hyrule Warriors for what it was, and I think I would enjoy uh, P5R or P5S for the same reason. That's kind of um, what I'm surprised by, and maybe we shouldn't go too far into it because whatever, but like that game to me right now looks like it is what Hyrule Warriors and Fire Emblem, also Warriors, right? Mm-hmm. Tried to do, but has like more panache to it like is doing a little bit more than they need to like they they've added a little bit more to that formula than i think what we're expecting which kind of makes it a little bit singular in that way and kind of makes me want to check it out also but anyway beyond uh the point persona 5 fucking great so good it's it's a classic i would i would recommend it to more people than i think like I think if you're curious about Persona as a series, start with this one for sure. It might make the rest of the series look bad, but it's the best one to start with yeah, for sure. Totally. Um, yeah. I, I did and I went back and I enjoyed three and four, but five is just like so good. Yeah. It's, it's the best. Yeah. Um. All right. Uh, I want to bring up Super Mario Odyssey next. <laughs> okay. Another Switch must. Uh, this is another huge Nintendo game. It's crazy. That this and Zelda came out the same year. Because usually a Nintendo console is like banking on you waiting for one or the other eventually. You know, like usually it will lead with Mario and then end with Zelda. They came out the same year alongside all these other games. And right alongside Splatoon 2, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. (laughs) Unreal. Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. Um, What a ridiculous first year. I'm like dizzy. Uh, (laughs) Odyssey. So we talked about uh, Mario 3D World this episode. Like, I think. I would agree with you that I think that Mario 3D World is like the gold standard of Mario platforming. I think that that has that has like the most finely tuned level design of anything. Mm-hmm. But Odyssey, since Mario 64, felt like a big adventure. Um, and like the central mechanic of possessing enemies via your cap is so good and so weird, but so well executed to the point where like, Every enemy you can possess has a very specific like skill set that you immediately register and know how to use to navigate whatever level you're in, ranging from a photorealistic T-Rex to like a cab in, in New Donk City mm-hmm. to like a caterpillar on an island made of food. Like it is so eclectic in its design and its scale. Uh, there's a boss in this game that's like a fucking Dark Souls dragon just out of nowhere yep. that Bowser is riding. Um, not to mention the like show-stopping finale of possessing Bowser with a cap and that like pop punk song mm-hmm. playing, unbelievable. Then, then the spoiler for Mario Odyssey plot, but the ending of you on the moon, Bowser and Mario both proposing to Peach and her just rejecting both of them and leaving them on the moon is like the best canonical ending for Mario as a series. Yeah. Like, you deserve each other on the moon alone. Yes, I, I bring up pretty often, like, I think Super Mario Odyssey finally asked the question, is Mario also the bad guy? <laughs> but yeah, never d- have you gotten a more, like, like uh, final answer to that question than in Odyssey. For sure. Not to mention, like, the core game, I think, takes, like, five hours to beat. It's pretty short, but there's a lot of endgame stuff that, like, explores more the platforming you would find in 3D worlds, like, kind of the more nuanced stuff. Yeah. But, yeah. Odyssey is is another, like, arguable best Mario game, which, like, it's a series that you can't ever really... Like, every time they release a Mario game, you're like, how would they ever follow this, you know? Like, how do you follow Galaxy? How do you follow... uh, How do you follow Mario 64? Um, And even for the lesser hits, like Sunshine and Galaxy 2, like, those games are still amazing and arguably the best in their own way. Yeah. 
it it's Mario is like forever the series that Nintendo just like flexes their their game design muscles in a new way that you didn't really think could exist until it comes out. And Odyssey is an example. It of makes that. everyone else look bad every time. It does. <laughs> you know, it like, really does. Every time they're able to make like the the short Italian man who just goes wahoo and like make that the yeah. best game of the year every time they release one is fucking wild like that that dude just jumps and that's the best game of the year every time they what? put out another one it's wild yeah. to me that like i don't know it's it's just wild to me that they make it work every time because i i've talked about this a lot on this show and i talked about this a lot specifically with odyssey i think we talked about it once but like i am never excited about a mario game until i'm playing it I never want to play yeah. the next Mario game because that's all that goes through my head is the guy just jumps. I get it's fun. It's fun. Yeah. I enjoy it every time I'm playing it. But like the guy just jumps. What are they going to do this time? That's going to make me like excited about this. But I always buy it anyway, like against my own, like in my in my heart of hearts, my own like deepest, darkest, like cynical fucking brain i i buy the game anyway and it is always incredible and that was the case with odyssey yeah. where like i didn't think i was gonna like it i didn't think i was excited about it and then as soon as i started playing it it was a joy and i i like binged it like a season of television like ridiculous how good that game is absolutely ridiculous love it and then yeah. also all the end game stuff there's a post game to this yeah that's actually where the bulk of it is I, I yes. mentioned before like, yes. the, the the main campaign is like five hours and it's kind of almost like a sampler it's like a sampler platter of what's to come after. Yes. Uh, they like double the size of the more, game when it's over. The most I think the most I think I've laughed at a video game is when you beat it and you talk to Luigi and he's like, Hey bro, I got an idea for a game. It's called Balloon World. I think you're gonna really like Balloon World, bro. Like, I'm not playing Balloon World with you, Luigi. I'm sorry. <laughs> There's so much else to do that's better than Balloon World. <laughs> Luigi, we just covered 2013, your year that lost Nintendo five hundred million dollars. Keep your game ideas to This yourself. is why we're not Sorry. listening to your video game ideas, my guy. <laughs> <laughs> Get this. Balloon World. No one's touching this market. It's going to be great. <laughs> This, I need eight people to sign up. They get eight people to sign up. We all split the profits. No, Luigi, I'm not joining this pyramid <laughs> scheme. I love Luigi. Me too. If we were doing a best of uh, 2000 to 2010, you know Luigi's Mansion would be on there. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, for sure. Definitely. Um, um, all right. Um, <laughs> let's move on. Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. The last two. Yeah, this is upsetting. <laughs> uh, do you want to flip a coin? Who should go first? I'll go first. I, I'd like you to close the year out. Okay. Um, sure. Okay, I'll try and keep this one short. Uh, no, no, take it as a long. Honestly, follow your heart. I want this to be you <laughs> through and through. Uh, 2017. We I had to put it in here in 2017. I know Stephen and I got into a, a rousing argument about it last year, but uh, we put, we put it in 2017. Uh, this game is by an indie developer named Team Cherry. It's called Hollow Knight. Uh, it's a very important. Oh, yeah. It's a very important video game to me personally. Uh, and me. Hollow Knight on a very high level is uh, a game in which you play as a kind of nondescript bug person going down into the depths of a city that once was experiencing a Metroidvania meets Dark Souls experience that is so finely crafted in its illustrative graphics and so beautifully scored uh, that it completely upended uh, everything I thought I knew about this style of game. Uh, and is the best one, uh, I th personally, I think. I think it is the best I one. I would, compared to every Metroid game I've played, compared to every Castlevania game I've played, even compared to all the Souls games I've played, or, and all the Souls alikes, Hollow Knight is my favorite of all of them. 
Um, I, I think. Oh, even among Souls games. Yes. Oh, yeah. Saying. Yeah. I'm saying of, oh, okay. of everything that it is trying to pull from this, this is better than all of it um personally like even stacked up against bloodborne i would prefer to play hollow knight again i i think this game is is immaculate in like every single way there's not a single thing that i i don't like about it um and trust me i've done everything in this game i you have i really was looking for a thing to dislike about it at one point i was like this can't, this can't be true <laughs> this can't be true um but it is it is it is perfect the the sense of longing and sadness the 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 um incredible joy of finding new things the the cast of characters that they introduce and weave in and out of the story they they take what's so great about dark souls and seeing solaire all over the place and seeing who's the big like kind of mushroom looking guy in oh uh sigmire seeing sigmire all over the place and like his little story arc and stuff like they take all of the best of that and weave that into hollow knight and almost double down on what made it great in Dark Souls by making all of these people that you run into all the time adventurers trying to do the same thing as you. They're down in the depths searching yeah. for fame and glory and and answers to questions. And they mostly, spoilers, see their demise at the hands of the same things you're overcoming. And sometimes they don't and sometimes they survive and sometimes they make it past the boss also. And and it's like a joyful moment when you reconnect with one of those characters. What What this game explores even thematically um in terms of like kind of weirdly similar to persona 5 like power and the abuse of it and and the the dark soulsian quest for uh everlasting life and what that means and what you sacrifice in an attempt to get that is all so well told and 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 fortified by the environments in this game i i was just smitten by it like almost from go the main complaint i always hear about is that it's very easy to get lost in this game and that's because it is it has that same interconnected world but it is completely open at a certain point once you get past i think it's like two bosses the rest of the game opens up and you can do it in literally any order and that by itself is an achievement of game design um, and like a mastery of of understanding how players will move through a place. But to pull that off as your first video game, <laughs> it's like wild. Yeah. I mean, this game is made by, I think, three people total, which is so f- yeah, it's unbelievable. So fucked up. It like makes me angry sometimes to think about. <laughs> I, I can't I can't speak I'll- highly enough of Hollow Knight. And that is all to like even remove the extremely personal aspect of like I got laid off from what I thought was my dream job right before this game came out for the switch and I yeah. sat on my couch and I was like I'm not gonna get up until I'm I'm done conquering this this horrific beastly land so I can prove to myself that I am capable of doing something like that whole side of it removed it is still I think one of the best video games ever made and it is such a testament to the idea that you don't need to make something entirely new. You don't have to break every boundary to make something great. This game is a love letter to like 50 other things and is still one of the greats of like the medium, I think, as as a whole. I, I agree. I mean, I, I'm actually not to not to detract it for this. But I'm amazed it's not one of your bolded ones based on everything you just said. Yeah, uh, I guess it just 
I mean, these are all bolded in a way. Like these are our favorite games of the decade. But yeah. I uh, I agree. I think there are so many Souls-like games out now, and like to call this a Souls-like almost seems redactive based on what it's doing and based on the voice it has. Like so many Souls-like games that could be decent in their own right focus on having bonfires that you can sit at and it goes woof and like <laughs> bosses named like the Forgotten Hand or something. Like that's not what makes Dark Souls good. Yes. You know, it's like it's it's on the surface bullshit that like you're just that I don't know why, but that irks me when I see that where it's like we're not like the reason these games are celebrated is not because of the bonfires. Yeah, it's not. This game does have that, though. It does. It has it has the benches that you sit down on and like. Right. But it's not it's not derivative in the design the way like I mean, I love the game, but uh, uh, Remnant is or like any other souls like where you sit at a bonfire and the area is obscure by fog and it goes when you select text mm-hmm. and that's just straight from dark souls like you can't be more shameless than that this game is borrowing the mechanic of like okay there are spawn points but like past that it has its own story and vibe going on and like i agree i think i i wouldn't say i like it more than bloodborne or or some of the souls games but like i think it's right up there with them and i think it's a testament that you can make you can borrow from that structure and make your own thing out of it I love the art design. I love, I think this has my favorite like NPCs of those types of games. Like I love Hornet. I love uh, the myriad of characters you meet along the way. Um, I think it's easy to get lost, but it's also easy to find something new, which I think is what really eases that tension. Yeah. Um, I I agree. I mean, I I think like this game will always mean a little bit more to you, but I also love it deeply. I mean, I actually have uh, in my apartment, I have a painting of a game that means a lot to me. And I also have a painting of Hollow Knight next to it, yeah. both as a testament to our friendship, but also as a testament to how much I love that game, too. I think this game is unbelievable. I think, like you said, if if not on par or better than this this series that it's borrowing from, I do think it's better than, than what I've played of Metroidvania games, for sure. Like, I would rather play Hollow Knight than uh, Symphony of the Night or Super Metroid. Um, even though those games like set the standard for that. Yeah. And, and I think that's the thing. I think that's the key is that Hollow Knight is borrowing from so many different games that it eventually becomes its own thing. It's not trying to emulate one singular thing. It's not just trying to do Dark Souls again the same way like other games are currently. Uh, it is It is very much has its own story to tell. And I think, you know, I, I don't know how the development went for this game, but I feel like they had this story and this was just the best avenue to tell it was through this style of game. Yeah. It's great. I would recommend it to anyone. It's also like, again, not to determine uh, quality by by monetary value, but this game's way too cheap than it has any right to be. Yes. <laughs> uh, you know, it is a $15 experience for like one of the most in-depth action RPGs out there. It's it's a, it's great. Love it. Yeah. Redwall meets Bugs. Yeah. My only, my literal like only thing that I would say about this game is that I have a hard time recommending it to people just because of its difficulty. And, and that gets into yeah. our larger conversation that we've had a lot on this show about difficulty modes and things like that. Um, I, I don't sure. think that as as much as the difficulty plays into the narrative of this game, I, I don't think that you would lose anything by allowing people to have an easier time. No, having 
and I, I I think there's a game I'll talk about next that kind of eases that argument. Um, but yeah, I agree. Like having the option would not detract from the experience at all. Yeah. Uh, and if anything, like I have not seen the game to completion because of that. I just had to move on eventually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so like you know, it got in the way for me. Someone who plays these types of games, I don't think it's like unfairly difficult but it definitely demands a lot from you and like i think what it's doing well is not that and i think i think there's a little bit of a trend with like i think in dark souls one that came out at a time where mainstream games were getting a little bit handholdy and and designed automatically where it was like go here and do x you know and like Mm -hmm. it didn't really respect the player to discover it on their own Dark Souls like went hard on like you're gonna discover everything on your own. We're not telling you anything. <laughs> We're not telling you shit. <laughs> and I think that had an impact at the time, but I think like we're at a point now where it's okay, the the point of that isn't just to make a game as hard as possible. There's like a balance there between like making a game that has an organic sense of discovery versus like making the barrier of entry so inaccessible that it's like just a competing like shouting match of like who has the hardest game and then a youtube review will be like top 10 hardest bosses and that sucks like that's not cool yeah you know like (laughs) uh i mean it like rank the bosses however you want that's fine but it's just like it feels like that's what some people are going into this game like just getting a fix of like i want to beat the hardest thing ever and that's fine go in with whatever you want out of it but like that's not what makes the souls games great in my opinion i don't i don't seek them out solely because of the difficulty if that makes any sense no completely agree that's that's not why I'm playing those games either. Yeah, and that's why Hollow Knight is so good. All right, tell me your top ten favorite bosses. Ne- oh, just, I mean, I was literally just I... about to make that. Jo- I was like about to- <laughs> incredible. <laughs> oh my god. Also, I realize the irony of us donkey on lists as we like literally chronicle the decade. Uh, but uh, I just you know it, it's like. <laughs> I feel like sometimes I I hear people talk about these games in a way that ignores the things they're doing really well, which is the story and environment above the difficulty. That's what I'm trying to say there. Yes. Um, I hope that translates. Excited for Silk Song, the sequel slash prequel. Oh, me too. Oh, I can't wait. It's going to be so good. And uh, yeah, amazing. Moving on. Oh, boy. Number one. Moving on. (laughs) (laughs) Have I become what I hate? Maybe. Don't we all in time? Oh, boy opposite of hate uh this is one of my bolded games it was very hard uh to choose a game from this year uh between breath of the wild persona 5 hollow knight hq mario kart 8 even hq (laughs) stop talking on hq trivia (laughs) you put it on here it's important it is i I, (laughs) you keep joking about it (laughs) <laughs> number one game of the decade hq trivia i won cash from this game <laughs> um this is my second to last bold of game uh the bold games are in no order obviously um i struggled to choose one from this year because there's so many that mean so much to me and i went with my heart which led me to near automata one of my favorite games of the decade uh one of my favorite games of all time um i've talked about this game in passing uh well, actually not in passing there are two episodes about it uh i forgot which ones but early on i i checked out this game on a whim it was on sale it's it is one of the most out there heartbreaking heartwarming experimental ways to tell a story through a video game i didn't know like what the game was about and honestly i would say that's the best way to go into it like if you were just to google uh I actually recommend not Googling this game because like you get some very suggestive fan art before anything else, which is fine. Live your life. But 
you know, that's not what the game is about. And that's kind of what you see on the cover, right? You see, like, it's a very, uh, the characters are very, like, revealing in their clothing and stuff. But honestly, for me at least, that worked well with the game's imagery and the game's themes. Uh, maybe I'm stretching it a bit there, but regardless. I think there's intentionality just, behind the character design, if that's what you're I think so. Yes, yes exactly. Um, there's a reason that they're so, dressed like actual, like, Victorian maids and servants. <laughs> right, right. So uh, it's a game about a lot, um, but the framing device is uh, you play as 2B initially, uh, who is a uh, android who is part of this military group called Yorha, uh, who fight uh, for the glory of mankind. That's a phrase you'll hear a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and the androids are fighting against machines, which are kind of rendered to like a Wally -E clunky design. Um, and that's where I think the design of 2B and, and characters like her stand out because the world is so like dusty and forgotten and the machines are so like very much like mechanical square beings. Utilitarian. That's seeing these like, yeah. yeah, that's seeing these like fancily dressed kind of provocative like humans. Um, it's a really interesting clash in visual. And I think like, to be, I think, has proven herself as like one of the coolest protagonists in a video game. I think. I think she rocks. I love her design. I, I think she's very cool. Yeah. Iconic, blindfold, like very simple stuff, but it works. Um anyway, you play as 2B in the beginning and you are part of Yorha and you fight against machines. And right away there's a question mark of like, okay, androids versus machines. To the player, you kind of recognize that they are both mechanical beings. Right. But they, they see themselves as very different. Uh, the the androids kind of see themselves as an extension of humanity, both because they're made in, in humanity's image, but also because, like, there's something different about them than machines. So there are already questions kind of raised of, like, okay, like, anyone somewhat familiar with sci-fi about robots is going to kind of deal with some expected questions. Um, the game immediately goes so far beyond that that like my jaw dropped a couple times. I think I talked about in the episode where I started playing. There's a moment early on where you're out on a mission to fight machines with uh, 2B and her partner 9S, who is a scanner, who like his, his he's sort of her sidekick. Um, he's a really lovable character. He's kind of, he's one of the very few uh, male characters in the game. And that's where I think the game does a lot of interesting things with gender and with sexuality. Uh, like technically they're all genderless, um, and there's a lot of uh, references to same-sex relationships with the androids, uh, which I thought was kind of cool to see, as well as like when there is a man, it's it's like kind of shocking in a way because like almost all of them are are women. Mm -hmm. Not shocking, but like it's it's like like you said, there's intention behind everything, which that's all I think really matters. Like you can design your characters however you want. There has to be intention behind it, you know? And I think that that intention paid like everything in this game is so purposely there and has such a profound effect, even if you realize it right away or not. Um, 9S, one of the few men in the story, is a young boy. I mean, he's like, I guess, like maybe 18. So he kind of has like, he's sort of the analog for the audience where 2B is kind of a quiet no nonsense like action hero and and 9s is sort of the one who like is a little bit more human in his behavior yeah. uh, he's like wants to get to know to be on a more like platonic level and and uh you know like is reacting to things happening kind of like the player would and to be and and he eventually get closer but uh 
Um, the moment that pulled me in, and maybe this speaks to me as a, a weird person, but uh, you go to this like field of, of machines and they all just start like panicking and they all keep going, this cannot continue, this cannot continue. And they start like, one of them is pushing a baby carriage with nothing in it. Two of them are pantomiming having sex. And then they all <laughs> they all come together and start glowing. And in a weird pile of gloop, a very handsome naked man emerges named Adam. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, I'm all in. This is so fucking weird, <laughs> but I love it. And like uh, that character becomes one of the early antagonists. Um, uh, so the story goes from like you're just sort of on patrol fighting machines as usual and Yorha is kind of always waiting on word from humanity who apparently live on the moon. But like all, all, all the stuff that happens in like the mechanical plot, you can kind of expect it's eventually revealed that humanity has been extinct for a long time. And like this war kind of means nothing. And yeah. Yeah. You're the war means nothing. The, the machines are made of the same parts as the androids, like all the stuff you kind of expect. Um, and that all has emotional weight to it, but the game takes so many creative leaps. So when you beat the game for the first time, you fight Adam and Eve, they become the main antagonists, they're brothers, uh, which is kind of interesting. And, um, there's a great moment where you fight Adam in this like very like white kind of like Apple store city yeah. where Adam is walking around in really fancy clothing. And Adam's whole deal is he's trying to learn what it means to be human and he has crucified 9S. And 2B like goes into a rage. And and Adam gets excited. It's almost as if he's the director of the scene. He goes like, yes, yes, your hatred is perfect for this fight. And he's like, after all, we all need something to fight for, right? Which is a huge foreshadowing of the rest of the mm -hmm. game. But then you fight him and you kill him. Like He turns himself mortal just to see what it's like to die. And it's a very... like. In the moment, you're just like, I want to kick this guy's ass. Fuck Adam. I love 9S. I can't believe he's crucified. Yes. I need to save him. <laughs> but in retrospect, it's like, Adam didn't truly... I mean, he did awful things, but like he actually just wanted to give you that experience. He wanted to direct a moment in the game where you felt compelled to kill someone. Mm -hmm. And what makes someone human? Is it the creation or is it like the the capability of feeling such pure emotion to save someone's life brilliant so the first time you play you play as 2b it's like probably a 10 hour game uh you eventually fight eve who is distraught that you killed his brother um adam kind of represents like intellect and and just wants to learn like what it means to be human whereas eve is is all emotion um, and once Adam dies, this is really haunting visual of him just at like a dinner table and no one's on the other side. And like, it sounds trite to reduce to words, but like seeing it, it just kind of comes out of nowhere. And like, you see him dealing with grief and, and how that results in like the final boss of the game. And like the vocal performance of Eve is really good. Like him yelling in the last fight, like, why did you kill my brother is still haunts me. Um, cause like truth be told, I mean, you did it because you wanted to save 9S, but like that was all that character had. Um, and they deal with that more in the next playthrough. When we, when you beat the game, you get a message from Square that's like, Hey, congrats on beating Nier Automata. Like maybe load your save file and see what happens. Wink. Um, you do. And the game begins immediately with you playing as one of the Wally -E machines. And one of the machines is down and you're like, don't worry, brother, I will help you. And you like control this clunky ass wally grabbing a bucket of oil to bring to the other machine and like it takes forever and you trip and you're like so confused why. <laughs> yeah. 
it takes so long and eventually it cuts to 9s watching he's like sorry little buddy like no oil is gonna bring your friend back and then it shows the Niartama title screen you're like oh shit I like literally gas and drove. I'm playing as 9s now mm-hmm. so the next playthrough is you play as 9s ostensibly through the same story um there's some additions and that's that's the one part of the game that might be a little bit of a slog because it does cover a lot of the same beats um you keep all your like equipment and stuff you got from the last playthrough which is good but you play as 9s you have some like new mechanics like he, he can hack which turns the game into like a arcade like bullet hell which is like the game so strongly flexes its its ability to not only change perspective of characters but just change perspective of the camera and suddenly change the genre of game you're playing you know whether it's like a galaga shooter to like a god of war hack and slash to like a castlevania side scroller like it's it's brilliant playing as 9s there there are some little moments along the way that really stood out to me that i i won't spoil even though i'm going through the whole thing um but like those little moments really make that playthrough despite going through the same events again. And then when you beat it with 9S, you load it again, and it's a new story this time. There's some c- catastrophe happening on Earth. Yorha sends its full fleet, and uh, as you go down as 2B with 9S, you're playing as 2B again, and there's a virus being spread to all the Yorha units where their eyes turn red and they go like maniacal, and that virus eventually spreads to the Yorha spaceship. It's worth pointing out that all the androids have a black box, which is where their identity is kept. It's like essentially their soul. They can always make a new body as long as their black box is intact. But when the spaceship goes down, the only 2B and 9S left are the ones that are on Earth. So kind of like Destiny 2, for the first time, they're actually mortal. Uh, if that body is destroyed, that's it for them. And there's a visual of the Yorha ship like crashing and uh, this like mysterious like glass tower emerging from the earth and then the near Atama the title screen appears for the first time the game shows its opening credits three playthroughs in uh it's it's brilliant i i i was so taken aback i was like i thought i experienced the full story and it literally is just beginning and what happens in that playthrough is to be dies you play as her kind of again like destiny 2 with the virus you str- you're just trying to get as far away from people as possible so it doesn't spread and you eventually get to the edge of this cliff where you meet a2 who is a fellow android she was a prototype unit that has kind of split from yorha and is initially an antagonist and 9s is trying to catch up with 2b to make sure she's okay and he sees a2 who is mercy killing 2b but he just sees her with a sword and 2b and 2b looks at 9s and for the first time calls him by the nickname he wanted her to call him which is nines she like smiles and says oh nines and dies and it's heartbreaking it is so sad and 9s like screams the same way eve does when you killed adam and then the game stops and the two like the two machines that are your pods that are kind of like navi from ocarina of time like they're your like sidekicks start talking amongst each other and from that point on you play as a2 or 9s um and you play through their their stories 9s slowly over time becomes an antagonist he becomes like eve was uh he's obsessed with with 2b and and the idea that he lost this close friend who uh he obviously had strong feelings for and a2 is kind of then the analog for the audience she's like figuring things out and kind of being reintroduced to the world he spent the first part of the game learning and 
the way those plots play out and and the like meta text and the fourth wall breaking moments and like it's just so constantly one-upping itself and it's like plot delivery and it's gameplay mechanics and never mind just the incredible soundtrack and like the sleek design of the game i was constantly on the edge of my seat with this game it is not a long game um in the grand scheme of things like all the playthroughs only probably collectively take like 30 hours maybe um which is you know a decent amount of time but like it's not like a persona 5 or anything and all that to say the ending the final ending you eventually get all the endings and then your the credits are rolling and your two pods are like you know what i can't settle for this like i i don't think this is how this should end you know like i think that in our time together we've grown to care about these characters and i don't accept this as a because the whole time they're basically machines and as the game goes on they also develop personalities um so you have a choice then of like saying no to the game's endings and trying to see if there's any chance at a happy ending and it's impossible it turns into a bullet hell shooting game against the end credits you can't win and the game tells you that every time you lose but then you can ask for help and you start seeing real players' names show up. They help you fight the end credits to one of the most beautiful songs. I think it's just called A Beautiful Song, actually. Uh, I'm tearing up just talking about it. But it is it is such a beautiful moment. And it's such, it's such a powerful message in a game that is otherwise... I'm actually crying. It is so fucking powerful to like have a game that's all about the fact that you're on Earth for no reason. There's no reason for you to do anything and your, your life is meaningless. But what gives you meaning is the fact that you can choose to have it. The fact that you can choose to care about someone for no reason other than doing it. You get nothing for helping someone in this game. You have to delete your game. And they even tell you, they're like, they're like the person you're helping might be a bad person. You might not like them at all. Do you still want to delete your game to help them? And you can do it. And I did. And I think that that is such like the ending you get from that is very hopeful. It's not truly a happy ending, but you're left with a sense of like, there could be a future. And it, it ends with the line of one of the pods saying like, a future is not something that's given. It's something that's taken for yourself, something like that. God, I didn't expect to get so worked up about this, but is I think one of the most beautiful experiences in a game, despite like how harrowing it is. And that's, I think to the game's credit of like, it had such a setup. And I mentioned this in the episode about it. It was all set up to be like a nothing matters, nihilistic, like fight club message, you know, <laughs> but it has this beautiful ray of hope at the end of it. That is because of people that are actually alive and that have sacrificed like their game to give you that chance uh i think for that reason and like for what it does within a medium it's it's easily one of my favorite games of all time and it's bolded and i can't believe i started crying holy shit <laughs> wow <laughs> was that too much no too no 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 um yeah i i refuse to say anything else about this game anything <laughs> if you're one of the greatest artists of all time why would you make another album um let's move on <laughs> <laughs> all right um that's 2017 holy shit i'm glad i saved that for last because i can't imagine talking about hq trivia after crying <laughs> about <laughs> about my android friends oh my god um yeah 2017 fucking amazing year for video games arguably the best i think uh just unbelievable i'm so happy I, i'm actually like I'm happy we have our podcast now. I think, like, if we started in 2017, I think we would have evaporated. This would have been so much to cover. <laughs> Dr. Manhattan you know? holds out his hand and goes, <laughs> and there we go. 
<laughs> these games survive. They're all in the Noah's Ark, but we're also part of the purge. We turn into dust mm-hmm. at the end of this. We have to delete our oh own saves God. to move on to 2018. To allow yeah. someone Speaking else to move on, on to 2018. 2018. Sorry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what if like, we take a break here and it's like just completely different people? Like, hey, it's me, uh, Corey and Sebastian, uh, <laughs> our host of Into the Aether for 2018. Oh my God. Good Lord. Okay, yeah, let's move on, though. I'm excited for 2018. Also, good year. Uh, might be familiar for some long-time listeners, because I think you know we had our Game of the Year episode for 2018, so we'll probably keep it a little bit shorter than this year, but there's still a lot of great stuff to cover. And also, uh, like we said earlier in the episode, we're going to not be doing 2019. So 2018 will be our last year of this episode. Yes. Um, what a journey it's been. This has been a lot of fun. I, I've really enjoyed this. Yeah. I mean, we alluded to it, I think, in 2016 or something, or maybe it was at the beginning of this year. I don't even know because whatever but like steve and i have been recording this episode over the course of i don't know how many weeks it's been at this point we've every episode that we've recorded we've allotted another like two to three hours afterwards to record more <laughs> of this episode which is wild this and then like, even in the middle of the yeah. week we've been like doing some pickups here and there like we've been recording this episode for a really long time it's wild to think we're about to do the last year but um let's take a break and uh come back and talk yeah. about 2018 and see how wait. it's deviated from our goatee episode last year yeah it has and that's why i think i think that'd be cool yeah absolutely see you then goodbye steven it's the final year that we're going to be talking about in depth in this decade um for now it's 2018 the first year that you and i started doing this podcast i think a lot of these games Mm -hmm. are games that we have discussed on the podcast um a lot of these games are ones that we both discussed and uh argued intensely over in last year's game of the year (laughs) episode as well uh so this is going to be a little bit of a revisitation of some old friends in a way with the addition of some new ones um which is fun so it worth noting hollow knight was in our top five of last year because of my protestation um we just talked about it in the last year so that it'll not be on this list and uh some other games have been removed some other games have been added some other games that we didn't talk about because we didn't play them until 2019 until this year have now made it onto this list so i'm interested to see what's changed and how we feel about this stuff one year out Um, oh yeah for sure i would like to start with i think one of the new ones if that's cool with you yeah that works uh return of the Oberdin, a game that i think you and i both at the end of 2018 looking at our list we're like probably should have played that <laughs> probably should yeah, have checked that out sure. before we made our goatee lists um and uh i played i think it was maybe the first game i played in 2019 it might have been the first game i played this year yeah return of the Oberdin, uh follow-up game to papers please by uh developer lucas pope papers please we talked about on this episode already return of the Oberdin, incredible game just visually like i think honestly it is the most reductive thing to say about it, maybe, but is also the most striking element of it. Um, the game looks like like a bitmap, like old school Mac OS one graphic. It is incredible. Um, just how like visually stunning this game is, and and the sense of style and its use of shadow and light on on an environment is second to none, um, and is completely unique. Uh, so just. Beyond that, an incredible visual game. But it involves you as an insurance inspector arriving on a a ship, a pirate ship adjacent thing, just kind of like a trading company ship, investigating the disappearance and murders of literally every person on the ship. Uh, And you have to make your way through and using environmental context clues uh, and another thing which I'll talk about, uh, figure out who all of the people are who were on the ship and how they died. Uh, And in some cases, who killed them? 
the main way you go about doing this beyond just in exploring the environment um, and just picking up on, you know, kind of like Bioshock gone home esque, uh, you know, pieces of paper and things like that drawn all over the place. You also have a pocket watch that allows you to, if you are near a corpse, see the last like five seconds of their life and how they died. Um, and it all gets acted out in front of you and you hear it all. Uh, and then it pauses at the exact moment of their death and you are able to walk around the final second of their life and see if you can use that to figure out any clues. Um, it is just like a ridiculously smart and simultaneously like simple and complex game mechanic that is explored as much as you possibly can, which I think is the sign of a really great center for a, a, a uh, central mechanic for a video game is like if this is the thing you're going to build your whole game around, explore every possible version of that that is still fun. Uh, that is what Return of the Oberdin succeeds at in spades. It's incredible. One of, yeah. I think, the smartest things that they do about this, I just talked I just talked on an episode that we recently recorded about Judgment and, and how wonderful it is to have a game that really leans into being a game about being a detective and, like, using, yeah. like, spatial awareness, context clues uh, in, in speech, like, facial tics, things like that to, to judge, didn't mean to use that word, but uh, to judge, you know, <laughs> uh, who, who is the perpetrator of the crime you're investigating. Return of the Oberdin does that similarly with an even more brilliant... Um, little twist on it in that you have to perfectly I was going to say guess but guessing is the wrong word you need to know three people and their causes of death before the game acknowledges that you've gotten any of them correct so you need to continue writing down names and causes in this book that you carry with you and it's not until you get three correct that it's, it says yes you're correct locks in the three of them and you move on to unlocking the next three which prevents you from guessing there are times in which guessing does also come into play. So like the game created that mechanic, Lucas Pope created that mechanic to prevent people from guessing, but then also subverts it later in the game where you will need to start just like wildly throwing shit out there. And he wants you to do that. He wants you to like lose your mind trying to figure out some of these things. Um, it's all part of the narrative arc and it is so brilliant and so well done. And it didn't make our list last year. And honestly, I still don't think it would. Like, if we made our 2010 list now, I still don't think it would make our top 10, uh, but it is a game worth highlighting, and I think it is a game that a lot of people are going to look at to the future to figure out oh, yeah. how to make games about puzzle solving in environments like this. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool game. It's also out on Switch now, I yeah, think. That's where I'm going to probably pick it up, because I, I have seen gameplay of it, but I have not played it directly. But yeah, it's it's a it seems to be a really cool testament in the in the medium. And Can the, I tell you? Sorry. Oh, go ahead. Keep going. I was going to say, like, in terms of our list, like, I, I was reviewing my 2018 list uh, to see, like, how I think of it um, now, and I was probably going to touch on that a little bit in our Game of the Year episode this year, but uh, I'm pretty much, like, 100% still by my list. <laughs> I feel like I, I chronicled <laughs> that year, like, which is cool. Like, I mean, there are some things that, like, I would definitely probably highlighted, or maybe, like, the order might be a little different, but overall, like, it's pretty much exactly how I still feel, which is yeah. cool. But Oberdin's definitely something we would have covered more if we had played it when it came out, for sure. I think so, too. Too, it would have at least like had yeah. a nice honorable mention moment. Um, but yeah. in terms of this list for, you know, this best of the decade, I actually I really do think it's worth highlighting in here specifically. 
Um, oh, yeah. What Absolutely. I was going to say was that I think 2019's Return of the Oberdin, a game that you and I both have not played. Well, I've played oh. some of, but you haven't you haven't played it yet. And uh, if I don't finish it in time and whatever, like it's going to be Outer Wilds. That is the Return of the Oberdin of this year. Oh, really? I thought you were going to say Disco Elysium because that's what it is for me. Where, like, oh, that's yeah. A game I mean, that's, I really... yeah, that one's yeah. so off my radar even. Like, I just don't have a way of playing it as much as I want to. Like, at least Outer Wilds is within my grasp and I can do it. Um, that's what I mean like yeah. I've I've had not to like be like oh I have so many people but like a, a few people have like directly been like Steven I really want you to play Disco Elysium I think you would love it and like yeah. it looks like it's entirely dialogue driven it looks really cool I just don't have a gaming PC um, but they are porting it to PS4 early next year so right. it will be one of those like hey this would have probably been on my list <laughs> Yeah, but we'll see like I don't know I have no idea I, I feel pretty confident not to spoil anything but I feel pretty confident with my list of 2019 so but it's definitely something that I am I want to check out on experience but Outer Worlds for sure I need to uh, I need to experience that more yeah um, enough about 2019 though let's talk about 2018 a little more <laughs> what's next steven marvel spider-man um this was a big deal i think one of the best like honestly one of the best like video game experiences you can ask for that i that i I feel like a lot of games we love it's like okay like who can i recommend this to because like at the end of the day it's all subjective i think spider-man provides like a near universal like joyous experience that that does tackle a lot of interesting mechanics i think they mastered the swinging uh so you know swinging around the buildings it's all therapeutic and great yeah that Um, was table stakes for making a spider-man game was was getting the swinging right for the first time since like spider-man 2 happened yeah and on top of that there the combat is really fun and and it's tough like especially in the beginning i I was talking to someone about this recently where you know i think i compared it to i wouldn't compare this to a souls game in terms of like structure but i actually think what they do here is a little bit more effective where like it is tough in the very beginning like the, the like tutorial mission where you have to fight kingpin i died like dozens of times oh, this game is really hard yeah me but too. like you do learn very quickly and then by the end you're like unstoppable and that happens <laughs> without the like wall of frustration that usually comes with the souls game yeah uh you know so like i think there's a way to have a kind of quote-unquote mainstream triple a game with like challenging combat mechanics without being like we're gonna make this as like difficult as possible and you're fighting a boss named like the forgotten son like you don't need to do that <laughs> to emulate what makes those games good. So combat's great. And and above all else for me, I think this is one of one of the best Spider-Man narratives I've seen, like video games or not. Like it's, they really, I think you and I talked about this a lot in our game of the year episode. This was number two on my list. It was almost my game of the year. I think it was our game of the year. It was our yeah. top five collective list. And I think I stand by that because I think this is a game that like I could without hesitation recommend to anyone, Marvel fan or not, video game fan or not. It is a heartwarming narrative that's just about being like part of a community being a good person superhero or not and working together and asking for help when you need it i can't think of a more positive message for a superhero to send it's great i love it yeah um for obvious reasons i can't talk a whole lot about this game Um, (laughs) right right but uh it's it's good (laughs) it's maybe the best there's also a a decent amount of dlc they've released for it that i still have to check out uh with black cat and and a few other characters so Uh, the black that's all great awesome so good yeah would recommend to anyone it's also like a pretty like I, I respect games like this that have such a powerful story that's delivered in like a pretty short amount of time like it's a pretty it's a it's a very like it does not overstay its welcome you're left wanting more and it's just a really heartwarming time um with yeah. like really good dramatic moments near the end i i think and like 
pretty brave choices for a Spider-Man take to to do. Like, I, I won't spoil that, but like, they do some things where it's like, oh wow, they really committed to doing that for that yes. character. Interesting. Yes. So yeah, uh, unbelievably good. One of the best games of 2018. Our game of the year. My runner-up. Just so good. Yes, it was incredible. What is next? Uh, you want to talk about Smash Brothers? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Smash Brothers Ultimate. I mean, we we had both Smash Brothers that came out this decade on the list, and I think they both deserve to be here. But I think Ultimate Completely is, yeah. as the title implies, like the fully realized idea of Smash Brothers. It's it's Nintendo like doubling down on the fact that they are no longer like ignoring the competitive scene for this game, while simultaneously making a game for everyone, which I think is an important thing to do. Like you don't want it to be one way or the other. Just an amazing roster, uh, an amazing presentation, so many cool additions. Like when this game was like coming out. I feel like uh, a, a lot of our <laughs> quote-unquote heavy italics news episodes mm-hmm. in 2018 were all just about the absurd Pokemon Sword and Shield updates of like, yeah. now you can play as a bird who eats a fish. And mm-hmm. 2018 was all about who what was being added to Smash and like all the ridiculous, like just the characters that were revealed to be in this game were just like, it looked like a fake leak of like a fan roster of like yeah. here's who is in the game and like that but that's actually what it is and it's just so fun like there were some clunky things with the online on launch they've definitely improved it it's still not ideal but like as far as nintendo online goes it's it's about as good as you can expect yeah i mean um, we're at the point now though where i i've kept up with the competitive scene for this a lot and and one of the common things that uh announcers and and commentators will always say about people when they show up and it's like oh yeah this person doesn't play at tournaments locally they just play online the common refrain now is online breeds champions because like the online has has now gotten good enough where people are using it specifically like to train to be good enough to start like winning tournaments Um, wow so it's actually it's turned around a little bit it seems uh for people who have like solid enough connections uh at their houses yeah it's rad it's the interface is fine. It just little things like if you make a if you make a room to play with friends and you want to change the rules, you have to delete make an the whole room, room. <laughs> <laughs> which is the most Nintendo thing. It's like, hey, can I make one change? Cool. Uh, break your switch in half. Buy find, a new one. Yeah, find um, the six and, Infinity Stones, attach them to your gauntlet, and snap the room yeah, away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Buy Terry. Uh, what's his name? Terry. I was a Terry Bradford. Whatever the new character's name. Terry is. Pratchett. Buy him again. Terry. <laughs> <laughs> the Discworld level is so fucking cool. Um, <laughs> oh my god. Uh, Smash Bros. Ultimate. I mean, not a hot take. It's a great game. Uh, yeah. Another thing, kind of like Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, where it's like, it's easy to overlook this game. Oddly enough, this was nominated in the uh, Video Game Awards for 2019, which seemed a little weird. Yeah, because it came you know. out so late in the year. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but um, I mean, yeah. It's... It did it won Best Fighting Game, though. At the Game Awards. I mean, that makes sense. There yeah. has like, The only other game that has come close to this in terms of, like, fighting games is maybe the Dragon Ball game, yeah. um, which was an honorable mention in my 2018 episode. But, uh, uh, I do like FighterZ a lot. Do did you, you say think... <laughs> No, I said, I said AO. I thought um, you were AO. <laughs> do you I think mean, that you they came AO. up with the name Smash Brothers Ultimate before they decided anything else about it? <laughs> I could see this have having been a okay. We're gonna call it Smash Brothers Ultimate. What does that mean? And then going back, adding all of the characters from every single iteration of Smash Brothers, going through like adding in wave dashing and things like that again, so all the competitive players are happy. Like it just it just does feel so much like the culmination of everything that's ever happened in the Smash Brothers franchise, and it it really makes me wonder what if anything is next. Like they're yeah. adding a bunch of characters, they're doing a second Fighters Pass. We know that already, but like what happens after all of that? 
that? Like, what does this game look like see in them. three to five years? Are they saying we're developing another one or are they like, this is it, my guy? Honestly, I'd be happy with like in five years, whatever the new system is, if they just do like a Smash Ultimate Deluxe and have the game on that system with all the DLC. Yeah, that would be perfect. You yeah. know, I don't think I don't think they need to do anything new. I mean, I, th- I think Melee is an example. I don't think this community is going anywhere. I think Smash is going to be alive for a long time. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think like they probably will eventually make something new, but they're I don't think they like would realistically for another like eight years. <laughs> what I could see <laughs> like, honestly, like, play- I, I think bringing yeah. up melee is a good point because everybody forever has just wanted like melee remastered. They just want that game playable on a modern console or like downloadable in the eShop or something like that. I think if you're gonna say like one Smash Brothers game is the one that we're gonna carry through into the future forever and like constantly just like revitalize through deluxe editions and port it over, like you could do a lot worse than Smash Ultimate. Like if you just took this game and this oh, yeah. was the one that had the thing that everybody wanted for Melee of just being carried over through the decades, like that would be fucking awesome um but you, yeah. i mean eventually they'll probably make another one whether sakurai is included or not you know in, in the production of that i think is probably up in the air because that dude needs to take a vacation a well-deserved break yeah he was apparently Absolutely. like at work on smash brothers when they won the award the other night like he he was it's oh, wow. wild yeah like ridiculous um i mean he makes great stuff but he does I love that apparently King Dedede is his favorite character, which warms my heart because he's also mine. And he voices King Dedede. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Yeah. Hell yeah. That's amazing. That that rules. We love Sakurai. We love Smash Bros. Ultimate. Well deserved. It was number three on my list and it was on number five on our collective list. Yeah. I think I had it at five or six. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, the 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 collective list was like kind of us meshing them to the best of our ability, a lot of compromises. But I think Smash was the one that was actually like a mathematical average of our two placements. Yes. <laughs> um. So it was it was five. Uh, moving on, let's do Into the Breach. Um, sure. Into the Breach, I think, is one of the one of the big games that represents like what a great year for for indie games on switch 2018 was um this was like if 2017 was like the nintendo ip year with like breath of the wild and super mario odyssey and mario Kart 8 deluxe and splatoon 2 2018 was them being like here's our third party and indie support and there's so many great indie games on switch hollow knight included uh the reason we we made it case for it being 2018 is because of just how much it fit on switch versus pc yeah and i Truth be told, I don't think it really got noticed to the same degree until it was on Switch. Uh, I didn't really like hear much about it until then. You had games, uh, other games we'll talk about, and Into the Breach, same developers as FTL, a game that we talked about earlier uh, back in uh, back in 2012. We talked about FTL, same developers as Into the Breach, a turn-based strategy game where you play as a group of three mechs fighting giant bugs in a future that can only be saved by traveling back in time every time you lose. This is a game you and I talk about how much we love when mechanics are utilized in the narrative. So this is a strategy game with a roguelike framing device where every time you lose, you have to start over with the narrative twist that you're actually traveling back in time every time you lose and you can take one pilot back with you. Yeah. So there is that sense of like long-term development of like if you keep that pilot alive, you can have like a pretty highly leveled uh, customized pilot 
that if you then lose is like heartbreaking. So this combines your terms for both of us of like uh, emotional masochism and like mechanical masochism of like getting to know the game better through failure, but also like the heartbreaking moments when you lose a character you care about. Um, yeah. This is a fantastic game. I, I would recommend it to a lot of people we have. I, I'm surprised it didn't make our collective top five list. It was, I think, number four for me on my on my 2018 list. But yeah, I, I love this game. It's such a cool presentation, like very 90s PC game, kind of StarCraft-esque in that way, but like hand-drawn. Yeah, that's um, one of the things that I always highlight when I talk about it is like the the tone of this game is so fucking dour and and filled with melancholy and the fact that the art style is like a little bit cartoony just kind of makes that palatable like if this game went for a more realistic tone in its visuals it would be like too much it would be like unplayable because it would be too fucking sad. Yeah. um you talk a lot yeah. about how one of the main pilots you had was kind of like kind of like a goofy one right who was like making jokes all the time um yeah let me look up his name i had uh, one who was not who was like very much a realist and a pragmatist and like fully leaned into how upsetting the world was um and i kept her with me for a really long time like like four to five hours of gameplay like she was the one that i always brought back in time um and i remember i brought this game over to a friend's house just to show it to him because i was like hey i think you'd really like this and i fucked up one move and she died and it was like i i just had like a full-on breakdown like in his living room like showing him this game and he was like dude what what is happening he was like are you all right and i was like no man, i i could not have done a worse thing to show you what this game is great or, or why this game is great. And then it wasn't until later um, him having played it and me talking to him about that moment again, being like, actually, that was maybe the best thing for you to have seen about this game is me like having a full on like panic attack meltdown about this pilot dying. Yeah, because like what a, what an upsetting world this game creates for you. But what a great way to interact with it. Because oh, yeah. You you feel so strongly that like there is 0.1% hope in this world and you try and do everything you can to maximize that 0.1%. It's really an incredible game and I've only played more of it this year. It's awesome. Yeah, it's it's a great game to always go back to. It's, there's always so many variables of, of how to play it and like you unlock different groups of three with the mechs that all are kind of built around one strategy but you can also mix between that so you can like kind of make your own meta strategy with that and the pilots all have like an innate ability um like i use henry kwan uh who is the pilot that kind of cut the tension a bit he would be like autographs later gotta kill bugs first kind of like a starship troopers vibe almost yeah i loved him and uh, his ability was he can move through enemy units so like they don't block his oh his path. that's a really good ability yeah. yeah it is yeah and he i had him in a mech that like shot a really powerful laser in one line so it's tricky because you might hurt your own units but because that coupled with his ability to move through units made him really effective yeah. so there's some really cool combinations you can do with like what mechs are providing you with and what pilots can do that makes this game like so customizable and so fresh every time you play it unlike ftl like there's a little bit less rng happening here it's a little bit more skill based so it feels like you're getting better the more you play it whereas ftl you kind of have to luck out a little bit ftl is a lot about like re like resource management like when to kind of like know to take risks whereas this game is like you are being shown what the enemy is going to do next turn, kind of like Slay the Spire or any game where like your enemy intentions are broadcasted to you. So it's like 
space chess basically you know i think we described it that way in our episode about it yeah um infinitely replayable so good an amazing soundtrack and uh i would highly recommend it on switch i think i actually would recommend it primarily handheld because like it's a little bit hard to parse on the big screen but yeah handheld it's like unbelievably this good. is like one of the few games that i play mostly handheld yeah, it's a good it's a good commute game if it wasn't so dour. <laughs> but you know, it's it's a fun it's a fun puzzle, fun strategy, and, and just one of the, my favorite games of the year. Yeah, uh, into the breach. Wow, what do you want to talk about next? This kind of feels 2017 adjacent in that like all of these games are so good. I don't even know what to say about them. <laughs> yeah, and I got my last bolded game, which I'll save for later. Um, um how about God so of War? God of War. So this is a game that was another kind of point of tension when we did our episode about it because I hadn't played it yet, mm, or I right, played right, like right. very little of it. Sadly, I still haven't really put a lot more time into it. Like I've really enjoyed what I've experienced in that game, but I haven't seen it through to the end. It feels like kind of like a, a near automata or something like that. It feels like a game you have to kind of devote yourself to uh, for that experience. Yeah. Um, so I've just been trying to find the time. Uh, but I did pick up Neil Gaiman's Norse Mythology after you recommended it mm. based on this game. Yeah. And I thoroughly enjoyed that book. So just a tangent there. That's good. Um, I would recommend to you, dear listener, don't read that book until you finish the game because there's some <laughs> potentially <laughs> Sorry, spoilery backwards. stuff in there. Um, yeah. For this game. But uh, yeah, God of War, um, the reboot not even reboot sequel slash reboot of this franchise I think is is really worth highlighting I mean beyond the fact that it looks beautiful is uh you know well written well performed wonderful gameplay like they they take everything that was like fun about the original God of War games and just kind of like modernize it bring it into like an over-the-shoulder third-person kind of view to bring you closer to Kratos as a character um and and his son and their experience trying to bring the ashes of his wife up to this mountaintop as are her final wishes. But I think the the thing that I really want to highlight about this game is, is this like kind of your growing interest in um, or the growing interest narratively in like taking these characters that have been known to be like just shitty men and kind of giving them redemption arcs in a way. And like the thing that I always grapple with when I recommend this game to people is like how how many times are you going to give a shitty dude a second chance? You know, like even, <laughs> right, even if right. it's a fictional shitty dude, like right now, um, you know, we're, we're in the marketing season for the new James Bond movie. It's called No Time to Die. It's the last one Daniel Craig is going to do, apparently, although he said that for the last two. But who knows? And like there is no character that you can point to is just like like personified misogyny as as James Bond. Right. You know, but it seems like the movies are starting to try and kind of grapple with that and question that. And and like they brought on Phoebe Waller Bridge to like script doctor this movie like they seem to be trying to make over James Bond as an idea. Uh, even though he's kind of antiquated. And, and I feel like God of War is kind of tackling a similar thing. We talked about Uncharted 4, um, kind of like asking the question, you know, what does it mean to be Nathan Drake? Is is that actually just him being selfish or is he trying to do something, you know, for the betterment of like history and archaeology and society? Or is he just doing it for himself? And like, what is the point of yeah. that? And what is he leaving? You know, is he sacrificing his own life potentially for his wife and his daughter? Like so fucked, you know, like so fucked yeah. and like and, and narcissistic for him to go out on an adventure like that. Honestly, that is what God of War is about. God of War is about Kratos atoning for the shit that he did in the first few games. Um, and as an extension of that, it is about the creator of those games 
um, and the team that worked on those games trying to atone via a narrative in this video game for the like not great stuff they depicted in the previous entries in the franchise. And as much as I found myself before this game came out really against even like giving that a shot <laughs> being like no you you have not earned my time at all what do you mean i bought this game and i sat down and i played it it was fucking incredible like they 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 do it well um by the end of that game it does i mean it doesn't 180 at all you know you you still are playing as kratos you still are the same character that did those horrible things but at least in writing a game about that they accomplished what they set out to do um, in exploring it in every way and, and kind of like asking the question, what are the ramifications of that? It's it's a kind of brilliant game. Um, and I'm now actually really looking forward to a sequel. Uh, and I have replayed this game uh, since finishing it for the first time because they added New Game Plus and stuff. So I went back and played it again. It's good. It's really good. Yeah. I want more. I love the idea of like that that parallel you drew of of the creators and and Kratos simultaneously dealing with that because rather than just like starting a new like a, a a true reboot where like Kratos is a different kind of character, I think it is more powerful. And I think the thing about even the early God of War games are in a weird way about Kratos trying to fix the world, but he continuously fucks it up, you know? And the first game is all about its revenge. He's trying to take out the God of War, Ares, hence the title. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other gods are kind of using him as a pawn. And but like, you know, the, the games are riddled with like unnecessary, like kind of toxic male power fantasies, like both in like weird misogynistic moments and like just the hyper violence that it's kind of glorifying. Yeah. But I think it makes sense. Like even like the fact that they like didn't toss aside that story, like, well, wh- where would this guy actually be now? You know, like what is doing all that stuff? Like basically like there's a moment in God of War three where I never really like got super into the trilogy, but like, you know, they, they had their moment in the spotlight. Like when that was like a, you know, when, when those things weren't as heavily questioned in, in the spotlight, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I never, I truth be told, I always was kind of put off by the violence of them. Um, but like there's a moment in three where you're just like punching, Punching Zeus in the face until like you can't even see him because the camera is covered in blood and like that moment is just indulgent like it's not trying to say or do anything it's just like look at all this blood yeah but then you have 2018 God of War where it's like Kratos looking at his hands and asking look at all this blood yes. <laughs> you know and like the game the game begins with him hugging a tree and crying and then cutting it down which I think is kind of the like if I had to reduce that story so far to one image it's like this person trying to change and trying to hold on to a world that that might need protecting, but then resorting to the only thing he knows, which is cutting it down. There's a similar moment with like a, when he teaches his son how to hunt, where like even though Kratos is trying to t- change, all he really knows how to do and all he's really good at is killing stuff. Yeah. So he's always going to kind of operate through that lens. Yeah, it's 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 really well done. And I think it's cool. Like, I mean, you know, I don't I don't think the I don't know much about the creators of the of the game, uh, you know, other than that, they were, you know, part of the original team. And like, I don't want to, like, condone the the more problematic stuff of the original trilogy as like a sign of the times. But I think it, it like that kind of like video games weren't respected as much as they are now. And I feel like it was sort of just like a weird Mountain Dew event whenever a new God of War game came out. Yeah, you know? no, totally. Like, it totally was. Yeah. Uh, and there there is a place for like well done camp. You know, I think like the problem with those earlier games is like it's not trying to be camp. 
I think it becomes camp based on just how ridiculous it is. And and then there's all like the gunk around that. So I think this is kind of a brilliant way to like deal with that. And like and I think they've proven that they can write a good story and, and make a good game. So like I think I, whether it's God of War or something new, I'm excited to see what they make next. Yeah. Um, so. What I will say is I don't I don't think you played far enough in, but there are allusions to like really interesting sequels to this game. Like it's oh cool. It seems like they are going to expand on this in a way that will be just incredible. Uh, and I I kind of can't yeah. wait to see it. Yeah. God of War is is good. It's yeah. a good game. I think credit credits do. I think the original series made their name on like having spectacle be in the spot, like like the, the boss fights and the abilities being were, like, fucking gigantic. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And like quick, they, they popularizing quick time events that very like, well. Yeah. Right. For better or for worse, um, they popularized quick credit- time events, but at the time they were amazing and they were so fun. Yeah. And like that kind of brought in the action RPG into the spot like that. And like Bayonetta, I would say were like the games that made like a hack and slash action RPG, like a popular thing. And I say that because I think that that DNA is still in the new game. Like they still do that very well. Like the big spectacle of it all is, yeah. is grand totally. and, and amazing. Um, also just worth noting the end of this game, like the post game stuff that you can do just ridiculous. Um, there, there is a, <laughs> there is a side quest that you can do in which you have to take out all of the Valkyries, um, including like the queen Valkyrie by the end. Um, and each one is like, I know we've referenced Dark Souls so many times, which like, thank God we talked about it on this list already. Um, <laughs> you're all you're getting in this episode is just like reasons why Dark Souls should have been on this list earlier. But anyway, um, these Valkyrie fights are like straight up Dark Souls bosses, like every single time. They're so crushingly difficult on a level that the rest of the game does not even come close to. Like the difficulty spike between the end of this game, the hardest thing at the end of this game and what the Valkyries have on offer night and day. Uh, in, in terms of difficulty and it is just a joy to make it through them and to fight the last one like if that was its own game i would play that in a fucking heartbeat um, yeah it really just goes to show like how much talent is on that team in terms of like creating really satisfying combat and i hope to see more of that valkyrie-esque combat in whatever comes next um anyway that was a Absolutely. long time ago out of war let's talk about a different video game what's next <laughs> sure what is next? Uh, let's talk about Florence. Um, Florence was the first game produced or published by Annapurna or not the first. Might have been. Not really sure. Early, though. One, Definitely early. Early on in their in their new endeavor and in, 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 uh, publishing and developing games. Annapurna published this lovely mobile game named Florence uh, that was out on all mobile devices. And it is one of the, I would say, like poster examples of what you can do exclusively on mobile uh, that makes it a unique experience versus what's on console or PC. Florence tells like a really beautiful and relatable story of a, of a young woman kind of starting her career and falling in love and falling out of love and, and where her like creative endeavors fit in the middle of that. It's, it's pretty simple stuff, but like it's all in the delivery. Um, it's worth noting. There's no dialogue at all here. There's even scenes of dialogue and it's reduced to like a puzzle game where you drag pieces together and, uh, the better the conversation is going and the story, the easier the puzzle is, which I thought was a really neat thing. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of little moments like that. And just like the art is like so beautiful. And so like immediately endearing and the sound, track is incredible it's just like it's talking about a game you could just recommend to anyone and they will probably have the capability of playing it like florence is that like it's just immediately accessible immediately relatable 
it's like a 40 minute experience that will probably you know touch your heart in some way and and it's great it's a testament to how much you can do with as little as possible uh and i I really love it for that yeah the only thing i'll add to that is uh just a thing that you and i said a lot when we talked about it initially which is i can't wait for other developers to try and make like florence likes you know like i i want so oh, yeah. badly to see more games told in this manner florence likes is great i love that <laughs> uh so good such a good game yeah love florence it's, it's i'll keep it short and sweet for that because just like the game yeah. um next up we got monster hunter world uh this is a fun one because it was a game that you and i both had on our 2018 lists pretty much everything here was on our list but uh, other than Oberdin, but um we didn't know the other one liked it until it was around the same place. I think it was six for me and it was five for you or something like that. Yeah. Something um, like that. And uh, we both really dug it. Um, both still really like it. I'm always wanting to go back to it. I just like always am like, I'm not quite ready for that jump. Cause it's, I feel like a lot to relearn and, and, and all that, but it's an incredible game. It was my first monster hunter game and it was such a good introduction to the series that I'm now like super into just like a beautiful world. I think my favorite thing about this game is that it doesn't even bother trying to have a story. They're like, we know why you're here. You're here to hunt monsters. The story is going to be people waving at you. <laughs> That's, <it. laughs> That's literally uh, the whole, yes, absolutely. And- <laughs> just like a really one of my favorite hub worlds in a game like you have this kind of camp that's made out of like monster parts and like bridges and and you know kind of mountains and you have these cat sidekicks that are like uh there's my favorite character in a video game the meow skeeler chef who like makes your food before every meal mm-hmm. it kind of boosts your stats and like there's a different animation of all these cat chefs cooking together and it's that's my game of the year of this decade is that cutscene. <laughs> um but it's a super fun game it, it's it this series has kind of had a reputation of kind of having a steep learning curve and like oddly beautiful because of that, there has been a tradition of like experienced players kind of like meeting up with a new player and like showing them the ropes online. Like kind of, there has been a community of people who have like dedicated themselves to helping people learn the game. I think it's always kind of been a very small, but passionate following. Like, Yeah. My, my experience with this franchise started with, um, Believe it or not, Monster Hunter 1 on the PlayStation 2, I got it uh, with, a bunch, oh, wow. with a bunch of my friends. We were just like, what the fuck is this? This looks, You're just going to hunt dinosaurs? Hell yeah. Um, <laughs> and had like no idea how to play it or what the loop was in, this, in that game at all. Um, but still like really enjoyed it. Talked about it all the time when it came out. Um, and then didn't play another one until 3 came out for the Wii U, which was like my like silent best friend was just like playing monster hunter three by myself early mornings on the Wii U was like a joy that I just kept to myself and never told anyone about. And then when I eventually <laughs> did tell a friend about it, he was like, what? He was so mad at me. Cause he had a bunch of friends who were all playing monster hunter together all the time and was so mad that I had played a whole bunch of it. And then I wasn't <laughs> a part of it. And then I couldn't like help yeah. him out with his hunts and stuff. So with that crew, I ended up playing some more of the Monster Hunter games uh, on the 3DS. But even like having played them in the past, I didn't get into any of them the same way I did with Monster Hunter World. Like Monster Hunter World is so immediately fresh in in kind of the same way like a Breath of the Wild or like a Mario Odyssey or like anything that's been happening with Nintendo on Switch is like it is a refinement of that franchise down to its basest elements that make it fun. Like, get rid of everything that's not fun about Monster Hunter, uh, and that's what Monster Hunter World is. It, it is just, like, the perfect entry-level game to play if you are even remotely interested in checking it out. Yeah. yeah. It rules. It's so fun. I haven't played the DLC either. there's so much to do. Yeah, it's yeah. so good. Even before the DLC, like, there was so much. Like, I, I played a pretty good amount of this game, and I feel like I was only about halfway through, like, the plot, if you will. Yeah. Um, but there's so much to do and like the new DLC, we should definitely revisit. It. I think it'd be fun. And, yeah. uh, 
it's a great game to play with a group of friends. There's not a lot of like online cooperative games, I feel like, and this is one of the best. Uh, it's just so fun. Yeah. Oh, and the man. weapons are so unique. I love the weapons in this game. Like you have like your giant hammer made out of a bone, which is what I used, or you have like a weird bagpipe that's also a sword. Like I don't know what's going on. It's great. Mm-hmm. I love it. I really want to do the last boss with you if you haven't done it. It's Oh, yeah. Absurd. It is so wild. You would love it. I've I thought that if it's the same one I'm thinking of, like you fight them a couple times throughout the story, right? They're just like a mountain, basically. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's really good. Okay, I'm excited. You got me excited. Also, Mike, I think I said this in the episode, but my character is named Alf and just looks like incredibly high. That's how like, I designed this yeah. character. He is like, he kind of looks like Waka from Final Fantasy X, but is incredibly high. And my cat <laughs> rules. And uh, I love all the character customization and. Uh, like, there are some cutscenes where they try to make Alf look cool. I'm like, don't. Like, he's doing his own thing. Don't make him, like, fit this yeah. like, action hero role. He's not cool. My character, I, mean, I love him. He is cool. I remember my character really upset my friends because I make Waluigi in, like, every game that has a character creator. I'm just like, <laughs> I just, I have this running joke with myself that, like, if Nintendo's not going to make a, a Waluigi solo game, then I'm going to do it myself by, like, just inserting him into every other game. So, like, I played through Bloodborne as Waluigi. Uh, and I played through Monster Hunter World <laughs> as Waluigi also. Um, but specifically in Monster Hunter World, there was no way to not make him like kind of hot. So all of my yeah. friends just called him Hot Waluigi every time. And whenever he showed up in cutscenes, like, oh, there's Hot Waluigi again, just fucking up that monster. Um, it was great. <laughs> I don't know if it's because of Hot Waluigi, but I now suddenly want to like just start from the beginning of that game, like make it like I love Alf, but I I wanted to experience that game again. I really want to go back to it. Yeah, so much fun. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, it's also I think not, again not that you compare every fucking game to Dark Souls, but it's like <laughs> probably the most like optimistic version of that type of game where like you're gonna lose a lot and you're gonna have to study the enemy a lot, but like it's never super frustrating. It's always like, cause the whole game is about learning these creatures and kind of like actually hunting them. Yeah. So like, you know, there, there's a lot of like revelry in the process over the end result, uh, which I think is what makes it not a frustrating experience. when like, you do lose and you, you know, you, it's often cooperative. So you have to like work again as a team and maybe try out something different. Like that's all super organic and great. Yeah. Um, Monster Hunter World, lovely game. Uh, next up, we got a game that I mentioned was taken off the list, but I made a case for it to go back uh, in place of, um, w- sadly, honorable mention to Let's Go Pikachu and Let's Go Eevee, which were on the list, but I think I switched them out because I thought this game deserved it a little bit more. No shade on Let's Go. We, we love that game. Love but, that uh, game. Play that game. It got dunked on a lot. Play Let's Go. But it's amazing. It is. You could ride Arcanine through Palatown. What more do you want? Um, you could ride Onyx through uh, Palatown. Honestly, riding Onyx is like both horrific and amazing. It's so good. Yes. But uh, anyway, talk about this Yeah, game. let's go. We're big we're big Pokemon fans, obviously, and let's go is a great addition to the series. But this is a game that was my in my top five. Uh it's called Grease. Uh it was also published by actually no, it was published by Devolver Digital. I always think it's Annapurna, but uh surprisingly enough, it's Devolver. Um also makes really cool stuff, but uh, it's from a, a studio from Spain, I believe. No dialogue. It's just a visual story about a young woman who loses her voice and simultaneously the color is lost in the world. And you navigate through these environments and return color back. Every world is based off one color, which is so brilliant and like really just flexes the muscle of the art direction of that game. I can't stress enough how beautiful this game is. If nothing else, like... One of the most like expertly designed games I've seen. Like the, it's just breathtaking. Um, 
brilliant watercolors, really cool, like just just incredible artwork across the board. And kind of oddly like an art house Metroidvania, I would say. <laughs> uh, the first level is red and it's like a canyon where there's like violent winds and it's like very anxiety inducing, but also kind of focuses on like the determination of the character where you can turn yourself into a square. That's one of your first abilities. You're, you kind of look like um, you were drawn. Like I always think of like a concept art of fashion with like long legs and like kind of the like almost like Hornet, oddly enough, from from uh, Hollow Knight. Mm-hmm. That type of like fashion drawing, uh, you sort of resemble that sort of silhouette. And uh, but you can turn into a big square, which prevents you from being blown away. It's like one of your first combat abilities or not combat, but like game abilities. You get to blue where you can like swim and and. There's just a lot of like light puzzles and then you eventually like find some NPCs you can help and and enemies you avoid. But it's so it's so rooted in the music and in the ambiance and like there's a game there. Like this could have easily been like sort of a 2D walking simulator and that still would have been fine, but like there's enough game here to keep it kind of I guess like a more compelling experience like gameplay wise while all the 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 art house stuff is also happening and it's really just visually a game about like finding yourself again after experiencing some type of grief or some type of battle with your own mental health. Um, similar to a game we'll talk about soon, but I, I think it was a beautiful note to end the year on. It's on Switch. I'd highly recommend it. And I think the reason I wanted to put it here above Let's Go is that I think this game doesn't get the attention I think it deserves. And I, I just want to once again highlight it and just tell people to get it because I think it fucking rules. I love it. Yeah, I didn't play it. <laughs> you said that kind of cocky I, got it. <laughs> I, I no i still really want to i i have it on my wish list um and i haven't pulled the trigger on it and i even now like don't have the time um but i really 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 do want to check it out eventually because it, yeah. it just sounds amazing it looks amazing you're not the only person who's recommended it to me at this point like other people in my life have since played him like brendan what the fuck are you doing not playing greece so I'll, I'll get to it um <laughs> It's, it's yeah. absolutely on my list. Yeah. Sound, also a shorter game. Yeah, it's it's a shorter game, so not too demanding. But I get it. There's so much stuff coming out. I, I still have to play like God of War. I still have to do a lot of stuff. So yeah, no worries there. Oh, boy. Um, I hope I don't cry again. Next up, we got <laughs> my last my last bolded game. Um, and our last game, my game of the, for the decade. Last game of the decade. Since we're not doing 2019. Um, this is my game of the year of 2018. One of my favorite games of all time. It's Celeste, uh, made by Matt Makes Games, um, and pretty small team. Uh, I think like six people are directly credited, um, but then it says and friends. I'm sure more people worked on the game, but regardless, uh, it is kind of, it's interesting that we're ending and beginning the decade with Super Meat Boy and Celeste, because I feel like they're very (laughs) similar in terms of like how the mechanics are. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah couldn't be more different in terms of like the subject matter being explored but in terms of like a a brutally difficult platformer that kind of has retro presentation and is kind of a like each level is like one room that's like testing your ability to do like a series of platforming challenges uh it's worth noting obviously as many people have pointed out this game has like Beautiful presentation, especially the soundtrack. Uh, Lena Rain composed it. Just unbelievable. I listen to it all the time. And I think that that presentation mixed with the story, which I'll get into, is what kept me going despite the absurd difficulty of this game. I think the fact that when you die, you start right over. And the fact that the presentation is so, like 
just pleasing and the music is so inspiring and and the story will grip you yeah. uh will will keep you going longer than you might in a game like Super Meat Boy or even the Dark Souls where like there's a lot rooting you on to keep trying in this game and I think that that works in its favor not to mention uh, there are actually accessibility options. You can just turn off the difficulty if you want. You can put on wings that let you dash infinitely. So if you just want to like treat this game like I'm just going to experience and enjoy the visuals and the music and just breeze through it, you can do that. And like I think this game is is my I brought this up before, but it's my argument against like nothing would be lost for any of any game that has made its reputation as being difficult for having the option. And I don't think anyone has looked down on Celeste for having that option in any way. If no. anything, it's a selling point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I do think, despite that, I think most people do feel compelled to play this game as intended. Uh, or I shouldn't say as intended, but like, you know, vanilla Celeste, because like, you do feel like taking on the impossible based on what's going on here. It's actually the it reason deals... I still haven't finished the game is because I like refuse to turn on any of those options because I feel like I need to finish it uh, Yeah, with all that stuff turned off personally. And it's been like my one roadblock. I'm wondering at this point if I should just turn some of that on and just like see what the end has in store for me because I'm, so, I'm like at the end i'm like at the end of the game and i just haven't done yeah. it. yeah but anyway i'm sorry keep going yeah oh no worries and and also also no shade if if you do turn them on like it's the the strength of the game is the story which i'll get into but really really simple setup you're you're uh, madeline who is wanting to climb a mountain kind of for unknown reasons um you meet some npcs along the way the first person you meet is an old woman who laughs at you for wanting to climb this mountain yeah <laughs> who's like probably been at the top uh i love there's a you leave the screen that she's in and her ha-has are still kind of trailing in behind you yeah uh, which really I thought was like a brilliant visual um you also meet you're like solaire of the adventure if you will is this character theo who i love who is this guy from seattle who like loves taking selfies and is also climbing the mountain for unknown reasons you'll see him throughout the adventure mm -hmm. and uh it's revealed pretty early on that madeline is battling living with severe anxiety she will have panic attacks in the game and other characters kind of help guide her through it and the main antagonist of the game is her other self, almost like a Persona 4 where you have like a shadow of yourself. There's a version of her that shows up with purple hair and kind of demonish eyes who sort of like is is your inner voice personified of like the voice in your head that tells you you can't do something and that you're stupid for trying. That part of yourself will follow you and haunt you and often be an obstacle in the levels. And I think that's where the game really shines. Uh... There's a moment halfway through where after just you've done tremendous platforming and, and done various things, you get to a hotel that's occupied by a ghost and your instinct as Madeline is to try to help this character. But ultimately, you don't know what they're going through and you trying to help kind of makes things worse and your your inner self kind of mocks you for trying. Yeah. Um, and it's easy to think at that point that Theo, your carefree friend, has nothing, you know, getting in his way but you find him in his own temple where he's actually like imprisoned in this gem that's like reflective on all angles and he's constantly being watched by eyes which i think is a brilliant way to deal with like whatever he's going through personified with like his obsession with social media like all eyes are on him all the time yeah. and and you know he feels kind of trapped by that but there's a moment halfway through where you're just at a campfire talking to Theo. And that's the moment where like i literally took pictures of the screen cuz i Madeline was saying stuff that like felt so like a lot of people have felt like this game really resonated with them personally. And I felt so immediately 
on the same page as Madeline. Like her, her situation is vague enough that it can apply to a lot of people, but specific enough and how she explains it that like anyone who has dealt with anxiety or, or, or any kind of mental health obstacle will, will feel like represented by this game. And, and, and I think Madeline's struggle is, is very universal in aspect that coupled with the game being about overcoming the impossible is such an inspiring message. It's not about like just being as difficult for, for no reason it's about proving to yourself that you can do something even when it seems impossible yeah that later on is intensified where you know her first instinct is to, is to tell her other self that she doesn't need them anymore she's like you know what i've proven to myself that i am worthwhile and i don't need you holding me back anymore and that makes things way worse because <laughs> her, her other self is like you don't need like there's this animation where she like kind of pops out of the like the the dialogue is all like you know their heads and text and she'll like pop out of of that box and like kind of look at Madeline directly. Yeah, it's, it's a really cool yeah. animation, but she just like knocks you off the mountain basically to start over. Yeah. But eventually she learns to accept that part of herself. And that that's after, after a really cool arguable boss fight with the other self. That's my favorite song. In the game is confronting myself. You prove to your other self that you recognize like you're here because at the end of the day, you're a defense mechanism. You want me to do well too. I just haven't been treating you. I haven't I haven't been recognizing that you are also part of me. And I have to accept that you're part of me. So then then it becomes not that that Madeline's mental health is something that's getting in her way. It's something that's part of her that you have to accept and at the end of the day almost celebrate because that's what's going to get you on, on the top of the mountain is is relishing yourself through and through 100%. And I think that's such a beautiful, the way it's done is so, it's so good. It, it's just so heartwarming and so like authentic. It's not, it's, it could sound corny and on the nose, but it really isn't when you play it. And it kind of reminds me of what I liked about Persona 4 of like a lot of those characters when you're in their respective dungeons, they're haunted by a negative part of themselves that represents something repressed. But when they can accept it, when they can say like, you're, uh, Kanji has a great line where he's like, he's like, you're a part of me, but I'm also part of you. Damn it! Like, yeah, I'm also in charge of this. Uh, and I think that this is a really powerful message you don't see very often, especially in a video game. So just like across the board, just mechanically, sonically, aesthetically, uh, thematically, everything is so united. And and it's a game that it, you can, you know, as as hard as it is, it's a pretty decently paced campaign. But then there's so much extra you can do as well. So like like I said, you can turn the difficulty off. You can also seek out the B sides, which are like <laughs> just ridiculous. I I've streamed a couple. I've somehow beaten a couple of them. Yeah. But uh, those are fun uh, streams. Those are so wild. Yeah. <laughs> those I think are my favorite streams. But yeah, I just I love this game. It's it's it, I could go on and on. I've purchased it a few times. I had it on PS4. I got it again for Switch, and then I got the physical copy that was the, from the limited run games i think it's the best and i love it and uh easily one of my favorite games of the decade so yeah yeah the the two things uh i want to mention about this game the one thing that i always say about it and i think i said it in the game of the year thing or maybe not but um when i got this game it was like i got it at a time when i needed that message the most and i had no idea that that's what this game was about and put it down because yeah. it was too hard for me and it gave me it gave me too much anxiety to be playing <laughs> not realizing right. that like right around the corner were all of these like wonderful 
powerful revelations about how to deal with it. So I ended up putting it down until this year after the goatee conversation that we had um, was when I picked it up and got almost to the end again and, and didn't finish it for some reason or another. But we'll probably go back and do that. But the other thing, uh, actually, I guess there's two more things to mention. There is a really, really, really incredible moment in which Theo, I think it's Theo, gives you kind of a tip on how to like manage anxiety. And he, he it, oh, yeah, the breathing exercise. Yeah. Yeah. So Theo gives you this breathing exercise that's all about managing the location of a feather by breathing in and breathing out. Um, kind of like blowing the feather into the air and kind of sucking it back down in, into this like midway point. Um, and it's a thing that ever since seeing that game, I have used multiple times in my own life. Me too. Um, yeah. You and I have talked about using it. Um, and I have other friends who I have now talked to and like learned that they played Celeste via like seeing them doing this, which is really like a wild thing. So that that moment by itself is like, I think worth playing this game for because it's like an actually useful mechanic and tactic that you can yeah. bring into real life to deal with your own anxiety and stress. Great. Um, but on top of that, I, I find it really fascinating that you and I, you know, you picked this as your game of the year last year and mine was Hollow Knight. And like weirdly, we both appreciate each of those games for the same reason. Celeste is more a about it literally like celeste is literally about like overcoming like your anxiety and your and your ideas of self-worth via like conquering something impossible that was a story that i completely pinned on top of whatever hollow knight was trying to accomplish for myself yeah. like on my first playthrough um was just like i i am i am forcing that into hollow knight's narrative um so it, it only like kind of reinforces why this game is so special because that's literally what it's about. Um, and, and, and they both are, are wonderful indie games that have this crushing difficulty, but this is the one that is, that is about the exact thing that I, I was going through and the exact thing that I needed. And I just find that really special. So yeah, yeah I, I am glad that we're ending the decade with Celeste. Cause I mean, it, it honestly, it feels like to me um, hand in hand with a game like Florence, and maybe even Death Stranding, which, you know, we'll obviously talk about later. But like those games all represent the future to me um, in a way. Me too. And and yeah. I'm excited to see what that spawns. You know, I'm excited to see that future come to fruition. Me too. Yeah. I think they're all games that deal with like they give you very simple goals. But what does that goal actually mean? And, and why is it worth getting there? I think that's what they're experimenting with. And it's so it's so pays off. Yeah. Um, I, and it obviously you could, you could have assumed this, but uh, the two paintings I have next to each other in my apartment are of Hall and I and Celeste for the very reasons you brought up. Uh, it's sort of like. Yeah. My shrine to us. That Celeste poster, the Hollow Knight one is great. It's it's Hornet and and the Hollow Knight like posing with their weapons. It's very cool. It's beautiful. Uh, but the Celeste one, I, I don't know the artist. I wish it did, but it looks like Madeline simultaneously leaving a cave, but also seeing the mountain. Like the silhouette of the mountain matches the exit of the cave. It's really cool. Mm -hmm. Um, I I love it. Both pieces I bought on Fangamer.com. I've plugged them a few times. Uh, they have really cool merchandise. It's like. I think they actually like collaborate with like smaller teams and they have a lot of cool like they have stuff for Persona 5, they have stuff for like FTL, like it's it's weird. They have a lot of games that we especially <laughs> like, uh, including Hollow Knight and uh, Celeste. I'd recommend checking them out for fun gifts. Yeah. Fan Gamer, our game of the decade. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to end this with a plug, but I just they have really cool art. I, I they do. Yeah, no, I too. agree. Celeste, love it. Would recommend uh, if you have the patience for it, and if you don't, there's options. Uh, yeah. Or if, if for whatever reason that's a point of tension, there are options. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's wow. What a what a journey this has been. Looking at the decade, I have to say, I feel like I've 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 mentioned this before, but I feel like 2017 was kind of the beginning of a new like golden era. I feel like as much as there are really wonderful games that preceded it, I feel like a lot of like inklings of what was to come were like popping up before, and then like that year just marked the beginning of like a new appreciation for video games as art and like people doing really cool stuff with it and like just setting a new foundation, which is a phrase we use a lot, but I think it it truly applies to the latter half of this decade. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I I, I mean, we're, we just talked about this recently, but like we have now seen what the next generation of consoles looks like, like it's all starting up again, you know, like we are heading into a new decade and that new decade is coming with new consoles. Um, things are going to change rapidly and that rules. I'm so excited to see what's next. Me too. Um, so I think it's worth mentioning, you know, we're not talking about 2019 in this uh, episode because we're going to be talking about it like fully in our Goatee episode. But I think we're going to take whatever whatever our final list is by the end of the 2019 Goatee episode and work it into this list of our games of the decade and then figure out something. We're not sure like what's going to happen next, whether that be like a top 10 of the decade or something like that. But I think we're going to try and work that into this and like kind of have an addendum or like an amendment to this episode um, that yeah. somehow incorporates 2019. So we'll, we'll get back to you on that. Yeah, for sure. I, I think we've considered a, a different, uh, a number of different things, but it will definitely be incorporating 2019 somehow into the overview of the decade. Yeah. But yeah, we're definitely going to do something with the year and, and we'll put it in retroactively. We just didn't want to cover 2019 before we did the game of the year episode. It would have felt like counterintuitive. Yeah. Um, so Yeah. Wow, what a bonus episode. Uh, this has been a lot. Thank you. Uh, okay, we always say, like, if you like the show, do this. If you really like the show, do this. If you really like the show, you can support on Patreon. If you really, really like the show, you are here. You have done it. You have listened to <laughs> a decade worth of podcast material. Uh, you have heard me cry. You have heard us uh, go through every valley and, and, and everything. You've heard everything. You're the best. Do we want to get... We did this with our E3 episode where we said you're going to really like the defect as like code that you listen to the whole thing. Do we want to put one here for the for those listeners out there who have made it? Man, can you think of anything to, to do? Uh, huh. I don't want to force it. I th- Honestly, just know within your heart. Oh, go ahead. I, no, I was just going to say just let us know. I'm just... I'd just be fascinated. <laughs> yeah, you can just let us know and, and we appreciate just that. Just tell us Anyone your who- favorite shape is a diamond i like that that's like almost uh like cult-esque yeah well um, so is my whole life so <laughs> i don't know i don't know what that means even, about, but i like it this me. will be better <laughs> this is this is more thematically appropriate tweeted us their masterworks all you can't go wrong yeah perfect great because that sums up the list yeah that sums up the list and i love uh, that it's our favorite oh. game of the decade dragon's dogma number one baby <laughs> number one number one baby eat shit dragon's dog was number one yeah hell yeah that's the reason the master looks all you can't go wrong um yeah wow i can't <laughs> believe this episode's laugh. over it's like i feel like there was there wasn't a world in which we weren't recording this episode you know what i mean like yeah we've always been recording if this. we do if we do the show, ideally, we will. But if we do the show for another 10 years, we should do another one of these. <laughs> oh, my God. Could you imagine? Uh, yeah. Oh, my God. It's possible. It's po- I don't know what your long game. I don't know if you're going to leave me eventually, but I feel like uh, we should do it. If I, we're still around. I don't mind putting this in hour 50 of the podcast, but what I, 
What I told you before we started <laughs> recording into the Aether at all was starting a video game podcast in 2018 means we have to play the long game. So that might mean another decade. Who knows? Into the Aether really peaks at season 19, said fans. <laughs> 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 On that note, uh, thank you all so much. We we gave all a shout out to the patrons at hour one of this, like, uh, like, God. Watching what's a long movie? I'm like so out of Apocalypse Now Redux (laughs) on cable, so there are ads. That's how long this has been, but we appreciate it so much. We don't even even know how long this is. We literally just kept, we don't know, we just kept recording sessions over and over and over again, (laughs) just dropping them into into a folder on Google Drive. Like, I actually, I literally don't know how long this episode is or how long we've been recording. Um. I know that we did the math and we were like, we could give every game two minutes and it will be like X hours. Yeah, it was going to be and about we, six hours or something at that point. Yeah, I am going to guess. I'm going to guess without knowing anything that it is seven hours. That's my guess. That, what do you do? You want to guess? I'm going to. How infuriating for the listener who has like put in the blood work and tears of listening to whatever amount of hours and then hearing us guess stakes free <laughs> of how long it is. <laughs> this is awful. It's not doing? stakes free because it's hours from our life that we spent recording it. Not from our life for our life. This is great. I had a great time. You're right for I love right doing this show life. with you. I'm so grateful for it. I want to do it for another 10 years. 10 more years. 10 more years. You're showing me a mannequin that's uh, parading <laughs> around in like a very dimly lit living room. Um, let's stop. Anyway, let's stop. We love you. You're the best. Yeah, thank you so much for Have listening to this. Really day. incredible yeah. that anyone is hearing this, um, even if it's just AJ editing. <laughs> 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 thank you. Thank you, AJ. Let's, AJ, edit in yourself a round of applause, which I know is kind of pathetic, <laughs> but just add like, can't. <laughs> like a fake audience diving for you because you deserve it holy shit yeah I, this is a lot pl- actually you know what don't tweet anything at us just tweet at AJ thanks because <laughs> oh my god <laughs> yeah tweet thanks at AJ and maybe say their masterworks all you can't go wrong in parentheses yeah he deserves or, it or what would be the acronym of their masterworks all you can't go wrong I'm not going to do that that's not fun to hear it's... Um, but yeah that's it I'll see you. That's it. Goodbye. <laughs> Farewell. So long. Thanks, AJ. And I don't even know what to say anymore. I, I guess just goodbye. Yeah, thanks again. Uh, we'll... Oh, wow. It's 2020 when you're hearing this. Holy shit. I didn't even think about that. Um, it's not. This comes out before January 1st. Oh, yeah. God damn it. Uh, well, 2020 is <laughs> coming. Uh, hold on to your umbrella because it's going to... It's gonna rain. That's right. I mean, we set up that every game of not on this list is purged from Noah's Ark. True. 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 <laughs> You're right. All aboard the Ark. All aboard the Ark, my guy. All right. See ya. See ya in hell, said Noah. <laughs> I'm gonna stop recording. All right, me too.